how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and I am beyond excited to present to you the first episode of a program we're calling From Claremont to Claremont here at the Chris and Reggie channel. Now, if you've uh, listened to any of my uh, admittedly sporadic audio offerings over the past six months to a year, uh, this sort of a program might not be all that much of a surprise. I, I've been kind of threatening it uh, on uh, various programs that I've uh, put out. I've always talked about... This idea of taking a deep dive on the uh, post-Chris Claremont era of the, uh, of the X-Men titles, which is where I found my fandom beginning uh, as an X-Fan uh, way back in the long ago. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing uh, beginning today. Uh, I had run it through my head so many different ways how to put together a show like this. Uh, initially, I, I thought about maybe just doing one book a week on my own, uh, discussing whatever book was in the uh, you know the chronological order from uh, you know October 1991 cover date forward. And uh, I thought about that, and I came very, very close to doing that. But uh, then, as so often <laughs> as it happens, I uh, had myself a shower thought, you know. I uh, was thinking about a way that I could make this uh, maybe a little bit more special, maybe a little bit less uh, just regular Chris output, something a little bit bigger than that. And uh, I thought it might be a whole lot of fun to discuss each and every X-Men and, uh, you know, sort of X-adjacent book with a different host, a different co-host for every single book uh, to make this more of a community, more of like a, an X-Men clubhouse sort of a feel, and that's exactly what I did. I've assembled a wonderful team, a wonderful supportive team who uh, never gave up on me despite all of the delays in this uh, program's production. Uh, this was initially supposed to uh, be hitting your ears uh, back in December of uh, 2019. Uh, in fact, a few of the segments you're going to hear today will uh, make reference to the fact that it is 2019. So that, that tells you how long this has been in the works here. And I did want to address a, a couple of the elephants in the room here before we uh, get into the coverage. First, if you are a uh, comics podcast listener, uh, someone who receives audio of uh, comics uh, persuasion, you might realize that uh, the name of this program is very similar to the name of another uh, podcast out there, a very popular podcast uh, hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. And, uh, well, there, there's kind of a reason for that. Um, this show is very much inspired by what they do. If you've never listened to them, I urge you to, because it's a wonderful show. And it's a show that I discovered way back in 2011, which is sort of when the, uh, the seeds of this program kind of started to, uh, you know, root around in my brain a little bit. Um, now, if you are unaware... From Crisis to Crisis takes a look at all of the Superman books from Man of Steel, so after the Crisis, the John Byrne run, all the way up to Infinite Crisis, where, you know, that Superman kind of went away, where where big sweeping changes were coming in. Um, and it's a, it's like I said, it's a wonderful show. Uh, I discovered them while I was driving uh, over the road uh, doing windshield repairs back in 2011, and they kept me company during some very long drives and some very hot days and uh, made, my, uh, made my life a little bit more uh, bearable uh, because it was uh, not the greatest of times back then. And uh, one of the things that made their program so special and still makes their program so special is that they were discussing a uh, period of Superman comics 
that resonated to them. This was something they were very, very passionate about, and you could tell that they were very passionate about this this material that they were covering. And I just thought it was the coolest idea to you know kind of parcel out different eras of your favorite comics, your favorite characters. And uh, I kept thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> as I'm driving down these roads endlessly, if I were to ever do a podcast, which at that point was never something I was going to do, I thought about what would be the era and what would be the book that I would cover. And it always came back to these X-Men comics post-Chris Claremont. And uh, the title came to me even back then, the From Claremont to Claremont, as sort of a as a ripoff of their program, or, or just something inspired by their program. And it just made way too much sense. And it's something that I never let go of. It was something that was always kind of there in the back of my mind as something I wanted to eventually do. I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Like, I didn't know the way I would organize it. I didn't know if it would be something that I would invite people to talk with me about or if it would just be me talking or if it would just be me and one co-host the whole way through like they did. I just didn't know. Um, I'm not good at making decisions. In case you, uh, in case you're new to hearing my voice, I am uh, horrible at such things. Uh, I take forever. I labor over, uh, over possibilities and always second guess and third guess uh, what I do. So that is why this has taken just so gosh darn long um, <laughs> to uh, to come out. But I did want to. Uh, Say that I did reach out to uh, Michael Bailey of uh, From Crisis to Crisis because I wanted, I wanted to tell him what I was planning with From Claremont to Claremont, and I wanted to run it by him because a I respect him and his work just so much. Uh, definitely one of my favorite voices to hear over these airwaves, and uh, b um, as someone who has Chris's on Infinite Earths, uh, there have been people who have taken variations of Chris's on Infinite Earths for their own projects. And I tell you what, that stinks. <laughs> That's not the funnest thing in the world to discover that uh, that people are, you know, kind of cribbing on uh, what you've been doing for so long. And so I definitely wanted to run it by him. He said it sounded like a great uh, name for a show, which uh, made my day. Because uh, had he had a problem with it, I would have just went back to the drawing board. I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to force the issue because uh, he has worked extremely hard and. Uh, uh, just with so much passion and uh, prolificity over the past, you know, decade plus that, you know, I'm I'm going to defer to anything he said here. I'm not looking to uh, take anybody's name. Uh, I'm just uh, trying to show my inspiration, to show what, what inspired me to do this. And uh, I hope that that's, uh, you know, made clear here and uh, there isn't uh, any question of that. Now, that's one of the elephants in the room. The other one, if you've downloaded this, uh, you probably see that this is a very, very long program. (laughs) This is a very long show, and it's that way by design. It's kind of, uh, you know, the grand design in my head is that this was going to be one month, uh, a a monthly show covering an entire month's worth of these X-Men books all in one clump. I don't know if it's the best idea in the world. It might be the stupidest idea in the world, but it's just the vision that I had, and uh, I am totally open to suggestions here. Uh, <laughs> in fact, when I uh, when I approached the uh, folks about joining me in this project, I was expecting them to be like, wow, you're insane, but uh, no, everybody seemed really cool with it. So uh, that kind of set my mind at ease. But uh, for the listeners out there, um, uh, this is, you know, a long show, <laughs> a very long show. 
Subsequent episodes probably won't be quite as long because we are doing introductions for each of the hosts here. We're going to be talking about their history with the X-Men line of books, how they discovered them, their uh, trajectory through the fandom, if you will, and... uh, That does eat up a bit of time here. Uh, After this, uh, we won't have to do the introduction, so it'll be more of a material-based sort of a situation. The the segments won't be running quite as long, uh, one would imagine, though. There will be exceptions. Um, And, of course, as we move forward, we'll be adding more and more books to this line, just like Marvel added more and more books to the line back in the early to mid-1990s. So those are the two things I wanted to address right off the bat. Oh, just thought of another thing. Um, This is not an anti-Chris Claremont show. Chris Claremont will loom large this entire run here. There will be bits of Claremont work discussed pretty much every time out. Um, We are all huge fans of Chris Claremont. Um, It's just that when I discovered the X-Men, he was not there. He was not my... uh, he was not my, you know, uh, ferryman through the ex-lore here. That was, uh, that was Mr. Scott Lobdell and uh, Mr. Fabian Niciesa. They're the ones who introduced me to uh, so much of the X-Men lore. But uh, Chris Claremont will loom large here. Uh, we will be discussing him each and every time out. Uh, we, we all love Chris Claremont. So I don't want anybody to think that this is a uh, anti-Claremont show, because that is definitely... Definitely not the case. But uh, with all that said, uh, I do hope you all decide to join us on uh, this trek, this journey, this quest. And uh, only thing left to say is uh, welcome to From Claremont to Claremont. Uh, We hope you and we survive the experience. Who's we? The Cub Scouts, bub. Now move over. Now you see, I really struggled with which... Which segment to put first this time? Uh, this being the first episode, you know, I always get the urge to just go with Uncanny X-Men since that is like the flagship of this entire family of books. But I don't think you could do it any other way than just by going with X-Men Volume 2 Number 1 to launch this show. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have with me than uh, my buddy Jody, who uh, he and I have a little bit of a... Parallel, uh, parallel fandoms <laughs> when it comes to the X-Men here. Uh, somehow, we both have the same first issue, a very random issue. Not a not a particularly important one, but uh, we both have the same origin with the X-Men and, uh, and with this very title. So I thought it would be great to have him alongside to, uh, to go through this issue. Uh, how, how are you doing this month, Jody? I'm well. How are you, Chris? Oh, hanging in there. Doing very well here. Uh, you want to fill folks in? Uh, I, I mean, I've given my secret origin with the X-Men many, <laughs> many times on this channel. So uh, how, about, how about you share uh, how you uh, were introduced to this uh, this family of titles? Well, um, on one of your uh, recent uh, uh, Remarvel, is that, what it's, is that what it's called, Remarvel. brother? Yes, Remarvel. Um, you were giving your history of the X-Men, and you would happen to mention that your First issue of X-Men was, as you just said yourself, a random issue of X-Men. It was X-Men number 13. Yep. And to hear that blew my mind because that was also my first issue of X-Men. <laughs> and like you said, it's just a random issue. I believe it's what, part two? Part and a two two of part the story. hazard story. Yeah. The hazard story. Boy, that landmark <laughs> X-Men villain, uh, yes. Hazard. And I, I had heard that, and I I had to get a hold of you and say, you know what, that that you know forgettable issue was also my first issue. I had um, 
picked that up. Uh, we had a uh, at our our Walmart was was new at the time, and mm-hmm. our toy section had a I don't know ten or twelve issue rack that was thrown on the end of a end cap with sure uh, various like Marvel, probably some Spawn, some like Image stuff in there. But that happened to catch my eye because I believe at the time uh, I think maybe X Men the animated series was. I think we're thinking 92. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it was brand Might new. Might have been in the Milu, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you figure, well, we'll get to it, but if this, uh, if X-Men 1 came out in uh, August of 91, that would stand to reason that uh, X-Men 13 came out in September of 92, which would, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, be the launch of uh, X-Men the Animated Series. And that was Just about. enough to get me on board, had all the familiar characters on the cover, and uh that is the most that anybody has spoke of the X-Men 13 in probably 25 years. <laughs> until until a few months from now. When, when <laughs> yeah, <we're> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, Hazard, uh, such a weird character, um, really, like, really tickled my interest because, like, there was, like, this weird feeling that he was more important than he actually was. Yes. Like, they, they tied him in with, like, Xavier's past and... Uh, yes. They just made him seem like the most important villain in the world. And uh, I don't think we saw him again until, like, Mike Carey brought him back for, like, a one-off in X-Men Legacy. Wow. Uh, He was just gone for decades after this. (laughs) They just didn't have any idea with this guy. I didn't even know he ever came back, so this is all to me. He did, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that, uh, there was that X-Men – when X-Men changed its name to X-Men Legacy – uh, Mike Carey started bringing back like some weird characters, and and among them was Hazard of all people. This, <laughs> I want to say this is probably like 2009-ish, so that's oh. a heck of a long uh, shelf life for poor. Yes. I, I don't even remember Hazard's real name, but poor Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> so so yes, that was my first issue, and I was a regular. I was buying anything I could get my hands up. On until Age of Apocalypse, which ended up being kind of my uh, swan song for a little okay. while. Okay. And I, over the years, what's that? It's been almost 25 years at this point. I have ducked yeah. in and out at various times. Uh, I remember um, X-Men 100 when Claremont came back, the, the 12. That's, mm-hmm. That storyline brought me back. <laughs> Don't ask why, but that brought me back, <laughs> albeit briefly. And uh, there have been a couple times, uh, you know... Um, Jason Aaron's run uh, was a schism. I came back for that, sure. I think, and I've ducked, just ducked in and out. And uh, currently I am out, but I am all in on uh, what you're doing here. And uh, this, this yeah. X-Men Blue number one, absolutely, as, as some of us would call it. I, I think a lot of us would call that, that call it that. Yes. Uh, now, this book came with uh, several covers and uh, something I'm asking all of my co-hosts is uh, back in the day. Which X-Men number one cover was the one that darkened your doorway? Well, the cover I had, and this is the cover, it's the only one I have, and it's the one that I've read for uh, tonight's show, is cover A. The, really? Um, yes, I am a cover A guy with Beast, Storm, Jean Grey, and uh, Professor X. Why do I have this cover? Uh, it wasn't by choice. I would say <laughs> I... Like I said, my first issue was 13. I believe, if memory serves, I got this probably, probably, I'm going to say for maybe like my 12th birthday, which would be like okay. 1993. Mm-hmm. And I believe my grandmother got it for me. 
from like a comic oh, wow. book store. If memory serves, I believe my grandmother got it for me. And that's awesome. <laughs> I was okay with that. Absolutely. I, I think cover. I think cover A is a. I don't think that's going to be the popular one. Um, no. No. Yeah, because I, I think uh, there, there's one that uh, that is more popular, and that, we're not talking about the gateway one just yet. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, while on the subject of variants, um, there was another book that launched just a couple months before this one. Uh, had uh, a man with very broad shoulders on the cover named Cable, and uh, that book came in a poly bag with an assortment with one of I think five or six trading cards. Do you happen to remember which card came with your X-Force number one? Uh, am, am I mistaken? Was there a Gideon card or am I Sunspot am I and friggin' Gideon. That's my okay. card. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that was my card. Because, <laughs> boy, that's a, that's a... That's the dud. Yeah, that's the dud. Because <laughs> yeah, there was a Cable. There was a Deadpool. There was an X-Force. Um, there was a Shatterstar. And there was a sunspot and friggin' Gideon. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely the dud stands out for sure. Um, <laughs> now, this is the book we're going to start everything with. This is X-Men Volume 2, number one. And uh, how, how about you get us right into the credits of this bad boy? Because this is a big sure thing. Um, oh, sure thing. Uh, X-Men number one uh, with head in October 1991 cover date. And our story today is called Rubicon. The writer is Chris Claremont, pencils by Jim Lee, co-plotted by both, with inks by Scott Williams, letters by Tom Orachowski, colors by Joe Roses, assistant editor Suzanne Gaffney, editor Bob Harris, boo, <laughs> editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco, and Andy Davis as Alice. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this baby is about a double sized issue. It was has a dollar fifty U.S. cover price, dollar eighty Canadian, and eighty P UK. Mm-hmm. And according to Mike's Amazing World, the on sale date was August thirteenth, nineteen ninety one. Now, first things first, before we get started, Chris, I have to ask, <laughs> how old were you? 1991 i august 13th 1991 and what were you what would you have been doing at this time i was 11 years old and uh i started junior high school in september Uh, of 1991 so i was probably uh really nervous about that (laughs) at this point (laughs) um i'm sure i was i know i was going to the comic shop because i was actually at the comic shop the day this book came out and the dude behind the counter was like saying, hey, you need to get this because this is like the big thing going on. And I didn't buy it because I, I had an ElfQuest book to buy. So I bought that instead. And, uh, and it was a back issue, so it didn't really matter. But, uh, yeah, I was there, but I, I wasn't in and uh, really didn't have any kind of working knowledge of the X-Men. Um, it, it wasn't until Magic number 13 where I... Where I <laughs> <laughs> well, I fell in and uh, needed to know everything after that. How about well, yourself? Well, much like yourself, I well, I wasn't even in the comic book store yet. I had uh, uh, when I was a smaller kid, my parents would go to a local um, a, a local drug store to buy cigarettes <laughs> because that's what you do when you go to the drug store. And uh, <laughs> um, they'd go and get cigarettes, and I would pick up occasional, oh, usually anything with Batman or DC. Sure. I was more of a DC guy. But by 1991, I was all into baseball cards. So okay. at this point, I would not really have found my 
uh, comics calling for another summer. That would be with the Eclipso, the Darkness Within mini or uh, crossover from DC. You know that sure. seminal, yeah, big seminal event. work yes. that uh, you know is just beloved today. Still. That made me think Eclipso was the most important villain in DC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a big deal. He's so, huge. Um, so no, at this point, it would be it would be mostly baseball cards, and I can tell you. Just yesterday, I found a home movie that would have been taken. Uh, my birthday would be about two weeks after this, my okay. 10th birthday. So I found a, a videotape of my 10th birthday, and I can tell you um, I really needed a haircut, and I was way <laughs> into Dick Tracy, and I had uh, received $28 for my birthday. So hey. pretty good day, pretty good Absolutely. day. Absolutely. You don't, you don't I, get much better for a 10-year-old. No, no. I told the camera, I said, everybody has a price for the $28, $28 man. <laughs> <laughs> did you laugh did you do the laugh yes and then a friend tried to choke me out and take the money <laughs> joke choked me out it just uh as a joke but yeah <laughs> now as mentioned this book came with multiple covers here uh now yours cover a as you mentioned had storm beast gene archangel and professor x on it uh cover b had colossus rogue gambit and psylocke Cover C, the good one, had Wolverine, Cyclops, and Iceman. Cover D, probably, I, I, this is the one that's weird, because uh, back in the day, nobody wanted this one, because it's just Magneto. But it seems like in the years since, people like really like this one. I don't know why, because it's just Magneto. But, uh, mm-hmm. but cover E is the same as cover C on the front, but the whole thing is a wraparound. So this whole thing makes a giant puzzle, like a long, stretched-out puzzle. So that's what cover E is, and that's a a book that I didn't get until probably like three years ago. I got it in a dollar (laughs) bin. I I always wanted it, but I never had it, and I finally finally found it. It's like, okay, I'll take it for a (laughs) dollar. My best friend, uh, Travis, he he had the cover E. And he really? gotten it from a, oh, I'm not sure if you remember it. I believe it was like Wal- a lot of your big box stores, Walmarts, Kmarts, mm-hmm. had like these clamshell hard case comic packs that you could get sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And he, they, there was a Morbius pack. Uh, there was a Nomad pack, you know, okay. all the biggies. Sure. And he had managed to pick up cover E in a pack like that. And, oh, my, I was so jealous as a kid because oh, he, he had the fancy cover you know i just had the the regular old crappy cover with <laughs> gene gray on it and uh he you know he had this fancy cover that was totally different so i've always coveted that and uh much like yourself i well you've you've had yours for three years and i'm, I'm still waiting on the day one of these days you'll get one, of, one these of these days. days i'm gonna i'm gonna make it after all and, and the bad thing is i paid i think i'm sure i paid five dollars for the back in the early 90s (laughs) but uh now we open the story and uh how about you how about you start us off sure thing our journey our journey begins uh, in on the dark side of the moon as we find ourselves in the middle of a hot pursuit between two unknown cruise ships one of which is desperately looking for asteroid m the space headquarters of magneto both ships get more than they bargained for as Magneto finds them and mm-hmm. blows up both ships. He tells <laughs> both parties that they can screw up Earth as much as they please with pollution and war, but he just wants to be left alone. Now, a crew member, 
the yellow suited ones being chased, pleads for her life as Mags tells her he has no intention to kill anyone as it will only lead to more unwanted visitors. She then tells Magneto that it was him they came to find and she and her crew are mutants and have come to pledge their undying loyalty to him. Magneto says he's done with that bit as the woman shouts that they need him now more than ever. It's it's interesting here. Magneto being the rational, level-headed sort of guy here. He doesn't want any trouble. He wants to... <laughs> he's like the Hulk. He wants to just be left alone. Uh, we hop back to Earth. We cut to Star City Cosmodrome, and uh, not that Star City. Uh, the combined Soviet equivalent of uh, Cape Canaveral and the Houston Space Center, albeit with likely probably a lot less tourists. It looks pretty barren. Uh, we learn that the mutant crew who were seeking Magneto actually hijacked their shuttle and the crew close behind them were sent by S.H.I.E.L.D. So they weren't together. S.H.I.E.L.D. sent them to uh, to follow these folks who hijacked to find Magneto. Now, we also learn that the Soviets know that it was Magneto who caused both of them to go boom because it just so happened to happen directly over Soviet airspace. Now. Soviet Union was uh, what we used to call Russia back in the day. Um, <laughs> I, re- I remember, and I mean, this is the stupidest thing in the world, but uh, when when East Germany and West Germany combined to just be Germany, I was annoyed that my globe was out of date. <laughs> I mean, talk about like missing the forest for the trees, right? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, now I need a new globe. Didn't realize that, hey, all these people are now liberated and free and happy. It's like I was just concerned that I had an out-of-date globe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> no, no, the Soviets had hoped that Asteroid M had been destroyed a long time ago. Um, I don't remember the last time Magneto was on Asteroid M, but the last time we saw Magneto in the X-Men books was during a, a story that took place in the Savage Land about a, about a year earlier. Um and it was like you might know it from the cover where like he and Rogue are like standing there kind of like in a side embrace. Sort yes, of I think I do remember that. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly iconic uh, cover. And uh, that's kind of where the seeds of like the Magneto Rogue romance were kind of planted. Um, now, this is, of course, comic books. So we, uh, we should know better than that, uh, that the, 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 you know, the asteroid M is still out there. And so the Soviets have enacted stage one of what they call the Magneto Protocols. And they have like this like big screen with like a like a picture of Magneto on it. But he's in like his old costume, which is pretty funny. He's uh, that one where he has like giant M on his chest. Yeah, like he's Laverne and Shirley and he's got a monogram <laughs> on his chest. So he, uh, hey, 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 that's my shirt. What he's doing. Yeah, we can identify him. Yes, yeah. he's putting his, you know, he's with the rest of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He's like, hey. Toad, that's my shirt. Give that back to me. <laughs> it's got the big M on it. <laughs> uh, now, we jump all the way across the country, uh, across the, the globe, actually, the outdated globe. We're all the way on the other side. We're in the Oval Office in Washington, D.C., where the president is holding court with Colonel Nick Fury. Now, I got to figure that this is almost certainly George H.W. Bush in the president's chair here, because uh, they even have him say prudent. Which is, uh, which is, I, I know Dana Carvey says it when he plays George Bush, so I'm assuming that George Bush had one at one time said prudent. Um, now the president, not wanting Magneto taking up the cause for the mutant terrorists who went looking for him, he also realizes that this entire situation involving American shuttles being destroyed over Soviet airspace could lead to, you know, a pretty bad international incident. 
Well, Colonel F- Colonel Fury thinks it over and he thinks he might just have a solution. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder who. I wonder if that's going to involve. <laughs> we now cut to a town, quote, 40 miles north of New York City, just shy of the Connecticut border, a couple miles down Gray Malkin Lane from the town of Salem Center, which, guess, guess what, Chris? Hmm. It's a real place. Did you know that? You know, I remember being shocked when I found out. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. It was it was in yeah. research for this show. I had no idea. I just happened to look up when they said it was, you know, 40 miles north of the city. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'll do a Google search. <laughs> and um, I will tell you that North Salem, New York, is 50 miles north of Midtown Manhattan. So close enough. Close enough. And uh, the population of North Salem during the... Uh, 2010 census was 5,104. That's a bustling community, isn't it? <laughs> North, <laughs> let me give you a couple more facts. About sure. That. North Salem is split into five hamlets, one of which, for the purposes of this story, is Salem Center, a hamlet at the east end of the Titicus Reservoir. The hmm. average income of North Salem, according to the 2011 census, was 157,258. <laughs> so you know i'm gonna guess most of the most of harry's was it harry's hideaway is harry's that, hideaway uh, harry's hideaway yep. not not them, not them. <laughs> <laughs> um the racial makeup of the town was 95 percent 95.44 excuse me 95.44 percent white 0.75 percent african-american 0.08 percent native american which Definitely had to be forged. That's him. Uh, it's just 0. him. Yeah. Point nine seven percent Asian and one point one point one two percent from other races and one point six four from two or more races. Hispanic or Latino of any race were three point six five of the population. How about that? You know, it's weird. Uh, just hearing the word Hamlet again. Right, that's a, that's a northeast term, right? It is, it is. I, I went, to, I went to high school on Long Island, and uh, and I lived in the hamlet of Oakdale. And it's like, what's a hamlet? Well, it's like a town, but sorta. <laughs> um, you know, we jump back to the uh, story here, and uh, we peek inside of a very special school on Gray Malkin Lane. That is the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters for some very special people that we know as the X Men. We jump inside and Cyclops and Storm are watching on as Banshee, Forge, and Beast prepare a danger room training scenario for Rogue, Iceman, Colossus, and Archangel in which they must break into the school and, quote, capture Professor X. Now, the real Professor X sits in his study with his, you know, teacher's pet, Jean Grey. I mean, remember remember Scott Lobdell was talking about uh, how he was really grossed out that other writers kind of tried to make their attraction be a thing yeah 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 that's kind of yeah now uh, <laughs> a little, a little now, on the icky side a little bit now he ponders all that has happened in the time since he last found himself as like the active leader of the x-men and he considers whether his dream of a world where both homo sapien and homo superior can coexist now this is referring to a pretty extended period where professor x was not around which is one of those things that 
when I was reading this the first time, kind of blew my mind. I, I always thought that Professor X was just always there. Um, you know, he he was gone for a long time with uh, the on the Shi'ar you know ships with Lalandra, and uh, you know probably exercising his newly cloned body, which uh, <laughs> could walk and uh, and probably function pretty well uh, compared to uh, what he's doing. It's it's not a bad place to be. No, no. Uh, unless not. unless the Star Jammers are there, then it it could be better. Yeah, then then it could be kind of <laughs> divey. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the danger room, Rogue and Iceman get the better of heat-seeking missiles via the old trick of getting the missiles to follow Rogue right into the missile launchers themselves. The old, like, switcheroo, you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Uh, This paves the way for a reverse fastball special variation with Archangel tossing Colossus through a window, leading to Professor X's, quote-unquote, Professor X's study. There, he's met by a psychic attack from Jean Grey, who takes him down. Mm Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, a second Bravo team is making their way to Professor X, Wolverine, Gambit, and Psylocke. At the Danger Room controls, Cyclops has them met with some generic mech robots, which even Psylocke thinks went down a little too easy, as Gambit (laughs) slips ahead to Chuck's study by himself. He there finds a hampered Colossus with Jean Grey, whom Gambit then disables with a card blast to the wall behind Jean, knocking her to the ground. Then, in a very 2019 cringeworthy moment, Gambit <laughs> lays a big smooch right on Jean's lips, who then explodes, revealing herself to be just a danger room robot, quote-unquote, killing Gambit and disqualifying him from the training mission. Training mission. You know, it's – I think outside of maybe, like, Superman 75, I don't think I've seen a comic or experienced a comic that has so many iconic pages and panels as this issue. Like every page up to this point is like just been burned into my mind. Right, right. I hadn't looked at this book in probably 25 years, but there was a lot of that going through the, you know, the generic robots and just blowing up. And like you said, Gambit laying one on Jean Grey. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in this book. It's crazy. Now, uh, we jump back to the control room and uh, Cyclops uh, really doesn't seem to mind Gambit puckering up on old robot Gene and... uh, well, neither does the real Gene, who uh, enters the scene with Charles Xavier. Psyche playfully tells Gene to remind him to drop a truck on Gambit the next time the opportunity presents itself. As everyone has a good laugh, Wolverine slashes his way into the control room uh, with Danger Room robots just dangling off him, you know. And <laughs> he was not—he uh, was not fooled by the robot versions of Gene and Charles because he's got that, you know, he's got that nose. And uh, he proceeds to pop his claws right in front of Xavier's face. <laughs> it's like an inch away from his eyeballs. It's just, yeah. just snicked. Uh, therefore, he wins the exercise. Uh, Cyclops is uh, not too pleased. He thinks uh, it's awful dangerous to be doing what Wolverine did. Uh, Wolverine and Cyclops, they share some tense words, uh, which are, you know, of course, the only kind of words that Wolverine and Cyclops ever seem to have with one another. I, I <laughs> I haven't seen the X-Men movie, but I know that there's one scene where Wolverine does call Cyclops a name, which uh, kind of informed my decision not to watch the the X-Men movie. We jump to uh, later on, it was still at the X-Mansion. Nick Fury is giving them the scoop on this Magneto situation. Also, the potential powder keg with Russia, because that could get dicey. The team seems somewhat split. 
we got Rogue actually defending Magneto's decision to blow up the shuttle. Because, after all, they were invading his territory. I don't know that it's actually... I don't know if Asteroid M is, like, sovereign land. <laughs> I don't know if, there's, if he's got the deed or anything, but, hey, you know, what do you have to do? Now, Storm believes that there's a precedent for giving Magneto the benefit of the doubt because, you know, he was an ally for a time. Cyclops, as usual, is skeptical. Wolverine chimes in that everyone has shadows in their past, and they've all been branded outlaws, and he... Just chomps on his stogie as he does so. Uh, it's then that Xavier sees both sides of the argument and agrees with Cyclops' proposal to split the X-Men into two strike teams so that they may better respond to any situation. And uh, maybe also command an extra buck out of uh, you know, an 11 or 12-year-old boy's allowance back in the day. <laughs> but uh, but uh, this is the official... X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue launch point. So how about that? Yeah, it was, you know, it's really funny because I hadn't, I was just reading through this issue. I had not, I had, like I said, I hadn't read this probably in about 25 years. Sure. And it, just reading through it, it's kind of jarring. I know it's coming. <laughs> That's why yep. we bought the issue, you know? Exactly. It wasn't surprised anybody. But when you see, oh, we're splitting it into two teams, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It does, yeah, and it, yeah, because it's one of those things that was, it was in everything leading up to it. We knew that that was the reason for these books, but, uh, but yeah, just experiencing it now, it's, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, we now, now, um, I am reading from, you were reading from, uh, cover E, right? No, I was, I was actually reading from cover C. Oh, you're reading? I, I, I read, I read both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you are reading the newsstand version, uh, where we we get to the the <clears throat> excuse me, we get to the staples and we pause for two double page spreads, mm-hmm. one involving a gorgeous Jim Lee spread of X villains, which we'll talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. and the other involve uh, involving an invitation to the Bo Jackson fan club, hey. aka Club Bo, which uh, <laughs> maybe we'll discuss that a little bit after our story as well. We can do. <laughs> Uh, back to the story, our two spaceship crews from the beginning of the issue wake up to find themselves exiled inside Magneto's asteroid M Chateau, and they pick up right where they left off, right at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. The S.H.I.E.L.D. leader, who we learn is named Delgado, is ready to pound one of the mutant contingents, but before he can, he is called a, quote, flat scan by the Ooh. female mutant we saw earlier. Sick burn, right? I I remember as a kid, flat scan was a term that was used pretty often uh, by by the acolytes in these books. I hated it. I I could (laughs) could not stand it. I I don't know what it was about it, but I remember being like 12 and just for some reason it really infuriated me. It really annoyed me. Maybe because some of the acolytes are not really that cool to begin with so oh, they're they're pretty bad yeah they, they should not resort to name calling i guess <laughs> no no that's a glass houses situation because they are they're some of the worst characters yeah. <laughs> um back to the story uh magneto as, as they're beginning to argue magneto descends a staircase in which and what has to be a matching silk white robe and pants set with his robe just a kindo chest hair popping out for the delight of his visitors it's kind of I, it was kind of jarring to read this and just see him like hey 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 break it up break it up yeah he and, looks and he comes, like yeah and he looks like oily 
you see stupid sexy Magneto coming down yeah. the stairs. You know, you're like does you could hear like a saxophone in the background. You know, he just comes sauntering in with his robe, <laughs> you know, flailing in the breeze and his chest hair sticking out. It's it's pretty jarring for uh for for old Magneto. You know, when you say that, I hear the like opening sax to like Rump Shaker. That that sounds very smooth, very smooth sax. Absolutely. <laughs> he tells them they are guests in his home and they need to basically knock off the shenanigans. Which you know, uh, if I were them, I'd say we'll knock it off once you you know tighten up that that yeah, uh, robe a little tie bit. Tie that belt, Come on, buddy. Yeah. We are guests here. <laughs> The female, who we later, from earlier in the story, who we later learn is named Anne-Marie, calls Delgado a flat scan, flat scan yet again, and tells him to, quote, unhand your betters. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking away, she then pleads with Magneto to place the mutant group under his protection, as they've come to Asteroid M seeking sanctuary. Taking issue with that, the S.H.I.E.L.D. member known as Deke guns down Anne-Marie from behind in cold blood. Anne-Marie falls into Magneto's arms, pledging her life to his cause right before she dies. Magneto responds, somewhat stunned, that he has no more cause. So, as we learned earlier, he said, um, uh, you, you know, I, I don't I don't have I don't have a dog in this fight anymore. Yeah, and, I'm and past that even, stage. Yeah. I'm past that stage. I, I don't fight anymore. And here she's getting gunned down right in front of him. And he's still like, nope, it's you're gonna have to do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but suddenly he flies into a rage here. He uses Deke's mag- metallic suit against him. Uh, he takes him out. Uh, I, it, it's weird that he might uh, like cause Deke to shoot himself. It's not entirely clear. Um, no. no that's I didn't one get that thing, either looking yeah, at it. It's one thing about these like early 90s comics that some of the action is kind of left to your imagination. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That's something we're going to be revisiting a few times uh, this week. But uh, now, Del- Major Delgado, he apologizes for Deke's actions, but he also defends his right to pursue the mutants. You know, uh, he is an officer of the law, and they were sent there for a reason, so they was just doing what they were told. Uh, Magneto tells him he doesn't recognize the law on Asteroid M, and any rights he has are the ones given to him by you know, Magneto, including the right to life, which if he wants to keep, he'd better shut his yap. Now we're introduced to another of the mutant court contingent. The, the like, I think, uh, was he Miss, Mr. Douchebag 1991 through 1994? Uh, Fabian <laughs> Cortez. I this is a guy just at sight. I hated this guy. Yeah, hated that ponytail, guy. that red ponytail said all. Oh, all you needed to know about this him. Guy. Now, Fabian, he points out to Magneto that in light of all that has happened, there's going to be repercussions from those on Earth. And if he wants human deterrence to be credible, he ha- it has to be in a way that the, uh, quote, flat scans understand. Meanwhile, back at the school, Xavier is using Cerebro to discover Magneto is entering Earth's atmosphere and that Cyclops needs to get his, quote, blue team. I think that's their first uh, official. It's got to be, yeah. Yeah. Blue team ready for action to the brand new Blackbird, consisting of Beast, Rogue, Gambit, Psylocke, Wolverine, and, of course, Cyclops. Hey, the cool ones. That's that's the ones I thought, anyway, back in the day. Oh, you know it. You (laughs) know it. Same here. 
same year. It's like, boy, if I if I was picking a team, this would be this would be the first ballot oh, right 100%, here. 100%. 100%. <laughs> we next find Magneto out of his silk jammies and into his classic outfit, hovering over the mid-Atlantic and raising the Leningrad sub from its depths. And I believe that that was, uh, was it in Uncanny X-Men 150 that he had yeah. uh, sunk that sub? That's when he sunk it. Yeah. Wow. It was a, yeah, a little, a little aside in the story there. It's a, and, and we're going to revisit it uh, as we go on here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's quite a callback. I mean, you figure if Uncanny's at 281 at this point, that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's that's over quite 10 a years callback. for sure. Yeah. yeah. But this is Claremont still. This is Claremont. That's true. He, he's not gone yet. And he, he is a digger. <laughs> <laughs> As Magneto tears apart the sub, it's inside he finds several nuclear missiles still intact. It's then Hmm. our blue team arrives, asking Magneto just what he's planning on doing here, as Rogue makes a somewhat subtle reference to the romantic past. As he's distracted, the rest of the team approaches from behind in the Blackbird, which is, just reading through this, was kind of ridiculous that they are sneaking up on him in a jet. Mm-hmm. They're sneaking up on him in a jet, a metal-based jet at that, <laughs> on Magneto. Great plan. Yes. Uh, Magneto, showing he's benevolent, just freezes it in place rather than rip it apart. And from inside the cockpit, Beast tells Cyclops that uh, that was probably going to happen. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, no, no, I guess nobody bothered to uh, listen to uh, Hank's opinion on that thing. As, uh, hey guys, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if this is going to work, guys, but uh, I'll pipe down, pipe down. <laughs> As the Blackbird is still held in place by Magneto, B slips out of it with Gambit riding on his back in the battle, which is a pretty cool, you were talking about iconic burning. Oh, absolutely. That was, yep. that was one of them. That's a really neat scene with, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Gambit riding on his back. <clears throat> Beast is immediately taken out of action with <laughs> submarine debris. He, I mean, he goes down quick. Quick. <laughs> Gambit notes that Magneto didn't kill Beast, so he charges his cards just enough to stun Magneto, uh, which Turner deflected back to Gambit anyways. It's true. Taking no. him out. <laughs> Takes him out. Uh, but this does open up an opportunity for Psylocke to jump in, and it's now her turn. She gets a swift left kick into Magneto's head, which knocks off his helmet. However, as she's readying her knife for the final blow, Magneto takes her out with some electrified submarine remains. Magneto stands and asks, hey, what's wrong with you people? Why are you, why are you insul- assaulting me? <laughs> why are you bothering me? <laughs> now, just as Wolverine takes a huge swipe with his claws, uh, Cyclops, now landed and out of the Blackbird, sees that Wolverine, he wasn't holding back. He is clearly on the verge of a berserker rage. Hush. Hush. <laughs> so he sends an optic blast Magneto's way in order to separate them. So he's doing this to, to save Magneto, basically. Now, as Magneto is flung inside that submarine from that blast, he finds himself face to face with the horrors of his past actions. You see, he's surrounded by the remains of all the men aboard that he had sent to their doom all those years ago. This reminds Magneto from a scene from the concentration camps of his youth, a thought that is quickly dismissed as Wolverine and Cyclops rapidly approach and they're ready to throw down once more. Magneto tosses Wolverine into Cyclops and flies out of the sub into the sky, bringing with him the nuclear missiles. 
And once more, he's like, hey, leave me alone. (laughs) I don't want any trouble, says the man with the nuclear missiles. Uh, Now, Rogue, apparently the only one actually listening to Magneto, flies up and talks with him. The rest of the team recoups and returns to the Blackbird, so they're, you know, licking their wounds. Uh, Using tracking, Beast announces that he's managed to locate Rogue and Magneto, and they are currently hovering over, check this out, Soviet airspace. And uh, they're being pursued by Soviet fighter jets, so not a good scene brewing here. Rogue finally catches up to Magneto. And admits that, you know what, hey, maybe the X-Men handled this situation wrong. Sorry about that. It was a little bit of a bad look. Uh, But that his actions, and not to mention his past reputation, well, they've rightly got everybody a little nervous, a little scared. Magneto tells Rogue that he's tried to change, but people just wind up dead. It's just then that Rogue manages or winds up taking a hit from one of the Soviet jets. Magneto states that the world will never accept their kind, and he saves Rogue from her descent toward the ground. And as he does so, he detonates one of those nuclear missiles. We are next scene. We cut ahead a little bit after he'd caused that distraction, and Magneto has re- sometime later. Magneto has returned to Asteroid M. Fabian Cortez, there he is again, informs Magneto that the electromagnetic pulse caused from the nuclear blast has sent older electronic systems across the continent back to the Dark Ages. Cortez then realizes that Magneto is hurt, still bleeding from Wolverine's adamantium claw attack to the abdomen earlier in battle. He's, it's kind of a funny scene. He's just sitting there and bleeding out and is just kind yep. of like, hey, he, he stabbed me. He stabbed me. <laughs> kind of like, kind of perplexed and... It's just kind of funny. <laughs> Cyclops, and he's, you know, he's taken aback by Wolverine's brutality in battle. As while Cyclops never fully embraced Eric, he felt Wolverine, Wolverine was a friend and a teammate yeah. uh, during his tenure with the X-Men. So Magneto begins to wonder why Wolverine has had the change in heart as he begins to cough and spit up blood. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. Cortez lies him down and begins to use his mutant healing power, as we find out he did earlier on a still-alive Anne-Marie, who was Mm the uh, girl that died in uh, Magneto's arms, and just happens to be Fabian Cortez's sister. Hey, we got a full name for her now. (laughs) One would assume. Anne-Marie Cortez, (laughs) yes. Uh, Cortez tells Magneto that there's no room in the world for both his vision and Xavier's, and for that, Xavier's dream must be eliminated. Such a jerk, this guy. I mean, <laughs> He's really stirring the pot. He is absolutely stirring it up here. Man. Mm. Back on the Blackbird, the onboard sensors are scanning for Rogue to no avail. That is, until Xavier telepathically informs them that he's received a phone call that Rogue has been located and is currently at a hospital in Hammer Bay, the capital city of the mutant island of Genosha. Oh, go figure. Yeah. <clears throat> what a coincidence. She's, she didn't land in Kansas City. She landed in Genosha. Yes. <laughs> She's awoken <laughs> to learn that a cadre of superpowered terrorists are randomly attacking the city, but she doesn't have to look too far for them as the cadre blasts through the wall looking for her. We see that it is the same mutants who sought refuge on Asteroid M, and they are looking for Rogue to join them, either, quote, by their side or by their feet. After a quick no and a swift punch, one of her mutant pursuers swiftly grows in size and strength until he's squeezing her entire body in his hand. 
She doesn't have long to fret, though, as he's attacked from behind and drops Rogue to the ground. It's the blue team, and Cyclops informs the terrorist cadre to surrender or suffer the consequences. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One cadre member can't believe they've come to Genosha's aid as mutants were once slaves there, but now things have changed. Fabian Cortez declares the group's crusade for mutant supremacy as we see a big, bulky, sort of thing-looking mutant who we learn can change his density on the attack. And it's going by the name Delgado. What? (laughs) (laughs) Beast wonders aloud if it's the same Delgado who was taken capture by Magneto, while Wolverine thinks it could be a different guy with the same name, or Major Delgado was working with the mutants all along, or he switched sides, or somebody made him. Basically, he says, "Who cares? Let's just kill him, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it later." You know, this this Delgado and the other Delgado—they're actually in the same panel earlier in the issue. I, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that. I thought it was I thought it was the same guy. I'm finding out now that that was not the same guy. That's yeah. that's very odd. I've got to assume that. You know, this is just me spitballing here, but I wonder if at this point in time, Claremont hadn't decided that he left, that he was leaving yet. So maybe this was going to be something. I mean, Wolverine brings it up uh, that it's weird that they have the same name. So maybe this was something that Claremont was planning to reveal. But uh, because I can't think of any other reason why they'd be so lazy about it. Right. So you're telling me there's there's no future payoff to this. (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're telling me well i mean in 1997 there will be the age of delgado uh miniseries that 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 pauses the publication of the xbox for a while (laughs) no i i i I don't think there's any real follow-up to this i think outside of fabian cortez and uh unision or whatever her name is maybe senyaka i don't think we really (laughs) i think there's also a melon camp in the uh acolytes but I, i don't know that I don't know that we actually <laughs> care about Delgado after this. There's a melon camp, but he's smoking a lot of cigarettes and have a gravelly voice. <laughs> he lived in a little pink Johnny house. <laughs> he lived in a little pink house. So yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, meanwhile, Sadlock is in pursuit of a flying member of the team and realizes she loves that adrenaline rush of battle and that it might be something of a hindrance for her in the future. Yeah, I wonder if this is more of the... Uh... You know, the darkening of Psylocke uh, mm-hmm. that they're playing with here after her uh, trip through the Siege Perilous and all that stuff and uh, her abduction by the hand and all that good stuff. Now, elsewhere, Wolverine has cornered Fabian Cortez and uh, he's doing that thing where he's like he's got his fist up to his chin and he's like, you know, I could pop my claws and just put him right through you. You know, he does that thing. He does that a lot. Yeah, he um, did that a lot in the 90s. I liked it when he did like the the. the, the the, the left one and the right one, but would leave the right, the middle one in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would like threaten that he could pop that third one. Um, now he's got them all set to, you know, to perforate. Uh, meanwhile, Magneto and a double page spread with a lot of dialogue. <laughs> just appears out. And Magneto comes and he's got all these balloons with him, full of words. Um, he declares that while he didn't know or approve his acolytes' actions, he's not going to abandon them. In regards to any injuries or deaths caused in the attack on Genosha, he states it was the only it was only island magistrates who were harmed. So, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, in what would uh, perceive as retribution for the pain and suffering that was caused by the Genosha's mutant slavery past. And I mean, the extinction agenda wasn't too long ago. 
So that was a uh, right. I mean, I don't know. In, in comic book time, it might have been just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Yeah, if I remember right, it's right before this, right? It Isn't is it like two eighty. It's it's right. Uh, no, that's the Muir Island saga. It's it's a little okay. bit before that, but not much before that, okay. because it's because uh, it's like the la- it's I think it's like New Mutants ninety five and ninety six, and that only went to a hundred. So yeah, it's very recent, within a year for mm-hmm. sure. Now, uh, Magneto declares that uh, he's above the law, which a lot of bad guys say. Um, But, you know, he's above the law because the laws were created for humans and he's above humans. And, of course, they were created by humans and he's not one of them either. He's seen enough pain and sorrow in his life and he declares that Asteroid M is a sovereign world safe from mutants everywhere. They're all entitled to safe haven and under the protection of Magneto and his acolytes. So uh, a whole new uh, a whole new uh, day for Asteroid M as a uh, as a sanctuary of sorts. Now we wrap this issue up back at Xavier's school, and we see Banshee. He's on the computer searching for Dr. Mora McTaggart in the bowels of her lab. He finds Mora in tears, and she informs him that this terrible thing that's happening is all her fault. Well, I'm glad she's taking. I'm glad she's taking uh, ownership of this. She ought to. She ought to. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're if you're following any of the current X-Men stuff, Mora is a. Uh, do you say Mora or Moira? I've when I was a kid, I always said Moira. Me but too. But I think it's Mora. I think I it's, think, I think so. it's Mora, but I I always happen to say Moira myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I read X Factor, I called Rain Sinclair Ronnie. So I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the right guy to ask you. But uh, we find out in the uh, in the new like uh, what is it the powers of X and House of X stuff that uh, Mora is uh, behind a lot of stuff. So it's uh, it's interesting. pretty interesting stuff going on. But the next issue is entitled Firestorm. But uh, we're hoping it's a uh, you know not that other Firestorm. You know no, oh, he wasn't boy, so great point, this He time. was oh that's the Ostrander run. He'd been canceled about a year before. Not. Not good. I read it's a lot of this mental, this summer. Yeah. Boy, rough, rough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> rough going. But luckily, we don't have to deal with that. We're not dealing no, with that. Not here. We don't. No. Um. Now the the uh there was some back matter here because the the deluxe wraparound one didn't have any ads. No ads, but it did come mm. with a whole bunch of you know back matter, uh, pinups basically, and uh, they're all by Jim Lee. Go figure. Uh, one, and I think this one actually came in the newsstand one, too. It was called a Villains Gallery. That, that yes. one came in there? Okay. Yes, that was the uh, – that was that – That uh, was the center? Yeah, that uh, was the staples. center double-page spread that I had mentioned earlier. But, again, it was broken up by a Bo Jackson ad, so <laughs> – You'd have to pull Bo out in order to, uh, in order, in order to appreciate it. But this is, uh, you know, an assortment of ex-villains. We got uh, – among them, we have Arcade, we got Sentinels, the Hellfire Club, Juggernaut, Toad, Sabretooth, Mesmero, Mr. Sinister, the Goblin Queen, Doc Phoenix, Mojo and Spiral, Mystique, Loki, probably due to that Asgard Wars story, uh, The Brood, Cameron Hodge. The Brood, I actually always called them The Broad when I was growing up, too. That's a, another, another crisp pronunciation. Um, Apocalypse and, of course, Magneto fill up the roster there and uh well when i look at that list there's one that sticks out like a sore thumb and that is mesmero who um, i had never even heard of 
and I did not know who it was looking at the double page spread. Because I'm thinking uh, he probably hadn't been around since the original 66 issues at mm. this point. Mm-hmm. I, I know he comes back in, of all places, like Alpha Flight Volume 2, the Steven Siegel run. And he, and he plays a decent-sized part in that. But I don't know that we – he maybe he showed up like in an X-Men Unlimited or something, but uh, – that's I, I, that, that's a complaint for another day. <laughs> <laughs> we have another pin up here called A Blast from the Past, also by Jim Lee. And it's just the original five and some older but not original costumes. So it's a, a mishmash of costumes here. Uh, we got Wish You Were Here. <sighs> okay. Now, younger listeners may be unaware, but back in the 1990s, the comics industry would regularly put out swimsuit issues. Yeah, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, women, female heroes in skimpy bathing suits. Um, And that's kind of what we got here. It's basically the X-Men having a pool party and a whole lot of skin. Uh, Do you have any memories of these uh, swimsuit issues? I do. I will say, you know, yes, of course I do. Being a 12-year-old boy, yes. (laughs) If I happen to go to the local Walton books and find that. Yeah. I, I think I had the 92, maybe the 92 and the 93 swimsuit issue, but I will say it was not just, it was not relegated to just females. I there remember were, there was uh, like an Excalibur pinup yeah. that had like a uh, nightcrawler walking around in a pair of shorts, which I thought was kind of <laughs> odd, but we, okay, we've all got I our fetishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually came across a uh, wild storm one uh, that I, a wild storm swimsuit issue because um, I've seen I'm pretty sure I have some of the Marvel ones and and I'm making them sound a lot more you know lewd and lascivious than they really are it's it's, it's innocent stuff it's it's not like it's not like it's uh, any more revealing than like Psylocke's costume you know <laughs> but uh, this Wildstorm one I found I was gonna cover it on on the blog on Chris's on Infinite Earths because Wildstorm is you know DC adjacent it, it kind of grossed me out. It came out like probably like 1996, 1997, and mm. it was it was a little bit more uh, mature <laughs> than these Marvel ones. I was going to joke that the must be the Wildstorm swimsuit issue. Which they were probably put more clothes on than in the regular issues if you're <laughs> right? talking about like free fall. And um... they were always very skimpy, yes. But this was uh, <laughs> this was just it was one of those things that made me feel dirty, and it's like I didn't want this on my blog, so I'm not going to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> now, one cool thing that they do include here, and this was also in the newsstand one, and this is something that comics used to do a lot back in the day when they'd launch a new series or something. They'd give us a look like into the things to come, you know? You want to go through some of the stuff in this image? Sure. Uh, oh, we had a – looks like we are in for a brood story. Mm-hmm. A long shot and Dazzler. We see a shot of them. You're looking Yay. forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm a big fan. A, <laughs> uh, a Ghost Rider Cuspa, a Weapon X story, and the introduction of a new character who we will know as Omega Red. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see Omega Red here in all his glory, you know, uh, it's weird. Like, sometimes in the price guides, they would consider this a first appearance. Mm. You know, and I think in a few months, we're going to see his coffin. We're going to see his like casket with the Omega sign on it. I think that's an X-Men number four. And I, and I think, I, I think in wizard, they said that that was like 
in appearance <laughs> because it's <was> a casket. <laughs> so it's it's one of those weird things where like sometimes the cameo is the first appearance. Like you go back to like the Wolverine first appearance. Is it really Incredible Hulk 180 or 181? Right. You know, it's it's one of those weird things where you just don't know which one is which. Uh, in recent years, I saw some some uh, things about Cable because Cable appears like in a blurb at the very end of New Mutants 80. Is it 86? Is the one before he shows up? I think he shows up in 86. Yeah, that sounds right. So it's like in the very last panel of 86, it's like next Cable. And it's a picture of Cable. I'm like, well, is that his first appearance? <laughs> but then it gets it's like very muddy. It does. It does. It really depends on which whichever book that Wizard had a lot of, I think. If <laughs> that's Wizard what I was had, thinking. If Wizard had a surplus, it's like, okay, that's the first appearance. Because then we can <laughs> sell it. Um, now, something that was uh, just in the uh, the wraparound version is a sketchbook, an X-Men sketchbook by Jim Lee, with uh, you know rough sketches of some of the new costumes and characters we're going to be seeing. So it's, uh, you know, it's pretty neat to have a sketchbook, but uh, I, I don't know that I would have paid more money for it at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you a quick question now yeah. while I'm thinking of it. Now, um, like you just said, some of these costumes are new, and I know you're a big Cyclops fan, right? Yes. Is he was he he was your guy. He was. Uh, yes. Which costume do you prefer? Do you prefer this '90s this costume with this the open, one. flowing yes. hair, or the or the the, the costume that preceded this? This one, definitely. Me too. I love I love the I love the little belts. I love the pouches. <laughs> I love that his hair is out. Um, it's it's great and i mean we're gonna we're gonna see the x-men action figures pretty soon here uh in an ad where i mean it's got like three costumes ago cyclops with the dome head you know <laughs> um no this this one is probably my favorite cyclops costume followed by probably the one that came right before this in x-factor with uh wills Portacio. it was uh his hair was out and it was just like it was light, lighter blue with like a white X going across the torso. Those are probably my favorite Cyclops costumes. Uh, in recent years, he's had some of the worst costumes. Oh yes. Uh, oh. It's like oh, that. Not the good. X visor. Oh, that mm-hmm. stinks. Hate it. Hate it. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't like him with the with the with the full head stocking. You know, I like him with the hair out. And uh, yeah, this is definitely my favorite Cyclops costume. How about what? What, what is what? Do you, you know, I, I haven't asked you. Like, what are your favorite characters in this? What are your favorite? Uh, which which ones stick out? Which ones are the ones you you want to follow? Well, oh boy, circa 1991, 92, mm-hmm. um, when I was first following this, I was all in on Gambit. I was drinking okay. the Gambit yeah. Kool Aid. Sure. That mysterious Cajun. Now, <clears throat> when the when the Thieves Guild show up, I'm out. I don't want to see any of that stuff. <laughs> 100%. I don't want Belladonna. I don't want the Thieves Guild. And we're getting so it. It's down, boring. It's, it's yeah. coming up next it's year. It's coming up. But yeah, <laughs> it's coming up later in the year. But I don't want any part of any of that stuff. But when no. he's on the team and talking to Rogue, that that's my bread and butter. I like oh, that. Yeah. You know, the Rogue and Gambit relationship that we're going to be getting into here. Some of the I, I was riveted as, as a kid, and I haven't, you know, I haven't revisited a lot of these in in many years. So it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to see how how this stuff aged. Like I, I know we're going to be, you know, it's it's a while from now, but we're going to have that issue where they go on a date, and uh, Rogue almost tells him her real name, and he stops her. 
he stops. He, she's like, she's like, Remy, my real name is. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. And I, I wanted to rip that page out of the book. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like we almost found out. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> oh man. I, I was so annoyed, but that, that, that was some of the, that was some of the greatest stuff in, in this era. I mean, I, I think folks uh, write this era off uh, post. I mean, we're still in the Claremont era here, but I mean, post Claremont as being somehow lesser than, and, less uh more shallow maybe mm-hmm. but uh I, I think in a lot of ways and again this is all from you know the vantage point of being a preteen and early teen this stuff was just fantastic it was fantastic i remember you're talking uh the issue you were just referring to was uh 24, 24. right yep mm-hmm. right uh, before fatal f- attractions yes right before fatal attractions mm-hmm. and that was the i had a brief uh i had a uh, x-men subscription Okay. I had a three month like trial subscription that I got when I I got an X Men board game, and that was my last issue, and I still remember opening up my mailbox and pulling mm-hmm. out that issue and seeing that cover of Rogue in his arms, and I was yep. I I can remember still looking at that now and just being beside myself like I oh, cannot yeah. wait to get in the house and read this. This is oh, this absolutely. is the greatest. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that this is a. Uh... This is this is a good book. <laughs> it's a good book. And, and I and I, you know, when I was trying to put this together, I, this has been something that's been jogging in my mind for a long time. And uh, and I always think, you know, since the show is from Claremont to Claremont, that there would be no Claremont in it. You know, I would we, we would be starting after Claremont, but you can't leave this issue out. Uh, this I mean, this three part story that we're going to be covering here, it's the status quo going forward. Right. You know, right. It, it, you need this here. And uh, I mean, this isn't an anti Claremont show. We we love Chris Claremont. <laughs> it's just I didn't discover the X-Men during Chris Claremont's time. So this is, right. a, you know, a totally different thing here. But uh, no, this is a this is a fun run. This is going to be a good time here. Uh, but before we cut out, uh, you know, the, the, there weren't just uh, words and pictures in this book. There were other kinds of words and pictures as well. Uh, do you have any uh, you have any things that try to sell us stuff. Do you have any of those you want to discuss? Oh, well, this was a double-sized issue. Now, if you're reading the deluxe version, you're not going to get the ads, you lucky oh. dog. But <laughs> again, I'm reading cover A. So I had, I had all the ads, Chris. I had all the ads. Some were a little <laughs> more interesting than others, but I thought we would give uh, maybe give these a quick rundown. Uh, and sure. the inside of the front cover, we had the, uh, we had an ad for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure video game. Did, did you happen to have this? I didn't have it, but I rented it, and it is trash. <laughs> it is garbage. Oh, it's awful. awful well, game. I see it's by LJN, so that speaks for itself. That is the seal of quality. Yes. yes. They need to just stick to uh, making uh, wrestling figures and not make <laughs> terrible games. Yes. <laughs> um, we also had an ad for Fleer's 1991 NFL cards, of which uh, I'm sure I probably have uh, quite a few of these floating around in my attic. You you were yeah you were into uh, into the cards here. I you know my father was very much into you know baseball cards, sports cards, and uh, I I always just had they were always just around. Um, I have I, I was actually just digging through the garage uh, last week looking for this is gonna sound so bad. My remember overpower. Do you remember Marvel the Overpower? The game? Yes, yes, yes. I have never played Overpower in my life, but somehow 
I have like 5,000 overpower cards in my garage. <laughs> I have I have the entire first set, you know, the uh, it was like something like 500 cards for the set for the deck or whatever and I have the whole thing. And um and, and I mean I was so into collecting these things that like I kept the wrappers. Like oh I had my. Like, I had one of each wrapper. So I had like a full set plus cuz I was ridiculously lame. And uh, I was digging through the garage to find them. And I'm looking at the box, the long box right now, the long card box of overpower cards right now. And it's embarrassing as hell. But uh, <laughs> I did come across like something like 30 long boxes of sports cards that I don't remember buying. I don't remember getting, but they're there. <laughs> they just showed up. Just yeah, showed I, don't up think, somewhere. I don't think the elves came and dropped them off there. They, they were bought at some point. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there are some of these in there, too. Well, I'm sure they were bought with your future in mind. Uh, you, you know, when you decide to part with those, I'm sure you can, you know, you can, you can retire very comfortably because those, those early to late '90s uh, sports cards are just, or even better, like you said, overpower cards. I'm sure are just worth a fortune. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm sure that you know the the, the people lining up at the comic shops right now to play overpower, they're wishing. <laughs> <laughs> I did, you know, I did have much like yourself. I had the uh, starter, the starter pack, sure, or the the starter deck. I kept I all the bought, boxes. Kept yes. all the boxes. How lame is that? I uh, I had that. I bought off a, a coworker years okay. after the game was relevant anymore because he was just I don't know. He offered them to me for two or three bucks and felt <laughs> bad for him, so I just went ahead and bought them. But uh, yeah, I, I've never played my, either. And they've got like the weirdest, like it's almost like dollar store versions of the art, kinda. It's like <laughs> just a little bit off. It doesn't look quite right. Uh, it's it, it was a rabbit hole for me. And it, you know, on the on a similar thing here, I almost fell into the uh, hero clicks when they came out. Those I, uh, mm-hmm. those called those called me real hard, but I, I was able to withstand. I was all in on hero clicks, Chris, really? to the point where um, I was playing. Uh, right before, during the period of time uh, before I, I got married to my wife, and mm. uh, she was getting a little hot about it. I was getting a lot of heat <laughs> from playing them because it was, uh, are, are you planning on getting married or are you going to keep investing money in these hero clicks? And uh, <laughs> I didn't have, to, I didn't want to have to make a choice there. But I will say, uh, I have played a game of hero clicks within the last week. I don't normally play, but my kids are nine and almost six and mm. they were looking at them and they see the little figures and stuff and they wanted to bust them out. And, uh, I was, we, we played an impromptu game, uh, within wow. the last week. So, wow. so you actually, you, you owned them and used them. Oh yeah. I went to tournaments. I went to tournaments until no I got a real job and had to work on Saturdays. So, <laughs> <laughs> so who was your, who was your go-to team this week? Uh, this week, uh, well, you shouldn't ask me because a, a, a five-year-old beat uh, beat me and beat his brother. So I I was coaching him through it, but uh, he he won the game. Uh, I used Black Adam because he could uh, he had super speed. So Black Adam was uh, one of my go-to guys. But I didn't I've, use him this week, and uh, I, I paid, paid the for price. Him. You paid yes. the price. I, I've I've got I've got one. I have Vartox. I have Vartox's hero click. So wow, that's... that must have been later on. I didn't even know there was a Vartox. Yeah. Oh, there is. There is indeed a Vartox hero click. And <laughs> Collecting I sniffed all the... it out. Well, when you, your Vartox merchandise can, what, 
begin and end with one item, you're all set, right? Well, if unless you're counting the Zardos DVD, then then <laughs> then you have two two items. items. Yes, and I, I aside from all. the comics. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Speaking of comics, we have another ad. Yes, uh, we have an ad for entertainment this month. Well, it says mm-hmm. entertainment this month, of course, which would give us the lowdown on all of that month's. Would it be for that month or the upcoming months? No, that month. Well, yeah, I think know, that month and maybe month the month prior. Yeah. yeah. It, this was, for me, when you were 10 or 11, this was kind of the lowdown to know. This was my this was my uh, previews catalog to know yeah. what was coming out. Like, oh, wow, absolutely. Tomb of Dracula, number one and two. Ooh, 395. Well, that's <laughs> kind of a, I guess that's a bargain, but uh, it's too rich for my blood. <laughs> So I'm looking at this here, and uh, Excalibur 42. That's 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 a that's a book we're going to be discussing on this very program. Had a second print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who, that's kind of stunning, isn't it? That is wild. Who who is buying? Who was buying Excalibur? It was so much more expensive. It was it was dollar seventy five. Oh my, that is nuts. Uh, I'll the, do you uh, one better looking at this list. How about a NFL Super Pro number one second print? Yikes. <laughs> yikes, that is insane. Wow. And, I mean, these were legit second. These these aren't like today's second prints, you know? Like today, right. like, to, like on a Wednesday, a book comes out, and within 20 minutes of the stores going uh, opening their doors, Marvel will, or DC will tweet out, Oh, we're going to second print on this book. It's like, how? How are you going to second print? It's not sold, you know? And and then, like, a day later, third print. It's like, but but you're insane. They're, they're not selling. What are you doing? And, and, like, I can go to the comic shop and buy one of each of the three printings for the cover price. Back in the 90s, though, I mean, these second prints were legit. <laughs> yeah, very legit. Very legit. And it was I know from, my local shop, like hmm. you say, oh, well, we'll get the second printing in in a you know, two or three weeks. Well, he probably, whatever book it might be, he might've only ordered six copies of it to begin with. So it was, sure. you know, very small print run. Yeah. It's wild. And and from one of these entertainment this month ads is where, uh, where I first heard about young blood. It was, uh, where they advertised it as a new mutant team. Huh. And, yeah. And so I thought like, Oh, this is a new X-Men book. I thought maybe it was replacing the new mutants. And, uh, no, it's not. It's not that at all. <laughs> it is something altogether different. And uh, yeah, it's a story for a, a different day. <laughs> did you ever place an order from Entertainment this month? No, I did no. not. I, it no, it was kind of like a pipe dream, right? Oh, absolutely. It was one of those things, kind of like, uh, kind of like the uh, what is it, the East Coast comics that that's also in this book, where like you'd lay down on the living room floor with like a notepad and you'd you'd write down your your wish list and then you'd hand it to your parents and be like oh I want this instead of Christmas and they say get the hell out of here yeah it was the Sears catalog for like really it was the wish book it was it the, was wish, the book. wish book yes hundred yeah, percent yeah instead of wanting like I, I want the USS um, flag the flag video. yeah instead of that I just want you know I want what if thirty two can you manage that that's only a dollar twenty five not a hundred bucks can you manage that no, get out of my get out of my face. Get out of my house. You're getting a Bill and Ted video game, and you're gonna like it. <laughs> I did. I did place one order from. Does it entertainment this month later become uh, like American a, Entertainment or something? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
by that point, I think I had sent away for uh, it took like all the money I'd gotten for my birthday to purchase. I think it was like Generation X number one and okay. like a Generation X preview number yep. one, which was a dollar fifty or something like that. Was it full all size I, or was it an ash can? No, it was full size, but okay. I think it had interviews and sketches. Sure. It was a big disappointment by the time I ended up getting it. I do remember that, but yeah. I was ecstatic to get that Generation X number one because with that holographic Chromium cover. Stuff, or that yep. cover, yeah, excuse me. Holographic cover, it was uh, kind of a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, uh, that was one that I actually missed. Um, I was during... Uh, no, it wasn't during my time away, but I had somehow missed uh, Generation X number one. And uh, so uh, for the longest time, my you know Generation long, X long box was just two. And then negative one came out. So then I <laughs> fixed that. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's, those are stories for way down the line. Yeah, that will come back in uh, what 2023. We'll be we'll be yeah, talking about yeah. that. We'll be we'll be three presidents from now. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about <laughs> Generation X. <laughs> uh, we have another ad here for Palladium Books presents Riffs, which is a uh, some sort of uh, multi-genre role-playing game, which my eyes would have just glossed over. This is not uh, hate to say not not for me. This was not anything no, I would have been no, for me. It's, it's it, the picture here is a one robot punching another robot in the face. And, um, you know, growing up in the 80s, you had G.I. Joe and you had Transformers. I always was uh, a G.I. Joe kid because I didn't care about robots. You can kill here, a robot here, bring too. it back. You know? Yep. So yep. to see two robots fighting, and, and I mean, this is a pretty brutal scene. This, this, this One robot is getting his face destroyed by another robot, and I don't care. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can just rebuild it, you know. Just, you get him a, you get him like the uh, the upgraded firmware in the head, and it's an, it's a, he's a new robot. So, uh, yeah, not my deal. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I was, uh, I was also a Joe kid, and Transformers didn't. I was a GoBot kid, so I got, <laughs> I got a lot of flack over that over the years. Come on, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Scooter is way cooler than Optimus Prime. <laughs> I uh, never lived that one down. Uh, as you said earlier, our next ad is for East Coast Comics. Uh, kind of the same list, kind of uh, kind of unimpressive list, but it was always kind of fun to look through and go, I don't know about you, this was before the days of Wizard. This was kind of like yeah. my unofficial price guide. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could look through this and, and see if you had might happen to have anything that was worth any kind of money. Yep. Amazing which, Spider-Man uh, number 300 I, for $42? Yeah. Is that, does that seem high for 1991? I I guess Venom would have been just as hot then as he is now. Sure. Right? Sure, yeah. I, I don't know you I don't know that you can you can even sniff that for $42 these days. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, that's uh that's pretty wild here and uh Days of Future <laughs> Past $18 for the original issue. I mean, that's, uh, they, there's some wild stuff there's in here. There's some steals in here. Sure. Uh, boy, there's some steals in here. Um, wasn't there? Let me see here. A uh, nope, that must have been a different one I was looking at. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say there was like a new Teen Titans number two in here for I don't know, it was like ten dollars or something. Oh, that might have been a one I was looking at that at an earlier issue. So never, yeah, every never time I see that, every and it's it's funny because like I'm missing one issue from New Teen Titans and I'm wish I'm missing one issue from New Mutants, and they both have to do with a Wilson. 
<laughs> of course, right? <laughs> and their first names rhyme. So, yeah, you know who they are. <laughs> yeah, you know who they are. That's right. Green yeah. Lantern number one. I believe that's a $7. That's the... Uh, uh, the, Gerard the Jones, artist, or the the right, yeah, that doesn't say the writer that will remain unnamed, but uh, <laughs> yeah, There's seven dollars. That's that that seems pretty steep, but That's okay, very steep. That is way <laughs> steep. Goodness Justice me. League Europe number one for six dollars. Uh, that could be found in any any upstanding quarter bin. Well, uh, we'll yeah. we'll be we'll be generous. Say fifty cent bin. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that there, there's some uh, the, the 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 speculation is the bubble is uh, is growing at this point. It's, it's growing. Uh, that's right. We're not at that fever, that 92, 93 fever oh, pitch that's yeah. uh, draped in chromium. But we're we're on our way. We're on our we way. We are getting there. Yes. <laughs> what what's our what's our next uh, our next little missive here? Our next ad is for Spider-Man for the Sega Genesis. Is okay. Spider-Man. Yeah, I believe this is the regular Spider-Man, not Spider-Man and the Sinister Six. Which uh, yeah. these were pretty fun games. These were they pretty were. fun and games. They, I did rent these a time or two. And they had really cool uh, soundtracks. I remember too, like mm-hmm. just very like mm-hmm. very like hard rock. Uh, you know, tinny hard rock because it's on the Genesis. But uh, uh, <laughs> but really heavy stuff here. Really good stuff. I remember uh, a buddy of mine had this game and and it was pretty fun. It was hard. Uh, all games were hard back then, but. Uh, but yeah, this was a this was a good one, and I, I remember just being blown away by the uh, by the graphics on this one. Mhm. Were you a uh, were you a Genesis or were you a Super Nintendo kid? Which uh, where were, where did your loyalties lie? Okay, now that's a loaded question because. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, because I I graduated from my elementary school in 1991, actually this summer, uh, the summer okay. of this book. I graduated from elementary school and. Uh, I was given a choice of getting a Sega Genesis right then or waiting until the Super Nintendo came out and getting that. Me being a an impatient fool said, give me the Genesis right now. And then uh, in a couple of years, my friends all got Super Nintendos and I was very, very jealous. <laughs> and, uh, I finally managed to get one. Um, I remember calling flea markets like, hey, I'll trade you my Genesis for a Super Nintendo. And. And being, you know, hung up on many times. <laughs> but uh, it's like, no, no, I'll give you a Genesis and all the games. Just give me a Super Nintendo. But no, no, no. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I was both eventually, but I uh, I definitely prefer the Super Nintendo to the Genesis. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I was a Genesis kid, but my, my friend down the street had a Super Nintendo. And it's like, oh, you run a Killer Instinct? All right, I'll be right down. Like, it seemed <laughs> like all the good stuff came out for Super Nintendo. I played a lot of sports games as a kid, and okay. I I did prefer those for the Genesis, but for the yeah. most part, Super Nintendo blew blew it away. Oh, you get all the Mario games, you get the the the, the Square games, the Final Fantasies, and Chrono Triggers, and ugh. yeah, it, the Genesis couldn't stack up. No, no matter what they you know whatever fantasy star they were up to, just didn't measure up <laughs> to any. Even of as them. a kid, even as a kid, you'd usually like defend the one you have. No, I w- I would. <laughs> I couldn't, I wouldn't yeah, defend I just couldn't do it. <laughs> no. I think it, I think I came to that realization uh the Christmas I got uh I think it was Mortal Kombat three and realized okay. that the, the finishers were way harder to pull off with three buttons rather than four. Oh, they wanted had, you to buy yeah, they wanted you to yeah. buy the big arcade stick, yeah. 
no, not not <laughs> happening. Not I'll I'll work on Nightwolf fatalities as much as I can, but I'm not gonna I'm not buying that that stick. <laughs> oh. Our next ad is the the piece de resistance of the ads in this issue. It is for Club Bo. And uh, mm-hmm. can I can I read you the the title? I, I was I was hoping you would. <laughs> it's a double page spread, and we're getting a good look at on glossy paper. Sporting, on Glo- glossy yeah, paper. glossy paper, the only glossy paper in the whole mm-hmm. book. And uh, we're getting a good look at uh, the bow club bow uh, T-shirt, which you get when you sign up, which is white and just says bow in a very uh, 1991 font. Yep, and. Uh, let, let's read let's read the, the ad uh, text here. One day I was real sad and my dad said, hey, here's 17 bucks. Spend it all in one place. So I joined Club Bow and pretty soon all this stuff showed up in the mail. Like a Bo Jackson t-shirt, a gnarly newsletter, a membership certificate, and a poster of Bo to go <laughs> on my mirror. Okay. <laughs> Okay, wait, wait, wait. So you get a gnarly newsletter. <laughs> news a poster of... Why would you put a poster on your mirror? I, the only thing I could... Th- I almost couldn't get that out. The only thing I could think is, is it like is it like a... Uh, I wonder if it's any bigger than like the, the paper that this that the comic was printed in. You know what I mean? Maybe, Maybe it's not a full-size poster. And they're like, oh, you put it in your mirror because I want to hope that it is full size. I want to hope that this kid put it there so he, every time he looked in the mirror, Bo looked back so he <laughs> thought he was Bo Jackson. He was becoming Bo Jackson. <laughs> yes, it's all that for 17 bucks. I, <laughs> I can beat Bo Jackson for 17 bucks. Now, do you think you, – were you a sports kid, sports guy as a kid? I I was a fan of the 1986 Mets, and then after that I was kind of done. Where where are we at, and Bo? I, you know I thought where? Bo was cool. I thought he I mean he he is uh, uh you know it might just be my you know my memory here, but it's like retroactively he he's like as iconic as like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson of yes. that era. No, you, know? you were you were absolutely correct, absolutely correct. He trained he was kind of like. Jordan before Jordan, just just a smidge before, where yeah. he transcended everything. I mean, oh yeah, everywhere loved Bo Jackson. He was the Absolutely. man. He played baseball and football. And football. Mm-hmm. And if you played Tecmo Bowl, he was it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you're you're not uh, done reading this. Uh, no, this I'm not. Let me tell you what happened <laughs> after I, after I joined Club Bowl. After I spent that 17 bucks in one place. Mm-hmm. After I joined Club Bo, things were completely different. At school, they voted me most cool and most likely to marry Miss Mississippi. And this is followed by a giant smiley face. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm the ambassador to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, that foreign nation of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have their own seat at the UN, right? i fly my own helicopter yesterday i bought italy and a football team thank you bo and then uh you get the the order form that says are you kidding yes i want to join club bo and then uh you go on from there Uh, so so you know so i bought italy i I bought a country (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and 
the Steelers. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm under the impression maybe if you bought Italy, you all, maybe, maybe it was a soccer team included. Maybe, maybe it was, it was their team. World League team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they threw in the World League team because they were getting ready to, you know, they were getting ready to throw in the tall anyway. So you got uh, was it? No, that's Spain. I'm not sure if they hadn't. I'm not sure if they had a World team, uh, World League team, but. Uh, <laughs> Boy, um, think, think, good things happen when you join Club Bow. I can tell you I, that much. I think we need to get this thing started again. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get this thing rolling again. We need, we need Club Bow 2.0. I think <laughs> we can make this happen. <laughs> Just have to bow leave, right? We <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh. Whew, okay. So what's next? All right. All right, our next ad is for a um, we have an ad for a Marvel maxi print. Now, what we have here, what we're looking at, are these all over prints that were very the t-shirts, excuse me, printed t-shirts from Marvel that were very popular in that you'd see them all over these comics in the early mm-hmm. '90s. That were like, I'm not sure if these ones are, but they were the double sided shirts. We have a home oh shirt, yeah, a, homeless a beast shirt. A uh, city Spidey shirt, as it's called, which has a uh, Spider-Man swinging through, uh, what would you call that, like a surprint in the background of like like skyscrapers and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a Captain America where he, a Captain America shirt where he's kind of jumping at yeah with the uh, the shield hanging out now if if you're if it's 1991 which one of these are you, are you buying would you would you uh, have the hut spot to uh wear any of these out in public i i don't think i mean i'm looking at these and uh like the thing that comes to my mind is that razor ramon t-shirt that uh that <laughs> wwf put out like in like 94 95 that big yellow ugly yellow shirt. yeah oh. that 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 I haven't had anything to drink all day. Urine yellow, <laughs> razor Ramon shirt. Yeah, not oh, not good. No, no, and I, I they these are just not. Uh, they're not. They they don't even do the art justice. You know, they're just not great shirts. And uh, you know, if we look at the print, if, the, if we look at the copy here, these are advertised as the latest mutation in t-shirts. <laughs> what is a mutation? Is it supposed to be institution, or did they just misspell mutation? Mutation. Um, Yeah, mutation in t-shirts. That's not the only. If you (laughs) if you go further down, that's not the first. That's not the only like misspelling we have here because it also says to max out your style for minimal bucks. Minimal. Minimal. Yeah. M-U-L, minimal books. Do you think this is like, is this like when you go on eBay and you go to buy something and it's clearly from China because there's all sorts of uh, like, <laughs> yep. um, all sorts of uh, errors in the in the type? <laughs> so so you, you think these might be bootleg T-shirts? I don't know. The, hmm. MR, the MRI Corporation, do you think they're still in business today? Oh, boy, we got to find out. Yeah, in Chatsworth, California. Wow. <laughs> yeah, these are these are not. I mean, these are good pictures, but uh, as T-shirts, they're not. They're not. They're not great. They are uh, not. I, great. If I was going to buy one of these, I probably would go with the the beast the beast shirt in in 1991. I actually yeah. had uh, at the height of my fandom, I my aunt got me one year uh, a beast hat, which would okay. not be cool to wear nowadays, but it had just a big. 
uh, X X logo on the cover on the front mm-hmm. of it. Excuse me. And had uh, old uh, Hank McCoy in the middle of it. And I wore that thing to death. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, you know, I've I've never really been uh, a T-shirt guy. Uh, I do actually have a few comic T-shirts that I've just accumulated over the years, but I, I don't ever wear them. I, I've, you know, I've got a I've got a Green Lantern one. I've got a I have one with X Men number one's cover on it. Not this X Men number one. The first X Men number one's cover. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think I have like an Inhumans one that Jay Lee did. Even though I hate the Inhumans, I had a T-shirt on them because Raven wore it on Nitro one night. Raven, <laughs> the wrestler Raven, wore this shirt on. Uh, he wore it on Monday Nitro, and I thought it was cool, so I bought it. <laughs> well, I'd like to say I don't own any comic book T-shirts, but that I have a like. Oh, this is the Batman pile. This is the this is the villains pile of shirts. <laughs> this is the Marvel pile. I have several piles of shirts that are. For, <laughs> no, I have to put this in the like DC pile. It's 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 not pretty. I'm. I'm wow. a shirt hoarder. I there you go. Hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> our, uh, our next ad is for Westfield Comics, who are celebrating 10 years of success. Any idea? Uh, is this is this company still around today? You know, I think they might go by Worlds of Westfield nowadays. Okay. Um, for a little while, I had somehow gotten a subscription to this. I don't know how I got this subscription, but... They they just started sending catalogs to my house with your address to me. I don't know how they got my name, my address, or whatever, but they uh, sent me catalogs for Westfield like once a month or one or a few times a year for like two or three years, and then they stopped. So uh, oh nice. Yeah, I don't know. I never ordered anything. I I didn't even know why I was getting them, but uh yeah, that uh, that's my worlds of Westfield story. <laughs> huh. that's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they uh, are still around they are in fact still around. oh that's cool that's cool yes. well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you always hear people you yeah. always want to hear people doing well you know what i mean sure. so that would put them in their boy almost 40 years in business good for them good for them that's great well according to mark merrill their service is impeccable so you know and james <laughs> talbot here says uh he would be totally lost without them so it's a good thing they're still around. So James Talbot, he just, he's, still, he's still with it. You know, I can understand being totally lost in this day and age with, like, where am I going to buy my comics? Like, you would, you might not be able to find a comic shop. But in 1991, uh, I think you've got other options rather than Westfield. I think so, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you I, couldn't swing a dead cat without it in the comic shop back then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Much less a, a newsstand or something yeah, where you could just try to spin a rack and buy stuff. But I hope J- James M. Telbot is still uh, still doing OK today. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> thanks to Westfield. He is. Thanks. Thanks, Westfield. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got uh, next? next up? Oh, next up, we've got action-packed excitement. Dynamic novels by the writer of X-Men, Chris Claremont. And mm. uh, we've got a couple of pair, paper bags here. We've got First Flight and Grounded. Is this, uh, have you, uh, I know you're a Chris Claremont guy. Have you ever read any of these, uh, any of his uh, books? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, um, it really when i when i tried reading it it really wasn't what i was looking for um 
This is a uh, I mean, you just have to look at these covers and know what you're in for. This is a a Chris Claremont book with a with a strong lead and uh it, it's it's not X-Men, you know? Uh right. when I when I wanted to read something from Claremont, I wanted it to be X-Men and this is very much not that. Um I I couldn't speak for the quality. I'm sure people really like these books. Uh I'm, you know, just not one of those people. <laughs> Next up, we've got summer specials. We've got our obligatory uh, subscription list for Marvel. Where you, you get three titles for the price of two, but just in the blue section. Those must just be the, the yeah. Those are the dollar comics. Don't try to don't think you're getting any of those dollar seventy five books. No, for, you ain't uh, getting Excalibur three, or Wolverine here, guys. No, you got to pay, pay a pretty penny for Excalibur. <laughs> uh, um. So, did you ever have? I'm not sure if I asked this already. Um, have you ever had a subscription to any comic books? No, I've not. Um, no, I've, uh, I've I've subscribed to magazines a few times in my youth, and waited at ba- with bated breath for my Nintendo powers to show up. But uh, I never had <laughs> a, I never had a comic book subscription, which uh, yeah, it's weird to think about in retrospect. But uh, yeah, never had one. How, how about and you had your I know you had your three-month X-Men run. Uh, did you ha- have any yes. others? You did. Um, I also yes, I also had a. This would have been after, uh, would have been just before that. I had a year subscription to Detective. This was okay. from like issue six, I think forty-five to. Uh, well, that would have been six. Well, well, let me think. Forty-five to six, six fifty-seven. It was right before night. Nightfall started, so I think okay. six forty-five to six fifty-seven was cool. uh, my subscription, and uh, you know they'd send them in with a quote-unquote backing boards with just like the flimsiest piece of cardboard. It was it was like twelve pack of soda cardboard. Like <laughs> it's not it's not doing any kind of good. I was gonna ask how they came. <laughs> yeah, that's how they came, and just the real flimsy bag. I've I think I've still got a couple of those detectives that are still in the original bag and board if you want to call it that which is it's just kind of neat but um sure uh, uh, between that and the x-men and uh before that when i was uh probably eight or nine i had a subscription to wwf magazine for a couple of years which again waiting with bated breath for the those chasing the the mailman down yeah chasing the mailman and I will I will tell you at later on in life I strongly uh, I I don't know if I'd say strongly but I I believe that between the subscriptions that I had as a kid that led to my decision to uh, to become a mailman myself honestly <laughs> that excitement of uh, that excitement of of getting those things in the mail I thought well boy wouldn't that be fun to do for like the next forty years and there you go. And, yeah, not so much, but uh, <laughs> WWF magazine led to uh, and and X Men led to uh, a career, permanent life choices, <laughs> I, I long term life choices. Yeah, because your day had so many possibilities before the mailman came, and then when when they came and went, and it, it wasn't there, your day was shot. You were just done. <laughs> And if it was like we a weekend didn't know when this stuff was coming out. Oh mm-hmm. no, no, we we didn't get any kind of uh, shipping confirmations or anything. It was just 
And, and you would hope like you would hope it would actually show up in one piece or it wouldn't get put in someone else's mailbox by mistake. And mm-hmm. oh, man, if, if Nintendo Power came a week, it was a week past when I usually would get it. <laughs> I, I thought it was done. You know, I was going to put signs up in the neighborhood. Like, did, did you get this? Did you get my Nintendo Power? But uh, yeah, we gotta make mom, mom. We gotta make some calls. We gotta make some calls. We got problems here. We got problems. Get the president on the phone. Yeah, just get something <laughs> because uh, yeah, when you have a subscription, that just becomes your whole life. Uh, it's crazy things. I, I remember, I remember sending away for like mail order stuff too, and they would say, "Hey, wait, te- eight six to, ten to eight weeks." weeks. And it was yeah, all wait. yeah, it was always the full term. But as a kid, you'd think, "Well, I sent it in three days ago. They must have it by now." <laughs> Yep. Maybe che- yeah it's been almost a week i think maybe it's Uh-oh. here and it would just it, it was it was anti it, it was just agonizing to oh, uh man. to wait that out when i <laughs> when i bought the uh when i got the sega genesis for my graduation toys r us had a, a promotion where it's like you get this and you get like a rebate card for a free game and uh so i you know marched my you know silly self up to the counter and was like i want that one and they're like no no you have to mail it in so so i actually had to mail in this card and i ordered um dj boy was the name of the game because it was like six games you could choose and uh i thought d w boy because the uh, thing was hard to read it was very hard to read in the little in the little photostat that they gave us and uh, so i was looking for w boy and uh it took it took forever to get (laughs) Uh, by the time I got it, I had given up on it coming, so I had rented it and I'd beaten it, and then it came like <laughs> the next day. So, like, this is the worst thing in the world. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I mean, your whole life becomes when you're when you're a little kid, and especially if it's like summertime, and you have something that's supposed to come in the mail. That's just that's just agonizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can ima- only imagine. I mean, it's one thing if I'm waiting to find out like results of WrestleMania five in the mail, which is something I already do anyways. But sure. waiting for a video game to come in the mail—that's that's crazy. Oh, that's like a that's a once in a lifetime thing. <laughs> 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 um, our our next ad is for Three Musketeers Adventure, number two in a series, and we uh we're getting an ad here where uh we got here speaking of uss flag we've got a big like tanker in the middle of mm-hmm. the mariana trench that uh <clears throat> unearths a, a giant three musketeers bar mm. where, where are you at on three musketeers i like them i like them okay um i i recently uh before i went on on my crazy diet i uh i discovered the uh three musketeers uh birthday cake flavor which Ooh. no no it's a it's uh-huh. it's kind of like a three musketeers with the flavor sucked out of it it's not, not that <laughs> um like the inside instead of it being like that off brown color it's like an off white color and uh oh that, that that sounds unsettling yeah and it's just not not the greatest of uh of uh candy experiences uh, and yeah do i put this in my mouth or do i do grout work in the bathroom with it like it's you, you not could. that doesn't you sound could. great yeah, you could. But uh, generally speaking, I'm okay with Three Musketeers. Yeah, they're not bad. How about yourself? Three Musketeers is that it, it's that candy bar that you like. Well, I'll, sure. What do you got here? The Halloween mix? Sure, I'll eat one of those. But you would never plop down like the dollar twenty nine to buy a full size bar. Like, no, no. If I'm, I gotta, 
I'm buying something with a little bit more substance to it than this. Like I, <laughs> I don't always, think I've eaten a Three Musketeers bar since I was a kid. As it far was as like always a my mom's uh, my mom's candy bar. It was the Three Musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was just like the mom candy bar because it was lighter and uh, and uh, it wasn't as a uh, wasn't as dense <laughs> as a Snickers or something. But uh, yeah. Big on chocolate, low on like additives. There's no nuts or anything on it. <laughs> yes, it's just very fluffy. <laughs> All right, and lastly, believe it or not, lastly, our last ad, the uh, the back cover to this book, if you have cover A like me, mm-hmm. is for X Men action figures by Toy Biz, and boy, oh boy, <clears throat> I can tell you, we have Nightcrawler. We have Storm, we have Archangel, we have Magneto, we have Colossus, Cyclops, Wolverine, Apocalypse, and Juggernaut. These toys are fully articulated, between 5 and 6 inches high. Each comes with accessories, action features, and Impel trading card. Plus, look for X-Men vehicles, playsets, accessory sets, and supersized figures. Bring home all the action. Available at KB Toys. Yes. These things were awesome. <laughs> they were. They were. They and and it's so weird. It's when you look at these things now, they they, they kind of oh, look garbage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they were awesome because you'd never seen anything like it. But yeah. conversely, they were garbage. Toy Biz was synonymous with garbage toys. They were rough. They were really really rough. And it's a. Uh, I, like I'm looking at this uh, at this Cyclops here, and I'm remembering his what did they call it here? Uh, accessory. Uh, his accessory was like this like triangle thing that he held that was supposed to be Cerebro. Really? Like it would yeah, it would like latch onto his fists. It was like a two-handed thing that came to a point, and they called it like a, a Cerebro unit. Huh. And it was just oh, it's trash. Uh. Nightcrawler has like suction cups on his knees. You can't see them in this in this ad, but uh, so you could like stick them to things, I guess. Right, I right. He also had a prehensile tail that you didn't want to bend too much, otherwise it would snap off. Yes. Oh. I uh, I had Cyclops, but I did not have the Cerebro accessory because I had I had acquired him via trade from my ah. uh, my friend my friend with the deluxe copy of Eggman. So I did, he screwed he must you. Have lost that accessory. Yeah, I, I, I think he held that. on to it. I think he held on to the cerebro. You can't let that go. You're not getting cerebro. <laughs> no, um, like I, I believe I had multiple storms, um, which had a her chest lit up. Now don't yes. don't get any funny ideas there. She has a lightning bolt on her chest, and you mm-hmm. would push a button on the back, and it would light up. But boy, I can tell you, we had in my house. We had two storms. I think I had one, and for some reason my sister also had one. And those okay. things were so flimsy. I know the button oh, had yeah. broken out of uh, both of them, I think. And, oh, uh, and if you wanted to stand them up, you know, Lord help you. I mean, mm-hmm. she would just, her her top half would just bend backwards. And uh, I had three of those because I bought the repaints. So they oh. had this one. You have this one, Storms in Black. Uh, she's in a full black outfit with the lightning bolt. Then they did one that was like a like a silver, more like the animated series look. Mm-hmm. I had that one, and then they had a white one. One of them looked like the animated series. It might have been the white one. I don't know. But uh, there was a silver, a gray, a silver, a white, and the uh, the black. And I had all of them because 
I don't know. I was stupid. I was just as stupid then as I am now. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, none of them. And I think one of them, the uh, the lightning bolt didn't work right out of the package. I don't remember which one, but one of them it didn't work. And uh, how do you like this Magneto with the magnets on his on in his palms? Did you, oh, did... I I also had him. He's I could actually if I, I he's he's within like ten feet of me right now. My kids were playing with him, and he <laughs> yes he had the magnetos in it or he had the magnets in his hands, which were did he come with something that would repel them away? Yes. Well, no, he had something that would uh, he had like he had like these little plastic widgets with like little magnets attached to them, so they 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 can like attach to his hand. Yeah. But his hands are in such a way they're in like a karate chop pose. Yeah. So you could make him like do the robot. Like that's about it. Make him. Yeah. Like, oh, look at let's let's make Eric. uh, Let's let's make him do the safety dance here. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about him is he's got a helmet you can take off, right? Yes. So uh, and when you do, he looks like he looks like Mr. Rogers. He looks like the the (laughs) kindly old man. That you'd see at the dry cleaner or something. He looks, <laughs> he looks so nice. He doesn't look like a like an evil uh, evil mutant or uh, or a terrorist. He just looks like a kindly old dude. It's very <laughs> off putting. He doesn't get maniacal until his version two figure. This Wolverine was the pit. Did you did you have this Wolverine? I had I had every X Men figure for like the first six or seven lines. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Even GW yeah. Bridge, huh? You're like even GW Bridge, and uh, you know it's like you feel like you want to spin him for like you spin him at the middle, you know, so his butt's in the front, like so it'll look like <laughs> Liefeld art, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, this Wolverine, uh, you know, it's cool because like these claws actually retract and like latch in, so they don't spring yes. out. Where all the like subsequent ones, the, the, like the claws would just stick out. And uh, so this that ha- this one had that over the other ones, but it's a uh, yeah, it's not the best. No, he just has a weird, very off look to his face. But that yeah, that was part for the course for for Toy Biz. They sure. were in the business of making crappy toys. They were they were in Colossus with his uh, weightlifting ability. All it was yes. was you pull a lever on his back and oh weight goes up. That's it. So well, yeah. he's got that hand where his right hand where he's ready to like. He could do uh, a fastball special, I guess. I guess, or he can, like, you know, he can give you a physical, too. He's got this, like, cup hand. Turn your head and cough, yes. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Rasmutin's in the house. Let me uh, <laughs> check your prostate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yes, that was X-Men Volume 2, number one. So a uh, little bit of a recap attack here. Magneto is a... Uh, He's assaulted, or a, 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 he said he was assaulted, but he was really just visited by uh, by mutants who wanted to take refuge under his uh, under his watch and uh, adhere to his lifestyle, to which he says he no longer has. Um, they blow up some ships over Soviet airspace, which might cause an international incident, which prompts Professor X to break the X-Men into two teams. The blue one, we're going to go after Magneto, and they do so. Uh, they slash him in the stomach, but uh, he gets better. Fabian Cortez is a douchebag, and he talks Magneto into becoming a villain again. Sort of, kind of, maybe. Uh, Asteroid M becomes a sanctuary for all mutants, which, you know, that feels like a story that they do a lot. I Not thought just the same Asteroid thing. M. Not mm-hmm. just Asteroid M, but just in general. They have these mutant sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. 
I, I can think of like even now, even now in the current Dawn of X run, they're all living on Krakoa. It's a mutant sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seems like that's a well they've gone to pretty often uh, ever since this. Even in the last decade, they had moved to what, San Francisco? Yeah, then they moved to Utopia. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it's it's uh yeah, it's it's something that they they go back to a time or two and uh we're still feeling it even today. But uh Magneto has an invite to everybody who wants to be saved and uh well, we know that's not going to happen. So we will uh <laughs> we will visit we will visit that the next time out. Uh are there any plugs you want to give? Um yes, I'll be appearing at Caroline's uh <laughs> I'll be over the Ice Factory. Boozler. Um, January 24th and 25th, uh, make sure, uh, yep. You can get tickets and, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, tip, I don't have any plugs, Chris. Tip this the veal. All I got going on. Tip the veal. Uh, try the waitress. And, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, no plugs. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Regal fan. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's about it. I got, um, uh, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Oh, I'm looking forward certainly. to it. I will say I, I really enjoyed this issue. I, I enjoyed talking to it, talking to you about it. Uh, it's the first time I think I had revisited this thing in probably 25 years, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, going through this run and uh, um, just uh, reigniting that that excitement I I had had for uh, the X Men as a kid. This oh, is this is great stuff. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's uh, this is going to be a good time going forward and. Uh, and uh, we will have you back next time to talk about X-Men number two, another another one of those iconic books as an iconic cover mm-hmm. that I, I remember a friend of mine and I got into an argument about. But we'll we'll talk about that next month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Till then, we will head to the next book. Oh, ho, ho. looks like you've been having fun without me. All righty. Now we're going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men number 281. From uh, 1991, also October 1991, like everything we're talking about today. Now, this will usually probably be the flagship title. I think a lot of people consider Uncanny to be the flagship. However, for these first few episodes, I think the spotlight is squarely on X-Men Volume 2 because uh, that was kind of the straw that stirred the drink. Uh, Now, for Uncanny X-Men, I'm joined by a good buddy. Uh, This is uh, Billy. How you doing, Billy? Fantastic. Chris, how are you, man? Oh, hanging in there. You know me. But uh, (laughs) now, uh, before we get started into the issue here, I do want to learn a little bit about your history with the X-Men, uncanny or otherwise. Uh, Where where do you come in on uh, on X-Fandom? So for me, the X-Men, I was aware of the team in the early 1980s from the uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends cartoon. Okay. Yeah, that's where I first saw them. And I wasn't a big... I was always a huge fan of superheroes, but I didn't really get into buying and reading comics heavily until around 1990, which, you know, the 90s, here we go with that big boom. <laughs> yep. So there was no uh, loss of material there. And the first two books I always, you know, glommed onto was Spider-Man and X-Men. Uh, so they were it for me. You know, that relaunch in, uh, what was it, 92, I think, with the adjectiveless X-Men. 91, yep. Yeah, that was that was it for me. And then I went right from there to Uncanny and X-Force, X-Factor and X-Crazy. <laughs> the whole is there. Now, that, that Amazing Friends cartoon, that was uh, they showed the original five in that, right? 
Yeah, it was the the characters from like the 1975, you know, I don't want to say reboot, but oh, it was the giant size team. Yeah, it was the giant size team. Okay. Yep. Because I think the the uh, Amazing Friends episodes I saw, it was like Cyclops and, and Marvel Girl, unless I'm conflating that with another oh, show, which what? is possible. I, yeah, there were there were I think there was two episodes and one of them did okay. have the originals. And gotcha. then the next one had uh, like Thunderbird had the and Giant Pride and all. Yep, the Giant oh, very cool. Yep. Very cool. Yep. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Now, uh, we're not talking about X-Men Volume 2. We are talking about Uncanny here and uh Interesting thing here. We have a brand new start here. We have a whole new creative team, a whole new team of characters, but we don't get a whole new number one. How about that? Uh-huh. That that almost seems impossible in the 20, <laughs> 2020s talk here, 20-teens talk. Uh, this issue comes to us from uh, Jim Lee. It's plotted by Jim Lee with plots and pencils by Wills Pertasio, scripted by... Uh, Probably a very perturbed John Byrne. <laughs> God bless John Byrne. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was inked by Art Thibbet, uh, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Joe Rosas, edited Bob Harris, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco, had a $1 American cover price, and the story is called Fresh Upstart. You want to take us into the tale? Yeah, so uh, the story opens in the Australian Outback. Um the Reavers, a group of mercenaries, uh, are having themselves a good time drinking and chatting. All's not completely calm, however, as one of them is certain he'd heard something stirring from outside the camp. Donald Pierce, one of the big wigs, tells the fellow to shut up. They're too far off the beaten path and in the middle of a sandstorm where nobody can find them. Well, not so fast, Kimasabi. Just then, a group of rough-looking sentinels peel off the roof of the joint as if it were a can of tuna fish. Now, Meanwhile, now do in you, New York I mean, City, do you know? Did you know the Reavers going into this? No, I did not. They were a group. I think the first actual issue of X Men I ever bought, or Uncanny, mm-hmm. was three hundred. So I think okay, I just went with X Men for a while. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I grabbed that one. And what happened was, I started to like X Men so much. The issues weren't coming out fast enough, so then I went backwards. Backfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went backwards and then uh, then discovered, you know, issues like this one with the Reavers in it. So, yeah, they were new to me. Yeah, as I never – because I didn't understand who these characters were when I first read it because, uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I I came into this through Volume 2 and then I started, you know, backfilling just like you. And I didn't know a whole lot about the history or the lore and – I didn't know who uh, who Donald Pierce was, and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that he was, you know, uh, kind of a big deal in X-Men villainy, uh, you know, going back to, you know, the Hellfire Club and all that. So mm-hmm. these guys were just totally lost on me. I did recognize the Sentinels because Sentinels are, are sort of ubiquitous, but uh, I uh, <laughs> this this opening really didn't uh, do a whole heck of a lot for me the first time through. Of course, now I, I can understand the... Uh, the lore and the uh, the importance of this, but back then, I, I thought this was such just such a weird way to to kick off like a new like a whole new dynamic with yeah. these sort of sort of secondary characters from a prior generation or a prior era. It's a uh, just very very strange uh, to for this to be like one of the first that you'd read as someone coming in on the big tidal wave of X books. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're not kidding. Like you said, it feels like it should be a number one. 
now uh, from here we jump over to new york city and uh this is where we meet the x-men's gold strike force uh, if you remember from x-men volume two number one they broke up into two strike forces and uh we've got the gold team here attending a party at the hellfire club now it turns out that they were asked to come by emma frost the white queen herself now it's funny here we got storm here she's just really really uncomfortable really ticked off at the fact that she had to wear what she calls a preposterous gown to the gala which uh makes me think that maybe mr Byrne didn't get the art in time because uh she's wearing like a mini dress this isn't a gown uh-huh. uh, i i i think maybe uh <laughs> maybe something was lost in translation uh now storm is there she's with gene gray and warren worthington they're hanging out upstairs uh at the hellfire club uh downstairs we got bobby and peter they're mingling with the other guests here and uh among these guests, we have members of Frost's own team of, uh, you know, the analog to the New Mutants, her own Hellions. And uh, naturally, there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of friction between the two factions here. They never really got along. However, before it can come to blows, Emma Frost hurls some armored woman through a set of doors. Uh, now, this turns out to be an assassin who had been sent to kill her. And uh, from what we hear, this isn't the first time that this sort of thing has happened, even this week. This has been happening quite a bit. Now, uh, just as the cover copy suggests, this is the sort of thing upon which desperate alliances are built, because that is what it says here on our on our big, you know, new team is born, new era, mutant milestone cover. It says desperate alliances. And, uh, well, that's that's going to be the uh, the theme going forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, Elsewhere, Shinobi Shaw is being attended to by a whole bunch of scantily clad folks while chatting up a fella who we will soon know as Trevor Fitzroy. They're comparing notes and discussing a little game their group is currently playing. You see, these two belong to the Upstarts, a group of assassins who try and rack up points by killing mutants and assorted VIPs. (laughs) Shinobi is currently the king of this organization. But Fitzroy might just be looking to challenge for the crown. I always thought that the upstarts were such a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just such a cool concept where, I mean, uh, yeah, this is like, you know, <laughs> it's like you think about like when you're driving on the road and like somebody walks across the street, it's like, oh, hit him five points, you know, something silly like that. <laughs> it's a. Uh, this is this is basically that there. These are people who are in like this rolling lottery here where they're trying to uh they're trying to score points by killing important people and mutants and uh shinobi he's the son of sebastian shaw of the hellfire club so uh there's a very hellfire themed episode here uh fitzroy will uh we'll learn more about later on but i i always thought that if i ever got a got a opportunity to write an x-men story it would probably be an upstart related story i think uh just such an untapped potential here because uh, if they actually let these guys be dangerous, they could be probably the most dangerous since they have so much at stake. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, very powerful little group there, but uh, sure. smart, powerful. Yeah. They very, very dangerous, but they never really, you know, hit the, the top of the potential there. I don't think. No, they, they, they kind of stumbled out of the gate and uh, <laughs> it only got worse from there. <laughs> Now, we we jump back to the party at the Hellfire Club, and Emma Frost is about to, uh, well, well, she says she's going to peel the psyche 
from her uh, would-be assassin. I don't know how one goes about peeling a psyche, uh, but uh, we'll we'll take her word for it. Yeah. Uh, the X-Men naturally protest this sort of psychic torture, and they they intervene before it goes too far. They uh, they don't think that Emma should uh, should be quite as uh, ruthless as she might be in in peeling a psyche. Now, uh, this little standoff triggers the Hellions to launch into battle. And before we know it, we're just stuck in the middle of a full-blown skirmish. Uh, remembering that they're there for you know a particular reason, Jean Grey sends out a frantic psychic signal in order to get everyone to stand down. She's like, hey, you know, we're not here to fight. We're here, you know, we're here to help or we're here to be helped, whatever. So everybody just settle down. And uh, the dust does, in fact, settle. And at which time Emma reveals that the Hellfire Club is under attack and uh, says, hey, you know what? If they came for us, they might come for you X-Men too, so you might just be next. Uh, therefore, it's probably in everybody's best interest for there to be at least a temporary truce. Yeah, and I love that too because you know how it is when there's uh, when there are stories where you have to be a little uncomfortable and uh, – Sure. And uh, – get 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 a little closer and with somebody that you don't really aren't comfortable with that's that's actually a good thing there i like that that was a good plot point of this story i'll give it to them there i think so i think this is uh especially with uh i mean the hellions they just seem so interchangeable when you look at them and to give them they don't really need a personality here we don't really even need to know a whole lot about them other than they're the ones that the the x-men don't see eye to eye with um i i think you know, this isn't a decompressed story. The, these panels here, I'm looking at some of them now, they're absolutely full of balloons. I mean, there is a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of words. You'd almost think Claremont was still writing it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But you don't need to know that, like, you know, this is roulette. This is beef. You know, you don't need to know anything about them other than they are Emma's people and, uh, and the X-Men need to, uh, need to uh, make nice for a little while. Uh-huh. Yep. So the Hellion Jetstream pauses that they interrogate the armored assassin and hopes that she'll spill the beans on whoever might be behind these repeated attempts on their lives. Before he can do that, however, Trevor Fitzroy pops onto the scene. And he's wearing his weird, uh, like, glass <laughs> armor. Yeah, I always thought that was bizarre. <laughs> did, you, I, I, did you ever collect the X-Men action figures back in the day? I did not, but I saw them. And uh, oh, I do remember boy. seeing that one on the shelf. And he like, came with what? his he came with his silly glass arm, right? I'm sure I still have it out in the garage somewhere. But uh, but yeah, that <laughs> yeah, getting a I couldn't imagine like you know getting a Trevor Fitzroy action figure and being excited for it. But I did, and I, I probably was. But it just seems <laughs> just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Back in the outback, Donald Pierce is fleeing from his robotic pursuers. Bashing through a wall, he runs into Lady Deathstrike. She proceeds to attack the Sentinel, slicing off its arm. Surprisingly, the Sentinel is able to reattach the lost limb without much of the way in inconvenience. More Sentinels follow, and Pierce continues his escape. He runs up a nearby hill where he finds Gateway, the aboriginal mutant with teleportation powers. He demands the fella spin his bull roarer and send him to the one responsible for this assault. No sooner does he step through the portal do the sentinels arrive. They appear to look at Gateway, but do not attack him. Back Gateway's, in New York. Oh, Gateway's, a weird, Gateway's a weird character. 
Uh, yeah, I was never into him. <laughs> I, I think they, I, I think that they eventually revealed that he had some sort of a relationship, not a relationship, but he was related to Bishop. I think that's uh, revealed much later on here. But just his very, um, his very presence always kind of unsettled me. Um, I, he's never been a villain, but he, he just. You know, like that weird ominous feeling you get when the Watcher is around. You know, That's, yeah. Like you're sp- like when we see the Watcher, we know that stuff's up. You know, something mm-hmm. big is going down here. Uh, it's it's funny, even not to go off on too much of a tangent here. Uh, when I read uh, JLA Avengers, you know, there was scenes of like the JLA and the Avengers on the same panel. And it's like, OK, that's cool. But then like the Watcher shows up in the DC universe and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's, 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 that's an ominous sign here. Anytime I see Gateway, he's kind of he kind of makes me feel like the X-Men's version of that. It's yeah, I, I, it's probably a very silly uh, comparison, but it just feels like, OK, something might happen here because there's Gateway. Yeah, I never really knew what they were aiming for with that character because, you know, he pretty much doesn't speak, or at least yeah. for a long time he didn't. And I just thought to myself, well, it's great to have a character that has, like, a teleportation power that can, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But I just thought to myself, like, what were you originally aiming for with this character? Like, was that it? Like, because yeah. that's pretty, pretty dull. <laughs> like, was he just there to disturb us? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's wild. I never, like I said, never really got him. But, you know, I guess if you need to get from point A to point B, that's what you got. You got to have somebody like that. You do. <laughs> now, we go back to New York and uh, Trevor Fitzroy is just having his way with the Hellions. Right off the bat, he kills two of them. Jetstream and uh, poor, poor beef. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you name a, when you're creating characters and you want to name one beef, I don't know, but uh, he's dead, so it doesn't matter. Now, Frost and the X-Men, they go on the offensive, however, and um, the army, I'm sorry, the armor that Fitzroy's wearing protects him. This silly-looking armor actually protects him from any psychic attacks. So all of their onslaught here is uh, pretty much moot. Suddenly, though, Donald Pierce arrives on the scene, popping out of that very same portal he, uh, you know, just stepped through over with a gateway. Unfortunately, though, he's followed by a whole bunch of, like, ramshackle-looking sentinels. Uh, Now, the X-Men and the Hellions, they team up to battle back the bots. In the fracas, however, Emma Frost is struck dead. Somehow. The art here is not clear at all. She's just, like, it looks like she's standing up, but, like, uh, I think it's Empath, the, uh, the Hellion Empath, is, like, She's she's just so still. She's dead, but it looks like she's standing. I don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 not a good one there. <laughs> no, no, it's very very bizarre. I, I think the perspective was a little bit off here. Mm. But uh, now the X Men Hellion Alliance continues to fight the good fight while Trevor Fitzroy kind of just watches. He looks on. Now uh, after engaging in a divide and, divide and conquer approach. It all comes down to a two on one confrontation between a pair of the Sentinels and. Jean Grey. Now, with one final desperate attempt, Jean does uh, something psychic-y, I think. Uh, (laughs) We'll find out more about this next issue, but for people who are just reading this one, you you have very little idea what she did. And uh, even, you know, even having read the the next issue, I'm still like, this is silly. Uh, Now, the Sentinels, they approach her prone body and say, oh, she's dead, and they retreat. 
Trevor Fitzroy looks on. He's satisfied because he knows that he just racked up a whole lot of upstart points. And, uh, you know, good on him. He, uh, he, sure, uh, he sure did. <laughs> and uh, the issue comes to a close with Colossus carrying Gene's lifeless body out of the club while Senator Robert Kelly rushes on the scene to give the heroes some grief. Uh, huh. Now it's been a it's been a long time since you've read this one, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, I like how you got to throw in the obligatory idiot politician there at the end. That's, <laughs> of course, <laughs> you got to do that because we can't forget where they came from. Um, now, what what were your uh, what were your, do you remember how you felt the first time you read this? Um, I'm sure I cannot remember, but I am sure I thought it was cool okay and that might disturb some people but when i first started reading comics i was i got sucked in by a big time sure. so like i said spider-man and x-men and all the x titles i was reading them i thought they were the greatest thing ever i mean yeah obviously you know you, you get to read other stuff and you know years later you look back on certain things you thought were <laughs> cool it's like you know the people that were wearing you know bell-bottom <laughs> pants yep. probably thought they were cool at the time too and now they look back and be like what was i thinking but <laughs> Um, yeah, this, I mean, this is definitely not, uh, the X-Men's finest hour and no. not Will's Partacio's finest hour <laughs> or anybody else involved with this one. So it's tough. It, it is. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up, uh, Portacio here. Cause this, I've really, I've really never been a fan of Will's Portacio. I, I find, uh, I find that he is kind of like, if you took all the image artists and you, you put them in a blender and you hit, you know, puree or whatever. I think uh-huh. Wills Portacio would come out because I think he it feels like he has like the worst uh, the worst traits or the worst um, habits of all of them together. Like you can see like a lot of scratchiness, a lot of excessive line work, a lot of distorted anatomy. It just seems like he got the worst qualities of the entire image founding base. Uh-huh. And I, I might be speaking out of turn there, but I, I just never really. I never really appreciated the way that this looked, especially when you compare it to Jim Lee's work on X-Men. It just always seemed kind of like less than and uh, just not not my favorite. Not my favorite at all. Yeah, looking back to me, I think Jim Lee's the clear head and shoulders above everyone else from all the image guys. It's not even close. Uh, But yeah, this is is pretty rough. And like you said, Mm. it's just... There are certain panels you can't tell what's even going on. It's true. You know, like it's just it's it's really this is this is a tough one to go back and look at and think, wow, this is great. Like it's like, uh, yeah. And like I said, <laughs> going forward too, it's like it doesn't get a whole lot clearer sometimes. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to get clearer until uh until the change of direction until image starts. And in yeah. fact, it's not gonna. This is going to be. This is going to be a toughie um, mm-hmm. to, to get through. This, like you said, this is not the X Men's finest hour, um, but it does have a, it does have a certain nostalgic quality to it. But I think you know that's just nostalgia. <laughs> that doesn't really Absolutely. that doesn't really adjust for uh, for quality. Um, and here I'm looking at the the cover here. The cover looks fine. Uh, I don't like Storm's face on the cover. Uh, it's it's just more of those those image trappings where everybody has to be screaming. And uh, that's another. <laughs> that's just something I don't get. A lot of teeth grinding in here. It's. Uh, I don't know. Um, do you think this was hurt in any way by not being a number one? 
I would, I'd say probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would. I'd say probably. It, it, you know, you just when you go in a completely, you know, different direction or new characters or something like that, you're really catching people off guard. Whereas, you know, you get, hey, we have a new number one coming out, and you get a little chatter. This is what it's going to be about. You know, you, you go into it knowing what to expect, even just a tiny bit. Yeah. So I think that would have helped for sure. But yeah, I mean. I guess they could have had another X book <laughs> and that started a number one, but you know, yeah, it's, it's tough. Like I said, the cover it's, I think it's like well-intentioned. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have Colossus looking one way, Gene looking the opposite way. They're both making the same face. They are. And, just, <laughs> and then storm looking like right at the reader doing yeah, this screaming at face. Them. Yeah. And then yeah. Iceman, he looks, I think he looks pretty awful. <laughs> he does. He looks like a complete goof there. That's like that's just not good. Like, ooh. I guess Archangel probably looks the best out of everybody there. If I had to <laughs> pick somebody like, yeah, Colossus. My gosh, he looks like he has muscles on top of muscles on top of it's muscles brutal, under his arms. Yeah, yeah he's, his armpit gosh. has is just like <laughs> I don't know what. I mean, I, I've been trying to get back in the gym lately, but I would not know what to do if I had to work out my armpit. Like, what yeah, do you I mean, even? What do you lift? How do you lift it? <laughs> What how does he, he how does he wash how does he keep clean <laughs> how does he fit through doors i mean it's yeah it's, Ooh, man. he looks ill he looks like uh like he's got some sort of a virus but uh now between the two x teams here um i was talking with uh with jody about x-men volume two number one uh, that's mm-hmm. a little bit earlier in the episode here and uh we were talking about how <laughs> When the blue team, when the blue team, you know, they hit the ground, it's like, hey, it's all the cool ones. Yeah. You know, because it was Wolverine, Cyclops, Gambit, Beast. This team just feels a lot less than. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to compare Wolverine to Archangel? I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I know it's it's probably a lot less fashionable these days to like Wolverine because uh, I, I think uh, the smart comic fans are, are supposed to we're supposed to be better than that but uh i'm not gonna lie wolverine's a pretty cool character and uh, mm-hmm. especially back back in the day uh, under jim lee's pencil and stuff i mean that's that's good stuff but uh this team always felt like it was sort of just an also ran mm-hmm. and certainly didn't carry the sense of urgency or uh or any of the uh any of the importance as the uh, as volume two did and right. I, I, I don't know. I, I hate to suggest that they needed a new number one for this, but uh, I, I agree that it probably would have helped um, because I think part of it, uh, especially growing up right at that time and a- actually diving into the comics, just like you were right around that time, having a full run of Uncanny X-Men just seemed like an impossibility, you know, and it wasn't right. going to be it wasn't going to be a top priority, whereas you know, I started collecting X-Men Volume 2 with issue number 13. So it's like, oh, I just got to get 12 books. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it wasn't the end of the world. It was something that was attainable. But, I mean, Uncanny was at issue like 294, 295. It's like, there's no way. Uh-huh. Like, I, I'm, I'm a 12-year-old idiot. And you're old idiot or something like that. It's like, oh, there's no way I'm getting 200 and something issues. You know, going right. back to 1963. So I, I think I always just placed a lesser emphasis on this book, and um, that might just be me projecting, but uh, I, I really just don't see any sense of urgency here because we have – what we have here is 
on its face, it's a lot more urgent than 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 X Men Volume Two Number One. I mean, we've got deaths here. We have deaths on top of deaths on top of deaths. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, for all intents and purposes, Jean Grey is dead, right? Mm-hmm. As we leave this issue, and that that should be a pretty big deal. But in reading it then and now, it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> Well, it's especially just, it, since she had been dead and come back already once. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even then, I did. I didn't know that. I, I didn't. I, yeah, I, I new didn't reader. Yeah, any of that stuff. Yeah. Then. So it's just, but it just didn't feel like it was something that was going to matter. Even you know, uh, the White Queen dies, and 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 poor, poor Beef dies. I yeah. just, uh, just don't see any urgency in it. But, but with uh, Volume Two, Number One, it was just. I don't know. It just felt a whole lot more important. And I don't know if that's because of the number one. I don't know if it's because of the it's a, a team that I liked better, uh, the cooler team or or what. But uh, yeah, this just always felt short. Well, you know what? I think looking back to I think Marvel made such a big deal out of that number one. They, they a, really lifted that one up. And, it yeah. you know, in doing so, that kind of pushed everything else down. Got to be. And, and it's funny because, like, you look at that one and it's got the uh it's got the variant covers you look at x-force and it's got the cards this mm-hmm. didn't get anything no <laughs> this this just got this just got the same this the, the same cover and and you know while on the subject here i i meant to ask you this earlier on here what was your cover of x-men volume two number one what cover did you get uh initially i think i just bought the magneto cover okay that, that's, which... that's that's a rare one yeah yeah, and then I and at first I didn't even realize there were such a thing as you know A B C D cover okay. kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I saw one of the other covers and I thought, wait a minute, why does this say number one too? So I, <laughs> I go flipping it open and I'm like, it's the same story. And then I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, but it looks really cool. I'm gonna get this one too. So I ended up getting all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't know. I I thought there was the wraparound cover and I. Th- I th- I knew the wraparound cover existed, but then I thought it, the only other one was the Wolverine and Cyclops cover. Mm-hmm. I, I thought those were the only two issues. I didn't know that there was a Magneto. I didn't know that there was the other the other characters here. So yeah, um, I couldn't afford the you know monumental like you know three bucks for uh, for the wraparound. So I, I bought yeah. the, the Cyclops and Wolverine cover, and I I probably paid like four or five bucks for that when I did it. But uh, that's a uh, <laughs> that's just a sign of the times. Do mm-hmm. you? Uh, you happen to recall what card you got with X Force number one? Um. Oh boy. If I had to guess, I would say maybe it was. It wasn't Cable. <laughs> it was somebody a little more ancillary than him. Was it Shatterstar? Uh, it may have been because you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been someone that was a relatively new character. So it probably was Shatterstar. Might it have been Sunspot and friggin' Gideon? <laughs> oh, Gideon. Oi, oi. <laughs> yeah, uh, me, me and Hero are going to have a good time talking about old Gideon pretty soon. Oh, good luck. Yeah, I mean, his hairstyle's back in style now. It's it is. It's funny, I think. Yeah, so he'll be... Uh, <laughs> he'll get, he's going to get his own uh, He's going to get his own limited series pretty soon, knowing Marvel. Uh, yeah, man. And you know something? Uh, back to this cover. The more I sure. look at it, what a car crash. This is... A, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the stupid faces, Jean, like, puffing out her breasts, and then Colossus right below her, like, uh, those aren't breasts, these are breasts, because oh, his are boy. three times the size of hers. It's uh, insane. I mean, they're not cap, you know, Liefeld cap breasts, but no. they're, they're 
they're pretty ridiculous to his. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like his 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 pecs are like twice the size of his head. They are, which, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's not a pleasant cover. I mean, it's one that it'll give you the nostalgia chills and uh, it might bring you to a, a nice, more innocent time in your life or a mm-hmm. more speculatory time in your life. But it's mm-hmm. if you analyze it, it's not a not, not wonderful. <laughs> it's not the greatest. I mean, and uh, by the way, anybody listening, send your hate mail to Chris. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Will. <laughs> Like you said, though, I can look at this and read it and be like, oh, yeah, cool. That's when I, you know, was like a, a newer reader and was jacked up about comics. But sure. you, you try to take a critical eye to things and it's like, yeah, it really doesn't, you know, it, it hold hold up over the years very well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, going back to I, I hate going back to volume two because I shouldn't be comparing the two. They are apples and oranges. But uh, the last time I flipped through volume two and I, I talked about this with Jody as well. I was just struck by the sheer amount of just iconic panels, you know, uh-huh. like you have like Wolverine in the sewer, you have Magneto standing there with his arm out. You have all these just iconic panels that like I can close my eyes and I can picture them so vividly. Yeah. I don't get that here. No, I, there's, there's very, very little in the way of iconic here. Um, it's just very, I hate to use the term messy, but it, it the, the entire thing just feels very messy. It feels very uh, rushed. It feels very frantic. And, uh, chaotic. <laughs> it's chaotic. It is chaotic. And it just doesn't it, it doesn't tell a great story. No. And you, by the way, chaos is one of my favorite words. So <laughs> we'll just let that go at that. <laughs> but this is a. Uh, this gets uh, you know all the bad qualities of chaos here, all the maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe the unspectacular qualities of a, yep, <laughs> a sure. but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I I hope you I hope you know what you uh, signed on for. Uh, with these mm-hmm. Well, you know the good thing is though I know eventually it turns around. It does. Well, it will. It will. It'll it'll take a complete change of the uh, of the creative team because yep. poor John Burns gonna run away uh, really really quick oh. and. Uh, and Jim, Jim and Wills are going to uh, go find their fame and fortune elsewhere. So uh, huh? we'll be left with uh, with Mr. Lobdell and uh, Mr. Romita and uh, the Cubits will show up. So it'll be a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, you know, something tells me that Gene's going to get better pretty quick. So yeah. uh, we don't have to really, really worry about that here. Um, you know, I think my, my main takeaway from this entire issue is – just and I said this earlier. Just what a missed opportunity the uh, the upstarts were. I, I, I really think because yeah, you think about it, about a about two years after this, they start this legacy virus thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where they start by you know they start killing kind of secondary mutants. You know, you'll you'll lose we'll lose Pyro for a minute. We'll lose uh, Magic for a minute. Mm-hmm. I I think it would have been just so much more effective had they actually started letting these upstarts kill people yeah i think like the most what the the highest profile name is freaking beef mm-hmm. is that the highest profile <laughs> uh, I, I think shinobi might have killed sebastian for a minute but i mean 
just such a such a missed opportunity. I, I was hoping uh, that when uh, was it Bill Jemis and uh, Joe Casada took over and they they were they were really getting like experimental with their titles and stuff. Right. I just thought upstarts were just such a, an awesome, uh, uh, just an idea to to mine and play with. And even if it was just like a, like a four issue miniseries, you know, about the upstarts, just to give us something like that, because they were giving us weird stuff like that back then. Yeah. And uh, but alas, it was uh, it was not to be. And instead, uh, you know, Claremont came back and gave us the Neo. And uh, it, it, you know, well, it. it oh. <laughs> Good God, Will, and we'll, we'll be talking about the Neo probably in like 15 years. So, there's that. <laughs> what would your what would your main takeaway from Uncanny X Men 281 be? Uh, R.I.P. Beef. <laughs> Poor Beef. You know, uh, over on over on Moratory Mondays we do uh, we do you know eulogies for characters. So if if anybody has any thoughts for Beef, uh, please send them to us, and we will. Uh, Read them on the air, and uh, we will have a, a, a nice old uh, memorial service for uh, the man known as Beef. The last I, poor Beef, I didn't know you very well. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I couldn't. Last poor Beef, I, I couldn't pick you out of a lineup. Sorry, pal. I, I think you were big because your name was Beef. Uh, now before, before we jam out, uh, how about you, uh, you plug yourself? Okay, so yeah, if anybody's looking to find me, go to Twitter. I'm on there constantly. It's a little bit of an addiction, and I'm trying to get help. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, Billy D underscore Licious, and that is really creepy. But it's it's I'm not creepy on there. I'm very positive, looking to talk comics. But uh, yeah, at Billy D underscore Licious, and my name's Doc Strange. And who's that on your avatar? Is that uh... Peter Cushing? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I had to, I'm just I'm zooming in my screen now because I've seen it a million times, but I, <laughs> I never yeah. thought to ask who it is. So he's having some tea. Yeah, I'm a huge Hammer tea. fan, huge Peter Cushing fan, huge fan of you know Hammer horror films from uh, back way back in the day. Huge fan, so love Peter Cushing. And Billy's a great follow, so if you're not following him already, give him a look. But uh, I think that's all we've got for Uncanny from here. Uh, I don't know what's coming next. It might be X Factor. Maybe we'll jump to X Factor next. We'll have to see what happens mm. after uh, whatever <laughs> divider I put in here. We'll see where we wind up. So uh, thanks for coming on, Billy. And uh, we will uh, we will do this again next time. And we're gonna meet Bishop next time out. So that's a pretty big deal. We might want to uh, get the segment slabbed, bagged, and boarded because uh, I think this is gonna be a valuable one, at least in the short term. Mm, yep a true believer i'm a true believer (laughs) (laughs) thanks again sir thanks for having me on chris thanks for the tumble storm we ought to wrestle more often all righty now it's time for x factor number 71 it's uh i don't want to say this is like the the second tier of the x books from this month but uh well it ain't the flagship and uh and it ain't uh, Marvel Comics Presents. So it's somewhere in the middle there. And I am joined by uh, Jeremiah. How you doing this uh, this fine month? I am well, thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Now, uh, X-Factor. This is a book that uh, I didn't know was a thing back in the day. Uh, this is a book that you've actually discovered before, way before I even knew it was a thing. Uh, t- tell me about how you first came across the title of X-Factor. So my brother was reading X-Men, New Mutants, mm-hmm. um, Alpha Flight, mm-hmm. and when X-Factor came out, he bought that. Um, I read a lot of the things he bought, um, 
and that's how I got into it. Uh, the, you know, the original five team. Sure, uh, sure. Fall of the Mutants, Apocalypse, that kind of stuff. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, because I, I've I've said it before. Uh, I only experienced X Factor during the Executioner Song crossover. So I remember sorting my books uh, during those months. You know, just putting them in order of. Uh, of chapters for executioner songs so i knew how to read them or whatever because i reread comics a hundred times over back then because i only had a handful and that's what you did so sure. uh i i remember looking and seeing like x-men was on number 14 and x-force was on number 16 and then i get the x-factor and it's like on number 80 something I, I couldn't believe that there were 80 issues of this book i had assumed that it was just a new launch just like x-force and x-men volume 2 and then, I mean, when I find out that, like you said, the original five, it was it was Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, and Jean Grey as the team. And yep. I thought I thought this was, you know, Cyclops's little brother's team. I never knew that this was actually at one time Cyclops's team. So it's uh, it was very interesting. And before long, X Factor became like my X Men book because, well, it was the cheap one. You know, you could find this book in back issue bins for like two bucks each, where uh, if you look at X-Men or X-Force, these were like five dollar books and they just come out. You know, uh, sure. it was just insane, the the, uh, the speculation. But, you know, you could buy two or three issues of X-Factor from the mid to late 80s for the same price as one issue of X-Force. So x-factor kind of by de facto became the book that i wanted to get a full set of and uh and, and i have in in the you know in the interim of course but uh you know before we go any further something i'm asking all of our guest hosts here all of our co-hosts i should say because you guys are all coming back hopefully um which x-men number one cover did you get I bought the um, pull-out one, the gateway one that has the all the around? pictures together. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and and but you didn't get that at the time, right? No, I was not buying comics at the time. There was a couple years right around when this was released when I wasn't. So I picked this up. I don't remember for how much. I don't think it was a dollar, but I don't think it was more than two or three. Okay. Okay, and uh, how about X Force number one? We're we're asking everybody where which card they got because uh, I got Sunspot and friggin' Gideon, so I want to know what everybody else got. It's funny. I just bought a copy of that out of the dollar bins this summer at the Boston Comic Con um, <laughs> to show it to my buddy, and I pull, either pulled the Deadpool or the Cable card. I think it was the Cable card. Nice. nice. Yeah. So back in the day, that was. That was like the card, you know, the cable card was the one you wanted to get. And uh, nowadays, I don't think anybody cares about the cable card. It's all about the Deadpool card if you can get it. And I think I bought my brother a copy um, back probably like 97, 98, because uh, it was, you know, a quarter dollar bin book. You know, it was just always around. Nobody cared about yeah. X-Force. Nobody cared about anybody in it. And it was the Deadpool card. And, and, I, and I gave it to him because... I was a big Deadpool fan back then, you know, before it was cool to be a Deadpool okay. fan. And uh, I thought it would be a cool one for him to have. And now he's got the valuable one and I've got Sunspot and friggin Gideon. So, <laughs> which is a, uh, which is something you'll hear us talk about in a different segment, which, uh, oof, that's a toughie. That's a toughie to get through. <laughs> <laughs> and now you mentioned that this was a time you weren't reading comics. Uh, 
how long was this span that you were kind of out of the game? Because it's it's weird because, uh, you know, between you and uh, also Reggie, you know, you guys both stopped around the time I came in. And uh, I always think that's interesting to have that odd overlap where, you know, the things are talking to me, but they're not talking to the people who were enjoying them before, you know. So uh, when when did you stop? I probably stopped and not really consciously, but um, right around 89, 90, my mm-hmm. junior year of high school. Um, and it was just because. There was other things to spend my money on at the time, <laughs> hanging out with friends, you know, going sure. to play pool, that kind of thing. And then I probably restarted in 92, 93 when the um, Frank Miller uh, Daredevil uh, Man Without Fear miniseries came out. Okay, with the Romita Jr. art. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now, uh, was were these X-Men books ever on your radar? Because that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm happy that you're a part of this is because, I mean, you're reading this for the first time. Am I am I correct? Yes, the, I, this is the first time I've read this series. Excellent. My brother was he was reading X-Men, um, around Executioner Song probably yeah. before that. So I may have read you know a couple of his things here and there, but. I was not paying attention to them at this time, no. Very cool. So I think you're going to have a very interesting perspective here, uh, because uh, which is something that I was really hoping to do with this program, just have different levels of experience with this era, because uh, this is an era that I wish I could, uh, you know, relive for the first time all over again, just to see how it, just to see how I would receive it as a grown up, uh, because this. When this came out, I was 11 years old, so this was right up my alley. And uh, I don't know how, you know, 39-year-old Chris would, <laughs> would really <laughs> receive, you know, the the just the mishmash of X books uh, from 1991 now. But, uh, you know, let's get into X Factor number 71. It had a cover date of October 91, just like everything we're discussing today. You want to give us the credits? Sure. So it was written by Peter David with art by uh, Larry Stroman and inks by Al Milgram. Letterer was Michael Hessler, colorist, colorist, Glennis Oliver. Bob Harris was the editor and the EIC was Tom DeFalco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was, uh, had a dollar cover price, just like everything else. And uh, it was called Cutting the Mustard. Now, our story begins uh, with introducing Guido, Lorna Dane, and Jamie Madrox while they're having lunch together. They're uh, they're in a gigantic room, which I don't think has a ceiling, um, and they're making sandwiches. And uh, we open with a Grey Poupon reference, which I, I don't know if that's something we need to explain, because, <laughs> because, you know, back then you knew what the Grey Poupon reference was all about, but... Yep. I mean, in 2019, do, do, do people remember? I mean, do, do the kids these days know what, you know, Grey Poupon is all about? Do you, I'm sure you remember those commercials. Of, of course I remember it. I, the, you know, the limousine and the British guys and all yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I don't think that's a joke that's carried through to the past, you know, 20 years or what, what have you. That's that's funny because I'm wondering, like, if there were pop culture references in – like a book in like 1976 that, you know, people who grew up around that time get right away. And then like, if I read it, I'd be like, well, what are they talking about? You know, what, what is, what is dino might all about, you know? Yeah. But, uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, Guido does ask for some gray poupon. And uh, Lorna says, but of course, and, and gives it to him. Uh, now, Jamie is fiddling with like a mayonnaise jaw. Says he can't get it opened, and that we're going to see this mayonnaise jar all throughout this issue. Uh, we've got Lorna sitting there, and she's kind of concerned about seeing Alex. Um, referring to, of course, Alex Summers, Havoc. Because uh, she knows that uh, that he might be a part of this little unit before long. And, uh, you know, what? Do you, this is the first time, you, or is this the first time you're seeing Larry Stroman on art? I want to say yes. Okay. Um, his his name certainly doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so first impressions, what do you got? I liked it quite a bit. When I was <laughs> going into this book, thinking it's going to be a 90s book, <laughs> I wasn't exactly thinking the art was going to be um, the kind of thing I'm into. I sure. tend to shun 90s art to a certain extent just because I don't find it that interesting. But <laughs> this this art... It really, it really grabbed me. Um, mm-hmm. It, uh, it's very stylized. You know, the, the proportions are crazy, and the Al, Mil- Al Milgram's inks are heavy. Um, but I dig the way he does Lorna on a couple mm-hmm. of these panels. Uh, reminds me of. Do you remember those posters from the 80s? It would be a woman's face, and there'd be big red lips and heavy eye makeup and mm-hmm. pastel hairs. I look, I, it reminded me of that. So I looked up the guy's name that did a lot of them was Sid Brack. Yep. And I actually had a poster where, you know, the woman had a, a cherry by the stem in her mouth and it, okay. You know, real silly stuff <laughs> when you look back on it, but that's the way some of these big portrait shots um, look to me. Like they could be posters, that kind of thing. No, that's a, that's definitely a great comparison because I because you, you actually sent me off the air. You told me about uh, Sid Brack. I looked I looked him up and it, yeah, you, you couldn't be more right. It's uh, it looks a lot like that. It's very evocative of that style and just the sort of abstract, sort of uh, you know uh, disproportionate, very very stylized, like you said. And uh, you know the comparison that I can make, and and it's not a uh, it's not an aesthetic comparison. But, uh, you know, reading the four main Superman books uh, back then, you had uh, you had very, very classic, clean comic art. And then you had John Bogdanov, who was, uh, you know, big, bulky, bombastic Superman, you know, very blocky. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was just it was just very different. It was like almost jarring when you'd go from chapter to chapter during those triangle era years where it's like you're following a story that has this clean, crisp art. And then all of a sudden it's a little bit more experimental. Back then I hated it. Now I like it. Just like with uh, just like with Strowman here. Back then I hated this. I thought this was like uh, just too weird for me because I, I, you know, I, I came in with Jim Lee, and mm-hmm. you know, Jim Lee is, you know, the he, he's like the the perfectly posed, uh, not not so much proportionate, uh, realistically anyway, but perfectly posed characters uh, that you could identify in in a snap where with Strowman it is it is a little all over the place but I have grown to appreciate it now back then hated it now I I kind of dig it and I feel like oddly it, it, it might have aged better than anything else that was going on back then uh, maybe it's just uh, the fact that I kind of gotten more accustomed to experimental art but uh 
Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, you know, before we get any further here, I just want to introduce some of our characters here in case anybody doesn't know them. I assume everybody knows who these people are if you're listening to this program. But, uh, you know, uh, I beg your indulgence, I guess. <laughs> We've got Madrox the Multiple Man. He first appeared in Giant Size Fantastic Four number four, February 1975 cover date. He was created by Claremont, uh, Len Wein, and John Buscema. Now, his gimmick is that he can multiply, and uh, the story is that he was born, the doctor slapped him on the butt, and he multiplied. Uh, it doesn't really jive with, you know, the mutant gene kind of coming out at puberty, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's a funny enough story, so we'll just let it go. Now, he uh, there was a tragedy at the Madrox home, and Jamie goes to New York, and he meets with Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four. He passes him over to Professor X, who passes Jamie over to Maura McTaggart. And so Jamie's hooked up on Muir Island. He would join up with the Fallen Angels for a very boring eight-issue limited series that ran from April 1987 through November 1987 cover dates. And this was a uh, very strange little team. It had the the villain, the Vanisher, was part of it. The Gomi, Ariel, Chance, those uh, you know characters we love so much. Uh, also, Sunspot, Siren, Boom Boom, Moon Boy, Devil Dinosaur, and Warlock. And this is the, you know, Phalanx, Technarch, Warlock, not Adam. Um, we later learned that this is not the real Jamie in in uh, Fallen Angels, but it uh, doesn't really matter. After the Muir Island saga, Jamie joins up with X-Factor. So It's funny. We got Guido. We will eventually... Go ahead. I was just going to say that I started that Fallen Angels thing and I didn't finish it. It was boring. <laughs> so I didn't know that it wasn't the real Jamie there. Yeah, I, I don't know if they I don't know if they actually revealed it in Fallen Angels or if it was something after Fallen Angels to contradict something that happened in that miniseries. That I think I've only read through it once, but I've tried rereading it over and again and it, I never make it past like an issue or two. It's it's very dull. Um, actually, as we record this now, there is another Fallen Angel series coming out as part of this Dawn of X stuff, and uh, it's not bad. Um, it, it might be the weaker of all the new X-Men titles, but uh, it's not as boring as that old one. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also have Guido Caracello, who we will soon know as Strong Guy. Now, he first appeared in New Mutants number 29, July 1985, cover date. He was created by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. Now, he first appeared as the bodyguard for the uh, mutant rock star Lila Cheney. And, uh, well, he joins X-Factor after the Muir Island Saga. We're going to be talking about the Muir Island Saga, or at least mentioning the Muir Island Saga, a whole lot this week. Um, also, Polaris, real name Lorna Dane. She first appeared in X-Men number 49 back in October 1968. She was created by Arnold Drake and Don Heck. Uh, she was identified as a mutant by Cerebro, and her powers first emerged when she was under the control of the villain Mesmero. Now, throughout her entire existence, there's this odd, is she or isn't she Magneto's daughter thing going on. I think at present she is, <laughs> but uh, Magneto seems to gain and lose children at the uh, the writer's whim a lot, but uh, who knows. Uh, now, she had a little to-do in the Savage Land, and... Uh, became magnetrix or magnetrix uh, and eventually she joined the x-men uh, uh she would uh, get taken captive by krakoa during the giant size dealy and uh she would take the polaris name while uh, under the control of another person here and this was the shiar agent eric the red she along with alex would hit it off and uh they had a weird love triangle with iceman which uh 
you know, retroactively is a, is a little bit weirder, but uh, they both seem to want to get with Polaris. Uh, this was played up pretty heavily during that John Byrne Hidden Years series that came out around the turn of the century as well. Um, now Lorna would go under the control of the Marauder Malice. She's always under control of somebody. Uh, she would grow real big. She would go back to normal. She got tied up with someone named Zala Dane, who might be her sister because they both have Dane at the end of their name. I don't know. Um, Your Island Saga happens. She's here in X Factor. Back to the story. We move to Genosha, where we have Val Cooper trying to recruit Alex Summers for this new X Factor team. He ain't keen on joining because he would rather rebuild uh, homes for mutants on the island because this is all after uh, the X the extinction agenda. Are you familiar with the extinction agenda? I am not. I know okay. it was bad, but I mean bad for the mutants. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was bad in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> now the the gimmick there was uh, you had Cameron Hodge who. Uh, if you read with the X Factor with the original five, Cameron Hodge was Warren Worthington's pal who kind of bankrolled or kind of was like the the corporate face of X Factor while they were hunting mutants. But all along, he was a bad guy, and it was eventually revealed, and he stabbed them in the back. And uh, he took up in Genosha. He got, you know, the techno-organic virus. Uh, he started looking like a phalanx before there were phalanxes. Um bunch of people died um storm went bald for some reason it was a very weird thing here um i think maybe retroactively the most notable thing is like you know cable and wolverine first cross paths there and uh yeah but uh, you know i i wouldn't tell you to run out and read it if you if you haven't already <laughs> but uh genosha got destroyed and uh alex is here trying to rebuild it and uh, Alex, you know, Alex Summers, of course, he is the brother of Scott Cyclops Summers. He first appeared in X-Men number 54, March 1969, cover date. He was also a Drake and Heck guy. Um, he, just like his brother, was tossed out of an airplane by his parents because their plane came under the attack of a Shi'ar battleship. Naturally, they had a parachute. They didn't just jump. Um, now, he'd meet the original X-Men after earning his degree in geophysics. He'd get kidnapped by the living monolith, or the living pharaoh, if you will, uh, who feared that Alex's mutant power might rival his own one day. He joined the X-Men alongside uh, Lorna and uh, was on and off with Lorna and also on and off with the X-Men. Uh, he would come back during like the Outback X-Men days after they were you know, presumed dead. Uh, he would en eventually enter the Siege Perilous, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, when he came out the other end, he was an amnesiac in Genosha, and he worked his way up to being a high-ranking magistrate or magistrate in the Genosian army. He'd eventually come back to his senses, and uh, here we are in X-Factor. Okay, now back to the story. Uh, suddenly, an I-beam snaps from its supports and plummets towards Val and Alex. Alex just plows the thing with an energy blast, and uh, just then, Rain Sinclair, who I always called Ronnie Sinclair growing up, uh, leaps into the scene, pushing the other Summers brother out of the way. Val Cooper doesn't even flinch. Uh, she says she wasn't scared in the slightest because she knew Alex would do the right thing. We jump back to Washington, D.C., where Quicksilver arrives, and uh, he does so with the only inhuman I ever cared about, Lockjaw. Now... You say that you didn't care about the Inhumans, but I'm actually a big fan. Um, <clears throat> you might they, be the first person I ever spoke to who uh, <laughs> who, was, who was claiming ownership of the Inhumans. 
I, I just I don't know what it is about them. I, just, I I dig them that they're kind of maybe they're underdogs, they're outcasts. I I like the character designs. Um, like Black Bolt, the idea of a king who can't speak to me is that it's just a great idea. He if if he says anything, he unleashes unspeakable horror upon his subjects. Mm-hmm. So the idea of him ruling or, you know, being in charge of a group of people on the dark side of the moon or wherever they happen to be. Um, I just find it interesting. And I like the other characters. Gorgon, <clears throat> I've got a a love of mythical creatures, like Gorgon's a satyr, half man, half goat. Um, the character design, I think, is excellent. Um, Karnak, yeah, his power... You know, he can find any weak spot or whatever. Yeah, I get it. That's a bit silly or whatever. (laughs) But he can be, when he's written well, he can be a nice counterpoint to Gorgon. You know, he's a bit more rational, a bit more Mm -hmm. in control of his feelings. Um, Triton, he's the weak one in my book. Do you really need a fish man on the moon? (laughs) It's true. It's true. Crystal, I dig because... Some of the better stories that I've read with the Inhumans are when they meet up with the Fantastic Four, their, mm-hmm. you know, adversaries or their allies. But Crystal and Johnny Storm kind of make a, a nice bridge mm-hmm. between the two groups. And then Lockjaw, he's just a giant dog. So how do you beat that? You know, you can't beat that. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I tried uh, getting into the Inhumans uh, when they did the uh, the Marvel Knights launch back in 98. And I think it was uh, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee who did yep. this uh, series. I just couldn't get into it. I, I wanted to because I was a, uh, you know, I was the Marvel zombie. I bought everything anyway, so I might as well try to read it and enjoy it. Couldn't get into it for the life of me. Um, I went back to uh, some of the Fantastic Four stuff, and, uh, you know, they I don't know what it was about these guys. I just didn't. And this is before I, I hated them for other reasons. You know, uh, <laughs> I just uh, they just kind of bored me. I think I just have a bias against uh, space characters, really. I, I don't uh, I don't find them interesting. I think. I can only suspend my disbelief to the point where a guy can fly. You know, when we start getting into space, <laughs> I just, uh, I just lose, uh, I lose any kind of, uh, relativity to it. It's, uh, you know, you think about that George Collin joke where it's like, you hear like there was a, a chemical plant exploded and like your ears perk up and then you find out it was like, oh, it was across the country. And you're like, ah, I don't care. You know, <laughs> it's too <laughs> far away for it to matter. And, uh, I just never saw the stakes with them. And then, you know, jumping into the past 10 years where they've just been stuffing them down our throats and at the expense of the X-Men. Uh, I, I, that's uh, that's something that I don't think I'll be able to get past because it was just so blatant. And uh, and I just find these characters to be uh, – I find them to be weak to begin with, but compared to the X-Men, I mean, who are the Inhumans? <laughs> I just uh, – I don't see strapping a rocket to them. I, I just I just don't get it. And I, I, I can understand that. I'm a big fan of the space characters. Um, I, I do enjoy those storylines, the cosmic mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I, I guess that's where, to me, that's where they thrive. I sure. didn't much care for the let's replace the X-Men with Inhumans. That was silly. Yeah, a very – and, I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about Quicksilver here who, like – 
they they kind of like made him into I, I did they make him an inhuman so he they can put him in movies or something because i know they made him not magneto's son anymore or were they miracles is that what they were calling them instead of mutants they were they were actually like a race called the miracles or something i don't remember what they called them in that first avengers movie mm. um the the whole recent things with the marvel movies the inhumans the tv shows and who has the rights to what i honestly can't follow at all <laughs> as far as i know he's still a mutant oh i hope so i hope so because i mean it's just, it, like it, it's just so silly and uh i can't follow it and I, I have very little interest in in the other media as it is but when we start to when we start to like argue continuity in something that i don't care about i it's like what <laughs> I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we are talking about Quicksilver here. Uh, his real name is uh, Pietro Maximoff, at least it was. Uh, first appearance, X-Men number four, way back March 1964, created by Stan and Jack. And at this point, X-Factor number 71, back in October 1991, he was still Magneto's son. So we're going to go with that, you know. Uh, there were no movies at that time, so what are you going to do? Uh, Quicksilver, he was part of Magneto's first Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, uh, but he did turn into a good guy pretty quick. He joined the Avengers when uh, there was a little roster shift where, uh, you know, Thor and Iron Man left and we were left with Cap's kooky quartet. Now, that was Avengers number 16, May 1965, cover date. Uh, he and his sister, the Scarlet Witch, would lose their powers and they were sent to Wondergore Mountain, which might be the only thing I find more boring than the Inhumans. Wondergore? <laughs> Ugh. It's a, I think it's just like a farm with that, that, that cow lady, and that's it? I don't know. <laughs> now, their powers came back, and so did they. Uh, Quicksilver would marry the Inhuman Crystal. Uh, together, they would have a daughter named Luna. And here he is in X-Factor, or about to join X-Factor. We're not officially there yet. But he is there to meet with X-Factor. Winds up in Washington, D.C., right in the middle of an anti-Roxxon demonstration. Now, Roxxon is like the premier uh, Marvel bad corporation. And uh, they're, uh, you know, they're they're pretty bad about everything. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're anti-union and I'm sure they're anti-environmentally uh, whatever the hell. And they're just bad dudes. Now, one of the protesters in this uh, little demonstration proclaims that Roxxon is, quote, raping the environment. And, uh, I mean, this is 1991, and they're they're using the word raping, which I, I don't know if I've seen it in, like, a mainstream superhero comic uh, this early on. It it does feel quite – makes the comic seem a bit more mature. It's not a word that I would have come across um, earlier in comics, for sure, that I can recall. One thing of note I, that I'm just realizing, mm-hmm. Roxxon is not – let not a unsubtle play on Exxon. Yeah. Even oh, absolutely. Looking, <laughs> even looking at the logo, I'm seeing that it's Exxon. And I'm like, <laughs> you're just realizing this now? Come on. <laughs> now, no, Quicksilver, he's, he's in this mess of humanity here, and he's informed that there's a bomb about to go off. And so he rushes into action in order to take care of it. You know, he uses his super speed and he finds and deactivates the boom box before it goes boom. From here, we shift back to Genosha. Do you say Genosha or Genosha? Genosha. Genosha. Okay, good. Yeah. So do I. I, I. I have talked to people who have said Genosha, though. Now, and, but then again, I, I say Ronnie instead of Rain. So what do I know? <laughs> 
So Alex, Rain, and Val, they're chatting about what this new X Factor can be, what it can offer to them as members. Alex is still, he's steadfast in his refusal. He does not want to, you know, get back into the superheroing game, which prompts the arrival of Professor Xavier and Cyclops to try to convince him. And, uh, I mean, if you read some of the Silver Age stuff, it seems like Professor X was, uh, he was pretty fast and loose with the old mind wipe, you know? I, I, I wonder if he was uh, going to use that here if, if worse came to worse. Uh, thankfully, that didn't come to pass uh, because they told him Lorna's there, so he's like, all right, we'll do it. Uh, speaking of Lorna, back in Washington, D.C., she answers a door knock. There's a knock on their uh, ceilingless uh, penthouse, whatever. And on the other side of the door, it's Quicksilver. He's finally found his way over, but he ain't looking too hot. Now, once he's inside this ridiculously high-ceilinged room, he faints straight away. Guido carries him over to the couch. Some time passes, and we get a gag about the Inhumans convincing Ben Grimm, that's the thing, that Lockjaw was a humanoid that became a dog instead of just, you know, being a dog. Now, was this a running joke... Or was this a joke that they just put in here? Because I feel like this is a urban myth that I've heard before. And I don't mean when I listen to your show when you discuss this issue. I mean, like, this is something I can remember thinking. Guys, guys, Lockjaw is a human. He just looks like a dog. He can talk. But is this the first time that this came up or... I don't know, because it feels like a Mandela effect sort of situation where it's like I could swear that Lockjaw, that I've read, you know, the verifiable proof that Lockjaw was, you know, was was a humanoid. You know, he was yep. he was able to he was just like the rest of them, just uh, transformed into a dog or whatever. I it's very, very strange. Uh, I don't know if this was uh, maybe lampshading that urban myth or maybe this is what started the urban myth. But uh yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like I feel like it's uh, like one of those things that might have come up like in a in like a Ben Grimm poker game uh, issue or something. Exactly. And it, yeah, and it just kept coming back. But uh, or maybe this is maybe them this this is Marvel drawing a line under that. It's like no, no, he's no longer a guy who was <laughs> who was turned into a dog. Now he's just a dog. But what do we know? Now. Uh, as Quicksilver comes to, we learn that something has happened to his powers. Now, if you're a speedster in any comic book universe, this sort of gimmick kind of gets you. Now, every time he uses his super speed, every time he taps into, you know, the Marvel Speed Force, uh, his metabolism accelerates his aging. So, in essence, every time he uses his powers, his powers are killing him aging and super speed and everything yeah that this does feel like something that it plenty of writers have have toyed with or whatever yeah i haven't i haven't honestly read a whole lot of flash uh, mm-hmm. up until the recent years and i've i've read plenty of comics that have quicksilver so to me it doesn't feel like something that's been overdone mm-hmm. so i'm looking forward to see where where this goes in the in the in this comic what 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 they do with it you know, so am I, because I honestly don't remember how it all worked out. So I'm, I'm also looking forward to seeing where this goes and who and who's behind it, because uh, we're going to find out that they have an idea who might be behind it. They just don't have a name. But first, we jump over to Genosha, back to Genosha, or actually somewhere between Genosha and Washington, D.C., because we're on a jet 
heading back to the States. Now on board, and this is something that I only noticed this reference this most recent time I read this issue. I mean, we covered this issue on the treadmill like two years ago, and I didn't even get this joke then. Um, Val Cooper says she has a brother who's in the FBI. And uh, she's jealous that he's got all these really cool stories to tell. So she's hoping that X-Factor and the formation of X-Factor and her dealings with X-Factor are going to, like, give her stories to tell at Thanksgiving. You know, so it's not just all about her all-star FBI brother. And she tells us about a case that he's working on. He's uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And it's uh, regarding a girl who was found dead, wrapped in plastic. And uh, I did not get this Twin Peaks reference until this most recent time. I I feel ashamed. Uh, I mean, I I go up there every year because I'm a Twin Peaks fan. I didn't get this reference until just now. And and until you wrote it in the notes, I honestly (laughs) didn't catch it either. I've not seen Twin Peaks. I've not watched it. I know the story, and this is a, a reference to Laura Palmer, right? Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely a reference to, to Laura Palmer. I, 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 it's like I feel like a bad fan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've spent a lot of money in that town, but I just didn't get this reference. Um, <laughs> no, we jump back to Washington, D.C., where Quicksilver is continuing his tale of woe. Now, he claims that he learned via a postcard that somebody in the Washington, D.C. area is responsible for this accelerated aging. So somehow they tapped into his powers and have screwed with them pretty bad. Now, as he tells his story, uh, something else that's very fast is Val Cooper's jet, because Havoc and Wolfsbane appear, and they announce that they're joining the team. Now, Alex and Lorna have a nice little reunion, much to Rain's dismay. Now, we talked about the extinction agenda a little bit ago. During that, Rain went through some stuff. She found herself mentally bonded to Havoc against her will by some sort of crazy doctor. You know, just gave her this weird, just pressing urge to be with Alex. And anytime anybody gets between them, it's uh, it's not a good scene. And uh, this is something we're going to be dealing with for quite a while. Uh, we're in issue 71. I don't think this gets cleared up until issue 100. Wow. So, uh, yeah, this is a long lingering subplot in, in the grand X-Men tradition. So I, I can't get mad at it, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not terribly interesting, but it's, it's going to be around. <laughs> it's going to be love, around. love triangles are one of the things that make the, these long running plots work well if it's done by, oh, a absolutely. especially absolutely. the X-Men series. Certainly, certainly, because, yeah, the X-Men, you know, they're they're no strangers to, like, the soapiness of uh, of comics. Uh, they, yeah. They've really tapped into that. And uh, and love triangles are, you know, like you said, when they're written well, they're there's really not much better. You know, they, they can really they can really tell you a, a story that a normal superhero comic might not. You know, it's it's about adding layers and uh, adding, uh, you know, personalities and all that good stuff. But uh but yeah, we will be dealing with this for a little while. Now, since Alex is there, he figures, hey, why not give opening that mayonnaise jar a shot? Because everyone else has tried. Uh, it doesn't work. He blasts it. I mean, they're in this, well, it, this room doesn't have a ceiling, so it's not like it's uh, an enclosed location. But I mean, he blasts it with his powers. And the mayonnaise jar doesn't open. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Val Cooper gives it a whap on the edge of a table, just like, you know, just like your mom used to when you couldn't get the jar open. 
and easily unscrews the lid. What do you think about this mayo? It, it's a little uncomfortable looking. It's, the way she's like, holding it, the way it's dribbled on her hand. Um, it, highly suggestive. Yeah. Especially with the smirk on her face. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Al Milgram and uh, uh, Stroman knew what they were doing in this panel. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, doesn't leave a lot there to. No, it's 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 like the most coagulated mayonnaise I've ever seen, and yeah. it's uh it's very unpleasant to look at. I couldn't imagine smearing this on on a sandwich or, or mixing it up with tuna fish. It's not not good. But that night, we learned that Jamie Madrox's mayo jar was actually a gimmick that he invented back on Muir Island. Why? Like, I I don't know. I <laughs> it, it it seems like an odd thing to do. But I thought yeah. the joke worked in the in the in this comic. But sure, yeah, it's, sure. it's weird. And and the fact that it actually had mayonnaise in it. How long was that mayonnaise in there? I don't know. <laughs> now <laughs> he's there in his room, his darkened room. He's congratulating himself, and uh, just like Lorna earlier on that day, he's interrupted by a knocking at the door. He answers it and is just ran through with bullets, just positively riddled with bullets. He's blown back by the shots and he crashes through a window and he winds up falling several floors. And the issue actually ends with him laying lifeless and smoking and smoldering. So, uh, that's a, that's what we in the biz call a cliffhanger. Yeah, that's a, it's a hell of an ending. Um, very dramatic, Mm -hmm. big, big lines, I mean, just the the panel where he's getting shot, where you see the barrel, the gun, and the boom, 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 and it it it's very impressive. It is cinematic. Is yeah, very cinematic. But at reading it, there's no way any comic book fan could read this and not want to immediately read the next issue. Absolutely, absolutely. No, they they did this right. Um, Now, I mean, this. This is coming out during a very, very important month in in X Men and Marvel history, and uh, I think it uh, I think it actually pulled its weight with uh, with this story here. I mean, uh, it, this this feels like something new, you know. Um, you could come into this and not really know a whole lot of what came before, and I think you'll still you'll still get something out of it. Like this is. This is back in the day, like everybody would talk about how the X-Men were so convoluted and so just, you know, just every you, you, you couldn't keep the story straight because there was just so much going on and so much contradictory stuff. And uh, I mean, this is the first time you're reading it and uh, you were able to follow it. Yeah, it is the first time I read it. So um, I I liked it very much because I could. I had some familiarity with the characters, so I know mm-hmm. who Havoc is and Lorna, sure. Wolfsbane, Jamie Madrox and stuff. But even with the the things that happened before that they're talking about on Genosha or, you know, this this thing between Havoc and Rain, mm-hmm. even although I don't know what those things are, this story is interesting enough to pull me in, engage with these characters and it, it's coherent, you know. It, it is. You, there's obviously an attraction between Lorna and Havoc. They they reference it several times. Guido's kind of a goofball. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jamie Madrox is kind of a goofball before he gets shot. So <laughs> it it was it was a very pleasant read. I didn't feel lost, and yeah, thumbs up for sure. Absolutely, and uh, and, and it's it's crazy because uh this is the this is the issue that I had to work back to when I started collecting these books because. Like I said, I didn't know that there was anything before this. I, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that Cyclops had a son that he gave away just three three issues before this in this very book. You know, it's oh, yeah. it's wild how uh, just how this book changed. And, uh, you know, looking at it with uh, 2019 eyes here, there's no way this would happen now. This would be X Factor number one. Yeah, you know, I, I I definitely was because you know I'm still reading comic books. This feels unusual to have a, a launch a new team, mm-hmm. a new creative team. Yep. And it's issue 71. Not, <laughs> it's wild, not a isn't it? One double sized, you know, six dollar book. It's the same <laughs> price as every other book that came out that month. Mm-hmm. And it, to me. It, it, this is an era when long runs mattered more than having 12 number ones in a year or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is for sure. Absolutely. So yeah. It's a bit of fresh, fresh air and reading a back issue like this. <laughs> it's true. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause this is, this makes it, I, I'm, I'm a huge lore guy and this just makes it feel like we're, we're just, we're just adding on to the lore of what X factor is, was, and, 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 you know, will be later. It's just the next evolution here. Just like, you know, just like uncanny X-Men before it or X-Men at the time, you know, they didn't start over after giant size. It was X-Men number 94 with a mm-hmm. new team, with new creators and new blood, a totally new vibe. And they didn't restart it. And, uh, I, I really appreciate this keeping keeping that history there. Um, I, I you know like I said I, I came into this about a year after this happened, so I remember just feeling heartbroken that they canceled the New Mutants for X Force, even though I never read New Mutants before. But just the fact that it made it to a hundred and they canned it <laughs> to have a new number one, I was like, ah oh, man, that stinks. But uh. Of course, it's a it's a totally radical take on it, but uh, and it does make sense in that situation. But I'm just so happy they didn't do it here. I think this is uh, this just feels more right. And uh, maybe it's because X Factor was kind of an afterthought. Maybe. I don't know. I I think of the main four X books, this one was probably getting like the least editorial eye Mm -hmm. between, you know, Uncanny and X-Men Volume 2 and X-Force. This is definitely the also ran you know this is the you know this is the john bogdanov superman book this is the also ran book well um, and there's no i mean there's none of the characters i mean are pr- first tier sure, sure. x-men i mean havoc yeah but um i mean even though even when um, scott and professor x show up they're really only in it for two or three panels yeah. So it's like they put them there like, oh, you you know, if you love Cyclops, read this book. <laughs> there <No, he> is. <laughs> not like that. So it, it's definitely, a, you know, a middle-of-the-road team. Sure. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't relaunch. But it worked, it worked really well, for sure. It did. 
Absolutely. Now, this uh, this issue actually came with a letters page. Um, now, we took a look at the letters page. Do you have any takeaways from uh, from these uh, missives from the readers? So looking through the letters, I honestly, I, I didn't read every letter, the letter, you know, every word of every letter. Sure. Mostly because they were all referencing, you know, the last few issues, 66 to 68 um, that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. The one thing I, I think find the Inhumans were in one of those, though. I think the Inhumans were actually in one of those with uh, Will Spritasio on the art. Pick it up. <laughs> but the, you know, the, the, there's all the letters are positive letters about the story they were telling, the art or the writing, um, how much they love these characters. So, yeah, I just kind of skimmed them. But there was one at the end. Um, the Catherine Servini, if that's how you pronounce her name, yeah, where she talks Canada, about yeah. her experience with the X-Men and the original five and things like that. So that, that letter hit home a little bit more cause it's more in line with my experience reading sure. X factor from, you know, 71 issues ago that my brother had kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Cause that, you know, that was a, that, that was as cheap as I was able to get it back then, even during the the, the 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 haughty speculator days, a lot of stuff happened in there. I mean, the first appearance of Apocalypse, I remember getting that for like three or four dollars because nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> nobody cared. And this was 1992, 1993. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like uh, it's not like first appearances weren't anything we cared about back then. That was, you know, the bread and butter of the back issue bins. And. I was able to get that. Nobody cared. You know, I was able to get the the whole Judgment War thing that ran for like seven or eight issues uh, when the Simonsons were doing it. I remember getting those for like a dollar each and just being blown away because like my main back issue, uh, uh, you know, hunt back then was ElfQuest. And I couldn't find those for a dollar. Those were two dollars. And here we are with X Factor for a dollar. And it's an X book. It's a Marvel book from the 80s and uh, just blew me away. And uh, so it's 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 really cool that going back to the lore, it's like you had, you know, Warren dying or Warren faking his own death, turning into Archangel. So much cool stuff that just that's still part and parcel of X-Men storytelling to this very day. And uh, and I I looked at that 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 Catherine Servini letter, too, and it's it's a lot of that. And I really like it, too. It was it was really a good one. Well, and even the. When X Factor first started, and it, you know they're the mutant hunters that are, yes. you know, covert mutants and nobody knows kind of thing. That's a story now that Marvel seems to be telling and retelling every <laughs> few years. True. And it's not necessarily, true. I mean, it's because it, I guess it works. It does work. Yeah. But you know, when that I read it when it was those first issues, and that was a, it was pretty cool. They, those were good, just good fun stories. They were. Yeah, solid stuff, very solid stuff, and uh, yeah, and they and they were building a cast, they were building a world. It was uh, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. They definitely recommend it to to revisit that uh, if if you haven't before. Uh, I would say that the, there's an affordable way to do so with the essentials, but uh, I think the essentials are all like gold now, so <laughs> those might be a little hard to come by. But I'm sure that that most of them are probably on the Marvel Unlimited if you've got that. They uh, also just did the. Um... The, the newer line of trades, the, the ma- masterpieces. What are they? 
the epic collections yeah the epic ones <laughs> they just did the I think there's at least two or three X Factor ones, and those seem to be pretty affordable and in yeah. color. Yeah, they're 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 high quality, definitely yeah. high quality books. They're uh, worth worth a dive. I mean, there are places online you can get them half price, so go for it. Yeah. <laughs> there's no reason not to. X Factor number seventy one. A little bit of a recap attack here. Val Cooper's trying to assemble a new team for X Factor. This is of course post. The original five going back to uh, the Xavier Institute. And so, what better? If you can't get Cyclops, you go for his brother. So she's in Genosha looking for Alex. Finally gets him to join. Strong guy's there. Multiple man's there. Quicksilver decides to join, but he's also dying every time he uses his power. Lorna's there. Rain's there. And we wrap up with Jamie Madrox getting shot many, many times and falling several stories to his apparent death. Yep. So next time, we're going to find out exactly what happened to the multiple man. But before I let you go, uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug, my friend? Well, I, I do have my blog that I, I try to write on occasionally. I, it's uh, <laughs> comicscomicscomics.blog. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at BigOx737. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, my friend. We will catch you again next time when we uh, continue our path toward X-Factor 72. Excellent. Somebody wake me up from this nightmare, because I gotta be dreaming. Now, you can't talk 90s X-Men comics without talking about X-Force, and uh, specifically the uh, controversial creator of X-Force, Mr. uh, Rob Leefield. Man. Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and for the most extreme book of the line, I have a an extreme co-host and uh this is a uh, Chris Bailey, my uh cohort over on Muratory Mondays and a few more things. So uh how you doing there, pal? How's it going, my friend? And I'm super pumped because we're doing some Robley Field man on X-Force yeah. and I'm ready to rock. Awesome, it's ex- awesome. It's extreme, Chris. It's, ex- it's extreme, radical, and awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, did, and, and arcade, somehow. Did you I say know. radical? I did. Rad? Oh, never Rad. mind. Keep, keep going. <laughs> now, as I'm asking everybody who's on this show, um, I, I want to hear about your history with uh, the X-Men. Um, were you buying X-Men comics back in uh, ye old 1991? I was indeed buying some X-Men titles. Uh, It actually, my fandom actually started, well, not started. I'd say I was picking up X-Men fairly consistently uh, consistently, uh, Mm -hmm. throughout Inferno. Okay. And uh, and I was sort of, uh, I was sort of caught on to the entire series right from there. I didn't get every single issue, but I got quite a few of them leading up through. I was a big Burn X-Men fan back in the day. So a lot of that stuff was, was definitely my jam. Uh, the Jim Lee stuff, believe it or not, I, I was sort of out of X-Men there for a little while during the Jim Lee era, mm-hmm. but, um, and New Mutants, of course, you know, uh, wasn't always my favorite title, but when Mr. Liefeld came on, I was like, wait a second, mm-hmm. something drastic is happening over here, and I started to jump on board. Now, it was before the hype, it was just that I noticed this artist, and I was like, wow, this is crazy, and there was a lot of yeah. art stuff going on at the time with, uh, with hot artists, and, uh. I took a look at this, and brother, when I saw X-Force, I was all over it. 
Absolutely. It's and, and we're gonna have a little bit of fun here with uh with Mr. Lee Field, of course. Um I, I think that just goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Uh but uh <laughs> you know, uh I've never had a crossword with Rob uh, on on the socials, uh but from all accounts he's a uh, he's a pleasant fellow. He's a he's a perfectly decent guy. He's got a deep passion and love for comics and so I'm not going to be someone who discounts him. Uh, nope. uh, there's, there are, there are a lot of fakers in the comics industry that we can, that we can, uh, you know, poke fun at, but, uh, Liefeld's not one of them. He, uh, he came up a fan and, uh, he got, he was in the right place at the right time and brought a whole new excitement to, uh, to the X-Men line. You mentioned new mutants. It's so Boy. hard to take people back to that time and, uh, and just show them how exciting that was. Uh, or how even, onyx how unexciting New Mutants was. I mean, before, that, yeah, that that book was basically toilet paper back in the day. <laughs> I mean, it it was it was not good, Chris. I mean, it was one it of was the worst. It, I'm not going to say it was one of the worst books that was on the shelf because it wasn't. However, it was just a you know there was nothing really that popped about it. You didn't have that yeah. buzz around New Mutants, and it took Liefeld to give this like a a shot of adrenaline. And boy, did it really! Uh, he really took this thing to the next level. Oh. Hundred percent. Yeah, he uh, pretty much informed the way comics were drawn for a number of years. Uh, and I mean, we uh, we enlightened folks in 2020 all look back and and deride it, but I mean, it was what it was at the time, and uh, what it was was exactly what we wanted. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so you think about this, it's it's a generational thing, Chris. So you think certain. back in the think back in the day when you had Jack Kirby. And mm-hmm. this this may be sacrilege for some people to say, but when I think of Jack Kirby, there's a lot of parallels with Rob Liefeld. Let's be okay. honest. I mean, sure, I mean, propor- sure. proportion, classic poses. I mean, think about Jack Kirby. He was not one that had perfect proportion. You know what I Certainly mean? He not. had a set character base. You know, he had a certain poses like that, like the person running towards a screen with their hand out mm-hmm. or the shield up or whatever the case might be. You know, there was a lot of similarities there. When you compare it to Rob Liefeld, I mean, everybody wanted to mimic this guy's art. I mean, they basically told people to draw like Rob Liefeld, the same mm-hmm. as they did with Kirby. Or, sure. you know, he became the house style. So literally, this guy created the house style for Marvel over the next, you know, X number of years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, so you were you were buying when X-Force number one hit the shelves then? Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. I was I was on board the the very moment he jumped on New Mutants. Okay. And uh, and I was right on, you know, right on board to the last double size issue that merged into X-Force number one. Excellent, excellent. Do you uh do you happen to remember which uh which trading card you got with your your version of X Force number one? Mm, if I'm thinking Shatterstar. Okay, I think you're the only one who said that so far. So that's uh that's interesting. I think we've got the full set between all of us. Um, <laughs> actually, we we might not have the X Force team set, the, the team uh, card. That one I don't think has come up in conversation yet. Uh, <laughs> so so I've o- I've only opened one of my pre bagged X Force number one. So really, that's the, okay. that's the only one I can attest to because I thought they'd be <laughs> so valuable I couldn't bring myself to tear this thing open. It's true. It's true. It's a uh, it, this thing went gangbusters for about ten minutes and then uh came back to reality <laughs> and uh, that's just the way it's been ever since. Uh, now this whole era here, not you know Rob Liefeld notwithstanding, gets derided for a lot of things. Uh, the gimmicks here, the the two main books of this uh, of this uh, month here 
we have variant covers on X-Men, and we have a, tra- a polybag trading card on X-Force. I mean, again, we can look back on that now and uh, talk about how yeah, just how silly it was and how the, the industry was focusing on the wrong things. But back then, that was a big deal. Back then, it, it was a value-added sort of thing. It's not the way it is today. Absolutely. Uh, it was it was it was a one off. It brought you to the dance. It was something that stood out on the shelf that wasn't the norm. Right absolutely. now right now the norm is just having one standard cover. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or, or not the not the norm. That's the, actually that's, that's the, actually a treat. Exactly. Yeah, that is the exception to the rule is having just absolutely. one. Oh, Man. Now, speaking of the variants, uh, did you buy X-Men Volume 2 number 1 off the rack? Oh, of course I did. Uh now those were actually not as uh, not as available in my hometown, believe it really? or not. X Men number one, I had to do a little bit of digging to figure oh, wow. to find those things, believe it or not. Now, of course, this day and age, you know, <laughs> they <laughs> they line they line the streets with uh, with X Force <laughs> with uh, X Men number one. They do. But uh, X Force number one, on the other hand, was one of those ones that I had to grab up right away because those things were were hot as potatoes. Wow, wow. Do you, do you remember which cover you got for X-Men number one? Uh, for X-Men number one, uh, hmm, do, 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 Magneto, I'm thinking. That's amazing. So many people have said Magneto, and that's like the last cover I think of when I think about the four of them. It's very oh, strange. My, my favorite one is the team cover, of course, where they're sort of... Oh, the wraparound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's, that, that's my favorite. That's the one I got, but I think that I started with Magneto. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, do you have any uh, any other stories of buying comics in this era where things are just crazy, things are popping, hype is everywhere? Hype is everywhere. We had – we started with zero comic shops in my area, okay? Now, okay. The, ni- the 90s brought in – Several different comic stores, and I lived in a small town, man. I like we were not in a uh, a city environment at all. And suddenly we had two comic book stores. Mm-hmm. Now, they obviously they were they were price gouging. They didn't even have the apocalypse upon them, and they were price gouging all <laughs> over the place. So anything that was labeled hot from a Wizard magazine or from a Overstreet price guide ended up on these shelves with a with a gross price. So if you were a newsstand guy like I was. You really had to be smart, and you really had to know your territory going around. So I generally got my comics from a pharmacy and a drugstore, two Mm -hmm. different places. Mm -hmm. And I knew the staff that was there, and one lady, her name was Gail. God bless you, Gail, if you're listening. (laughs) Uh, I I used to literally give her my pull list, and I'd say, hey, I'd like this Batman, and X-Force number one is coming. Would you grab me one? And every single time, I didn't even have to go to the rack. I went to the counter. Hey, you got my books? And she'd bring out this big stack of books, let me thumb through them, and I – just bought them all. It was it was a wonderful thing. That's amazing. But, I've never heard of that at a new at a uh, at a newsstand before, at a non comic shop. You gotta know your people, Christopher. Yeah, it's it's who you know. Absolutely, it is great. Wow. Okay. That, but that's, but the that's ki- but awesome. the kiosk the kiosk thing was what really. Uh, so I worked at a mall as a security. Mm-hmm. Uh, security guard or whatever, heavy on the maintenance. So I basically, you know, clean windows and collected <laughs> lottery tickets. That's basically all I did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was a kiosk in the middle of the mall and I got to know the guy pretty well that was there. But, uh, once again, it was a, it was a price gouging thing, but he was heavy on Valiant and he was heavy on X-Men. You know yeah. what I mean? Th- those were the things that really drove his, uh, his business. So when X-Force number one came out, of course, this, this pre-bag thing was just all over the place and the front of his stand for sure. Mm, how about that? 
That's it's it's wild. I love hearing stories about just a more lively uh, like sort of comics market where like the comics are actually the focus of the comics industry and the market where it hasn't been that way for a very long even you know this is 1991 if we jump ahead like six years comic shops look a hundred percent different yeah and a, lo- and a lot of these a lot of these things like comics actually started a little bit further than the the other collectibles because all of a sudden as comics gained popularity of course these these stands somewhat converted into uh you know half card stands and different things sure. like that so hockey cards baseball cards different things like that became popular along the way as well you know what i mean so it was basically the start of a collectible era yes the night the 90s was was a boom period of like pretty well everything anything that you think that someone could resell or sell again people were all over it and variants oh, yeah. and insert cards and any gimmick you could come up with was everywhere and man i i was digging it at the time i didn't know any better that's true. I was right there with you. I, <laughs> even now, when I come across like something with a with a foil cover or something, or something that might have a card in it, it's I'm just drawn to it, and it's uh it it actually it just feels like you're getting something more. Um, it's just those little niceties that even even though that's what eventually made me take a break from comics was all the gimmicks. There is a a charm to them. There is a there is an allure and there is a, a feeling of value in them where today it's like, well, here you can have the black and white cover and pay five times the price. It's like, Ugh. what? Exactly. <laughs> or here's the blank one and you can pay double the price. There's no value there. That's just a picture. <laughs> so that's exactly really do much for me. One thing that was really annoying about the entire thing, though, is you had a lot of bandwagon jumpers. You know what I mean? Certainly. So, so suddenly, all of a sudden, you're competing at the rack for with some guy who never collected a comic before in his life, yeah. but he knew that number ones were going to be worth something. So, you know, they'd go and they'd buy up all the number ones. So it became a little bit of a chase, and that started with Superman number seventy-five and worked its way downwards, but. Uh, yeah. I really got shafted buying Superman 75. I spent an, an ungodly <laughs> amount of money to get that black bag thing. But uh, there was a little bit of buzz around X-Force and the X-Men as well. But it just it, it exploded from here, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we're going to be covering three issues today. Um, although X-Force number three is the only one that came out with an October, uh, October 1991 cover date. Since we're so early to the you know, since we're so close to the start of this volume, we figured we might as well cover one, two and three just to get everything here, get hit the ground running and uh, and get us up to speed, especially since, you know, three picks right up where two left leaves off. So we might as well. Just do all three. So uh, we'll do all I three. I love it. <laughs> it won't be three every month. Uh, next month it'll just be issue four. Well, actually it'll be issue four and that uh, that Spider-Man issue too, because there is a there is a crossover. But uh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, <laughs> a loose crossover, we'll call it. <laughs> it's the sideways crossover. Oh, 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 yuck. We, we're gonna have to hold those books sideways, which is gonna be a lot of fun to read. Um, you want to talk us into uh, X-Force number one? Sure. So when you come to X-Force number one, you're talking about the beautiful wraparound cover. Let's start with that, baby. Sure. So I think uh, it's the, basically the cover is iconic. So Absolutely. it's number one. The first thing that sticks out to me is that it's a dollar fifty U.S. and two dollars Canadian. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marvel, right away. 
<laughs> Shaft and the Canadians. Uh, and boy, what a beautiful wraparound cover. So it's got the entire team. It's got a massively hulking, absolutely <laughs> massive looking cable. I mean, yes. he has he has like shoulder pads like you've never seen. And he's with as the wide sh- as he is tall. Yeah. <laughs> he is. His arms are metal. He's jacked. He's barely holding this massive gun. He's got that weird hair which we'll discuss a bit later on and the straps just to keep his shoulder pads in place are just absolutely massive picture picture a belt on somebody who like weighs nine million pounds this is what you need (laughs) to go around their waist (laughs) and of course you've got all the rest of the cast you got boom boom you've got feral which looks like every single 90s character that uh, rob (laughs) layfeld and eric larson have ever made in their life you got domino warpath um, Shatterstar, oh, the the uh, poet laureate of the group himself there, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Furbage. <laughs> but anyway, I, I dug this team, and this cover, it just stands right out. It's like a purpley-blue oh, yes. thing. Um, just beautiful. This, this, is, this is wall painting at its best here, my friend. Sure. And of course, start with the team. So we're talking right on the, the, the captain of the book, the CEO, Mr. Rob Liefeld. You've got Fabian Nissieza. On the words, we'll call it, Chris Eliopoulos on letters, Brad Vacata on color and art. You got Bob Harris, Baggy Eyes, <laughs> and our good friend, Tom yes. DeFalco. Hey, do you know what book he created, Chris? The editor in cheese himself? Uh, what was yes. it? Uh, DP7? <laughs> oh, he, cre- he created Kickers. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. And he's known as the Baggy Boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> but anyway. That is that. So we'll move on. I mean, when you when you think about buying this particular book, I don't know what you thought, but you know, did you have any trouble buying this book? Like, what what did you see back in the day? Who were your go to artists during the boom period, Chris? Um, probably uh, once I got. It's funny because I, I discovered the X Men about a year about a year after this is when I got okay. into them. Oh yeah. And of course, I gravitated toward you know Lee and Liefeld, and they were gone. <laughs> They they were just turning in their last issues at that point. Um, I believe the first X Men book that I bought off the shelf was uh, was drawn by one of the Cuberts. Oh uh, uh, yes, Adam or Andy. Um, that was X Men number thirteen. But uh, like right, the issue before that is I think Jim Lee's or the two issues before that is Jim Lee's last issue I believe. And so the the creators that I came on like that I was expecting, they were gone. Um, so. Uh, in in trying to track down the old X Men and X Forces, the uh, you know the dozen or so issues that I'd missed, um, the only challenge really was because uh, there was no scarcity. They were everywhere. Oh no, they were. They, they were yeah, like you said, they 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 could line they could line the uh, you know a tower with them, but it's uh, it was the prices because they were back issues, they were bagged, and they were. At the very least, five dollars each, and these books were less than a year old at this point. But uh, there was such a demand, even though there was no shortage, there was still such a demand that the uh, the shops could justify marking them up, you know, three or four times the the cover price. And I'm pretty sure I paid five dollars for the for this book, which oh is, boy, uh, is you'll insane. never get your money back. <laughs> no, no, I, I will be I will be you know kicking myself for that until the day I die. Because uh, right at this point, I could probably buy about 20 copies of it for five dollars. But uh, but yeah, back then it was uh, different times, right? <laughs> oh boy, 
boy was it ever. And boy, does this start out with a bang. So we actually start in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And our team, the good old X-Force, the extreme X-Men, they're tracking the uh, the MLF, the Mutant Liberation Front, and mm-hmm. has brought the team to snowy Antarctica, of all places. Now, one thing that stands out to me, Chris, is the uh, the verbiage that start this book. So you know what you're getting when you read the first words of this book. It says, <laughs> Antarctica, June 4th, seven silent figures stand motionless, brooding, alone with their thoughts and the weight of the road they've chosen to follow once their children delighting in a dream. (laughs) Good Lord. This is (laughs) X-Force. I don't even even know what to say. And it's, it's worth uh, noting here that uh, these pages are are famous for a few reasons, not only the, uh, the poet laureate dialogue, but uh, the (laughs) fact that uh, these first few pages are almost like completely swiped from uh, George Perez's pencils from new teen Titans 39. Hey, this is Rob Life. He does not do that, Chris. <laughs> Shut your mouth now. Complaint withdrawn. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and they invade a compound that's held by the Mutant Liberation Front, and the team leaps into action. They, of course, as X-Force does, they easily, easily dispatch these guys right away. Oh, yep. You've got uh, Boom Boom going crazy here, launching bombs. You've got uh, Cable here blasting with his massive weaponry. You've got Warpath just tossing people around like ragdolls. I mean, and of course, Feral doing her thing. There's an actual panel <laughs> that shows Cable, and it's just him and Shatterstar and Feral. And, uh, you know, he's got this weird gun that looks like a collection of Lego blocks that are <laughs> pieced, together, pieced together by a five-year-old. It's, it's that massive. And funny thing when you're talking about consistency of art, like uh, there's no consistency whatsoever no. in the art. Cable's gun changes 500 times in <laughs> And uh, same with his equipment. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That's another story. And, of course, (laughs) they run into some of the crappiest villains you've ever seen in your life. They are piecemeal. They run into Forearm, Kamikaze, Wildside, and Reaper. Now, of course, they sadly engage in battle with the newly formed X-Force. It doesn't work out well for them, i got to say, because these guys are, uh, are ready to go, especially Shatterstar, who says... Come to play, buffoon. Come to die. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So Reaper attacks Shatterstar and ends up with a severed hand right out of the gate. And, yeah. I mean, this X-Force, you know right away that uh, this is not how uh, how the old guard used to play. These ain't your daddy's mutants, brother. For, forearm, of course, is dispatched by Warpath, who just comes to Cable's rescue. But Cable now, he's irritated that these squabbles, you know, they're pointless. He came here to stop Strife. Now, meanwhile, we see our good friend Strife watching on from a control room because he's like that. You know, he ain't going to, you know, waste his time dealing with these little pawns, the X-Force. He's watching from a control room, and he's watching the heroes descend upon him, taking down all his men one after one. And, of course, Liefeld tends to draw Strife. I mean... He just looks like a giant metal samurai. I guess that's the best way to put him. I mean, he's a very pointy samurai. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it it makes no sense. Like he could literally do nothing. He's got like literal, (laughs) he's got spikes coming out of his, his, his shoulders. He's got this giant helmet, which is a series of it. Picture Wolverine's, um, headpiece, you know, with the, with the, the, the big big large. Yes. 
and then he has a set that points down, and then he has one, <laughs> two, three extra sets of six, seven, no, seven extra sets of metal <laughs> Wolverine <laughs> type gear on, and he had these giant, giant cup-like silver boots, which yep. defy description. I mean, oh my god. And anyway, and who's standing next to him? Oh, the most beautiful, beautiful woman that Rob Liefeld has ever drawn. You really have to see this lady. Her name is Thumbelina. Yes. And boy, how do I describe her? So she is, she, number one, she's a, small, she's a small person, a little person. Yes. Who is morbidly obese. Indeed. And she looks like she has Cable's head with purple hair. <laughs> yes. And this is one ugly troll of a woman. <laughs> it is just god awful. It looks but, like a uh, plum with Cable's head. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so <laughs> with Thumbelina at his side, he knows that these guys are coming for him. So he initiates the ultimate. He he starts the destruction sequence, of course, self destruct. So he sets it for <laughs> to begin at ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, ten minutes. Jeez, you could take a long walk off a short pier in that one, <laughs> my friend. And we see the clock countdown as you know the team, especially Farrell and Wildside, go toe to toe as the detonation clock ticks away in the background. So you know it's it's one of those things where everything is just just time is escaping them. Now we get to see good old Farrell here, and you can tell Rob Liefeld really, really loves Farrell because he you know mm-hmm. he goes out of his way to showcase her in almost every issue. Um, he's got a love of drawing that type of hair. So everything is based around Wolverine and claws and those large things on your head. And I mean, God bless Farrell. I mean, she is, uh, she's all that in a bag of chips right there in one small package. Yeah. I, I was going to say are Farrell and Wildside fighting cause they have the same haircut. Cause they, uh, they have these massive and how, how would you, how would you describe the hair? Um, it's like. It's like Wolverine or Beast, you know, those like big wings. On, it's like yes. parted in the middle and just sticking. It's like Deathbird's, you know, headpiece. Yes, it looks. It looks like if someone bought brought a straw broom and stuck it behind your back and like opened <laughs> it up. That's what both of these people look like. But it's absolutely and, true. And one one of the funniest scenes um, is that Farrell grabs him by the jaws and by the cries. Mouth. Yes. <laughs> And it's this weird, weird-looking panel, and he's got Feral by the mouth, and not Feral by the mouth, Wildside by the mouth, and he's going hack, H-A-C-K, and she goes, what's? And she's got this weird, like the way they do her her, bubbles her lettering. Are weird. Yeah, yeah, her bubbles are weird. It's like she's talking in. What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? And she goes, oh yeah, she does. And then she hauls it out of it. Looks like she hauls it out of his mouth, but just snaps it back. I think yeah. she just. She pulls on it and then it recoils back in. Ouch! Oh. Man, oh man. Anyway, out of the blue, we're met by one of Strife's little uh, cronies, Zero. Ooh, mm-hmm. look at that. That's an original name right there. Uh, who appears from a portal and quickly drags Wildside out of danger. Thank God for him. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the team laments that the uh, the mutant liberation. Um, front are starting to retreat like whip puppies and boy do they ever they run like scalded dogs my friend <laughs> they run into the main man himself strife now what does strife do 
he he, uh, he gets the hell out of Dodge. Yep. <laughs> That's what he does. He ain't hanging around waiting for these tools. And Cable is uh, Cable is just letting him have it. He's got his blaster up and the interesting sound effect of poom poom poom. <laughs> I love I love Strife going through the uh, through the portal. It's just like his arm and his leg sticking out. It's like whoop. <laughs> he, yeah, he's going so fast, and even poor Zero there. Now Zero is an interesting character. So he's completely white. Yep. He has no face, but he has a little one circle, almost yep. like a cyclops, and that that's his entire costume. So that's his whole look. Yeah. I think Liefeld spent way too much time doing Cable's hair and his shoulder pads, <laughs> and he never had time to do anything with poor Zero. <laughs> But anyway, with their prime target evading capture, the team themselves, um, you know, they talk about missing beaming themselves to the safe confines of their ship as they zip away and continue to hunt elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What else is going on in the book, Sheehan? Well, we go to an unnamed city and we meet Sunspot and friggin' Gideon. Uh, oh. <laughs> Yuck. Sunspot, he's a, another alumni of the New Mutants here, and uh, they're engaged in a combat training exercise, which uh, you almost have to see to be to believe here. Um, is, speaking of hair, uh, we were talking about the the odd styles of hair here. Uh, Gideon is uh, he might be like a, a, a member and the president of a certain club because <laughs> his <laughs> hair is whack. It's like he's got, like, the Benjamin Franklin thing going in the back, but then, like, a samurai ponytail on top of a bald head. It's it's really odd. I, I Yeah. I don't, even, I don't even know how you do it. It's like the – it doesn't it doesn't even make sense. Like, there's, it defies, there's no, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like he's got the whole Hulk Hogan horseshoe going on in the yes. back. But then he's got this giant tuft of hair. Just imagine what this looks like when he puts it down. I mean, this right? must be – the worst looking hairstyle. <laughs> There's receding hairlines, but this guy makes, uh, I mean, Nicolas Cage look like he's the president of hair club for men here. <laughs> so, as these two are fighting, uh, they're, they're, they're in a combat exercise here. Gideon comments on the maturity of Rob- Roberto's skill set. And uh, Roberto picks up on trouble elsewhere, and the two decide to, uh, you know, rush off to the scene of the crime, find out what's going on. Now, back in Antarctica, we see the after effects of the decimated mutant liberation compound, and it's here that we meet G.W. Bridge. <laughs> okay. Now, um, okay. Now, G.W. Bridge is a uh, is a character, a, a classic Liefeld creation. Uh, to say his body is massively out of proportion would be a disservice to people with massively out of proportion bodies. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he has pouches, of course, shoulder pads, yes, massive guns, check. He's pure 90s shock here, and the way he is posed here, he's standing here and he's watching everything go on here, and, uh, you ever have, like, a an action figure that you could spin at the torso? Yep, all the G.I. Joes used to be able Certainly. to do it, my friend. Now, if you spin one of them all the way around so the butt's in the front, <laughs> that's G.W. Bridge. He actually has a front butt. It's very, very disturbing. He has so front bum going on right there, he 100%. Does. He does, and he lets us know that Cable and his X-Force must be stopped for all the destruction they caused. Now, we leave. Now, instead, instead of which, – which defies description because you're talking about the mutant liberation front. Yep. Clearly of he's he's aware of, but yet he's going after X-Force for causing trouble, of course. Right? Yeah, for, yep. for rattling the cage of the bad guys. Uh <laughs> 
Now, the good guys, we, we meet them back at the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, they're taking a timeout, and uh, Cable works to repair their ship. Now, Cable and Cannonball chat about Cable's need to bring Strife to justice. Cable talks about a friend of his, uh, Tyler, almost like a son to Cable, but not exactly, who was seduced into the MLF by Strife only to find himself perish. Mm. He lists... Yeah, he lists the blame to uh, to Big Silva and uh, says it's yet another reason why he wants his revenge. Domino comes down. She interrupts the conversation, and Cannonball kind of like slinks away. He's like, eh, I don't want to be part of this. Uh, she confides to Cable that about when he, when is he gonna you know fill in everybody in on his actual background, his identity, you know, and even maybe tell them about his telekinetic mutant ability. Because uh, Cable, at this point, was completely shrouded in mystery. We didn't know thing one about him. He was just the bulky old dude who uh, took over the New Mutants back in the day. And they accepted him pretty uh, pretty, pretty freely, Without too. question, yeah. Yeah. This guy appears out of nowhere. You get, you get no address. You don't know where he's from. You don't know <laughs> what future he's from. You know he's a mutant. He's That's got all it. these powers. But, hey, <laughs> won't you be my leader? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go <laughs> killing mutants. <laughs> We're going to be the proactive team for, for, you know, the first couple issues. Um, Now, Cable cuts Domino off. Uh, He says uh, he says he'll tell them what they need to know and nothing more. Meanwhile, we head off to New York City and we're in one of the uh, the the old Twin Towers. Uh, Gideon and Roberto are there for the uh, Jankos meetings. Now, while they're they're there, they're introduced to Ariana Jankos and another uh, large black-haired bearded individual that Roberto instantly recognizes as a terrorist. We recognize him as well. His name is Black Tom Cassidy, and uh, he's an X-Men villain, and he's also the cousin to Banshee of the X-Men. Roberto is about to take him out, but he's stopped out the gate by Gideon, who calms him down. He says, hey... You know, stop your attack, and we'll go th- go to the boardroom. Uh, despite your concerns, here we'll get everything settled here. So uh, while cooler heads prevail, Black Tom informs them that uh, they'll be part of a money extortion scam, and for at least the moment, they're now his captives. So sorry that was, about that. That was weird. Do you think that? Um, I mean, you take you take a look at Black Tom, one of the most ridiculous looking oh, villains yeah. you'll Good ever boy. see. Oh, yeah, he's got this, so how can I describe him? So he's got this large jumpsuit with the high neck collar, of course, Big you know, sim- similar to a Dracula type thing. He wears these giant red boots. He's in an entire blue suit, and he's got this little... Shillelagh? Yeah, shillelagh, like a very small baseball bat, spotted, <laughs> which he... Uh, and he's got this weird accent, too. I don't know what it, what it is with this guy, but he's an odd villain. And I don't think that uh, that Gideon... <laughs> Or, or his good buddy here should be uh, either bit concerned about this guy whatsoever. But apparently they're they're okay with being captive, so whatever. And it's great when he when he said you know we have a we have Black Tom telling them that they're his guests and they're they're his hostages and the the faces on Roberto and Gideon they're just like duh 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 we're captives they just their mouths are agape they've got no pupils it's classic stuff here it's uh, pretty great I don't know what the deal is with the no pupil thing on both of those folks. It's like weird. That, yeah. Like, is does that even pop up anymore? Like, in I, the book? No, no. This is just an artistic thing, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's just maybe he forgot to put them in or thought they look cooler this way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
Um, now we wrap up uh, to in Quebec, Canada, where GW Bridge is reminded by a video conference by Nick Fury. This is not the Samuel L. Jackson version. This is the real one uh, that he must stop cable and his ragtag group of kids. All front butt signs off from Fury and he knows <laughs> what he has to do. He picks up the phone and reaches out to General Clark and he says that it's time to bring out Weapon X. Oh, Wolverine is coming. All Wolverine right. must be coming. Absolutely. Oh, man, Weapon X. Oh, can't wait. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. This, be this, guy, this sold me on issue two with Weapon X. I bet. Wolverine, of course. <laughs> now, now, this panel, the, the last page of this should be studied. Because... <laughs> There, there is, they always talk about Rob Liefeld's Captain America, you know, yes. being so out of proportion, yeah. the large, massive chest and the arms and all that stuff. But nobody has seen the likes of the misproportioned arms of GW Bridge at the end of oh, X-Force Lord. number one. Oh. It is so out of proportion. He looks like the uh, the fat girl at a fair who just got <laughs> too much weight on in the, in the bottom portion and has these massive arms. And they don't fit on his body. Say, for example, you had an action figure, uh, you know, a set of action figures, and you broke them all. So you smashed apart six or seven different action figures, and you tried to piece them together, and all the wrong parts were in the wrong places. This is what GW Bridge and his front bum looks like here. It's true. <laughs> oh, boy. He yeah. is bizarre. And, and like, a, look at his ending. shoulder pads. Look at his oh. shoulder pads compared to his neck. And he's got this weird thing. It's almost like one of those donuts you wear at a uh, on an airline. You know what I mean? Yeah, like what? Like he's got these. Not only does he have a million pouches, but he's yes. got this weird neck thing going on. It just I don't know. It's it defies description. Strange. It does. But he's he's calling in the big guns. He's calling in Weapon X. So boy, mm-hmm. people were excited to see issue two on this one. I bet. Man, I bet. you you wanna you wanna talk us into uh, into issue two? Well, certainly. Uh, X-Force number two, cover dated September 1991, called The Blood Hunters. Now, ideas and pictures, again, by Mr. Rob Leefield, man. Mm. We got Fabian Nicienza, who's on the words. Chris Eliopoulos, over on letters. Brad Vacata, over on colors. Bob Harris is the editor. And Kickers, Inc. himself, the chief, the, <laughs> the head cheese in charge. <laughs> Mr. Thomas DeFalco is your uh, your editor, sir. So that is your creative cast. Now the cover. Oh boy, the cover. So guess who's on the cover? We got the cover proclaims we got Deadpool. Now that would sell an issue or two uh, this day and age, I guarantee mm-hmm. you. But uh, back then, what what was you know what did Deadpool amount to back in the day? Not a heck of a lot. Not a heck of a lot. Exactly right. Nobody cared. Nobody thought everyone's you know. Uh, saucy Merc was anything to worry about whatsoever. So, <laughs> what do you think of the cover here? Well, um, you know, it, up until a, a few years ago, it was a twenty-five cent bin fodder. Uh, I remember seeing it a lot in there. <laughs> um, it, you know, that's of course before we all decided we loved Deadpool. But uh, it's a, it's an okay cover. It's not a bad cover. Um, nope. So the cover basically is it's a giant X. Uh, in the background, the uh, the open portions are all colored in, and you get to see the different characters of X-Force, mm-hmm. and you get to see GW Bridge, and then you get to see a new character, you know, a guy, another guy with giant silver arms, a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous costume, and he's got Deadpool on the ground, and it looks like he's ready to finish him off. Mm-hmm. He made a big swipe at him, so it's called the Blood Hunters. But anyway, the cover proclaims that Deadpool's back, even though nobody cares, and he's been... <laughs> 
this high collared fella, we're about to meet him very, very soon. So, you know, we open up with the, with the same high collared guy. He's unnamed at this point and he's hanging out at Port Menier shipyards, uh, upyards in Anticosta Island in Quebec, Canada. That's my hometown in my home, not my hometown. What am I talking about? My home country. <laughs> Wait a second. Is Quebec part of Canada? We don't know. That's another mm. that's another story. Any Quebecers out there, let us know. If you're still a part of Canada, let us know. We we'd like to know. Even <laughs> even us Canadians want to know this. <laughs> uh unsurprisingly, of course, he's confronted by dun 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 Deadpool. Mm-hmm. And of course, they begin doing what they always like to do. They like to fight. And of course, one of the things that is cool about this is that um you really see, like, I know a lot of people get uh, get credit for the latter Deadpool and, you know, the comedic one. But, you know what, Liefeld really has his uh, his footprint put on this. So a lot of sure. people that take credit for modern-day Deadpool, when Liefeld says that he created this character and even the comedic streak we know now, you see signs of that right here. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can see why he 100% takes credit for everything when it comes to Deadpool. <laughs> everything. <laughs> but... He's engaged in a fight against Weapon X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wolverine ain't coming in this book. We have a brand new Weapon X, and his name is Kane. Kane. Good old Kane. So if you're hoping for uh, for a Wolverine guest spot after, uh, you know, GW Bridges cliffhanger last issue, we got some bad news for you, mm-hmm. brothers. It's yep. gotta be Kane. <laughs> Kane! Kane! <laughs> no, it ain't that Kane either. I, I, I wish and pray to God it was actually wrestling Kane. But it's not. It's a much spazier, metal-armed, stupid-looking Kane. <laughs> and he's uh, he's about to go toe-to-toe with our good friend Deadpool. Now, Deadpool does some his, you know, his classic snark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And with our new uh, Weapon X, Mr. Garrison Kane. Ooh, imagine. You can even have, like, a better name. Yeah, was was he was he used to team up with uh with Mr. Trevor Murdoch? Was that I don't, I don't think that was him. Is that the, is the Garrison Kane? Was that the guy who used to, <laughs> used to tag with him? Close, 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 because he's same he's the same deal as the same type of punching bag. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the captions are coming all from uh, Kane's inner monologue, and he's high on the phrase "Get into the groove." Oh man, oh. he's a Madonna fan. He <laughs> into the groove. <laughs> <laughs> what one of the and this battle I got to talk about this this uh, this battle we're seeing here it is one of the it looks like it's a Cirque du Soleil battle because you have Deadpool doing a nice high kick you know with someone oh, yeah. who's a who's a ballet he just gives him this like giant kick like with with such with such beauty and form and then you, yeah. yes and then you got Kane who delivers a kick from a leg that apparently comes out of his shoulder. <laughs> It is the weirdest, weirdest fight you'll ever see. And, I mean, uh, one of Liefeld's signatures is, uh, you know, a character punching, you know, jumping in the air and mm-hmm. just punching downwards and a character flying out. And we get to see this on full display here with, with yeah. Kane. I I think he really put, you know, a lot of effort into Kane. I really think that he wanted him to be something that people would like, but uh, I, I so, don't yeah. think so. No. Then you got Deadpool, who hates on my country. He said, I hate this country. I've always hated this country. I hated Department H. I hated the Weapon X program. And I hated you, you dirty nose, prepubescent punk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Now, while Kane stands triumphantly, he is uh, he's confronted by good old uh, front butt, Mr. G.W. Bridge. <laughs> 
Now, Bridge tries to recruit him, of course he does, to assist with the S.H.I.E.L.D.-mandated hunt for good old Cable. Now, Kane knows Cable, you know, because of all his, all mysterious characters seem to know one another. Yeah. And he declines his offer. He's not joining the inner circle, man. He ain't having no, no. part of this. And during the chat, Deadpool, of course, <laughs> manages to slip away in the background, which is classic Deadpool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, you want to you want to take us back to the Adirondack Mountains, my brother? I certainly do. We go back there, and uh, Cable has concocted a training scenario for X Force. Now, this is going to be fun. <clears throat> now, no, no, hideous. His big idea is that he's going to pit the entire team against Feral. You know, Rob's favorite here. Now, uh. Boom Boom, Miss uh, Tabitha Smith here. She's got some new glove gimmicks that allow her to launch her, you know, her time bombs. Uh, so she's uh, sure this whole exercise is just completely in the bag here. Uh, Cable tells her and the rest of the team, yeah, don't be so cocky. Now, Warpath and Cannonball, they head into the woods together in search of Catgirl, only to find themselves ambushed. Feral hops right onto Sam's back while he's cannonballing and steers him directly into James's chest. So there's two X-Forcers down. I do like that. That was that was well done. By, that was uh, very well by done. By Pharaoh. So they're Absolutely. basically she's she's basically toying with people, making sure that you know playing off their strengths and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. boy, does he! Uh, she she got to take out the big guy first. So Warpath, the only way to take him out is by driving cannonball right into his right guts. Into his oh. chest. Yeah. Now next, Feral decides to attack Tabitha. She manages to get behind her and then use her vaunted glove gimmicks in order to shoot bombs right at Cable. <laughs> so. Uh, there's two more X-Forcers down. Can I make a comment about Boom Boom? Certainly. So every single character in this book, with the exception of Feral, the, all the other ones have, you know, tons of pouches, okay? Sure. So the one who has to throw little bombs has absolutely zero pouches. So <laughs> so, where, so where in the blue hell is she hiding all these time bombs and these little... She, she manifests them. Yeah, okay. I think. <laughs> well well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's my no price. Um, Domino then attacks Feral with her boobs. <laughs> you, you see this picture, right? Bam. She, she's running at her with her boobs. And <laughs> it's it's insane. But <laughs> it works. It, it does work. Uh, but but Feral's feet do get the better of the exchange. Feral's feet do beat Domino's boobs. It's like rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Then, Shatterstar. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, no, boy, Shatterstar. Oh, no man has 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 more well-spoken battle verbiage than this oh, man. Uh, he stands over Feral while soliloquizing about how killing is what he is. You wanna you wanna read us a few? You wanna hum us a few bars of Shatterstar? <laughs> I certainly would. This is excellent. <laughs> he goes. Uh, she, uh, because she knows Domino, she knows as well as I do, war is a game, of that there is no doubt, but not one to be played for fun, it is a game to be played for victory and honor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate this guy. (laughs) And then he goes, he, he basically turns to her and he goes, uh, uh, he goes basically, you say you want to play with me? We are two of a kind, girl. Both (laughs) warriors who have fought to survive our entire lives. Fighting is what you do. Killing is what I am. (laughs) 
Oh, it's yes. brutal. It is you can so see brutal. you can see Rob Liefeld just loving this stuff. He's got a big stain on the front of his pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Good thing they're button fly. Um, now, Shatterstar and Farrell face off. Uh, Farrell is distracted by the absolute baloney coming out of Shatterstar's mouth. So she's like, what? And during that, Sam Cannonball plows right into her and he smashes her into a tree. And uh, Farrell reacts, you know, calmly by uh, disemboweling Sam Guthrie. Yeah, that was uh, that was a bit of a weird thing there. But yeah, boy, she Cable just snaps. Yeah, and Cable's having no more of that shit. No, 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 because they they you know they they make it very clear in the in the narration that you know she actually ripped his guts out. We don't see that in the art, of course. Um, it doesn't. It looks like just a flesh wound, if even that. Oh yeah, um, it looks pretty looks pretty mild, but he it looks uh, very our, dry. Our boy yeah. is suffering. He sure is, and uh, as you mentioned, your cable he realizes that things have gotten a little bit too much out of hand, and then he blasts Feral with his big ass gun. <laughs> I think I think he sort of hits her with like a potato. It's like a potato <laughs> gun where he just goes foom, foom. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he hits her twice. <laughs> She gets potatoed, knocked out, and Cable has to pick her pick her dead ass up off the ground as well. Now, we, we get to the end of the issue here, and we shift scenes back over to the World Trade Center. And we got Black Tom and his assistant, Ariana. They've set up an interdimensional locator and teleporter atop one of the towers, and it basically looks like a giant box. Yeah. One thing yeah. about this, though, as we're going through this, um, there's a drastic decline in the art on these pages yes like something something is way off here it's like gotten loose it's like his sharpie broke and he had to use one of those thick ones or something or like right there is a yeah it's different here is did he have his two inkers on this one or something because there's something that's really really off with the final pages of this book like the art style is looser it's you know what it is i think it's one of lifefield's trademarks that dreaded you know he deadline, does doom the dreaded deadline and he rushed these pages like a mofo because you could Absolutely. tell the they are really, really super rushed. Yeah, because like it doesn't even look like uh, like it doesn't even look like body parts are like completely attached here. It looks like Black Tom and Ariana are wearing wigs. They look like bald headed people that he just drew hair on really fast. <laughs> like you know, you know, you know when you when you had your uh, how to draw comics the Marvel way and they were like certainly. showing you how to do a sketch. That's basically all this is. It's an outline with some with some hair on it. It's a little bit of detail, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Black Tom, he's up there uh, waiting for this box to open because he wants to see his old friend's pug ugly face. And uh, we'll find out whose face that is very soon. Uh, we do jump back to X-Force and uh, Sam, he seems no worse for wear. His belly's all bandaged up, but he's looking pretty good. He doesn't look he like he's uh, he doesn't look like he's hurting there. And That's why, going why, to be. Why is Domino wearing like her workout gear? She looks like she literally stepped off Flashdance or something. She's, she's like, yeah, she's jazzercising. Yeah. yeah. She it's, got her jazzercise Very here. strange. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this uh, big you know hole in Sam's gut will be a very short-lived and confusing story that we'll get to eventually. Um, now, we do wrap up back at the World Trade Center where Black Tom's machine starts to glow. And then suddenly from the teleporter box emerges, guess who? The Juggernaut. So who do you draw? What villain do you draw? 
when you really don't have a great art style, like in detail and all that stuff, and you just want to do a quick villain. It's the Juggernaut. Yes. Every, every, you know what? I haven't seen very many people screw up the Juggernaut. It's that default character that pretty well every artist seems to do well. Sure. And Liefeld, you know, he knocks this one at the park. I love his Juggernaut. You know, mm-hmm. he's got... He's got great teeth. You know, he does the eyes properly. And for anyone who draws proportions, Juggernaut is one of those characters that is always out of proportion. So what a more perfect artist to do it uh, (laughs) than uh, Rob Liefeld. But boy, how huge is the Juggernaut? Oh, he's massive. He's like three stories high over Black Tom here. He he looks like he's going to pop. He is bulge and huge, yes. He's been taking his Ico Pro. He has been. You gotta want it. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're finally to the issue of the month here, the October 1991 cover dated X Force number three. Boy. Now this one's called Battle Cry. Um, let's see here: Rob on words and picks, Fabe on words and whining, Chris <laughs> Eliopoulos on letters and fluffy hair. So I guess he's responsible for all the blo- broccoli florets we're about to see. That's um, exactly what it is. <laughs> they were making fun of Robbie. Didn't even realize it, probably. Um, now, Joe Roses does the color art and brings the sunshine. Bob Harris edits and Kenny Rogers is. <laughs> I don't know how you Kenny Rogers, but uh, Bob Harris did it. Um, Tom DeFalco bosses and sit ups. So I, I don't believe that last part. I don't think he does sit ups. Um, nope. Now, cover price, $1 USA, $1.25 Canada, and 65p in the UK. You want to pick us I up? I don't even know what 65p means. It's like a crappy currency. Sounds heavy. It does, yeah. It's 65p. <laughs> oh, is that a lot? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. 5p20, yeah. <laughs> it's now day three of the standoff, and we're at the World Trade Center again. And we open with Siren, probably mm-hmm. one of the most, you know, one of the most iconic Liefeldian poses right out of the gate. Liefeld seems to do like the the jumping towards the screen, you know, with the arms out type yeah, of thing. big time. Like very, very, very well. And he does it with everybody. And, of course, Siren is not spared here. So, uh, you know, she's, she's in her full Banshee glory here. And, uh, you know, it, it's there. Anyway. Yeah. She's got a, <laughs> she's got a, a very, uh, how can I say this, wide gap betwixt her legs, and it looks like she, uh, she has a rather full head of hair, like all the uh, Liefeld characters seem to mm. do, and it, you know, she has this giant mane, like instead of the little, like you said, the broccoli florets, this yeah. girl is all about the hair. I mean, she's got three tons of hair sitting on top of her I, head. She must have the worst headache. I, I'm telling you. Her hair almost seems sentient. I mean, it does. It does. It's almost like Rob messed her up on the uh, messed up on her face and just had to like grab extra hair and just wrap it all around her. I don't know what was going on. It's insane. But anyway, yeah. anywho, uh, Siren gets pummeled by the Juggernaut and keeps coming back for more. I mean, she's just not you know she's not going to stand down from this big douchebag, but she's getting tossed all over God's creation. Uh, anyway, keeps coming back for more punishment and finally, finally. She's shot in the gut by her uncle, Black Tom Cassidy. Can you get away with even naming a character Black Tom right now? <laughs> I don't think so. That sounds <laughs> that sounds like a little bit uh, insensitive. The sound effect here is really weird too. It's like shikat, shikat, shikat. I love it. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
we see Terry recovers and uh, but has second thoughts about hopping back into the fray. Lucky for her, the Calvary is about to arrive and the X-Force aircraft floats overhead. This time inside, we see Cable and Domino. And uh, the former is wearing armor that is some insanely strange armor. I think that's mm. the only way we could uh, we can really put it. Oh, how would brutal. you de- how would you describe the armor? It's like it's like a silver plate, but it looks kind of like it's been equipped with like insect mandibles, like yes. going toward his mouth. It's it really is, odd. Like, why did he change his clothes? <laughs> they they weren't a- making the action figures yet. Why why are they? It's it's bad. It looks like he's wearing Stripes armor, kind of. Yeah, it looks like Stripes armor without all the extra parts and spikes. Yeah, but with so maybe, but with mandibles. <laughs> with mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. He looks. He's not. It's insect-like, is what we'll yeah. say. It's almost like I don't know. Really, really odd. Anyway, meanwhile, inside one of the twin towers, we see good old Sunspot and his good buddy Gideon. Mm-hmm. And they're looking on at everything that's going on. Now, Bobby's getting a little bit frustrated that they haven't been able to make their move yet. Meanwhile, Black uh, Black Tom and the Juggernaut enter the scene. They're, <laughs> they look a little bit, I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> off register. And man, again, these scenes, Chris, I don't know what it is, but they're mm-hmm. really, really sketchy. Like everything yeah. about it, they're incomplete. They're not colored properly they're really really off and it stands out in the book you could tell that these scenes were were done separately from the main book yeah, like you can tell sure. the black tom scenes and all those stuff were done after the fact because every part of the equation here is missing like yeah. the depth of color and it's just super light i don't know anyway uh, <laughs> he refers to uh, good old black tom uh he refers to gideon as pansy boy Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to say Gideon might have some of the most awful taste in hairstyles, but you know, I guess fashion, his fashion game is not terrible. I mean, it's not a terrible, terrible, you know, garb he has on here. He's, he's well put together. He's a, you know, he looks like he came from downtown Detroit. He's ready to yeah. go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can see this whole untucked red vest over the, uh, over the button up shirt actually looking pretty good in the real world. I think if you ask sure. me. I wouldn't mind. I'd, I'd wear it to work, 100%. Absolutely. I think, though, uh, to, to really spaz it up, though, you got to go no shoes. I don't know about you. Yes, the no shoes <laughs> and the uh, and the, the weird half-bald head with the uh, the Hulk Hogan and the <laughs> top knot. That'd be perfect. <laughs> perfect for somebody. Anyway, <laughs> back outside, you get to see Siren, and she enters the X-Force scout ship. And, of course, she's greeted by Cable and his massive blockly foreheads. I mean, this hair is just – you know what it looks like? It looks like if you're underwater and you see, like, <laughs> yes. plankton flowing in, like, in the water, it's just – it sort of flows like that. It's really, really strange. Now, Cable, you know, he's always trying to recruit people, so he suggests that they work together, if she's in the mood, to kick the crud out of something. Does anyone actually talk like that? Seriously. I don't think so. Hey, would you like to kick the crud out of something? <laughs> so, Heck yeah! <laughs> Let's do it! X-Force forever! <laughs> anyway, they hover for a bit more and they just they devise a game plan, which amounts to sending the biggest guy hurtling towards the other biggest guy in the book. So mm-hmm. you get to see Warpath hop out of the scout and plummets towards the juggernaut. And, you know, it's, it's that battle role you definitely want to see, you know what I mean? But sure. boy, is he way, way out of proportion as well. Oh, 
goodness. I mean, he has, all of a sudden, he has a gigantic hair. How many butts awesome. does he have? Oh, my God. This He's just. He's got several totally, butts. He's got all over the place. He's like, <laughs> when, when you see him flying down, number one, he looks like a square block. Like, he doesn't even have a form anymore. <laughs> and he's got one, two, he's got four butts. He does. Oh, my God. Like, it's. There's proportion out of proportion, and then there's this stuff. I mean, he is, wow, way, way out of back. And he oh, says, totally. the name is James Proudstar, or Warpath, and yours is Mud. Yeah, it's, it's Ooh, nice they get, to, uh, they get to have this banter in a free fall, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of words to say as you're plummeting. A man that size plummeting out of the scout ship onto Juggernaut, and he gets yep. to say all that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> he must be really talking fast. My name be. is James Proudstar, Warpath. Why your name is Mod? <laughs> anyway, uh, James Conks into Kane and uh, sending them both tumbling off the top of the tower. So, yeah, and this is a different Kane. This is Kane yeah. Marco, not Garrison Kane. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you want to pick us up to right here now? You want to talk about the X Force coming to Certainly. the rescue? Now the rest of the team, they have to, you know, they have to join. So the the rest of them jump out of the scout ship and they're headed for Black Tom's guards. I didn't know he had guards, but he has a fleet of them. And uh, this definitely feels like it might be overkill, and we soon find out that it exactly is that. Uh, these human guards are absolutely no match for the mutants here. I mean, they took out the mutant liberation front in like five seconds. Of course, they're going to take out these geeks. Easy. Um, now back inside, Black Tom. It looks like he stretches. He's like, Ugh. it looks like very refreshed. Like he's just gotten out of bed. He's like in the middle of a yawn. But he's, he does. he's actually pontificating. He's actually, you know, uh, he's just in mid-flourish amid some pontification here. Um, now, finally, Gideon has realized he's had enough of whatever Tom has to say. And uh, he decides it's time for him and Bobby to just rush the guy. Uh, Gideon winds up getting blasted by back Black Tom's boomstick, and then Bobby, he gets a couple of shots in, but winds up getting his butt handed to him as well. So, uh, Black Tom, despite looking goofy and ridiculous, and and somehow his, uh, his blue outfit from last issue is now purple and doesn't have a symbol on the chest. Well, I guess it is day three. <laughs> Maybe he changed. But, uh, it... it <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He's got, he's got like an entire new suit. The shillelagh has dropped the little spotted dots it had on it as well. It, uh, it looks like Gideon, who uh, all of a sudden is not wearing any socks with his shoes and looks exactly <laughs> like uh, the spaz that I thought he was. I mean, attention to detail is not Mr. Liefeld's strength. No, and, not here. Oh, but you know what I think happened here? I think hmm. those, those, it, those scenes with Black Tom were so rushed originally. Uh, that it looks looks like they got their act together here. So you can see the inking is back on track here. The colors are more vibrant. It's got a less sketchy look. So it looks like he's putting more work into it, but he clearly didn't look at the first two issues he drew. Yeah, yeah. These were not these these bits probably weren't turned in at the eleventh hour like the other ones probably oh, were. Boy. But uh, you know, it's like Tom is just handling business here. I don't know why he even bothered calling the juggernaut. It's like you don't need another guy if you're no. if you can beat these guys up. What's the point? Well, think about it though. He's he's beating up Gideon. Is that really <laughs> is that really a uh, a mark on the old bedpost? I don't think Probably so. Probably not. Probably not. Now uh, Tom doesn't get too long to celebrate his victory because Cable barges in and shoots Tom in the side. Like like he it, that seems unsportsmanly and like unheroic, right? 
and Cable's gun has transformed again several <laughs> times, and he's got a giant leg thigh. Like, it is massive. What is with that? What is uh, with this outfit? I, I just don't, uh, I don't know. I'd like to have Rob Liefeld here and just ask him, Rob, what in the fudge were you doing? <laughs> it, like, you know, I, it, I can't even, it looks like a hot air balloon being shoved into a, uh, into like a, a silver funnel. That's his leg. <laughs> That's exactly right. It doesn't even look connected to it. It looks it, like a fig. It's one yeah. of those action figures that, you know, they've got the little ball point that keeps it connected yes. to the actual action figure. That's what it looks like. But, oh, oh man. man. It, it, just it, dreadful. It's, this is probably Cable's worst. Well, it might be too soon to say that, but this looks like it might be Cable's worst look ever. I I don't know how it could get any worse than that. This, and he's going he's going full Dirty Harry here too. Dead or alive, the choice is yours. Yes, he is very very out front with his threats, but uh, like, where do you think Cable keeps this armor? <laughs> oh Does man, this fit in a closet? Man, he he's a, got he's got to have a storage unit for that. Oh man it's oh god it's just so bad maybe but, he uh, knew he was fighting the juggernaut and he needed a juggernaut sized costume to wear he might have this is his hulkbuster armor right <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> right maybe, listen maybe rob was onto something before the mcu was it's possible it's maybe he's possible. the creator of the uh the, the cable buster uh, uniform here <laughs> the jug buster <laughs> that doesn't sound good um no Back outside, Proud Star and Juggernaut, they continue punching one another, you know. And uh, we can see here that uh, Kane, Marco here, is holding a detonator. And uh, we might assume that he's been holding it the entire time, right? Of but course you got to have a detonator. All good bad guys have the detonator. Didn't he just take a header off the World Trade Center? And he, he managed not to crush this, this detonator, this tiny little... You know, candy-sized detonator in his hand. He he managed to <laughs> not destroy it. So there you go. Now this detonator has three buttons. What would the first two actually do? <laughs> one one is blow stuff up. The other one is blow more stuff up and really blow stuff up. I don't know. And if you notice here on that picture of the detonator, there's like this little triangle, like yeah. going into the detonator, like that's a that's like a flat color. Like, it looks like they put something over it. It looks like it was patched up, doesn't it? Because even, like, the panel border is no longer black there. It's white. That's really odd. Yeah, it looks like they patched over maybe, like, a a bubble or something. Maybe they said something offensive, or maybe they just said something that didn't make sense. Yeah, somebody scrambled scrambled at the last minute to do some corrections there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's very – now it's all I can see. I didn't notice it until now, but now it's all I can see. (laughs) But – uh. Now, the big guys, they continue to beat one another upon the head and shoulders when who should appear but the amazing Spider-Man. Oh. Spidey swings through the scene, and then rather than get get in between, you know, a proverbial rock and a hard place, he decides that he'll head topside in order to check out the hostage situation. But then, boom, there's an explosion in the Twin Towers. What a cheap, what a cheap explosion in the Twin Towers. Boy, that's relevant. But but you've got Spidey, and I mean, mm-hmm. Liefeld clearly cannot draw Spider-Man. It is painfully bad. It's Even, yeah. even the way he swings on his web. I know he's trying to summon, you know, uh, McFarlane. McFarlane, time, yeah. But man, he looks like he's sitting on a toilet. It doesn't <laughs> look like he's swinging. Like, 
you take a look at the, the first panel when he first flies in. His pose is awkward, but you know you could you could get away with it. And he's trying to do the McFarling threading, and he's failing miserably. Yeah. It just looks like his webbing is going to fall apart, and it looks like a series of coiled chain or something. It does. But, it does. but then he swings overhead, uh, Warpath and Juggernaut fighting, and it literally looks like he's sitting on the toilet. <laughs> but that first panel where he's swooping in, speaking of toilets here, the way his legs look, it looks like, <laughs> like a toilet seat. Like looks like one of those yeah. public toilet seats with like nothing in the middle. <laughs> looks like he's pinching off a friendly, my friend. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But um, to be, then it's to be continued in Spider-Man number 16. Oh, mm-hmm. God. So we're going to get the unholy alliance of Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld next time. The Just the sheer pencil work is enough to cause the destruction of man in that one. There's going to be so many scratch lines. It's Man. Yeah, we, we, we should get started now because there's so many. But uh, <laughs> those are the books that are notable because we're going to have to turn them on their sides to read them. Man, I can't wait for that issue. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I actually had a good time with this, actually, to be quite oh, honest with 100%. you. 100 percent. So, you know, despite all the, you know, you can make fun of Rob Liefeld's art all day long, but I have an appreciation for it because at least Same it's thing. comic book art. For sure. It's it's not photorealistic stuff. I'm not a big photorealistic guy. I like to have my comic books, you know, with comic book art inside sure. with bright primary colors the way I used to love them, you know what I mean? Panel break and stuff and all that stuff. Not some sanitized, computer-generated wide yeah. widescreen. I, I just don't want to see something that looks like a movie still. No, you know what I mean? And this is definitely not a movie still. Nobody's going to you know, mistake <laughs> any of Liefeld's characters for anything that is physically alive. <laughs> That's for no, sure. No, certainly not. Um, a, a few takeaways here. Uh, there's been a hostage situation at the World Trade Center for three days. Last I checked, the World Trade Center was in Manhattan, the home of almost every Marvel superhero. Absolutely. Where are they? I don't think even anybody knows in this book. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one minute they're in Quebec, and they're, you know, they're, they say they're in Canada. They're, uh, dude, who knows where in the blue hell these people are? Oh, man, it's wild. And, uh, I mean, we almost have to bring up the very strange, uh, you know, terror at the Twin Towers. That's uh, I mean, that's prescient prescient in a couple of ways, because, you know, there was that bomb that exploded there in 1993, two years after this. Um, This is this is uh, this hitting close to home here on this one. Very, very weird, isn't it? Uh, It's one of those things that I wonder if they reprinted this, if they would like like change the name of the building or just not name the building or something just uh seems like something that you know marvel might do uh, uh you know we we can look at like that uh what was that there was a scene in the spider-man movie where he like spun a web between the twin towers and they had to take it out yeah um, I, I it's, wonder just, if, it's, it's just a path you don't need to go down these days you know what i mean you yeah. just just it's better off avoiding it or renaming it something else you know what i mean yeah or just don't even address what building it it is it, it doesn't it, at the end of the day it doesn't matter which building no, it serves it serves zero purpose other than to indicate that it's you know a, a novel a building. building that's about yeah, yeah that's exactly about it but uh we do have a a letters page here and uh oh my god imagine yeah. this book this book gets a letters page people it does it does and it starts with an editorial box um, which is basically the editor's way of being very lazy. They say, uh, our premiere issue seems to have broken world, several records in the comics industry. 
Not only is it the top-selling book of all time, a record we're really proud of, but the response from our readers has been equally record-breaking. The mighty Marvel mailroom is bursting with your comments from X-Force number one. We think it's safe to say we have a hit here. So this month, as well as next, we're going to present your thoughts and critiques on our maiden voyage without comment. Lazy. But before (laughs) we go, we suggest you go out and purchase the debut of our sister title, X-Men, and be part of yet another record breaker. Boy, they weren't kidding. That one one sold a, a book or two. I think it might. You want to read the first letter from Yoda? Oh, my God. Just said, I've just finished reading Numero Uno of X-Force. <laughs> and, the, and the only – this is not real. They're cre- clearly creating this. <laughs> the only thing I could say through the whole thing was, no way, oh, my, cool, gun, holy, whoa, etc. Gun? Background, gun? Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> There's no way anyone wrote that. The backgrounds are just right and not too cluttered. <laughs> not too cluttered is right. Sometimes there's literally no background. <laughs> not too cluttered is uh, is an easy way of saying that. And not too generic looking. Ooh, blank. Boy. Oh, my God. Clearly nobody's known. The page layout is cinematic. What? <laughs> is, did he even read this book? <laughs> I think Cable's have a party is going to replace Arnie's I'll be back in some circles. Uh, guess what? <laughs> I don't not think a, so. Not a chance. Anyway, oh. he gives this issue a 9.667 out of 10. If this guy could uh, could round up, he'd you know he'd fit right in there with current year with a current year reviewer for sure. 100%. Good lord. Oh. Letter no. two comes from uh, from from Benjamin. Yes. What does what does he say? Well, we're just pulling little snippets here, and he does say, I've always compared Cable to Magneto. And uh, a little bit later on in this episode, we're going to find out that Benjamin's not alone in this. Oh, my God. He should be alone in this. (laughs) I think so, too. Uh, Letter three comes from Mike, and he says, The only problem I had with this issue was Cable stopping a feral from killing. I'm not a bloodthirsty person, but I thought the whole purpose of X-Force was to get the bad guys first. Which He's is not true. wrong. That, that was supposed to be the entire mandate. Yeah, that was the whole thing. They didn't. They, Professor X was too passive and let problems come to his doorstep. Cable and X Force were going to take the fight to the bad guys, and uh, that's what made this team and the uh, and and its mission different than the other X books, which yep. was novel and it, and it stuck for like I think I think it ends after the next couple issues. It's not uh, not very long. Crazy. Um, now, one thing about the, the letters pages from Marvel, uh, they have a uh, the writers have a way of ending their missives with a silly little statement that ends with "Make mine Marvel." Do you wanna do you wanna read the the few we got here? It says, "Until Pharaoh switches the decaf, make mine Marvel." Ooh. Or how about, "Until Beast uses bikini wax, make mine Marvel." That's gross. But of course, then there's the coup de gras. The main event until Wolverine <laughs> wins a annual Elvis lookalike contest. Make mine Marvel. Oy. Ugh. Yeah. Man, well, these, do these guys think they're funny? Like, is this? Uh, <laughs> it's not. I'll tell you what. It's, it's, it's just not funny. All right. No, I'm not no. laughing. I'm more embarrassed than anything. It's but, cringe. It's, yeah. It's pure yeah. cringe here. And then if you picture things like, beast using bikini wax we apologize if we put that thought into your head uh, i don't even if, if you're thinking about that number one you're weird 
<laughs> right? And so I, I guess what I would say is that anyone who thinks any of these are funny are idiots. Make mine Marvel. <laughs> Until we get a legit laugh out of one of these, make ours Marvel. Um, but the last thing we're going to do, and uh, it's weird, we're covering all books with an October 1991 cover date here. And uh, there was something that the uh, Marvel books used to run in the bullpen bulletins called the Coolometer. And uh, a little bit later on this episode, we're going to be looking at the August Coolometer. But here, in a book published the same month, we have the September Coolometer. So we've got two Coolometers in one episode. They said it couldn't be done. And uh, (laughs) now, since this segment comes first, we'll lay out what the Coolometer is. This is a stupid little... (laughs) thermometer where the marvel bullpen ranks what they find to be cool and uh they spit in the face of things that are (laughs) uncool and uh i I figure this is probably the uh the editor in cheese uh himself and maybe bob harris and uh maybe terry cavanaugh uh you know having a having a laugh here but uh now the coolest thing in september of 1991 the coolest thing Julia Roberts. Uh, think about this now. You're back in 1991. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're hot on the heels of Pretty Woman and all that type of stuff. And she was she was a huge star, and she mm-hmm. she's still pretty well a huge star right now. So sure. this is somewhat still relevant. Hmm. Okay. Although she's transitioned from Julia Roberts, the uh, the incredibly good looking hooker, to Julia Roberts, the uh, swaddling motherly type figure right now. We'll say. I would say, yes. Um, The next coolest thing is The Adventures of Captain America. Not a chance. No, (laughs) but there's never never been a point in time outside of Winter Soldier when Cap was cool, especially not in the early 90s. Sorry. Pass. (laughs) Liars. The next coolest thing is The Fox Network. Oh, my God. With WWE Smackdown on Fox. (laughs) Oh, not back then, though. No, no. I think they're probably talking about, well, like maybe Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah. Uh, married with children. I don't know. Yeah, it was. Listen, Fox Fox back then was one of these. No, no, I wouldn't say an upstart network, but, you know, it had these things that were just a little bit slightly off the cuff. Almost like it was. outlaw. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was like treading the line. It was the attitude era of TV Punk that rock. Fox was yeah. playing. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. And it was kind of cool that Fox Fox revolutionized a lot of things we do in TV, actually. So sure. I'll, I'll agree with that. It was cool back then. Fox was definitely Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. The next coolest thing are Dinks. That stands for uh, double income or dual income. No kids. Oh, I don't know about that. I agree with that. <laughs> it, it, it seems offensive. It seems offensive to say to call someone a dink, though. I wouldn't want to. If I it's called true. you a you and your wife dinks, I think you'd be somewhat offended when you until you realize what it meant. It's true. It's true. Now, you know, there are some very weird things in these coolometers here. Um, now, the next coolest thing under dual income, no kids, is child TV stars in prison. That's cool. Now, who's the first person you think of as a child star in prison? I'll tell you who. Well, the is. world don't move. Yes, Todd Bridges, <laughs> right in the slammer. What you talking about, Willis? Willis was in jail for a long time. And even his sister, Dana, a little bit later on, ended up, uh, you know, toying with the cops as well. So, I mean... Different strokes had, man, a lot of problems, and Todd Bridges was was that child star <laughs> that everyone pointed to when they said, boy, you know, child actors, boy, they're nothing but trouble. Oh, nope, sure. Todd Bridges. 
Mm-hmm. Is he still in jail or is he out? <laughs> no, he, I think he's in jail. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Prove me wrong, Todd, yes. if you're listening. Uh, the next coolest thing, Paula Abdul. Oh, oh my. Can I tell you a story? And it's Certainly. not a good one. You can edit this if you wish. <laughs> okay. okay. So Paula Abdul, I really, 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 really loved her music back in the day. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like late 80s, early 90s Paula. But there was one video and it was called Promise of a New Day. Mm-hmm. where she's dancing under a waterfall and stuff like that. Okay. Chris, a number of my white socks went missing. <laughs> Move on. Was there a giant cartoon cat in that one? <laughs> no. Oh. oh. <laughs> that was opposites of tracks, fool. Yes. Promise of a New Day is a whole different experience, baby. <laughs> well, every, we are every, looking for a theme song for this show. So uh... every, every, every time I think of Paul Abdul, I go, yeah, play it again, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the next coolest thing you know not not quite as cool as paula abdul bananas hmm. i may I don't like gained, bananas. i may have gained a banana looking at paula <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of bananas no no so, so i knew a guy i worked with uh i worked with his name was ben mm-hmm. and he was from um oh my god i, I don't want to slander where he's from so I, i'll just say he he was not of u.s soil we'll say okay, okay? So anyway, from his country, where he came from, he uh, liked to eat bananas in a particularly odd way. And guess what that was? Did he open them upside down? He ate the peel and all. Ew. Yes. Now, I don't know if you've ever tasted a little taste of banana peel, but it's not the most uh, enjoyable thing. It has a real sharp, dagger-like taste when you put it in his mouth. And uh, his meals used to consist of that dried seaweed stuff. Okay. and a whole banana. The only thing that he would cut off was like the little, the, the top part of the stock at the top. Wow. And that was it. And he would That's eat cool. the entire thing peel on. Ooh. Yes, sir. And wow. I watched it numerous times going, oh, my God. <laughs> now, I don't I don't like anything about bananas. I don't like the taste. I don't like the texture. Um, not good stuff for me. Uh, not my favorite. Oh, I like them. I, I love them. I think they're delicious. They're delicious in smoothies. They're just delicious cut up over uh, cereal. They're just delicious, Chris. You're missing <laughs> out. You're, you're missing out, brother. I gotta I tell your I gotta tell your wife to get you some bananas. <laughs> <laughs> now, something that's just a little less cool than bananas is diplomatic immunity. Hmm. What is what was going on back in '91 that diplomatic immunity was a big thing? I don't know. I don't. I'm like this isn't Oliver North. Um, how how old was how far back was Ollie North? I think that was uh, like 87 ish. So what would diplomatic immunity mean in Nelson 90- Mandela maybe? Ooh, I don't know. Mandela effect invading the show. <laughs> if our uh, if any of our listeners can yes. point out to what diplomatic immunity meant back in 91, by all means fill me in. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Now just a little less cool than diplomatic immunity is motorcycles. Oh yeah, you got a motor. Take a ride on the back of my motorcycle, baby. <laughs> I mean I, that 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 is the ultimate douchebag machine, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like 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 I'm I'm a guy. Like I've got I've got four kids, man, and I drive a minivan. Okay, I drive mm-hmm. a crappy minivan that's beaten to death by shopping carts back and forth to work, and. Uh, <laughs> And then I look at these guys who are riding on a like a motorcycle that they have no business being on, and uh, this is what they go back and forth in. But you know what? They're only cool in good weather. So you know what? In Arizona, you might be able to get away with it. Sure. In Newfoundland, where uh, you know hell comes to Frogtown 95% of the time, 
You should not be driving a motorcycle in Newfoundland. We do not have smooth roads. We have the weather that changes every five minutes. It might be four seasons in one by the time you get to work. And these douchebags think that they can still ride the motorcycle. Yeah, look how cool I am driving in the rain and the hail and the snow all in one day. They got to justify the payment, right? I can't make the payment if it just sits in the garage. Uh <laughs> I think at this point, we actually tip the scales. We're at like the middle of the thermometer here, and we're going to start looking at things that are uncool. So the least uncool thing of September 1991 was uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Ooh, that's a pretty sharp dagger-like throw at the uh, the thing. But I got to agree. I, I, was, was not a fan, I was not a fan of Tiny Toon Adventures. I'm a Looney Tunes guy, 100%. That was on Fox. So I know. What are they doing here? It's, what a, it's what a, almost, almost slanderous. Yeah, what a, uh, what a, what a dissonance in their, uh, in their coolometer. Now, um, wasn't, there, wasn't there a Tiny Toon Adventures comic book? Oh, there almost had to have been. So who published that? That's a good question. I don't know. I got to do some gaggling here while we're yeah. rummaging yeah. through that. Yeah, you you do that, and I will keep going with uh, the next. You know, something a little less cool than Tiny Adventures, Tiny Toon Adventures, is marrying millionaires. Oh, now who would that be put against? Who's who's that? Who's uh, who's marrying millionaires? Smith was oh, she... married that old guy. Oh, and yeah. and I mean, not even old. I mean, this guy was, was like a fossil. A, like he was, he was dead four times over. <laughs> he was a fossil, yeah. Yes, man. He was, he was like skin on bone. He was like a weekend. At, I think he was actually dead, and it was like a like a weekend at Bernie's type of deal. <laughs> Probably. Guaranteed. Oh. Man, he was bad. Just imagine, like, think think about what you would do for money, and think it, <laughs> and think about doing that. And what do you think? Well, I think Meatloaf said it best, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Indeed, um, you're right. I would not do that either. Speaking of meatloaf, though, the next uncool thing on this list, 70s rock groups. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to agree. I was a 80s slash 90s rock type of guy. And, I mean, you had the uh, – I don't know how to describe 70s rock. It's just this – when you think about cool music, 70s really never ever pops up on my set list. I don't know about you when I'm doing a unless unless you're on a yacht. I'm a I'm a fan <laughs> of some yacht rock. Yeah, yacht rock. <laughs> uh, oh, I can, I can oh. do some Christopher Cross. Anything with Michael McDonald is great. <laughs> oh, brutal. Okay, <laughs> Tiny Toon Adventures was actually Marvel, so they're slandering their own product. Ooh, How about that? Maybe maybe they lost the license. It was almost like in a magazine format, but it was done by Marvel. So there you go. Weird. How about that? Hmm. Very weird. Now, um, a little bit less cool than the uh, than the rock groups is uh, toner, total lunar eclipses. Every time someone says something about a an eclipse, I've always think of uh, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, Little Shop of Turn Horrors. Turn around. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, Little Shop. Oh, gross. Stop. <laughs> oh. You always that always comes out of nowhere when you mention that, you know, I always think of Rick Moranis and how much I love that guy in Canadian television. And then you remind me of Little Shop of Horrors and my <laughs> passion for him goes right down the toilet. Suddenly Seymour. Um, <laughs> you know, they're thinking about remaking that. Why would they do that? I don't know. Like maybe Rick Moranis will come out of retirement and like do a good version of it. I don't know. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. No, uh, something that's a little less cool than a uh, total lunar eclipses is Marvel fanfare. 
man, they are burying their own stuff. I got to agree. I I couldn't stand Marvel fanfare. Crap. Yeah. It always seemed like Kazar would pop up there all the time. In the Savage <laughs> world. I don't know what that says about those properties. Not great. Um, less cool than Marvel fanfare is country and Western music. Ooh. I I I can't call myself a country fan. I and and especially back to back in the day because 90s you know the the popularity of country music back then had not hit I think it was Billy Ray Cyrus that would actually change country music when he came in with Achy Breaky Heart but Probably. but uh, boy was country music dead in the water at that point I mean nobody wanted grumpy old Johnny Cash and you know like the old fossils of country yeah. oh my god and who was the, who was that guy that ended up naked out in the parking lot oh um Randy Tra- Randy <laughs> Travis <laughs> I'm not joking. Just just look up Randy Travis naked in parking lot, and and I'll, it's there. I'll have to turn off my safe search. Anyway, now less cool than country music is the disco duck himself, Rick Dees. Ooh, I love Rick Dees. You know, I, th- I, I, th- I think I, when I started when I started doing radio, I do commercials for my uh, for my business and all sure. that stuff that. That I do, and I and I always wanted to do radio like Rick D's, and I think the first couple times that I that I did commercials, I think the people in the studio were like, "Who is this idiot trying to do Rick?" <laughs> Hi, it's Rick D's, and I'm playing the top forty, and everyone's you know everyone's got their radio voice. But man, he used to do two to three hours of that, and I don't know how we, how you find it, but it's exhausting to speak like that for three hours. Oh, dude, we did a uh, we did that Teen Titans um, number twelve uh, treadmill. Where I did Wolfman Jack's voice for because uh, it was they had that radio DJ in it and the whole time I'm like yeah dry cat kittens it was like it was, <laughs> oh man it was brutal and that was only like an hour so yeah I'm doing like the hey it's a uh, hey what's 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 shaking kids and I couldn't do that for <laughs> what shaking kids how old are we we're we're fossils we are hey, we're, hey, we're kids. almost in Anna Nicole Smith's uh, radar <laughs> uh, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny though. do that. <laughs> I just learned uh, that Rick Dees, when he had his talk show, he had his uh, late night talk show for a little bit, and uh, one of the people that performed on it was Marvel's own Nightcat. What? Who the hell is Nightcat? Nightcat. You don't remember Nightcat, the Marvel music um, comic? No, I do not. What do you speak I... of, young man? Oh, I think uh, we might have to add something to a future Moratory Monday. Oh, we we. Nightcat is something else. Uh, uh, I think uh, you pop that into your Google machine, and uh, you'll probably recognize it. Okay. But uh, yeah, she they actually did a whole album for this uh, for this Nightcat character. Um, our our good friend uh, Hoju uh, Adam told uh, told me about this that ah. uh, that she was on uh, Rick Dees' show and uh, he's trying to track down footage of it but can't find it so uh, if anybody well, listen, out there listening listen, if if no if if Hoju can't find it it can't be found is all I'll tell you probably not findable yes but uh <laughs> if anybody has it on a VHS tape somewhere in a basement or in an attic you know get that get that stuff online for us here uh, now uh, a little bit less cool than Mr. Rick Dees is lip syncing ooh uh, Billy Vanilli, well, right? Oh man, don't talk about Millie Vanilli in slanderous terms. 
I love Millie Vanilli. I'm not even joking. I like people and people in my age were listening to GNR. They were into Metallica, and I secretly had two tapes that I wouldn't tell anybody about. And one was <laughs> Millie Vanilli. Not even the real stuff. It was the remix album. Oh boy. Say, you might say the remix album. What does that sound like? Well, it was all full of like like full of edited cuts of their you know, their three or four songs that they had. So it'd be like like Blame It on the Rain would be Blame It on the Rain, 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 Blame It on the Star. That's that's it shines at night. That's how they were found out too. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they played the remix album they and they the got all everyone got confused. <laughs> Man, I love Millie Vanilli. I don't care. I don't even care. So what was that other tape you had? Okay, you ready? <laughs> whoa, 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 just oh. hanging tough. New kids on the block. Oh, did, 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 so you uh, you you uh, knew the steps. You know all the steps then, right? Step one, you have we'll lots have of lots of fun. Step, Step two, two, it's just me and you. <laughs> My wife hates it. <laughs> <laughs> step three, three. Oh, we're, we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do step by step one of these times. I'm one of the uh, I'm telling you right now. I think so. <laughs> if, any, if, if any of our Claremont to Claremont uh, guest stars would like to join us in a, a stirring rendition of step by step, <laughs> oh, we're all over. Yeah, no, I, I I want um, what's the one we'll have lots of fun? Step one. Step one is we'll have lots of fun. We'll have lots of fun. <laughs> Was that Danny Woods? I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe it was the one that looked like John Travolta. I don't know. <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> Everyone had the... What? Anyway. What? Uh, <laughs> oh, now, just under Millie Vanilli, or, or lip syncing, uh, is uh, goatees. Goatees are not cool, according no, to Mark. No, goatees were not cool, but they thought back in the late 80s that pencil-thin porn stashes... <laughs> Cool. So I take a goatee over that any time of the year. Every day, yes. Um, now, uh, going back to Paula Abdul, the next uncool thing. Yes, I was going to say, I found my tools. I found my tube socks. Tube socks <laughs> are uncool. And I think we just found out why they're uncool. So uh, we could probably just move on. Why are they um, hard? <laughs> <laughs> the next uncool thing is uh, flea markets. Oh, I disagree. Hoju would freak if someone said that the flea markets were uncool. Yeah, no, that's... What's wrong with these people? That's where you find buried treasure. That's where I got my uh, $6 million man figure. That's where I got my Aquaman superpowers figure. People need to... Whoever wrote this needs a beating. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it might be Tom DeFalco. (laughs) (laughs) He'd hit kickers. (laughs) The next... uh, The third uncoolest thing of the month is Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, sacrilege. You people, listen, go put on Lost Boys and shut your mouth. Kiefer Sutherland is God. What was he doing in 91, you think? Was was that Lost Boys or was that in the late 80s? No, that was late 80s. Okay, so I wonder so, what he was doing. He must have been doing stupid stuff like uh, Flatliners. Okay. Now, uh, the second most uncool thing in September of 1991 is bowling. Yeah, can't disagree. Mm-hmm. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy bowling, but it's, it's something... Yeah, but uh, it just seems like very antiquated. It's one of those things that you did as a kid and growing up. It's something that maybe I would get my kids to do, and they look at it like, oh, Dad, what are we doing in this stupid place? Why are we going to this place that smells bad? It's, it stinks, and the balls <laughs> are all weird. and I don't know. 
some bowling alleys you go to and they have like their state of the art like they got digital the lasers and yeah lasers and they have all kinds like the music is throbbing in the whole thing and the ball racks come out it's really really cool and then you've got these old ones where you know they have trenches in the uh, in the alleys and mm. they've got like this weird smell of like steve ditko and onions it's really <laughs> Now, are you ready for the most uncool thing in September oh, 1991? Wait. I can't wait. Hit it. Hit me up with it. The metric system. That's pretty crappy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was definitely not on the bottom of my list, but I'll go with it. Sure, why not? Mar- you know, the the Marvel coolometer is right. You know, it, it stopped clocking a Marvel coolometer is right twice a day. I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, there's one more. I think it's right at the very bottom. It's Tom Ooh. DeFalco. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't have like Jim Shooter at the bottom here, oh, man. <laughs> just to be jerks. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that is uh, the coolometer for September. We're going to have two kilometers today, and uh, you'll be able to hear, because the metric system is on the August one too, but we can see how it moves, because uh, these things are trending. Um, these are living and breathing coolometers. It's a, it's a wild ride. But uh, I think uh, that's all we have for uh, the first three issues of X-Force, the first batch of uh, reader feedback, some very, very polite and very, very excited reader feedback. But uh, I, uh, they, they, I, they weren't readers, let's be honest. That's DeFalco <laughs> and his goons writing stuff. <laughs> it's DeFalco and Grunewald, uh, you know, in the uh, in the spare <laughs> office. <laughs> Can we get this stamped in another zip code? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. But uh, unless there's anything you want to add to this rambunctious segment, uh, I think well, that's about what we've got. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we got Spider-Man ready to kick it in Spider-Man number 16, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see where uh, X-Force goes from here. Absolutely. So thank you so, so much. You want to do some plugs before uh, we hop to the next segment? Why, certainly. Uh, you'll find me over on the, the Twitter machine, at Charlton underscore hero. You'll also find me and uh, the, the guy that I'm currently podcasting with right here, Mr. Chris Sheehan, over on Moratory Mondays, where we take a deep dive into Strike Force Moratory and a whole lot of other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So if, <laughs> if you're into uh, a little bit, little bit of a podcast that's slightly off the cuff, I think you might want to check that one out. Uh, mm-hmm. As well, uh, we do Superblog team up uh, four times a year. So uh, who knows when the next one will be? Uh, with uh, with the current uh, current political situation <laughs> or uh, real life situation, who knows what the next one will be? But mm-hmm. uh, we're looking forward to something real soon. So that's me. That is Chris Bailey, and we just had a blast here uh, talking X Force. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again so much for uh, for hanging out and uh, I'll send it over to the next segment. I hope you're into <sighs> recycling. Now, I promised myself I wasn't going to start this one by saying across the pond, so I won't. Uh, instead, we're just going to say we're going to be talking about Excalibur right now. Excalibur number 42. It's uh, Alan Davis coming in and uh, taking over and uh, sort of shaking things up. And to join me on this trek through Excalibur is my pal, Jesse Starcher. How you doing, Jesse? My goodness, Chris Sheehan. I'm glad I am here to hang out with you and talk a little. This this project, this project that you have undertaken, <laughs> sir, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm glad I can participate. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I really, really appreciate it. It's uh, it's going to be a good time. And the thing of it is, uh, you 
uh, don't have much history or you don't have any history with, with Excalibur, correct? That's correct. I mean, I know some of the characters, obviously, just because I've read some comic books and seen the characters in passing, but I've never sure. sat down and read very much Excalibur straight through. I've always if there was a crossover, a big event, X, X event or whatever, X over, if you will, and Excalibur happened to be a part of it, then most likely I picked that up or at some point read it. But outside of just really binging Excalibur, never did it. So I don't know what to expect. Perfect, perfect. You know, uh, there's a another fellow on the on the program here, uh, Jeremiah, who's doing X Factor, and he's never read it, uh, that that era of X Factor. So I, I love that there's just such a, a diversity in um, experience levels with uh, this era of books because uh, so so many times I wish I could re-experience these for the first time, and and it's going to be really cool to actually you know be alongside people who are experiencing this for the first time. So I think we're going to have uh, some very interesting uh, thoughts and opinions as we keep going through. Um, now, I, there was a question that I've been asking all the co-hosts, but uh, I, I think the I think it stops here because you never bought X-Men number one, right? Not off the stands. Uh, I may end up, I may have ended up with it <laughs> secondhand at some point. It might be laying in a long box somewhere, but uh, that was a that was a huge book, and I'm mm-hmm. really honestly surprised at myself that I didn't buy it off the stands at the time. Most likely, it was because I didn't have it on my pool list. I was lucky enough okay. to have a comic shop in my area that had a pool list. Feet, you know, they they would let you put down whatever you wanted from the previews mag, and oh, wow. that one escaped me. How about that? Yeah, that's like almost unheard of for that era where they just let you do that without charging you uh, charging you a convenience fee. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Um, and uh, you did say uh, off the air that you did buy uh, uh, some X Force number ones uh, uh, just recently or, or fairly recently. Yeah, they were again. Ta- they were in a bunch of comics that I picked up at an auction, which I have. Uh, usually the thing that I do is I go out and buy comics in bulk as cheap as I can. Okay. I'm not sure. proud to say I'm a cheapskate, but I will go ahead and say that I'm a cheapskate as much You're comics as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can get it for, you know, a real cheap price, well, it turns out this long box had a bunch of uh, X-Force number ones polybagged in mm-hmm. the, and not opened. So whoever was collecting that these at the time were going after those trading cards. Now, the question is, did I crack one open and read it? The answer is no. Ooh. You're, you're yeah. missing something great. No, <laughs> That's what not. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, we've established that Excalibur is a new property to you, but the X-Men certainly aren't. So how about you tell That's us right. how you uh, how you became introduced uh, to the X-Men family of titles? Where did you come in? What did you dig? How long did you stick around? Okay. So... I thought about this question quite a bit today, and (laughs) I want to take you back to 1988, all right? A young 10-year-old whippersnapper uh, who just so happened to go into the People's News, which, you know, that's probably a a regional type uh, books or a newsstand deal, (laughs) but uh, walked in there, and sure enough, there sits Mark Silvestri's X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, right there on the shelves, and if you remember Inferno, that oh, yeah. large crossover that was going on, something appealed to me. And I'm going to say that Mark Silvestri drew 
a wonderful Madeline Pryor. And oh, yeah. she was featured <laughs> right there on the front <laughs> book, uh, front of the book. And I, I sure enough, I grabbed that off the newsstand and I was hooked. Uh, uh, Inferno, I think, gripped, you know, at least touched a lot of the titles going on through sure. the Marvel Universe. And I had uh, was picking up Spider-Man at the time as well. Just whenever I could get it off the newsstand, I would. So I'd say probably about 10 years old is probably when I got my first X-Men comic. And then I just as best as I could and as allowance would allow. And, you know, whenever my mom would let me go into the people's news, I could pick up the latest issue and hopefully I wouldn't miss any. Mm -hmm. Um, So so Inferno starts with 241 because I'm looking through and I'm like, okay, when was this? This is 1988. I think it hits the shelves October of 88. And I was looking at the covers and I was going uh, collecting, I think, at least 241 all the way up to, I think, 251. So I got 10 issues. That's a pretty big feat for a kid who's just walking into the newsstand and praying that it's there. For sure. Um, Yeah. So and that was I was looking at the artists on that, too. We had Mark Silvestri, 245. Rob Liefeld shows up, does an Mm -hmm. issue. Uh, Then uh, Mark Silvestri does 246, 247. Jim Lee steps in and does, I think, his first X-Men issue, which is 248. And then uh, we go back to Mark Silvestri. So long story short, it was 10 years old. I started probably as faithfully as I could collecting X-Men and staying up with those characters. Now I knew a little bit about X factor. I knew a little bit about the other X books that were going on around just because Inferno touched on a good bit of those characters, especially between X factor and X-Men at the time. Uh, So I was trying to get as much as I could with Inferno itself, but mainly staying faithful to the X books and Spider-Man. So kind of going outside of those two titles, I was kind of scared to pick up something Because I didn't know if I would like it. I didn't know Mm -hmm. if I'd like that character. You know, if Captain America was sitting there, I didn't know if I wanted to pick that up and read it. Because I don't know, you know, I don't know who his villains are. You know, of course, back then, if the cover looked cool, most likely I'd try to do my best to grab it if I could. But I was wanting to stay with the people I was familiar with. So I probably continued to read what was going on with X-Men up through probably. I remember staying in touch during the Fatal Attractions uh, event and mm-hmm. of course age of apocalypse so i'd say straight up to i don't know the 90s maybe early 2000s because when cable showed up one of mm-hmm. my favorite characters i was getting his book and again this was another one that i put on the pool list uh, i was getting cable and man those were the days when i was going to college <laughs> i would go to college for like i don't know five or six weeks and come back home and stop by the comic book store and of course he was he was kind enough to keep every single comic that I wanted, which were like three or four comics. But I would drop like, I don't know, like 50 bucks on comics every time sure. I came home and I would walk home with, you know, I, I was able to stay up with cable. And, and so I was really mutant centric, I guess you would say, for quite mm-hmm. a while up through about, I would say, the mid 90s. And then I uh, maybe late 90s. And then I just kind of got out of comic book collecting for a little while. Sure, and sure. Uh, everything <laughs> Everything got a little too convoluted for me to just jump right back in. <laughs> it's it's interesting you say that because I um you know I started about 91 92 and I stayed with it very brief breaks uh you know less than a year at a time uh, if I you know was just broke or if I was just angry at a direction I would stop for a little bit but uh for the most part I've had more or less an uninterrupted run for almost for about 30 years and uh I did drop 
the books about two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. That's when they were doing like X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, X-Men Black, X-Men Red. And it was just way too weird. And uh, and I did have I did still have a working knowledge of the of the team and the characters. And I was reading it. Uh, I was still reading it at that point. And we got to those color books and nobody nobody was uh, identifiable to me. I couldn't mm-hmm. recognize anybody just the way it was written and the way they were uh, depicted. Um, you know, sure, uh, you know, I could tell that the girl with red hair is Jean Grey, you know, or the, the young Jean Grey. I could mm-hmm. tell the guy with the visor was Cyclops, but they just weren't the same characters. And uh, I dropped out and I actually stayed away probably for the longest I've ever stayed away, which was like two or three years and I started collecting again with uh, this Dawn of X stuff that's going on right now. And I tell you what, I I feel like I, you know, I'm 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 about to go over a waterfall and I only have one oar. You know, yeah. I don't know anything that's going on. Uh, these characters, I don't know much about anything. It's just so strange. And uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about with trying to get back in, but it's just not not inviting in the slightest yeah i think the uh, last the last of uh x-men event or title that i read was what was it called where they was it all new x-men where they or which one was it where they brought the originals back yeah where they brought the originals forward in time yeah all new x-men okay so i was i dug that for quite a bit and i wanted to stay with it but again it was something that i just you know there was too much going on to where i i couldn't Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it, and I, but I enjoyed it. I did, I did like what was going on, on the page, but that was the last time I actually read something that I can recall that was uh, pure X Men, sure. uh, that recent anyway. And after that, how many man? How many years ago was that? That was like it's going 2013? on like twenty twelve. Yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah. close to ten now. So yeah, but you know that's uh, there. I, I, I listen to the podcasts. That's the thing. I stay up with the podcasts. It just that way I can kind of keep in tune with the current events. That's about the best way I I know how to do it right now. And if something really piques my interest, I may go read it. But as of right now, I'm unfortunately out of the mm. X titles. I, I've uh, I've got a very tall stack of the Dawn of X books. I, I started like really you know full of vim and vigor. <laughs> like oh, I'm gonna read these every time they come out. And uh, yeah, that lasted about a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marvel started doing their, you know, their double shipping thing, so you'd get two issues every month of like every book in the line. So it's Gosh. so yeah. So in my my monthly DCBS packet, instead of just getting one of each book, I'm getting two of each book. It's mm-hmm. it's just a big pile. But you know, we're we're all at home these days, so maybe I will uh, get to check them out. <laughs> Find <officially>. some time. <laughs> <laughs> now we are here to discuss. Another October 1991 book, and that is Excalibur number 42. It's got a very strange cover. Um, yes. <laughs> Boy, this thing looks weird. I remember I remember this cover is what's strange, because when you go to the comic book store, you know, back in the day, everything was just so – you had so much to pick from that looked sure. so cool. But this cover, I remember just seeing it back when it hit the shelves. Oh, yeah. It's very, very um, – it, it's just very unique. Uh, we have our team, and they're all, like, looking into – looking, like, toward the reader. They're all, like, petrified. They're all freaked out. And in the foreground, we see, like, this little tiny cartoon chicken <laughs> <laughs> telling them to prepare to die. So uh, – We pair to die. <laughs> we pair yeah. to die. 
I feel <laughs> so this... I feel a Tweety Bird vibe there. I, I'm yeah, just I, getting that. I, I tore, I tore, yeah. But, <laughs> but this one, this issue is called A Hatch is Plotted. Written mm-hmm. and drawn by Alan Davis, with inks by Mark Farmer. Letters Michael Heisler, colors Glynis Oliver, edited by Terry Cavanaugh. The chief is Tom DeFalco. This one, and this is important, uh, has a cover price of $1.75, which puts it... Mm-hmm. Uh, which puts it a little bit higher than the other X-Books at the time, and uh, that's why I didn't buy it. I didn't buy Excalibur because it was 50 cents more than the other X-Books. So this one was uh, wow. one of those too-rich-for-my-blood <laughs> books. Yeah, I, I don't blame you there. That's that, When you're talking 1991, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm curious as to why the big price jump, unless it was like... You know, I think the the justification for all that was better paper quality or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. Something. But uh, <laughs> most likely, you're probably right. That's probably why I wasn't picking up Excalibur number 42 at the time either. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like if if like if school the if the school lunch program like raised the prices and I got a couple more cents every day, then I should have I would have gotten it. But <laughs> they they didn't. So mm-hmm. Excalibur stayed on the shelf. Uh, Thankfully, though, Excalibur is like the X book that you'll find in a, any random 25 cent bin. So mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to catch up if you need to or if you want to. And uh, maybe after we go through this issue, you will want to. Uh, now, this one opens uh, at the old pier in Brighton, England here. This is the headquarters of TechNet. Now, TechNet is weird. Let's talk about them because this <laughs> This is something where I was like, who in the world are these people? And am Mm -hmm. I supposed to take them seriously? Because I can't. (laughs) TechNet, I, um, as you know, as I just said, I I wasn't reading uh, Excalibur. The only way I knew who or what TechNet was was from the Marvel trading cards. And they always just looked, and I mean, it's by design. They look stupid. They look goofy as hell. And, uh, I could never imagine myself reading a story with TechNet <laughs> as the bad guys. Yeah. It's uh, very, very strange stuff here. It's very, it's very Excalibur. It's, uh, it's weird how, how fitting this group is with this, uh, with this team. Um, yeah, just the just side, real, but yeah. Real quick. I, you know, like I said, this is the first time I'm jumping into Excalibur. So, I'm used to the probably the grim and gritty of okay. the X books, you know, and we hop into Excalibur and then I get this and I'm like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I obviously, you know, I am I, I'm coming into this with a different mindset than I should. So is this and I know as we go through the story, you're going to obviously get across some of the humor elements that happen mm-hmm. through this. But I mean, is this par for the course for Excalibur at this time? Is that what I, is that what we're expecting? Is kind of like you know we get a bit of a, some heroics, but then we get a little bit of humor as well. It is lighter, yeah. It is a lighter okay. book. Um, you know, the Excalibur is like this very weird. This, this volume of Excalibur is like a very weird sandwich for me. I, I'm familiar with. I'm. I've read the entire thing. I'm familiar with the beginning. I'm familiar with the end. But the middle part, though, I read it is kind of a blur outside of, okay. like you said, the tie-ins, you know, the, the tie-ins with uh, the Phalanx Covenant, the tie-ins with the other X-Books. But, uh, yeah, I, I always got the impression that this was uh, the goofier book uh, when mm-hmm. I would find a couple in the cheapo bin when I was a kid. 
like they were always just very strange stories um regardless of who was writing them it seemed it it, it always had just a different vibe than the other mm. than the other x books but uh yeah technet's weird uh gatecrasher their leader is is also quite weird uh, it's a very large uh, blue woman um who uh she uh, is giddily announcing that something is alive we don't know what this is just yet uh, the rest of the team, they're all thinking that she's lost her mind. You know, they're, they're like, oh, what is this lady talking about? Uh, she assures them that this is not the case and produces the answer to all of their Excalibur-related problems and uh, kidnapping Phoenix in particular. And that answer is an egg. Yeah, well, okay. All right. A hatch is plotted for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and it's so funny because the the... the the members, the other members of, of you know, TechNet are sitting here looking at this egg with, you know, absolute terror on their faces. Yeah. All right. Um, so, OK, now I don't have all the members of TechNet in front of me, but I could tell you I know one of them is the weirdest looking thing I've seen. One of the weirdest the looking villains. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is Joy Boy. Joy Boy, who, I, I mean, okay, Sheehan, do your best. Do your best to describe to our listeners what Joy Boy looks like. It looks like a floating um, baby with a bloated belly and very small appendages. Um, it doesn't look to have uh, any uh, reproductive organs. Um, <sighs> it is in, like... Like a half float, like a half of an egg floating. It's very, it's 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 disturbing. Yes, horrifying <laughs> is the word. <laughs> that is the word. And for for a villain to be named Joy Boy and look like that, um, yes. I, I granted most likely just according to what I've read, that's obviously in relation to the powers of Joy Boy. Joy Boy apparently is let's see what did they say that he could do uh he could telepathically detect a person's greatest desire and use psionic powers to fulfill a distorted version of the wish so Mm. hence joy boy not the name (laughs) i would have come up with but all right no no the terror baby yes uh, now, you know, we have the answer to all the Excalibur problems here, so let's go ahead and meet Excalibur. Uh, we shift scenes over to their lighthouse, and breakfast is underway. The radio is on, and from it we hear a news reporter discussing Excalibur's latest adventure. Now, he suggests that the team ought to be honored by the Queen, but Nightcrawler is not feeling that. He thinks that the media, and one reporter in specific, is leeching off of their heroic feats. He's uh, really ruining breakfast, unfortunately. Uh, he's he's really getting in the way of everybody having a good time. We got like Captain Britain. He's like holding his head. He's like, please just stop. Uh, now, Megan is uh, preparing breakfast, and she says uh, that she'll make Nightcrawler an egg, probably just to give him something to put in his mouth so he stops talking. And uh, she opens up the carton, and what do you know? One of the eggs flies out and ping-pongs all over the kitchen before settling on the table. And cracking open. I just watched Ghostbusters like two days ago. And that was the scene that goes through my mind when I see this. The eggs are flying around and they're going to start cooking themselves. No, that's not the case. No, no. This is something altogether different. Now, what emerges from this crackling egg is the terrifying, 
horrifying, genociding, hard boiled <laughs> Henry. <laughs> With HBH right there on, inscribed yes. on his chest. And a clock this guy on his head. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, no, we're we're going to discuss this because we a hatch has been plotted here, folks. It has been. It, it has been plotted. Now, I, just real quick on the members of Excalibur here mm-hmm. in front of us. Obviously, the one that I'm the most familiar with is going to be Nightcrawler, sure. uh, because I've, I, you know, in the past I've read plenty of books with him in it, especially with X Men and all that. Uh, Captain Britain I've seen, but I can't say that I've read so much. Oh, oh of course, and Kitty Pride too. Can't forget mm-hmm. her. Uh, Phoenix, I know a little bit about. I know she's supposedly, and I don't know if this is different in this era, but I, from what I remember, she's like an alternate timeline future daughter of Scott and Jean. Is yes. that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. And she was uh, like brainwashed into being a hound um, where she would hunt down mutants for uh, for like Nimrod and the Sentinels. So. And I think Ahab got involved. <laughs> they they kept oh, adding wow. layers to that to old okay. to poor old Phoenix. And then Megan, no idea. I had to do research. I may have read something with her in it. From what I understand, she like takes on the appearance of oh, well, I can't even even think of the power set that she has. But in other words, like people's perception of her is her appearance or what people want her to be is her appearance or something like that. I have no, I can't remember specifically. I might it's, be way it's off. It's pretty weird. Yeah. No, it, you're, you're right. It's, it's weird. Uh, she does change her appearance. Uh, sometimes she'll be like a monster. Sometimes she'll be a mermaid. It's, it, it's, it's a very, it, it's like a hard power to like, to like do the elevator pitch for, cause it is just so okay. weird. And uh, it can be very uh, convenient <laughs> when need be. But, you know, like yeah. most of them, I guess, suppose. But Then we have Lockheed, right? Yes, Lockheed the Dragon, and we also have and then, Widget. Widget, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, Widget, continue, sir. <laughs> Widget we're going to learn a bit about later on. Um, uh, now, we got this little birdie who pops out. Um, I, it's almost like an amalgamation of uh, of that, like, little pain-in-the-ass bird Henry Hawk from uh, Looney Tunes and yeah. Tweety Bird together, kind of. <laughs> Yep. Oh, yeah. What, he's got an attitude. Now, Trudy Bird barely had every once in a while he had an attitude. But, yeah, you're right. The the uh, it was a Henry Hawk. Is that was is that was. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That uh, that definitely makes me uh, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I, I've seen Tweety Bird have an attitude when he when 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 it's airbrushed on a T-shirt, like usually wearing like a, like baggy pants and like a do-rag. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You get those that at the mall right. kiosk. Yeah, it's uh, good stuff. But uh, now, Henry sure he said here, something like attitude or something, something on there, something goofy. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Henry here uh, continues with the twetting remarks, and uh, that clock on his bulbous yellow noggin begins to tick. And so we uh, we know we find out here that this is no ordinary bird. It's actually a bomb. <laughs> this bird is a bomb. Wow. All right then. Yes, and with a thoom, the roof of the lighthouse is blown to smithereens, and across the sea we can see TechNet celebrating finally having bested the Xyz. Yes, indeed. So, all right, we have our at least first casualty, and that's going to be the suicide bomber, the mad <laughs> bomber himself, <laughs> hard, hard-boiled Henry. Hard-boiled Henry. I, I have... <laughs> I, I can't believe he shows up with all this, you know, 
he's full of piss and vinegar, and then yeah. he decides to explode <laughs> and try to kill everybody. So really messed up, really messed up. And I, I always remember it's it's weird. It's been a long time since I read this issue before now, and I always remember Henry being around like more than just two pages. Oh wow! <laughs> just the fact that he's gone so fast. It's like wait, that's it. So <laughs> he's gone. I, I didn't know if this character had a history before, and I was like, okay, well, this guy shows up. He's deemed, an, uh, you know, they're obviously very concerned. He seems like a threat. He's pointing at them. He's got furrowed eyebrows. He's very upset, and then he's <laughs> I, I assume he's dead. I guess yeah, that's he, the end of Harlow Henry. He's going to be gone for a long time. I think he gets brought back, oh, boy, probably like 1998, 1999. I, it was, it was like after... Explain this. <laughs> retcon how in the world he survived this i want to know it, it was when uh i think it was when chris claremont took over fantastic four after uh scott lobdell left after heroes return and uh claremont it was one of claremont's first marvel assignments back and he basically like made the fantastic four into like an x-book <laughs> like where they fought some x-villains and it was very very soapy like the x-men books it was a very weird time i enjoy it but uh, but it was very strange. And I think I, I'm not 100 percent, but I think Henry showed up during that. All right. So th- well, it is possible. Good. I'm, glad he lives. I'm glad he lives. <laughs> I, he might have died that issue, though. So we don't know. <laughs> oh, geez. That's like that's his gimmick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he shows up no. and dies every issue. Oh, my, oh, my goodness. Me. Oh, my goodness. They killed Henry. <laughs> you bastards. Um, <laughs> now. <laughs> No, the bad guys, they, they're watching and then they teleport inside the remains of the lighthouse. So they you know, they want to collect the bodies of the of the good guys here. Unfortunately for them, Excalibur is still alive. You see, uh, before the boom the bomb went boom, Rachel was able to deflect the blast. And so uh, Excalibur's okay, and we spend a few pages of Excalibur and Technet punching and kicking each other about the face. Yes, they and, are going at it here. We gotta full force battle i i picked out a couple of my favorite spots in the in the uh in this uh dotty brook if you will so uh, there is one point i think where uh, i i wish i could remember his name he's the scaly he's got uh he looks like a lizard crossed with a A bird maybe it, yeah okay there we go and all, all he's saying he's like he's all, all i am is the accountant he's not like engaging with anybody <laughs> he's standing off to the side and captain Britain just bumps into him and he's like you want some bro and then proceeds to like punch him right in the stomach while this guy's like no look i'm just an accountant and then he gets nailed and i'm like oh this poor dude okay yeah. uh <laughs> The accountant ah. is Numbers. That's his name. Numbers. Numbers. Okay, Numbers. All right, there we go. Uh, then we have, my goodness, I should have done some research on the names of these guys. One dude looks like from TechNet looks like a straight up battle toad. Okay, I don't know <laughs> that if you might be the battle. Big. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the battle toads name. All right, so I mean, he looks like maybe the most formidable of the bunch because he's all, you know, he's squatting. He's like muscular as all get out. Uh, and then if you're not running from Joy Boy just because oh, he's floating boy. towards you, I don't know what the problem would be. <laughs> uh, yeah, there. this is a, you know, this battle goes on for, I don't know, a good two or three pages. It does, um, yeah. Before everything gets stopped. Yes. Everything gets stopped 
right in, right where they're at, like except for Excalibur is able to move. So this is interesting. Yes, the techies are all frozen, and, and we have uh, you know, Gatecrasher is just a, she's just walloping Britain in the face here, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden just stops, and she's about to hit him again, but she's frozen, and uh, a portal opens, and uh, we have two figures stepping out, and this is where we meet Horatio Cringebottom and Bert. Uh, Cringebottom, all right. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Um, now, they work for the Majestrix Opa Luna Saturnine by decree of the Omniversal Guardian Roma, which is probably the most excalibur sentence ever spoke. Mm. Okay. Because that is very Excalibur-heavy. <laughs> Opa Luna Saturnine and Roma. Uh, uh, with, you know, of course, Mr. Cringebottom and, and his buddy Bert. Uh, now, Horatio informs the team that they're here. They got to take a look at Widget, which... Oh, we didn't mention what widget looks like. It's a little robot head-looking thing that kind of floats around and hangs around the team. Yeah. Uh, and we will learn uh, their origins uh, later on down the line. It's a very weird, very strange stuff here. Uh, it's going to be an odd revelation. Um, no, well, he's uh, an odd-looking it, character. I mean, just oh, a floating sure. head, you know, you're just like, what is going on? Obviously, prior to these issues... Uh, I just could pick up that he's been getting into some hijinks, according to yeah. the editor's notes anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a unique looking character. Doesn't speak a whole lot. It doesn't sound like it no. just looks like he's kind of like your your everyday, you know, metal head for a pet, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's second Lockheed. <laughs> mm, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, Kitty and Rachel, they try to reason with the fellas, but they ain't hearing none of this. They got their orders, and they're going to do as they're told, uh, no matter what. Now, uh, Bert, he, uh, he, he Bert, ha- he's wearing a headband that has, like, that he, like, emotes through, I guess. Like, we have him, like, like oh, question marks on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait a second. That's written differently. Yep. So this is actually reflecting what he's thinking. What he's thinking. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't catch like Kitty, that. Kitty walks by, and he's got, like, hot babe on on his oh my band. gosh nice <laughs> yes now Bert, he gets to operating on the little metal head he takes it apart piece by piece excalibur's not pleased but bert assures them they got nothing to worry about now inside widget uh, we find uh, like a bunch of gunk garbage what? a rubber a rubber spider what, what is he doing I mean, is he like a floating Roomba? I I don't know what he's doing here. He's like got all this crap inside of him. Garbage, yeah. This is like Apple Core. Why isn't my VCR working? Oh, this is why. Because the kid stuck a key in there. And the the spider that happened to have died on top of the head of the VCR. I mean, it's just – that's what I thought. And I remember reading this the second time. Do they clean him out here or do they just leave it all in? Because I, I, I was I like, think they, I think they leave it in. I, I was I, like, clean this guy out for Pete's sake. Get the, <laughs> get the old apple core out of there at least. That's a, I mean, at least. At I mean, that's got to smell. I mean, that's got to yes. start to stink. <laughs> um, but, but they, you know, they sift through the garbage and refuse, and they find a life force, which is surprising to them. Mm-hmm. Now. Until they can understand or better understand the inner workings of Widget, Bert decides it's best to implant something in it that they call a G slash 9543 slash CV number seven, which, I mean, yeah. uh, that, 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 that we all know what that means, right? Yeah, uh, you know, 
<laughs> I could go on and on, <laughs> but let's just not let's not belabor the point. I I know specifically what model they're talking about sure. here for I mean, out loud. This this is an audio program. I'm usually better explaining it with my PowerPoint presentation, but <laughs> indeed can't do that here. Uh, but this apparently inhibits the ability to access cross time, which yeah. is another very Excalibur blank. thing. <laughs> yeah. Now this is the stuff that I like. I, I I get into comics and I love reading the just like I mentioned. I, I read the all new X Men. I love that concept because they, sure. they brought time travel into it. Now, you know, it, my favorite movie franchise of all time is Back to the Future. Uh, okay. I grew up loving time travel as a plot device, and mm-hmm. now my goodness, it's everywhere. Uh, it is everywhere. But I mean, if there was a movie or if there was a comic book that touched on time travel in some way, you know, that's why I thought Phoenix was a pretty cool character, even though I didn't read oh, much yeah. about her back in the day. I was like, oh, man, that's a pretty that's a really neat concept to have somebody coming back in time. And, you know, it's an alternate timeline. That mm-hmm. stuff, you know, that 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 makes me happy. I, that's stuff that I want to that stuff I'm interested in. So when they started talking, these guys show up and they're like the what was it again? That was the members of. Uh, the well, I had it here. Hold on a second. Uh, cross time, <laughs> something or other. Uh, cr- the cross time transport, the Ministry yes. of Cross Time Transport. Okay. Um, regulation, monitor, and control. Okay. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of goofy, but hey, you know, this is this is something that I can kind of dig. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, Cable's one of your favorites, and he's a noted yeah. time traveler. Yeah. That's right, Bishop. Now, Bishop as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it seems like most of the X-Men for a little while were time travel. That's all they've done. I mean, I mean, they, if you don't have time travel under your belt, you can't be a member from what I understand. You can't be a team member. Yeah, you got to go to Generation X first. And then yeah, maybe start there. <laughs> now, they, uh, they, they, they implant this, uh, you know, this, this awesome device here into the shell of Widget, and then they reassemble it. And uh, they yeah. figure maybe they'll examine it later on. Uh, Widget returns, I want to say, to normal, but... We don't know what normal is for a uh, metal robot head. Um, and and I'm, I'm watching him reassemble it here. And, yes, the spider's still there. There's a key. The apple core's still there. So, yes, Widget still All smells. Right. Don't – this guy, this Bert, uh, I have my doubts about his technology, uh, at least cleaning skills. Yeah. yeah, please, yeah. sir. Show me a license, <laughs> certification, something, because this is I'm, I'm not impressed. You can't just no. leave that stuff in there. But all right, whatever. And you got to I mean, Widget must stink. He must really stink. Oh. Um, I now, hope he installed one of those little, you know, one of those little air fresheners that you twist a little with treat. a little sticky on. <laughs> <laughs> Put that that would have been too while you're at it, Bert. That'd have been great to see in the little pile of garbage. <laughs> The new car Perfect. smell tree. Oh. Uh, Just change before... it once a month. Get Bert on the line, okay, and have him come <laughs> over. And yeah, that's all you need. That's it. That's it. Now, before finally leaving, Horatio warns the team that TechNet's stasis will only remain for another five minutes. He also hands Captain Britain a gemstone that he needs to give to Gatecrasher when they all come to. <laughs> now, uh. Excalibur decides they got five minutes. What are you going to do in five minutes? Well, how about we just be a bunch of dicks? Um, This this is some slapstick (laughs) stuff coming up right here. This is great. (laughs) They move the frozen TechNet members into position so that when they finally wake up, they'll just start punching each other. (laughs) It's It's so silly. 
but it's great. Yes, it's perfect. And like the, and no no doubt about it, they come to and Kate Crasher caves in the face of that battle toad. Oh my gosh. This is something that I don't think you're going to see in a 90s X book. Excuse me, X Men book. You know, you're not going to see it in your. This is. This makes this book stand out to me as, you know, at least something that is entertaining while we're getting a little bit of seriousness, obviously. Uh, But this keeps it, just like you said, on the lighter side of things. And that makes it fun. Oh, absolutely. And uh, poor Joy Boy is getting vomited on by a snake. So. Oh my gosh. Uh, it says he could not be any more grotesque. Let's add yes. some snake vomit to it. Let's all right. That's great. Oof, now, they punch each other for a bit before they realize, uh-oh, shouldn't have done that. Uh, now, Captain Britain informs Gatecrasher that he has a gift for her. He's got that gemstone. He hands it over, and from it, a holographic message appears, and it's from Saturnine. Now, she informs the TechNet that their contract on Phoenix has been rescinded and also says, oh, by the way, your exile on Earth-616 is now indefinite. Sorry. Oh, yep. You guys are stuck for good right here on this Stops planet. to be you guys. Yes. Um, now, we got Nightcrawler. He's having some pangs of Catholic guilt uh, because Joy Boy is crying. And uh, Megan is ever, first off. I don't care what a baby looks like. You hear a crying baby. You're going to feel bad, but you're going to have you the know, pangs. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're going to feel you're going to feel a little bit for it at least. But I mean, hey, that's that's what it is. That's that's what happens. As soon as you hear a crying baby, you want to comfort it. You want to do something. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, Megan and Nightcrawler plead with Captain Britain that they should take care of the stranded tech net. And Captain Britain's like, no. Have you seen that baby? No. <laughs> I, uh, take another look. Look at that. He's actually pointing at it. He is pointing it's, at the baby in the panel. It's it's, it's not a baby. <laughs> but, but you know the the, the Catholic guilt and uh, Megan's maternal instinct kicks in and proves to be too strong. And Captain Britain comes around. He's like, "All right, we can do it. I I don't I don't agree with it, but what are you gonna do? We'll 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 do it." Uh, and so you, that. Oh, good. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you get a little bit of uh, just a little bit of tension here right in those last few panels before we head off of this Excalibur story where Megan leans in and gives a big old smoocheroo right on Nightcrawler's cheek and lust in his eyes. And lust in your eyes, brother. <laughs> uh, I oh, can Cole. tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Megan's like, oh, you know, he's not the you, you can you can just bank on it that brian's not the jealous type oh i don't think so it doesn't look like that to me anyway we might learn more about that next month (laughs) i wonder what awaits us i wonder i wonder but uh we leave excalibur here and uh we go to an epilogue on well i think it's supposed to be pronounced earth but it's spelled e e apostrophe e apostrophe r-a-t-h so erath maybe um i was going yeah, yeah, and it's here that we meet, uh, well, uh, huh, um, maybe one of the more lackluster character finds of 1991. Okay. A, uh, a fellow by the name of Kylan. And, uh, oh, he, he is not a Thundercat. No, no, but he did, oh, okay. he did get an, he did actually get a, an X-Men action figure. I don't know how. Did he but really? He, got one. he did, yeah. I had never he heard did. of this character until 
I read this issue, so I had no clue <laughs> this was. Didn't know the name. I was like, okay, well, this is obviously going to be something we're sticking with in yeah. Excalibur for like the next few issues, but I had no clue. So, all right, well then. Oh yeah, he will be back. He will. Uh, he will actually. He'll be a big part of this book moving forward. He's he's clearly at least familiar with Earth because like the first thing you see is him. And, and again, I haven't read what came before this. So th- there's obviously a history here. So but when I'm reading it, I'm like, OK, who is this dude? But he, they're obviously on a different earth or something like that. And he shows up and he kind of like saves the day. But he is using like earth references. Uh, he, Go ahead, punk, make my day. And then he sure. proceeds, to quote, uh, Porky Pig. That, 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 that's all, folks. Um, so I was like, OK, he's obviously from Earth, I assume. Um and then, yeah, at the end, he's going to make Excalibur pay mm-hmm. for the devastation they unleashed on this world. I have no idea what's going on here, Sheehan. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very weird. It is a uh, very very weird. Um, I I I I could have sworn Kylan came later. Uh, when I saw Kylan here, I was surprised. I thought he was. Okay. Uh, I didn't think he was coming uh, this quickly. And uh, his story is, it's moderately interesting. It's going to get tied in with Widget. It's going to get tied in with a lot of different, very, very Excalibur-y things. Um, Which, you know, as lackluster as I might find Kylan, I do do really yearn for the days where they would do something like this. They would give us, like, one brand new character. And, and, you know, it might become... might not become a wizard hot book but at, at the same time it's just like okay we have a new character we can learn about here instead of you know well here's here's 15 teenage mutants enjoy it's <laughs> now we get like this one guy and uh and, and we can have him you know integrate onto the team or uh, or opposed to the team whichever which mm-hmm. whichever way the wind will blow for for our man kylan mm-hmm. so this is your first time well not your first time through this issue but your first time discussing <laughs> issue yeah yeah what'd you think well like i said it was a different experience than what i thought i was going to get because Mm -hmm. like i said i was used to the the grim the gritty the the 90s x-men you know Mm the 90s uh x-factor and at this time so we're three years past when i first started reading x-men i can't remember what storylines going on in the 90s i'm i know we're a little bit prior to this, is, this month is when everything kicks off. So this is the, the month where X-Men number one hit. This is where uh, X-Men two uncanny X-Men 281 hits where the gold strike team comes in. X-Force is already established. Havoc is leading X factor. This all happens this month. So this is, Oh wow. Yes. Okay. So this is a biggie. This is a big month. So this is coming out concurrent with all those huge sweeping changes across the line. My goodness. I mean, yeah. just just imagine, you know, this issue hits the stands and you have that to go kind of up against <laughs> when right. you're when you have a, a limited wallet already, a li- limited amount of funds to go. And you got to um, buy five covers of X-Men number one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Excalibur is going to get tossed to the side. Yeah, dude, I had a lot of I, I had a lot of fun. Like I said, I was familiar with some of the characters. Uh, Technet, I had no idea about. So that was that was again that was a fun introduction to some uh, some crazy, just absurd looking villains. Oh, and sure. I again, I'm 
I'm very excited about the, the alternate reality slash time travel that's already in the book. If you're looking at oh, yeah. Phoenix and, um, and, and of course we got a cringe bottom and Bert showing up there. That was neat. <laughs> I mean, they just show up out of nowhere and kind of add some mystery and intrigue. Uh, Kylan at the end, like I said, I have, I, I take it or leave it. I guess we're, I, I just assumed, okay, well, this guy's obviously going to be a thorn in their side at some point. <laughs> and, uh, it it was fun. I'm glad I had the chance to read it and discuss Perfect. it, and I look forward to talking about it some more. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we will be doing this every month. And uh, next <laughs> next issue, we have a uh, a little blurb here. It says uh, the the next book, next issue, Home Comforts or Who Exploded the Toilet. So um, <laughs> it's just a, oh man, yeah, so that that's so. I like the titles that, the, you know, the title, the title of that one, probably my favorite so far. <laughs> I, I just hope it's not Joy Boy who destroyed, who exploded. the toilet. Oh, man. I don't know if you could put a diaper on the kid. <laughs> I don't know. I, that shell might be part diaper for all we know. Maybe, maybe that's what's inside Widget. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh Widget. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> that doesn't look healthy. I'll no. tell you that much because you can pick out some of the stuff, but you don't oh. know what the rest of that is. You're hoping it's lint. You're hoping yeah. it's dust bunnies or something like that, but you never know. But it's just purpley brown sludge from all we know. Um, oh. Now, <laughs> later on, we're going to be talking about um, we're gonna, we're, we'll cover like letters pages and stuff going forward. But for this one, I mean, they're talking about a book we're not going to discuss. So we'll, we'll skip the letters page for this installment. But, uh, you know, as they start discussing, you know, the issues that we are covering, uh, we can go through letters pages and see what the uh, the man on the street, the man and woman on the street were thinking about uh, the exploits of Excalibur. And uh, maybe like they it. find. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think uh, hopefully they'll find Joy Boy just as uh, wonderful as we do. Um, but uh, if there if there aren't kids like you know just that loved garbage pail kids and saw that and were like oh yes well, I got to buy more Joy Boy please uh, that, that that would be my first you know that, that would be my my first I don't know I guess like connecting the dots I'm like hey okay though this guy took a garbage pail kid and threw it in this issue I'm buying <laughs> now more. That you mention it <laughs> now that you mention it it does look a lot like a garbage pail kid yeah it's just disturbing is the word sir a hundred percent but uh that's about all we got for excalibur before i let you go uh, how about you do some uh plugging all right yeah hey if you are interested in listen to uh, hey chris sheehan's been on my podcast i do a podcast yes. called it is called hold on a second i remember what it's called it's called it's been a while since i've done it that's the problem <laughs> source the source material comic podcast one, yes. there we go uh, i'm at over 250 episodes so for me to forget the title of my own show what obviously <laughs> gives you an idea of the mindset that i'm in right now the show is week. on high <laughs> yes sir uh the show is on hiatus at the moment just because I at least I my part in it is is on hiatus because my job is essential AF around here in the state mm -hmm. of Ohio. So um, I may turn the show over to a couple people who are interested in providing some content. But anyway, if you go over to the Rattlech in Broadcasting Network uh, and the W2M Network, you should be able to find 
our podcast and a host of all sorts of podcasts over there. Uh, Shan, you're involved in the Podsman mm-hmm. Wrestling Podcast they have over there with Mark and and uh, Hero. And then we have, my goodness, there's video game podcasts on there. But either way, you can find me on the Source Material Comics Podcast. All it is really is just a few guys coming together, some girls every once in a while, and we're just talking about comics. Uh, we'll look at a storyline, discuss what happens in it, and then talk about our feelings on it. And that's just about it. So you're most likely going to be able to find something that you're interested in and, and hear us talk about it. So if you're looking for some content for your ears, check that out. I also take part in a podcast on the unspoken decade. It's called Unspoken Issues, where Chris Armstrong and I discuss a 90s comic, and what we do is we put a poll up on the Unspoken Decade Facebook page, and you can pick between two 90s comics, which one you want, and then we watch one lose, and the whichever one wins is the one we're going to discuss, and we've had the opportunity to discuss some fun comics over there, <laughs> all 90s related, so I feel right at home here on the Excalibur uh, 42 forward. Absolutely. Yeah. All, all great shows and, uh, the, everything will be linked to in the show notes. So, uh, no worries about having to remember anything. Uh, just, uh, I know that it'll be in the I, show notes. <laughs> glad I can rely on you, Sheehan, to remember <laughs> what my podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be good for something. So there we go. <laughs> Um, so that'll all be in the show notes. We definitely, uh, you know, if if there is any spare time after this show is over, because at this rate, I think it's going to be about 78 hours for this episode. But uh, if there is any free time after that, definitely other shows to listen to. And we will link to a slew of them in those show notes here. But uh, that's all we got for Excalibur. I want to thank Jesse so, so much for hanging out today and uh, look forward to, as you said, many, many more because Excalibur ain't going anywhere for quite a while. So uh, had a great time today and uh, we will send it over to the next segment. Where's that blasted salami? I can smell it. All righty. Now, we can't have an X-Men show without talking about Wolverine. Now, Wolverine is a... You might have heard of this guy. He appears in a lot of books, especially around this time. Uh, it seemed like you couldn't uh, you couldn't flip through a previews magazine without seeing him on every single page. So uh, he is the star of his own book, in addition to uh, you know the X Men books and all of his guest appearances. But we're not going to do all the guest appearances here because, uh, frankly, this show is uh, is long enough as it is. So, <laughs> We're going to uh, limit Wolverine's exploits to the X-Books, his own book, and the Marvel Comics Presents uh, uh, bi-weekly uh, series there. And uh, in order to talk about Wolverine, I am joined by my good pal, Joe Crawford. How you doing today, Joe? Good, Chris. Thank you for uh, inviting me in for this exciting adventure we're about to get started on. Oh, I, I, I thank you so much for joining me. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun here. Now, before we get into the reason we're here, I, I do have a few questions that I'm asking of all the hosts here, for, especially for this very important first episode. All righty. Uh, taking yourself back to 1991, what cover X-Men number one did you get? I have the Magneto one because that was the one that came in the uh, grab bag from Kmart. Okay. Uh, it was. I, I'm assuming probably the one they printed the most of. It's so funny because I, whenever I think of the uh, the wraparound cover for X Men number one, the Magneto one is the one I never think about, and I think nearly everybody I've asked has said that's been their 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 copy. 
it's so weird because like when I think about it, I always picture the Cyclops Wolverine one. Right. I, I, that's the one. That's the one that stands out to me. It's the one that's like the front of the wraparound itself. That's the I one never, I got the T-shirt of. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and I never ever think about the Magneto one, but I'm learning here that so many people that is their definitive X-Men number one. It's so interesting that uh th- that it's just so different because <laughs> it's the last one I consider out of all of them. Um, now on that same train of thought. Assuming okay. you bought X-Force number one, what card did you get? Okay, this is where uh, I'm the bad X fan. I didn't get X-Force number one until about two years ago at mm-hmm. a used store, and I don't think the card was still in there. Oh, okay. Okay, well, you're honest, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a question that I've been posing to everybody, and it's uh, certainly a question I want to pose to anybody listening. Uh, you, by now, you've heard it several times. So <laughs> definitely let us know uh, what cover and what card you got, why you picked it, why you didn't pick the ones you didn't pick. If you got all of them, let us know. All that good stuff. Uh, we definitely want to know because it's a, it's one of those weird you know, just comics cultural things that I think a lot of us can reflect on. And uh, remember that you know, this is before a time where... <laughs> Every single comic had multiple covers, and uh, this was a special thing, and uh, and it's one of those things that stands out, and it's still iconic, despite the fact that it's been done to death at this point. So that's uh, that's always very interesting information to me. Um, and uh, let's learn a little bit about your history with uh, the X Men and uh, and our man Wolverine here. Well, the earliest X-Men I remember, I want to say it was X-Men 169. It was uh, the cover where angels been pinned up uh and it's the morlocks the yep yep that was that was the first one and i don't remember at this point how i got it i think it was uh maybe a friend lent it to me or i traded for it but i got hooked on it uh through that and the issues that i really read on a regular basis were probably the classic x-men reprints um okay I I was in a small town, so basically the comics that I got to read were what were at the Singing Gas Station. Uh, it tended to be very DC heavy, mm-hmm. so the Marvel books were really hit and miss, but Classic X-Men was one that was almost always there. And uh, right. that was where I read a lot of those original X-Men stories. Okay, yeah, that's I, it's funny how I it's one of those books that I never really uh, wandered by. You know, it was always there uh, growing up. Uh, you know, when we did and uh, coming into the X Men when I did, it, classic X Men was always there. And uh, but I never really, I never really went to it. I never really tried it out. It and I didn't get to experience a lot of the older stuff until the uh, the essentials started hitting uh, in the sure. late nineties. So I, I feel like I missed out on a lot by kind of ignoring classic X-Men. Even to this day, when I find them in a quarter bin, I'll usually not pick them up for some silly reason. I oh my don't gosh, pick them up and ship them to me. I'll pay you back. <laughs> you I, I don't know why. It's like, it's like, well, I already read that. I don't need it. Right. And, and Which coming from a completionist lunatic like me is very, very strange. I don't know why my blind spot is there. But uh, no, well, It was one of those I was able to get on at the ground floor because sure. I, I purchased issue number one uh, from okay. the newsstand. And, it, you know, with the uh, Art Adams uh, cover, Art Adams classic cover. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. That's wonderful stuff here. Um, now, Wolverine, this is issue number 47. It comes out the same month as all the books we're discussing today. And uh, 
the interesting thing about this is, I mean, uh, we, we also talk about Alpha Flight during this episode, which is kind of like a tangential X title. Wolverine is very firmly an X title, in, in my opinion, at this point, uh, where, you know, you kind of expect with the big wave that's coming over the X-Men books at this month and at this time that this Wolverine issue would be something special, something to maybe draw some eyes, maybe to get someone who was there to buy X-Men number one or, or uh, the new X factor. Maybe they, maybe they'd look at Wolverine and be like, Oh, let me grab this too. We're about to learn that that's not exactly the case here. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a special issue, but more in the, in the way that like, that's a special episode of different strokes. It's very true. (laughs) It's very true, but uh, first we have to we have to get here. So you wanna you wanna catch us up on what brings us to Wolverine number forty-seven, even though it's really not gonna have anything to do with the the contents of this book. Um, just getting getting a, a foundational understanding of where this character was put us into the gestalt of what Wolverine was doing leading up to this adventure. Right, because uh, you know this background I'm about to give you. Uh, is going to be very important for the story that Larry Hama is going to tell us today. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they're just coming off a huge adventure in the previous Wolverine, um, and it was called Home is the Hunter, and it featured Jubilee, the famous Elsie and Albert, Lady Deathstrike, mm-hmm. and Sabretooth. So the Hunter in Darkness is this giant wolf-like creature, and uh, Logan had run across him in the past, and he freed him. Well, the creature was on display at a casino and there's this huge fight between Deathstrike, Wolverine and Sabretooth. And during that, the hunter is freed um, and then slinks off into the sewer, fade to black and then open up on the story that we're about to do, which, as mm-hmm. you said, there are pretty much no consequences from the previous story into this one. No, sir. But now we do we do see that because, I mean, Lady Deathstrike, Sabretooth, they're going to come back and they're going to play a pretty big role as we continue here. So they are, you know, on the uh, on the game board. That's right. <laughs> at this point. But uh, unfortunately, they're not in this issue. No. And uh, it would have been quite interesting if they had been. I'd like <laughs> yes, to see would've. I'd like to see how Lady Deathstrike would have interacted with all the, the female police officers that we have running around in this book. <laughs> But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. No, um, let's not. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's do the credits first. This uh, issue number 47 is called Dog Day. As previously mentioned, this is Larry Hama. Uh, art by, and this is one I, I was looking through the names ahead of time. It's like, I should ask my Alexa how to pronounce these. But um, I didn't. So I'm going to say John, Gerald DeCare uh, and so. Dodd Hudson did the art. Uh, this is letter by Pat Brosso. Brusso. Rousseau, Rousseau, that sounds right, and uh, edited by Bob Harris. And uh, if you're reading this book, it's a good chance that it was colored by Glennis Oliver, not me, because I read from the Essentials. Uh, <laughs> and that was, if you want to read it in the Essential, that's going to be in Volume Two. Mm-hmm. So before we get going too much, I just want to take a, a little sidestep. There was this kid, Mitch, and uh, Chris, I think you remember Mitch. He, you know, he he had an attitude. He wore a baseball cap and he says Superman is lame and he thinks everything uh, in his uh, his life is wrong because of his uh, sister and his mother. You remember that kid? Oh, Mitch. I I loved Mitch. Yeah. I I didn't like Mitch much, but I do remember him. And uh, he (laughs) he is. It's so weird when you think about a story as like epic and grandiose as the death of Superman. Somehow Mitch is like the third thing I think of in it, which is so silly because he really shouldn't be (laughs) anywhere near the top. But Mitch is one of those things that sticks with you. 
Oh, he's the kid screaming into the darkness in the night. And uh, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> I think we have just uh, found his Marvel uh, equivalent, and uh, he's got the name uh, Tracy. So Mitch, Mitch has got a, a mirror universe Marvel counterpart apparently. Because so let's get rolling. <laughs> so we uh, open the story. Wolverine, he's uh, at the World Trade Center, and apparently he's left his bike there for two weeks. And a police officer, she's writing him a ticket for his bike, and he gets some really weird, awkward flirtation with the police officer. And uh, basically, he gets off scot-free. She gives him this weird look and rips up his ticket. Yeah, I don't even know why this like was this in. Did, does this pay anything off? Is this is this just showing us that Wolverine is like Fonzie? Is it? I don't know. Like, are we just filling pages because because of the very special like maybe this very special issue that we're about to get into was supposed to be like in one of those like 16 page giveaways. And right. it's like, oh, no, we're actually going to sell this one. So we need more pages. Ah, well, let's have Wolverine flirt with a cop and uh, and have her tear up his ticket. I, I... Right. It was it was really bizarre and served no purpose whatsoever, other than he seems to have a good rapport uh, with female police officers maybe Perhaps. well at least with that one i don't know we'll see if he, he he's like that, that with the other one yes. yeah now on, on this track here have you ever been able to talk yourself out of a ticket uh kind of there was one time i was speeding uh maybe 70 and a 55 mm-hmm. and i think i think the police officer did feel sorry for me because i you know i did the oh i thought it was 65 and uh i had it i was on a date and i think he I think he might have felt sorry for me, but I don't remember flirting with him. Maybe I did accidentally. <laughs> you never know what could be taken as flirting. <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've only sort of gotten out of one once myself. I was late for school. This is like back in probably like 1999 or something. I was driving to school. I was running late. I'd been sick, so I'd missed a few days. So I was trying to get there on time. And uh, the officer pulled me over because I was going very, very fast. And right. Instead of giving me an actual ticket that would go on my license and all that stuff, he gave me a uh, like a wasting of fuel <laughs> ticket. Interesting. As like a as like a slap on the wrist. It was like a thirty dollar ticket instead of like a two hundred dollar ticket, and that would raise my rates. So he really helped me out there. So I, I definitely appreciated that uh, not having to deal with my insurance and all that and go to drive. Uh, you know, go to what is it that that get out of ticket school or whatever. Right, right. Hey, <laughs> take. Take your victories where you get them, right? That's a fact. You celebrate everything you can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then we leave that wonderful scene at the World Trade Center, and we're in Westchester County. And there's a woman trying to open her door, and she's kind of fighting with her grocery bag. She has like an apple goes bunk, 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 bunk down the stairs. She's obviously having a really hard time getting this door open. Certainly. So uh, she's not uh, prepared mentally for who she's going to see in her house. Tracy, what are you doing here? We got a court order. Tracy. Yeah, Tracy. Obviously, this is a this is maybe he's maybe the apple is foreshadowing that we're about to see a bad apple. I don't know. Ooh, that is possible. Yeah. So Tracy's going through a trunk that's in the living room trying to find some things to seal. What do you mean, Mom? Dad's been pushing up daisies for six months. He was a chump and a sucker just like you, Mom. What a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, we're in the darkest timeline. Tracy is, <laughs> Tracy's got on his tank top and backwards cap. This is Marvel's version of Mitch. He 100%. hates mom and he hates superheroes and he hates everybody. <laughs> you got anything around here worth anything besides this cheap junk? Well, mom's had enough with this. You're not stealing anything else from me to buy drugs with. 
you know, I wish, you, you know, it'd been more specific. Like, I don't know what the drug, had been. what was the drugs they always used in uh, uh, the Teen Titans issue? It was always sniffing glue and huffing paint or something. It, when yeah. they go through the list, they always would start, every single one of them started with like glue and paint, it seemed like. <laughs> and then they'd, they'd have, they'd have like pot, weed, marijuana. <laughs> right. <laughs> Five different ways. Hashish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to buy any more of that paint thinner, are you? No. Um. So uh, mom's had enough about the drugs and she's like, you're not even my dar- my darling Tracykins anymore. Do you imagine? <laughs> right. <laughs> so she goes to this drawer and you're about to see the biggest revolver <laughs> a human being has ever seen. It's this pistol. It's, it's a pistol, a one handed pistol. It's got a two foot barrel on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it, and it must be like that, like a, an unstable molecule sort of thing, because it is going to grow and shrink throughout the rest of this issue. But this is huge. Uh, hey, where'd you get that? I could get three or four yards for that one on the street. And, uh, you know, I'm not cool, uh, apparently, because I don't know what a yard is other than it's three feet. So. Well, well, lucky for you, I am cool enough to check out <laughs> online slang dictionary dot com. And uh, I, there I learned that a yard is equivalent to one hundred dollars, which, you know, if you think about it, it makes total sense. Right. Oh, well, yeah, because yeah. you break a hundred into thirty three. Thir- oh, never mind. OK. <laughs> Give it over to Tracy Kim's momsy. So then there's a brief struggle and Tracy Kins gets the gun and this starts getting really dark. Big time. Yeah, because he starts to beat her. You see him stomping on her as you see him with a chunk of blonde hair in his fist. Yes, it's rough. And I got myself a job now, Mom. It's called getting stupid. That's a great job. Getting yeah. stupid. Uh, imagine that on a resume. Uh, getting stupid. <laughs> But, you know, we, I think we get the like the impression here that like he is like a complete burnout waste case sort of a sort of a fella here. He's just like a total, you know, drug addict, whatever. He is in phenomenal shape here. Yeah, you know, he, he, he is. Whatever he's taken, it, it's working. Yeah, he's hitting the GNC between, uh, you know, puffs of his hashish, you know. Yes. <laughs> so Wolverine's on the road and apparently he's got super hearing now as well as all his other things because he hears a gunshot like miles away and uh, he sees that the police are about to shoot a, a rabid dog. So he gets over there and this this police officer, she shoots the dog like four times, you know. Atticus Finch did one shot from like seven blocks away. This lady does it four times up close. And of course, you know, Logan's like, that's a little bit excessive. He's not wrong, right? I mean, (laughs) do they get paid by the bullet? I don't know. Apparently. Yeah. And, you know, spoiler, later on, this lady's going to complain about her paperwork. Quit shooting the frickin' gun so much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So uh, Wolverine mentions that, you know, he had a dog, too, once a long, long time ago. But, uh, you know, they are not going to deal with that yet. Let's get back to old Tracy Kins. Mm Mm-hmm. So we see Tracy Kins, he's driving around. Momsy won't be doing any driving till she gets out of intensive care. So I guess I got me some wheels for a while. Did he drop her off at the hospital first? I saw, I thought the same thing. It's like, how does he know she's in ICU? He, like, he, he pulls one of those where, like, the mob does. He, like, rolls them out the door and, like, he keeps driving, you know? Jeez. Poor Tracy Kins. Oh, poor Mrs. Tracy Kins. Mrs. Kins, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Tracy goes into his old workplace. He, he worked at like a curb store or, a, a, you know, like a gas station kind of thing. Circle K, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he confronts the co- proprietor, uh, Mr. Singh. And um, Mr. Singh is kind of a just a generic kind of fellow in a little old-fashioned apron, you know. Mm-hmm. And he tells Tracy, you know, get out of here. Don't come back. And uh, there's a lady working there, Tiffany, that was one of the former co-workers and she gives him uh she gives us really the lowdown she's yeah. kind of like the character like you know the say doctor why did you just do that and then doctor explains you know to all of us schmoes out there why the doctor was doing it mm-hmm. so anyway <laughs> mrs singh gave you a job even though he knew you were fresh out of out of drug rehab and you still went and robbed him <laughs> and um Tracy, you know, then proceeds to be just a racist piece of trash and says, yeah. like, horrible things that I'm not going to repeat about Mr. Singh. And then he says some really kind of ugly misogynistic things about Tiffany. And then he starts to rob the register. That's what we in the biz call doubling down. But uh, it, it, as he, he robs the register here and he, he's you could tell he's very skilled at this because he, he uses this really, really weird method to do it. He uh, reaches his hand into the till. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. He, he's he's actually just taking money out of the register while he's talking to this girl. And he like he hasn't even drawn his comically oversized pistol yet. So like she's just letting it's like, OK, OK, do you do do you do? She's Tiffany, our girl here. She's just standing there making like like that kid from Home Alone when he slapped his face with the aftershave. She's like just just has her hands over her face. It's very, very weird. Well, you know, and he must have when he did the robbery last time, maybe he did something to her then. You know, maybe she's we don't know. Maybe she's apprehensive because, you know, this this guy is uh, off the rails. Mm -hmm. And as soon as, uh, you know, Mr. Singh confronts him, Tracy shoots him. uh, No more Mr. Singh. He's gone. Uh, Then he turns around. Tiffany begs. He shoots her down as well. man. Yeah, he's on a rampage. Mm hmm. And uh, for I I don't know if that's Red Bull or, or beer or Coke, you know, that he grabs with the dough. But uh, mm-hmm. he, he's he hits the highway. So Wolverine, uh, we're back to him. And so, you know, he used to have a dog. OK, and now we're going to remember about that dog uh, that he and Silver Fox had. And uh, he goes, uh, where's old Blue? And well, Blue shows up. Blue's foaming at the mouth. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, Blue's got the hydrophobia. And uh Logan believes that a raccoon did it, even though, as far as I can tell, they, you know, he just goes, uh, there's a raccoon. There's no proof of a raccoon. He just blames a raccoon. This is raccoon profiling. Yeah. Ra- I know raccoons could just never get a break here. Uh, they, they always get the blame. Uh, garbage cans tipped over raccoon. Ra- rabies, raccoon. Everything's a raccoon. You... Speaking of, do you have any? Possum, it could have been a possum. It could have been. It could have been a mutant for all we know. Right. It's wild child. It was wild child. Now, do you guys have any raccoon problems in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, I I hear about the a neighbor saying there's raccoon scat, but I haven't seen one. Um, mm-hmm. now at the museum I work at, there are a couple I have been told that live in the dumpster, and okay. I don't purpose I purposely don't go out there when they've been sighted because I don't want to deal with them. No, I, I don't think I've ever actually seen a raccoon in real life. Uh, there's a I zoo have. in Illinois that I saw one in, but uh, that's probably the closest I've ever been was through uh, like uh, one of those string cages. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, old blue with the hydrophobia had to be put down. And obviously this had a very stirring effect to this date on Logan. But anyway, let's get back to Tracy Kins. And mm-hmm. he's like the worst driver I have seen in my life. He's yeah. like driving hard. And all of a sudden he just like 
bam, it drives straight into a parked car. And, and we're not talking like a glancing, you know, whoops, got a sl- got a swerve. He T-bones it full on. Yeah, it's like 40-year-old virgin. You ever see that where uh, the uh, the one lady he's trying to take home is the drunk, and uh, he get, he breathes into the uh, alcoholizer for her? Have you ever seen this movie? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> oh, it, they're just it's like pinball down the street. That's what this is kind of like. He's just she's just hitting every car on the way, and this is kind of what old Tracy Kins is doing. But uh, so the car is loaded up with cash and what we're just gonna assume is beer because I don't think they had Red Bull back then. Probably. And uh, but Tracy strikes me as the kind of kid who'd be doing Red Bull. I think he would pound a sixer of Red Bull on the way to meet up with his dealer. Jolt, Jolt Cola is all he'd be able to do back then. Oh, that's uh, maybe it was Surge. So, <laughs> so Tracy's Tracy's pounding his Surge and, and you know getting ready to get extremely stupid and find his connection. Uh, I'm finally getting over. I mean, what is he, the rock? He's getting over. What is that? I'm not Maya Villa anymore. I don't get what's going on here. Uh, These chumps better stay out of my way. So these chumps, oh my gosh. Let's talk about dark. I don't know why I'm laughing. These chumps are two kids just trying trying to cross the street with their bike and their dog. Two young children. Yeah. And I mean, I've got a bad feeling here that, you know, these chumps that he's talking about are these poor kids. I sure hope their dog's not rabid too, right? Oh yeah, maybe Tracy's doing a service. He's he he hits and runs rabid dogs. That's it. Jeez. Yeah, so back to Tracy. He's he's screaming wildly and drinking and driving. Woo! I am so lit already. Woohoo! Beat me up, Scotty. So halfway across the street, these children look up and they see Tracy like barreling towards them. I can't. I I need to stop laughing, but I can't. So they drop their bikes, but one of these kids looks up and Tracy is smiling out at him, <laughs> and he goes, "Think fast, kid." Oh God. So and then it, it, we kind of go back. We go back to Logan, and Logan's on his bike, and Tracy's pulling up next to uh, Logan at the spot. Real uh, inconspicuously. <laughs> You're right. And there's handle bike, handlebars from the bicycle stuck to the grill of the car. <laughs> so Tracy Kins is looking over at Wolverine and he's looking like Whitney Houston that one time at the MTV Video Awards where she's sweating like crazy. And he's just like a riv- rivulets of water are coming out of this kid. And he's like, is that guy checking me out? Does he know? So Logan is just ignoring him. Like he hasn't even looked over light changes and in the panel it doesn't say it in the verbiage but in the panel it looks like tracy's about to ram into him so yeah. of course of course logan looks over and he sees like this kid's got bicycle handlebars stuck in his grill what's going on here <laughs> so tracy's worried that logan's onto him totally runs him over i mean full on mm-hmm. bike and mutant go flying in the air he hits wolverine so hard his jacket explodes you're not just kidding, Chris. It's like just little tears and strips of cloth <laughs> flying everywhere. Oh, it's insane. And, you know, Tracy is not one to not get the job done. He backs over and runs over him again. <laughs> so, snickety snick, you are not going to pull this on our favorite dog lover. <laughs> he trashes Tracy's car. Yep. So, so Tracy jumps out. Were you one of them Halloween slasher guys? I got something here to put you down for the count. <laughs> so Tracy shoots over and over at Logan. And, you know, it's the typical Superman scene. He's He empties a clip into him. He yeah. goes, one, one for my mom, two for Mr. Singh, three for Tiffany, 
four of them kids ran over. <laughs> you know, but no effect. Logan continues, like, walking towards him. And as he's walking towards him, he's lecturing the kid on the benefits of, A, having a mutant healing factor, and B, adamantium-laced bones. Something tells me that our man Tracy Kins here might be just a little too stupid to understand any of Logan's lecture here. Yeah, you know, instead of those panels about the uh, the lady at the World Trade Center, they had it should have had like adamantium. What are you talking about? I'd have taken a page of that. Sure. (laughs) So snicked. Did you run down that little kid, bub? Where'd all that cash come from, bub? You've been real busy today, bub. How many times am I going to say bub? Give me one of them Red Bulls. I mean, it, he says bub like five times. A lot. I think, I think Larry's starting to, you know, get the feel for uh, uh, Wolverine uh, eventually, but I don't know if he has it quite yet. Yes. <laughs> so so right when this is happening, Logan remembers the, world, the words of Silver Fox about Old Blue. You know, this is the dog we talked about, uh, you know, not that long ago, but it feels like it at this point. Yes. Uh, old blue you have to put him down logan you have to put him out of his pain and obviously tracy kins is a is the rabid dog here yes now for some reason this memory actually makes him retract his claws i don't know (laughs) so so, you know anyway five shots ring out like a bell and no it ain't vanilla ice it's the same cop from earlier who shot our dog yes so Mirror Mitch is no more because, you know, five shots close up, that pretty much will do it. That'll do um, the job. Yeah. So uh, this officer is back. Yes. And it looks like Ms. Excessive Force 1991 will keep her title for another year. Yeah. And like I, 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 she's sitting there complaining about all the paperwork she's going to do. She's the one who shot nine times. She, she, you killed a dog and a boy within an hour. Yeah. But here's <laughs> the best part. Those two kids and the and the dog that were crossing the street, hers. They're her kids. <laughs> Talk about coincidence. Right. Uh, so, so uh, you know, she gives when Logan says, you know, oh, is that excessive, bub? She's like, you know, uh, this guy actually almost killed my kids two minutes ago. That's that's an amazingly convenient thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that was so she tells us those are two mad dogs I had to put down in one afternoon. Remember I told you I had a dog once? He I, came I wonder home. if she does remember that. I, I doubt. I mean, <laughs> she's, she, like, she's got more important things yeah. on her mind. Yeah. <laughs> You're that guy with the funny haircut from earlier. Yeah. <laughs> he came home foaming at the mouth. My girl told me to shoot him, but I couldn't do it. So she took the rifle and did it herself. The end. So I think the main thing I learned from this is if there's ever something, uh, you know, that there's a job that nobody wants to do that it, uh, I always thought Logan was supposed to be the one that could do it. You just need a lady cop around and she'll take care of it for him. That's it. That's it. Yeah, because, you know, Logan is the best he is at what he does, but I guess what he does isn't shooting dogs. No, not dogs. Even if they're rabid kids named Tracy Kins. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, so this was an issue that uh, appeared on paper um, (laughs) and probably was shipped to stores and people paid money to – exchanged money to to bring to their homes and uh, open and read. Uh, just like we did right now. Um, yeah, uh, this is just so like mind-boggling, especially, and this is a lot of like you know current year hindsight, where like when Marvel does like a revamp or like a relaunch of a of, a, of an imprint or a little you know fiefdom editorial fiefdom, 
it's usually like across the board and yeah uh, top to bottom yeah and I mean, we've got we've got you know the the crazy changes of of X Men Volume Two. We have the new team in Uncanny. We have uh, X Four starting up. We have X Factor with the new team. And then we have Wolverine in a PSA. You know, it's it's I don't know if we can actually call it a PSA. He never says don't drink and drive, but I think that's no, the message. No. Yeah, but don't it, drink and drive and beat up your mom and shoot your uh, your Indian employer and right. Yeah, just a, <laughs> Tra- Tracy's a bad kid. Tracy, Tracy needed to be put down. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, uh, this was something else. This was so, when we, when we put together the idea for this and I'm, and, and we're looking at like what books, you know, came out with this October cover date, I, I really thought that the first Wolverine issue was going to be the first part of the Shiva scenario. Right. That's not until next time. Right. <laughs> Here we get. We get the the wacky mirror Mitch uh, you know adventure here, and it's a uh, it's just so weird. Do you think it was a filler? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. it has to be right. I mean, you know, I because who was Sylvestri still the art like the main artist on Wolverine? I believe Sylvestri was like like knee deep in all that Shiva scenario stuff. I wonder if maybe he was trying to get ahead on getting that uh, that series done or that because I think that goes like 48 49 50. Right. So I wonder if he was trying to get ahead to get the Shiva scenario done for the, you know, for the big 50th issue. And uh this just feels like it, like I said earlier, it feels like this was supposed to be like a 16-page giveaway that they threw some extra crap into so they could uh so they could slap a price tag on a UBC on it. Yeah, maybe it was a filler in literally like, I mean, this is just, you know, me speculating, obviously, because I'm so knowledgeable about uh, Larry Hama and Wolverine in 1991. But maybe this was, you know, just something they had in the desk ready to roll. And maybe that's why they had those weird three pages in the front. They're like, oh, crap, we need a filler. Oh, crap. What are we going to do? Tie it in. Uh, Let's have him have left his bike at the World Trade Center after, you know, the whole casino thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's got to be. It's got to be something like this. Is this feels if it's not a if it's not like a just a PSA giveaway, it's definitely very stock. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably something that was just, you know, sitting in a desk and uh, waiting for the right time. And I don't know that this was the right time, but uh, it is the time it came out. <laughs> well, you know, Chris, I am really happy that this is the issue we got because I <laughs> I I the first time I read this thing, I'm like, what the heck did I just read? Yeah, I was like, Chris wants me to do a show with him, and this is the book we beat. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we. I think it's going to really not set the tone for the rest no. of the coverage we're going to be doing. Oh, absolutely. This is definitely uh, a, a way different than what we're going to get from Wolverine. I mean, this is going to this is going to turn into like a very angsty book, and. Yeah. Uh, this is just silly, and uh, and and you know we're we're making fun of it, but just like you, I am glad that, that we're kicking it off with old Tracy Kins here. It, this is just such a weird thing, and it's it's something that uh, I tell you, I never would have read this again. Oh no! Yeah. And the and the funny thing is, now that I've read it a couple of times, I like I almost want to read it again and again and again because <laughs> it's, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's one thing that I think is also uh, interesting about it. I just wanted to double check real quick before I said this. Sure. In the essentials, it is literally the last issue 
before uh, the, before they switch to another volume. So okay. like volume two goes uh, 24 to 47. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think they were getting ready for that arc and they were not ready in time because even yeah. Marvel recognizes like, yeah, this is not the way to kick off a new volume. Oh, could you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> this is <laughs> you buy a book, you spend, you know, 15 bucks on an essential and this is what you open up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah you'd, you'd, you'd send it back. You'd, yeah. You'd, <laughs> Oh, Lordy, Lordy. And how did you like the art in this? Uh, it was very inconsistent. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not a big person on uh, critiquing art just because I, I don't it's, know a lot about other than I know aesthetically sure. appeals to me and what aesthetically doesn't. But just like those first three pages, he goes from the typical stock Wolverine where, you know, he's supposed to be shorter than the average human to mm-hmm. he's standing next to this lady cop and he's like half a foot taller all of a sudden. Yeah, and then, no. like you said, with this piece, this kid's packing, you know, that mom pulls out of the drawer. I don't know how she would have fit the thing in the frickin drawer as big as it was. Oh, boy. Like I, at some points. Yeah. I mean, you have to turn this thing sideways to get it through a door. It, right. it is huge. It is ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> the art, the inconsistent is very good for it. Um, This uh, in it feels kind of like the art that would wind up like in an annual in like the third story in an annual where it's like, yeah, we need to kill pages. So here you go. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and that's why I have a hard time with that era's annuals, because, yeah, so much of it does just feel inconsequential and doesn't oh, matter. 100%. Yeah. Big but time. what was the one panel I was looking at today? Uh, you've got this really weird uh, you know, old blue story that's stuck in here, you know, just so that they could really hammer home this analogy about, yeah. you know, rabid dogs. And you've got this weird Logan floating head. And so it, it's got the bike running across the top of the page. And, like, <laughs> and you've got like his head floating down into the panel underneath it. It's so weird looking. There's just some really weird choices that were made. Uh, and old blue, I mean, there, one panel, he looks like a dog, and the next thing, he's like Timberwolf. He's like Timberwolf from Snake Eyes. He's a wolf. Yeah. I mean, this is no dog. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's so weird. Oh, it is so weird. And, and like, I'm right now, I'm looking at the him him unchaining his bike, and this bike look – this chain. Like, I don't know how he can wrap his hand around the chain. It's so thick. But he, he looks like such a pervert. Oh, yeah. Looking yeah. at this officer. He is so pervy. It's like he, he doesn't look anything like this guy that I'm about to mention, but I'm getting like weird like Richard Dawson vibes from Family Feud when I'm looking at him. It's just like, you know what's on his mind. Yeah, the expression on his face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. <laughs> I'm like. I, I, yeah, there's just like I say, it's not only just like weird drawings, just some some weird choices. Like I, I love the picture. <laughs> Talk about beating something to death. I love the picture of Wolverine where it's got, you know, the, the picture of the rabid dog reflecting in his eye. And then you've got the picture of the rabid dog with Wolverine reflected in his eye. Yeah. And, and uh, the funny thing is this this dog is the most pitiful looking thing when it's been shot. And like just the page before, you know, once again, it's not a dog. It's a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it is. It is really, really weird. And I'm, I'm looking at the cover right now, which is a, which is a nice looking cover. 
Um, it doesn't the, the the guy on the cover doesn't look anything like uh, like Miramich here. Uh, no. He does have a backwards hat. Right. Uh, he does have a normal sized gun. Um, but that's about it. Uh, you could tell. I mean, it is evocative of the story, and it looks a lot better than the story. But uh, yes, it does. It, it I like really... the I, I like the die young tattoo. That's not a foreshadowing at all. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, he looks like the guy who would be talking about Rob Leefield, man. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> insane. Oh man, I, I almost wish that Mitch would come back at some point. Or not Mitch, oh, Tracy Kins. I, Tracy Kins is a. Uh, oh man, I just saw the picture of him sweating. Holy cow! You know we're we're going to share some of these images uh, on on the site nineties-xmen.com. Uh, you'll you'll be able to take a look at the just how outlandish and insane this is here, and uh, just how. I feel like now when we when we launch a Wolverine book, it's like an event and it's like right. something that, that people get excited about. This is not that book. Yeah, they <laughs> they had to they had to kill him off for a while the last go round before the right. next big relaunch. You know, yep. he he was like he was in like a, a case of Admantium or like whatever Adamantium for like a cocoon, yeah. Yeah, for like a year. <laughs> but you know, I will say one thing. Probably the sweating picture. The one where it's the blue shading, yep. that's probably one of the most effective pictures in the entire story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, a, that's a kid out of his head. Here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that that is that is definitely good. Uh, good aesthetic uh, <laughs> uh, use of the uh, of the of the tools of the comic book language for sure. But then you look one panel over and you got Mr. Pistol once again that looks like a, a pipe wrench. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <It's insane. laughs> It is insane, but uh, we we promise you that this is an outlier. This right. is a, an outlier, and and probably after like the next several issues of Angst, we're going to be wishing for something like this, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're about to get real deep in some like Logan 101. Here we're going all the way back to you know the Weapon X uh, program. We're going to dig into some secrets that I don't think ever pan out. Uh, because they changed it so damn many times in the interim, but uh, uh, we're gonna meet Shiva. Which, uh, growing up when when we did, I always assumed that Shiva was gonna be like this huge, huge villain. You know, like I thought like Shiva was gonna come back again and again and again. And uh, no, nah, not really. No, not really. didn't didn't really work out that way. But uh, yeah, that is uh, that is what we got here. Uh, just a, a quick recap here. Uh, we learned this issue that Wolverine parks his motorbike wherever he damn well pleases. Right. That's it. Uh, Westchester County police officers are given infinite amounts of ammunition. They have no <laughs> lack of bullets and uh, they use excessive force constantly. Uh, Mira Mitch's job is getting stupid. And we figure we can assume that this position pays in yards. Um, <laughs> raccoons carry rabies. No questions asked. Uh, bicycle handbars make for handlebars make for poor hood ornaments. Yes. Uh, Logan's jacket is definitely not laced with adamantium. That's a shame. Yeah. And then on a serious note, Wolverine was unable to put down his sick dog and Silver Fox had to do it for him. Multiple times. Uh, uh, he has to have a, a, a strong female step in and shoot the dog. It's true. It's true. This is a, this is a, a it's almost Claremontian in a way where, uh, <laughs> 
maybe maybe Larry Hammer was uh, was lamenting the fact that Chris Claremont was leaving and he needed to surround Wolverine with some strong female role models to uh, to get the job done that he can't get done. So that is the thing that it is. Uh, next time we will be jumping into the Shiva scenario. But uh, before I let you go, uh, how about uh, you do some plugging? Oh, I, the main plugging I guess I could provide is I do a little show with some friends of mine. It's called DC Everything yeah. Else, and basically that show is not Batman. You might find Batlash, but you're not going to find Batman. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, gothic horror romance, uh, Sergeant Rock comics, whatever. No soups allowed. So the B sides. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm on Twitter at I was Joe. Cool, and uh, there'll be links to everything that uh, that the, the fine fellows who've joined me do uh, on the show notes, in the show notes, not on the show notes, and uh, on the blog and everything, and everything will be great, and everyone will know where everyone is. So nice. <laughs> everything that is plugged will be shared, and uh, hopefully, uh, if this thing doesn't go the full 47 hours, I think it will, you'll have time to listen to other shows. So uh, we do uh, recommend that you, you try some. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that will do it for Wolverine 47, and uh, I will send it over to uh, whatever segment comes next, because I haven't figured it out yet. Thanks for joining me, Joe, and I look forward to many, many more. Thanks, Chris. A mouth like yours. We should have just tried to sneak in here with a marching band. Now, is Alpha Flight an X-Men book? That's a, a question I posed on Twitter Way back on November 5th, 2019, back when I thought this show was going to come out in December of 2019. It did not. Uh, The question I asked was simple. Do you consider Alpha Flight to be part of the X-Men family of titles? Because when you're putting together a program like this, uh, you know, from Claremont to Claremont, we're looking at like the full scope of the X-Men books, the X-Men family of titles while Chris Claremont was gone or on his way out at this point. Uh, And when you do something like that, you could either go too short or you go way, way, way too far. Uh, We could have just done the main two X-Men books or we could have done everything. We could have done every Wolverine appearance, every time Beast shows up hanging out with Wonder Man for a panel. We could have done deep dives on all of those books. We're still going to talk about those books, but we're not going to go quite as deep uh, as we would a main X-Book here or a part of the X-Men family of titles. So... There I go. I go on Twitter and I ask, do you guys consider Alpha Flight to be part of the X-Men family of titles? Personally, I do. And uh, even though I didn't read it growing up, I did consider it an ancillary part of the X-Men family of books. And I do have some responses here I want to get into before we get into the book. Our buddy Joe Crawford, who you heard talk about Wolverine, says, uh, you better believe they're part of the X-Family. Jesse DeJong says, yeah, they got their start in an X-Book, and a handful of their roster ended up on an X-Team, like Wolverine, Aurora, Northstar, Madison Jeffries, and Wildchild. I also consider Excalibur and Big Hero 6 X-Titles, and I think he might be the only one besides me who thinks Big Hero 6 is an X-Men book. Uh, Warlock Thanos podcast, that's Al, he says, they are related, somewhat distant, but they do hang out during reunions. Tony Schiapone said, Alpha Flight is certainly in the X-Family. Their connection to Wolverine in the main X-Men book goes without saying, and most of their members were mutants to an extent. Mike Rakitansky, easy for me to say, says, I don't necessarily consider them a full X-Team, but they have this odd niche quality like Excalibur later inherited of being an X-Men legacy book, but going way afield of that original concept. 
BoldOutlaw.com says, some of us consider the X-Men to be a minor branch of the great Alpha Flight family. I wouldn't go that far. As Wolverine and Northstar have been known to slum around with them. Steve Meyer says, sometimes I do, other times I set them off on their own. AlphaFlight.net says, due to their first appearance, yup. Nick adds to that, not to mention Northstar and Wolverine's extensive involvement with both. John Aston says, yeah, but like a second cousin. Matt Lauer says, Alpha Flight is the facts of life to X-Men's different strokes, which might be the best one out of the bunch here. Uh, and uh, oddly enough, this might be like the most engagement I've ever got on a Twitter post, all about Alpha Flight. Go figure there. But uh, we did decide that we will include a full, deep look into each issue of Alpha Flight for this series of podcasts. And the first one we've got is Alpha Flight issue 101, which came out, of course, uh, cover dated October 1991. And coming along with me uh, for this trip is my good pal, Sean Ross. How you doing, Sean? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you know me. I'm hanging in there. Um, before we get into the book, I do want to ask, because I'm fairly certain your uh, introduction to Alpha Flight and my introduction to Alpha Flight are very different. I, I think you have a much deeper appreciation for this franchise, for this property than I do. So I'd love to hear how you were introduced to Alpha Flight, and uh, your life and times with this property. Yeah, I, that's a really nice way of saying, why the heck did you agree to do this with me? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was really excited. First of all, I'm glad to be on the show. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I, you and I have talked. I love your shows, and uh, I'm excited we're finally recording together, especially because, we, you know, we live, what, probably 18 minutes away from each other? Neighbors, yeah. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so Alpha Flight is, it's a book that is in my DNA. I... I go all the way back to the spinner rack with Alpha Flight, and I remember I, I was a kid. I lived in Oregon at the time, and Oregon has a, a convenience store called Plaid Pantry. It's basically their 7-Eleven. And I remember going into Plaid Pantry, looking at the spinner rack, and, and that's where I was getting comics. And and Alpha Flight number 12 jumps out at me, and, and any of you who are Alpha Flight fans know that that's a seminal issue in this in this book. And I bought it because it has this great pink cover, this vibrant pink cover, and it's got all the members of Alpha Flight in targets and crosshairs. And it says, one of these people will die. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I'm in. Like, I want to <laughs> see who's going to die, even though I don't know who any of these people are. So <laughs> I take Alpha Flight 12 home and I see the death of James McDonald Hudson of, of Guardian, who is there. Captain America is like, if you had a, a if Vegas had odds on who was going to die in Alpha Flight 12, he would have been the lowest odds. There's no For way sure. they're killing their main character, but they kill their main character, which I didn't know at the time was totally indicative of this book because John Byrne, who had co-created Alpha Flight with Chris Claremont and the X-Men, he never intended for them to have their own series. No. Like, <laughs> he, he literally they – were, they were a one-off. Chris Claremont said, hey, you're Canadian. Why don't you create a Canadian super team to fight the X-Men and just basically like pair their powers up? You know, Shaman can control weather a bit, and so he'll go against Storm. And Snowbird can turn into a Wolverine, so she'll go against Wolverine. You know, it was, And that was kind of all the thought he put into it. But they were so popular because that run of X-Men is so popular that, you know, Marvel kept getting just bombarded with requests. And finally, Jim Shooter went to Burn. He gave him, I think, four years. Mm -hmm. And he went to Burn and he's like, dude, all right, that's it. We're doing an Alpha Flight book. There's too much money here. People are clamoring for it. For sure. And if you're not doing it, somebody else will. And this is it. So Burn was like, well, OK, if anybody's going to do a Canadian team, it's going to be me. Plus, there's a lot of money to be made. So, you know, Burn's Absolutely. not a dumb man. Absolutely. And he does this book, and he's so disinterested in this book that he <laughs> – and this is true. I've just read – I've read interviews with him. 
he has no idea what to do with this team. He's so disinterested in this concept that he instead does the weirdest team book in maybe the history of comics, which I think is part of why people love it so much. And and the pinnacle of that weirdness is Alpha Flight 12, where he kills sure. his main character. And I, I was just I was in from that point. So, you know, I was subject to the whims of the spinner rack. So I would kind of piecemeal issues here and there, though I did manage to get a pretty coherent run of the rest of Burns issues. Mm-hmm. And then I found a, a book slash comic book store not too long later, and I have, you know, I, I was able to get the Mantlo, Magnola, and you know, and, and Jim Lee, and all that stuff going sure. forward. So this is a book I stuck with, even though it had very, very different levels of quality over the years. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like most people, Burn is the pinnacle for me. Sure. Though I have a, a very weird affection for the James James Hudnall Chris um, uh, or Calamy run. Oh, which James is Callamy, yeah. James Callamy, sorry. Oh, yeah, you know him from Strike Force Moratory. Um, I I definitely have a weird affection for that run that most people don't, the whole Dream Queen <laughs> saga. And so I just I stuck with this book for all the way through, actually. And and it's one of the the first books I bought where I got in super early and stayed the whole way through. It's like one of the few books I could say I had a whole complete collection of mm-hmm. at a rather young age, you know, where now uh, old and, and more discretionary income. Yeah. I've been wasting my daughter's college fund on comics. There and, you go. <laughs> so yeah, I've got more complete runs. But so yeah, that that was my hook for me. That was that was really what grabbed me. And you know, there's all these great moments in Alpha Flight history and all these great issues. And then you come along and ask me to cover Alpha Flight 101. So yeah, so awesome. <laughs> yes, thanks. I don't know what I did to you, but cool. <laughs> we're, we're hitting we're hitting the high point now. Yeah. Here with 101. <laughs> no. It's definitely an issue that was written and drawn. Um, it what was. about you? It, it, it appeared on paper. Uh, <laughs> well, how did you discover Alpha Flight? Sounds like we had some different experience. We did. We did indeed. My first, and it's funny, uh, my my start in comics, it wasn't really in the superhero world here. I started with ElfQuest, came into Marvel after that, and I learned most of my, you know, if I would have grown up, like five or six years earlier, I could have gotten the official handbooks as they were coming out, and I could have learned about the uh, the characters and and the, the the rivalries and the the you know the the arc enemies and all that good stuff. But uh, I didn't grow up at that time. I uh, started collecting in the early '90s when they were putting out trading cards, and so I learned about basically everything in the Marvel universe via their you know their skybox. Marvel Universe trading cards. Mm -hmm. And that's where I learned what Alpha Flight was. I saw Alpha Flight on cards and uh, didn't know they had any kind of affiliation with X-Men. I didn't, you know, I I came into the X-Men into volume two, so I didn't know a lot. I didn't know Cyclops had a son. I I didn't know. (laughs) Neither did he. I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I didn't know Jean Grey had died. I didn't know Beast went unfurry for a little bit. I didn't know Beast started unfurry. I didn't know Wolverine wasn't part of the original team. I was very, very young in my fandom. And uh, so Alpha Flight, like, what's Alpha Flight? I had no idea. Uh, I met Alpha Flight in the books eventually, uh, I believe, in the Infinity War, which I think they showed up for half a cup of coffee. You didn't really Mm -hmm. see them too much. Um, But I, I actually got to see them on panel. But I never thought much of them. I uh, really I started to learn more and more. And I knew that there was a tie to the X-Men. I knew that they I knew that their first appearance was in the X-Men because the first appearance was on the trading card. Um, When I finally started reading Alpha Flight was with volume two, the Steven Siegel run. Oh, wow. 
which yeah, that's during, a weird he, place to start. Absolutely. And I loved it. Uh, oh. It was during, uh, I think it was Heroes Reborn, because mm-hmm. uh, that's when they launched a bunch of kind of niche titles when they when they kicked, you know, Cap and the Avengers and Iron Man and uh, and whatever, the Fantastic Four over to the to the uh, Heroes Reborn universe and let Liefeld and Lee do their thing. Uh, that's when we started getting books like Quicksilver, getting it mm-hmm. ongoing, and Alpha Flight, Maverick, Heroes Deadpool. For yeah. yeah, Heroes for Hire. And uh, that's when I started reading Alpha Flight because it, it my fandom is so stupid that I went <laughs> I went to an X-Men website. I think it was like xfan.com or xfan.biz.ru.net or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> And I go over there and they have um, they're putting the solicits for the upcoming X-Men books and they include Alpha Flight. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, maybe there's a maybe there's a you know team up. Maybe there's a cameo. But then every month it's like Alpha Flight, Alpha Flight, Alpha Flight showing up every month in these solicits on an X-Men website. And me being an all or nothing kind of guy, I'm like, well, I got to figure out what this is. And so I go into this Siegel run, which is so weird. Oh my it's god! So so much fun. The whole thing is like a conspiracy story. Uh-huh. It's twenty issues of consp- of Department H conspiracy, and uh, there's like a new breed of alpha alphans where like they all have links to like X Men villains, and it's just so weird. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the uh, with the entire concept. I think there was even like like a clone of Guardian, and there was a. There was a Sasquatch on the team, but they found out it was actually a Sasquatch. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't the Doctor What's His Face. It was actually a Sasquatch. I forgot about that. He just walked right off the set of the Six Million Dollar Man and yes. right into that issue of Alpha Flight. <laughs> and it, it was just so weird. And uh, from there, Alpha Flight is, you know, this is around the turn of the century where the the cheapo bins, the fifty cent bins, weren't mm-hmm. quite as plentiful as they are now. But when you did find them. They were full of Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight yeah. really never, unless you, we're talking about those, like, the one issue that we'll be discussing in, like, five episodes, there's that book. <laughs> that that was yeah. kind of pricey. And then, like, the early Jim Lee stuff. That stuff would be pricey. But everything else they threw in the quarter bin. I think I got the first the first 12 in a quarter bin. Oh, yeah. And Because they were, they, they're just everywhere. But that's where I began really, really becoming a fan of Alpha Flight. And uh, I have read, I believe I've read the entire run. Um, and, and it's funny because I'll compare the trajectory of quality of Alpha Flight with uh, New Teen Titans. Yep. Because it starts out so strong. Mm-hmm. It dips. It kind of comes back. And then it goes in the toilet. And uh, it's just yeah. so much symmetry between the two runs here. But uh but yeah, that's that's how I discovered it. So we are coming at this from a very different sides. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll both agree on the quality of uh, of this this particular issue. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there'll be much disagreement on that. <laughs> you want to kick us off with our creative team? Sure. So Alpha Flight 101 uh, was brought to us by writer Fabian Nicieza, penciler Tom Morgan. It's inked by Chris Ivy, lettered by Janice Chang, colored by Bob Sharon. Editor is Bobby Chase. Editor-in-chief at this point is Tom DeFalco, and it is a whopping dollar and fifty cents. Wild. That's that that's one of the things where I couldn't read it because I was only reading the dollar twenty-five books at this point. So well, you, you got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Got to draw a line. <laughs> I mean, if they if if school lunch went up another quarter, I'd have been able to do this, but it didn't. So I. Didn't. <laughs> now this issue starts with of all people Hercules, 
We have Hercules from the Avengers. He's there and he's he's just delivering a wallop of a punch right into Sasquatch's face, which uh, sends him flying out of the panel here. Uh, we've got some other Avengers present, including She-Hulk and Quasar, and they question the logic of being so aggressive. Uh, Hercules, he's like, I'm just having a good time. You know, don't mess with my good time. I'm just hanging out. Sasquatch does not seem to share that kind of opinion, and so he lunges at the Olympian. Quasar gets involved. He separates them with uh, some sort of like uh, whatever his solid light things from his bracelets. And he he parts Sasquatch and Hercules, uh, hoping that cooler heads might prevail. And uh, ultimately they do. I don't remember what brought us here. Do you perhaps remember? I do. Yeah. Okay, so as, as part of preparation for the show and, and, Again, it's a wonder that I'm still talking to you after this. <laughs> uh, as part of preparation for the show, I was like, all right, why are the Avengers here? I don't remember this storyline. Like, what's going on? So we are at the tail end. This is the basically the epilogue, the, the coda to the last seven issues of Alpha Flight. It's Nicieza. When he came on, he came on with Michael Bear as penciler. And I, I love Michael Bear. He's a, he's a dark style, um, okay. very dark style. But it's a style I've always really enjoyed. And when they came on, James McDonald Hudson returned, Guardian returned. Yes. And in kind of lazily, his origin, his return was the fake return story that Byrne used in Alpha Flight like 22 through 26 when he made it seem when, – when Omega Flight impersonated Guardian and made it seem like he was back to life. And they just used the same story. They're like, actually, that story was true. The, the machine that fooled you into thinking that Guardian was back – actually knew the true story and just used it. And I was like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I guess that's one way to do it. So he's back and they're kind of dealing with the mystery of that. And then this group of, of interplanetary business people called the consortium come and they're going to raid the earth of its, of its materials and its minerals. But at the same time, the planet of like squid brain people who had rescued guardian when he had teleported out from alpha flight 12 we actually saw him burn and we saw we literally saw his body disintegrate on no uncertain terms. But now that that blast was a teleportation blast and it took him to Jupiter and these creatures who helped heal him and send him back to Earth, their home planets being, you know, attacked, quote unquote, by Galactus, who's coming to consume it. So they take half of the Avengers and half of Alpha Flight and they pull them to their planet to stop Galactus and the rest of the team is left on Earth to stop this like full scale alien invasion. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is all as weird as it sounds. And eventually, issue 100, so the issue before this, it all resolves in the team that's fighting Galactus. Eventually, and, and you know, different power levels, I guess. I, I don't know. They 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 rolled a 20 several times or something, mm-hmm. or used a lot of hero points, and they're able to kind of put a dent in Galactus for a moment. And they mention, we don't have time for this, the consortium's invading Earth. And Galactus goes, the consortium, their ship is powered by a small planet. I could eat that instead. And so they kill two birds with one stone. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's an efficient solution. Wow. They take Galactus back to Earth. He pops the planet in his mouth out of their ship. The consortium is defeated and goes away. And this is like, the, the, and the big moment there is Guardian, James McDonald Hudson, once again, sacrifices his life to save the planet this time. And he's dead dead this time this time we mean it you know he's never coming back never coming back never and ever ever never we'll never see him again <laughs> and so this is the the moment right after so they've defeated the consortium they've rebuffed galactus 
And now they're all kind of sitting around a, a war-torn Toronto. And instead of helping clean and save civilians, the two big guys are just punching each other into wreckage. So, you know, like good on do. them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, from here, we shift scenes to Greenwich Village, where uh, North Star, North Star's mullet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, Cersei and Vision are paying a visit to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum in hopes that he might be able to assist in tracking down Jean-Paul's sister Aurora, plus some other missing Alphans. Uh, we got Wang reading, greeting them at the door, and he allows them entry. Do you remember? I, I guess they just vanished off that that battlefield or, or something. Yeah, that, yeah. So they're they they disappear. There's a couple uh, Alphans who disappear suddenly, which is going to set up a storyline to come. Very cool. Now Doctor Strange he appears and. The way Doctor Strange is drawn in this oh, comic book, um, he's making a lot of uh, potty faces. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I have in my notes, I have it called, it's constipation face. <laughs> like, yes, yes. It's uh, it's very, very strange here. Because this first one, it looks like he just had an accident. But the rest of them, he is constipated the whole it, rest of the issue. Seriously, it, that, that first, first two panels with him, I, I almost want to pull Wong aside and be like, hey, a little less dairy in Doc's diet. Like, <laughs> right. we got to we got to watch out. He's getting up in age because clearly having some trouble. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know that maybe he's just mystified by North Star's mullet. I don't know. But <laughs> why is he so shocked to see other heroes? I mean, heroes must knock on Doctor Strange's door like all the time. Yeah. But he is like beside himself here like, whoa. But he doesn't. There's, there's not a single exclamation point in his in his dialogue. Yeah. He just looks like he's shouting. But he's saying, how may I be of assistance? That's all he's saying. Yeah. I don't know. The art and the dialogue, they not only don't do they not line up, I mean, uh, Morgan and and I, maybe this is as good a time as any. Sure. Tom Morgan was a no-fly zone for me in the 90s. <laughs> okay. Like, basically, if he was added to a book, it meant the book was getting canceled. Yes. And that, and that, or, or it was an or annual. It was an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, that they rushed together or something. And he was always a, and, and we're talking an era of, weak art because the dominant artists at the time all fled to image mm -hmm. so marvel didn't exactly have a great you know bullpen stable, of artists yeah. yeah they didn't have a great stable and even amongst that tom morgan was and i i feel bad disparaging him i know there are probably people like him but for me he was he epitomizes kind of a not not very effective 90s art everybody's got a mullet yeah. everybody's got weird poses the art doesn't take into consideration what's happening in the story, so the storytelling is always really wonky. But yeah, this is uh, this is in particular one of the more egregious uh, issues, really highlighting most of his faults. And you're not joking about North Star's, mul North Star's mullet; like oh, it needs boy. its own four-issue miniseries. Like it is, yeah, yeah, it is, it is in its prime, and it's yeah, and it changes color. Whatever, every other panel, it's black, it's white, it's black and white. <laughs> So there's just so much going on here that, that's inconsistent with the art that it – look, it's not a great issue to begin with. I mean no. it's not like Nicieza wrote you know, Watchmen or something, <laughs> but the art's definitely not helping it out. So yeah, I, what about you? What are your, what are your thoughts on Tom Morgan? Uh, you know, I, I think I would just echo everything you said here. There's – I think – I got to assume that this is during the time where – it's like they see that the, the the Lee Fields out there are making all the money and getting all the yeah. the cherry gigs, and it's like I could do a little bit of that, but not not really understanding that 
I, I think, you know, we enlightened people in the 2020s now might look at Rob Liefeld's work and be like, nah, it's garbage. But you got to remember back in 1990, there was a lot of explosiveness and excitement to it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, not the greatest thing to look at uh, now, but I still have a very strong affinity for it. A very, I, it might be 100% nostalgia. I don't know. But there is a charm to it. That when somebody else tries to evoke a leaf of leaf field, Liefeld type of a feel, the charm isn't there. Yeah. It, it, everything feels very try hard. The, the, the artist that jumps out at me is the is like early Ian Churchill. Oh, who yeah. was who was like really, really deep into the, the Liefeld uh, gritted teeth and oh, all the lines on the face. It, it looked, I mean, you if you looked at it quick, it looked like Liefeld's work, but it didn't have that Liefeldian charm that yeah. comes with actual Liefeld work. And this kind of feels like not exactly Liefeld, but there's so many. Uh, I'm looking at Northstar's face now, and there are several dozen lines on it. Yes. <laughs> and he's not even emoting. He's just there. <laughs> there's all these lines on his face. It's really, really rough here, um, and it's it's only gonna get better. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know what? I I kept looking at it, and it reminds me of like my middle school friend showed me his notebook at lunch art. Like this yeah. is like yeah. like figures drawn in the like the margins of somebody's homework assignment. I mean, that's that honestly, keeper art. yeah, it is, and that's the and again, I don't want to disparage him because I have actually read issues with Tom Morgan. Later in his career, where he had a really strong inker, where it was he was more serviceable. But this is just some of the. I mean, this is some of the worst art probably to it's, ever make a Marvel comic. Yeah, it, and again, it's like uh, he might he might be just trying to change his style to be more with the times, which mm-hmm. might not have been the best thing for him to do. Yeah, because I, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, not to backpedal everything I've said here, he, he does have talent, but yeah, this of course, is yeah. ugly. <laughs> This is yes. just very ugly art. Um, I, I mean, we we already mentioned here, uh, like Doctor Strange looks like like he needs a change of pants at this point. He is just <laughs> beside himself here. Uh, North Star is like, hey, this is what's going on. Aurora and some of our pals vanished, and uh, he'd really like some help in finding where she might have gone. And and we we turn a page here, or or I think it might even be the bottom of the same page. Doctor Strange contorts his body. Mm-hmm. In such a way where I, he's like got like these like these auras around his fists, but it looks like uh like if you were to take if you were to take a hand made out of like Fritos right, <laughs> and you you wrap your real hand around it and you crush it, uh, that's yeah. what his hands look like here. He looks like he is in so much pain, mm-hmm. and I'm looking here. There are zero exclamation points in his dialogue, so mm-hmm. he is not screaming, but he looks like he is. He looks like he's beside himself in pain here. He's. It, it's very, very unpleasant to look at here. But he he here he uh he zaps the team or the, the the team that we have here over to the interdimensional crossroads of time, which makes it makes me remember that Sovereign Seven series. If you remember uh, that, uh, yes. It's like where they hang out at like that that the bar or the diner at the uh, at the crossroads yeah. of time where Darkseid might come in and ask for a cup of coffee every once in a while. And that, by the way, that's literally the only thing I remember from that series. <laughs> same here, same here. Yeah, I I do remember I remember that, and I remember uh, the Superman appearance where Lois Lane tells 
whatever the girl, oh, yeah. whatever the girl who leads Sovereign Seven, he, she tells her to strike a pose, which made me want to vomit because yeah. uh, I'm picturing a hundred-year-old Chris Claremont typing "strike a pose" into his word processor. Yeah, and <laughs> it had pretty art. It had pretty art. Let's see, I yeah, it was that. what a Caldwell. Uh, no, Gregory Wright. I Turn, think. Oh yeah, because it was Turn. Dwayne Turner was there, and uh-huh. yeah, there was a, there were there were a few good artists on that. Yeah, that, that was that was uh, definitely the high point of that book. Um, now Doctor Strange, he he starts floating, you know, he does his little ohm sort of thing, <laughs> and he allows the eye of Agamotto to uh, pierce the dimensional veil in order to locate that missing Borbier. Is that how we say that, Borbier? So uh, I used to say this is one of those words I learned as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would say uh, Boobauer is how I pronounce it, which is is wrong, okay. is wrong. No, 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 it's wrong. I learned it when I was like seven, and that's okay. how I pronounced it. <laughs> But I was on an uh, episode of Alpha Pod Flight, uh, and the host, who's from England and and so therefore has closer contact to France and speaks French, he like literally snorted when I pronounced it that way. And I go, uh, Gareth, what, is that wrong? And he goes, it's Boubier. It's French. And I go, okay. And I go, I, just, I guess I didn't think it was because it sounds like boobies. And I go, yes, I didn't think it was Boubier. I go, okay, so Boubier is better than Barbouwer or however I was saying it. So yeah, so I've been told yeah. it's Boubier. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I think I had a problem with the booby aspect of it, too, so I say Bobier. So yeah. Bobier will work, and that's what we'll <laughs> call them from this point on. Uh, we shift scenes here, and we're going to get right back on the art here. Uh, we're in a cemetery in Ottawa where uh, Puck and uh, and Heather Hudson, they're visiting the comically oversized grave marker of James Hudson. It looks like if you look at this panel here, it almost looks like Puck is standing on the end of a football field. Compared to the size of this uh, this grave marker here, it is uh, it's very large. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all it does is says his name on it. Yeah, there's not a message. There's nope. no years. <laughs> no date. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just grotesquely large slab of stone. Yeah. <laughs> and as much like one of the things that one of the niceties or the charms that have that that modern current year comics have lost is kind of the roughness in. Like if you get like any book from the 80s and there's like a picture of a newspaper in it, it's all handwritten, you know, mm-hmm. where nowadays it's like it's all polished. It looks like a real newspaper and it's just superimposed into the panel where this kind of goes into my wheelhouse in the like the messiness department. But it just looks bad. Well, and it's it and and I'm not going to nitpick to this level, but like the opening page of this issue is is them still standing in the wreckage of the recent battle. Yeah. So somehow this tombstone was commissioned, built, and he was buried in the like in the seven interim. minutes, in the seven minutes since he died. I, I mean, it, well, and, you know, and you could argue that this is just his original grave, that they just never cleaned it up. And I'll allow that. But sure. like, it is bizarre. Yeah, it is. And, and it just, yeah, I don't know anything else to say. It's it's like you said, it's comically large. Like it is. And the two of them standing there. Now, one thing I will pay a compliment to okay. is... Morgan is definitely trying to evoke, and, and the colorist as well, um, Bob Sharon, they're trying to evoke Alpha Flight 13, which okay. is the the funeral issue. So after Guardian dies, it's a pretty famous issue. Burn, this is Burn in his weird silent phase. Mm-hmm. And the first like 14 pages of that issue are the silent funeral of James McDonald Hudson. And then it turns out to be a bad dream and Wolverine's there and all this stuff. But anyway, th- this actually looks like that scene. Everybody's in okay. black. Heather's in black. They're standing in front of a, gr- a slab, not quite this large, but they're standing <laughs> in front of a grave, and and Puck is next to her mourning. So I, I was like, okay, cool. Like this oh, is so a nice a little. Back. 
yeah, it's a nice little Easter egg. So I want to at least give them credit for that because everything else in the image just falls apart. <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> Heather uh, shares her feelings with Puck uh, and how this time she feels like losing Mac might be a little bit different than the last time because, you know, this time it's there's no body to bury and it just feels very, very different to her. It's, uh, I guess, maybe less closure. I don't know. Um, and also, you know, didn't really get the answers of him being back and all mm-hmm. that kind of weird stuff here. Uh, now, the pair are met by Kerry Patrick and Jeremy Clark. They're either from the Canadian government or from Department H or both. I don't know. Um, they express their condolences and they assure Heather that from this point on, the Canadian government has Alpha Flight's back. I, I wasn't aware there was any kind of a schism. Um between Alpha Flight and the Canadian government, I always thought that they were uh, they worked in tandem, is what I thought. Um, so maybe there was just a little hiccup in in the relationship. I, I don't know if you could speak to that. Yeah, no, it's it's actually since day one. So okay, they are sponsored by Department H. They're sponsored by the Canadian government when they first appear in X Men, mm-hmm. and then in their next appearance, it's like X Men. I don't know, maybe one forty three, one forty four. It's it's mm-hmm. Nightcrawler and Wolverine go up north. And they, with Snowbird and a couple other Alphans, they fight Wendigo. And it, th- those issues end with Department H cutting Alpha Flight's funding. Gotcha. And that gotcha. was supposed to lead directly into Alpha Flight 1 in, like, the mm-hmm. next year. But Burn holds off for four years. <laughs> so, so by the time we get Alpha Flight 1, it is actually four years earlier. He deals with the whole Department H cutting them loose thing. And then he fast forwards for It's the weirdest. If you go back and read Alpha Flight 1 and 2... Mm-hmm. It is bizarre The the time jump is just, it just happens. And you're like, Oh wait, what? Like this is just, <laughs> wait four years. So anyway, throughout the whole of the series, and this is actually unfortunately something that continues even till like their appearances today, mm-hmm. there's always conflict with department H and the government okay. and either department H is super patriotic supporting them, or they're a weird conspiracy like in the Steven Siegel series or they're cutting them loose. So, yeah, this is actually – this is nothing new. Par for the course. Yes. <laughs> now, now, speaking of Alpha Flight and Department H, we now pop over to Toronto in order to check in on some of the rest of the team here. Uh, here we have Madison Jeffries preparing Diamond Lil for a procedure involving some weird alien laser that might just be able to penetrate her diamond-hard skin in order to discern whether or not she has cancer. Now, Lil's a bit freaked out, but trusts enough in box that she'll undergo the deal. And it turns out that this laser is, in fact, strong enough to uh, to penetrate her skin. Was was this a uh, a long lasting storyline or is this is this relatively quickly resolved? The the I mean, this is actually my favorite part in the book. Same here. Um, Same yeah, here. it's the most human. It's it's the for it's sure the realest moment by far. Um, and it's only been a, it's been a short storyline where she felt a lump in her breast. Okay. And, you know, and it was interesting. One, you just don't get a lot of cancer in comic no. books. No. And then two, it presents that very interesting problem of like what happens when an invulnerable character mm-hmm. has some sort of natural, normal, you know, something like cancer where they need procedures that they would need for it are not necessarily as possible. Um, and I, I especially loved this this couple pages and then the end of the book yeah. because I'm actually a really big fan of Madison Jeffries and Diamond Lil as a couple I he and Heather Hudson were involved after Mac's death, and that was fine. But when James Hudnall came in on the book, um, he and, and Calamy, when they were the, the creative team, they actually have Heather and Mac. They have Alpha Flight kind of broken up for a while, and Heather and, and Diamond Lil, or Heather, Heather and Mac, kind of grow apart. And, and Diamond Lil and, and Mac, or um, sorry, I keep saying Mac, <laughs> um, and Madison, 
they have a, a pre-existing relationship from way back in the day when they were in Gamma Flight. So they kind of okay. come together again. And there's a whole love triangle. Like, will Madison gotcha. leave Diamond Lil for Heather? Or will he not? And then Mac shows back up. And that those soap opera pieces are always, you know, I mean, what are comic books if not soap operas for, for, for adults? Sure. I love those moments. So this was my favorite part. And I, I like them as a couple. So I, I liked that. That attention was paid to that again. Yeah, because I don't know a whole heck of a lot about Diamond Lil. I, I feel like... Uh... There, there are some Alpha Flight members here, like uh, like Windshear. We're gonna meet in a bit. I, I don't, I can't really place them uh, in any kind of. Uh, in when I'm picturing Alpha Flight, I have two very specific groups, and it's it's you know the originals, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's you know like Flex and Radian and Mer- whatever <laughs> whatever uh, the the French girl's name was from the Steven Seagal's run. It's it's those two groups and. Like, all the weird stuff from, like, the beta flights, gamma flights, those all just, like, I never really think of them. <laughs> it just never come to mind for me. But, uh, you know, that all said, I did, the, like, just like you, this is the uh, the best part of the issue. These, uh, yeah, these by two far. scenes, for sure. But before we get to that other scene here, we got to rejoin Sasquatch and the Avengers. Uh, we also have uh, Windshear. Uh, I don't know where or when Winshear came from. Um, so he, is he, he's from the Nicieza run. He's okay. only been a member for about seven issues. Okay. And I, I've always enjoyed him because he's in his extra strength, strength Tylenol capsule costume. Yes, like he, he looks like it's exactly what it looks like. A, it looks like a Tylenol. He like does. He, you, you never really see him again. He has a cool power. He could make like hardened air, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. And he's a mutant. So he actually shows up way later for a moment in an X book, but that, nothing's really ever done with him. Gotcha, gotcha. And then we also have her. Is this her? Yes. Yeah, uh, this is the like the female incarnation of Adam Warlock, is it? Yeah, and she got tangled up with the whole consortium Galactus nonsense, but she's about to get written off. Yeah, but is she the same one from? She's not the same one from the Infinity Crusade, is she? Uh, you know what? I I <laughs> I have. I don't even know. I there there have been so many hers and him, right? Which is just the stupidest thing ever. First of it all, is. to call a character her. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I don't. So I have no idea. I think she is. I don't know. I think she's always been the same character. So I do okay. think she's the same character, but I don't even know. Yeah, it's so weird. It's very, very. Weird. It's basically, you know, a female Adam Warlock here. She's got golden yeah. skin, uh, bl- you know, bright blonde hair and stuff here. Now she, uh, she, <laughs> I don't know what the Avengers did because they said the job is done. You know, we're done. We're done. Yeah. It doesn't look any different. No. It looks. Uh, I guess we'll just take their word for it. Um. Now, the heroes all prepare to split, and her says she's going to take a tour of the planet. And Quasar says he'll, you know, he'll he'll go with her anytime she wants, uh, acting kind of like a, a desperate fellow. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you need a anytime you need a chaperone, call Quasar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we jump back to the crossroads where uh, we get another constipated face from a oh, Doctor Strange yeah. here. This is perhaps the most painful. Um, he is definitely laboring over something. Uh, now he reports that despite the eye's best efforts, he is unable to find Jean Marie and the other Alphans. Uh, all he's able to do is open like a bunch of doorways that they can, that they can peer through if they dare. And, uh, vision being the only sound mind in the room says, uh, Hey, you know, if we're opening all these doorways, aren't we maybe running the risk of like things coming out of them at us and maybe attacking us? And, like, right before he can even finish the thought, that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. We have the monsters from all these different realms popping in. And, uh, and I mean, if, like, if you were looking at, like, clip art for, like, stock monster, 
that's what we get here. I think you're being complimentary. These are the worst. I, it, lo- it looks like the cast of Avenue Q is attacking. Like these are the stupidest looking monsters I've ever. There's literally one that looks like like Cookie Monster on a bender. Like I can't, I, I I can't get over it. They look like rejected Howard the Duck concepts. Like there's no, there's nothing threatening here. This is the epitome of a we don't know what to do in this issue. We don't have enough we story. Need action. Yeah. yeah. Let's contrive a battle where there's just no risk at all and there are no stakes. And I mean, I. It is it is an insult. I mean, and I, I don't want to turn listeners off because the, the book gets really good again next issue, I promise. There's a character <laughs> coming next issue who I love and the energy will be up, I promise. But this is an insulting issue. Like, And the, and this is for me where it's epitomized, where it's like, oh, no, you know, people who the, the you know, Muppet standbys can't <laughs> defeat three of the most powerful people on the planet. OK, it's, it's almost, this almost reminds me of like uh, back around the turn of the century where where Eric Larson would go like eight months between issues of Savage Dragon. And then he turns in something that is very, very rushed because he wants to get something on the shelves. Yes. It's very scratchy. It's very like the there's there's I think we're supposed to think there are millions of monsters here, but like only like four of them are, co- are colored. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's really, really not good. Yeah. And all it does, like like we said here, it all it does is facilitate two pages of battle. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Vision trapping them in a bubble. That's it. It's like, yeah. what was even the point of this? Give us two more pages of letters, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's nothing here. And then and then while that's all happening, Doctor Strange, he, he's, I mean, is, is breaking down even further. I mean, like, yep. I, this t- issue, if you just had visuals, should be called the death of Stephen Strange. Because he's just <laughs> progressively getting weaker and weaker and sicker sure. and sicker. Though you would never know that from the story or dialogue. And then finally, he's like, yeah, I, if I push myself even further and risk my life, I can keep looking through this infinite number of doors like yep. and 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 i yeah and thank god north star's mullet steps up and is like uh okay dude you tried like yeah, thank you you're we'll good. go you're good. <laughs> and <laughs> strange takes them all back to the sanctum santorum here where, where there's plenty of you know thanks anyways you know <laughs> yeah a lot of kissing their sisters here but actually unfortunately north star does not get to kiss his sister because she's still missing oh. um <laughs> Now, North Star and his mullet then head back to the Great White North for Mac's memorial ceremony. And it's weird here. Heather says a few words here. Basically saying, you know what? Mac wasn't all that great. Yeah. But he he's not much of a superhero, but damn it, he was my superhero. It, it's really weird. It, it, it really is. I mean, she yeah, she literally says he lost as many battles as he won. <laughs> yes. He made mistakes. Ultimately, he died. And you're like, uh, okay. Like, wait, wait what is, are you memorializing him? Is this his wake? Like, what is happening here? Mac and, might not be a hero to, in society's eyes. Yeah. It's like he was Canada's hero. Like, you know, I don't – and the other thing, too, is he literally sacrificed his life the last issue yep. to allow Galactus to go eat a planet in place of the populated planet. Yep. So, yeah, kind of heroic. Like, <laughs> like feel free to – show. I mean, it, I, I feel like his ex-wife is – is doing his wake like you know I, I it's it's almost begrudging it is you know yeah. and and you know again he just had a heroic death in the last issue mm-hmm. and she just completely undersells it yeah she's like yeah mac you know mac was here and you know <laughs> he was now pretty he's cool i like yeah. this costume i kind of designed mine to look like his so it's about it yeah that's very very that's the extent of her tears <laughs> very very strange here and uh and that is like the entire memorial for mm-hmm. for for james here 
Uh, we do end the issue back at Department H where the results of Diamond Lil's biopsy are in, and we do learn that she does not have cancer. And uh, I do want to thank Fabian Niciesa for not doing that dumb joke where they say it's negative and then everybody cries before finding oh, out yeah. that negative is really a good thing in this situation. Yeah. We don't get that here. We do get the doctor saying a whole bunch of weird stuff, which causes Diamond Lil to cry out, please say it in English. And he comes out and says, hey, you're good. No cancer. And uh, everybody celebrates. It, and that celebration panel is like the fifth worst panel in the history of comics. I mean, Windshear's arms re- reach to the moon. It's I mean, bad. it is. Oh, it's so bad. I, I, mean, I can't believe bad. nobody's memed this yet. Like this would be a great, like, just a, a wonderful, delightful meme. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. It's and like Sasquatch, you know, the shape of Sasquatch's head is kind of like beasts. You have the points. Mm-hmm. Sasquatch's whole body is shaped like his head here. Yeah, it's very, very bad here. And, uh, you know, North Star has a few, uh, you know, snippy words to say at the end, but it, it all turns out real, real good. And uh, wow, you know, the funny thing here and and I am playing we, we are playing fast and loose here with this being a legitimate, you know, main X-Men title back in 1991. Because this was very different than an X-Men book in 1991. uh, But the thing of it is, is nowadays, and this is, you know, weird 21st century hindsight here, where if Marvel does something like launch a brand new book, you know, like something as big as X-Men Volume 2 Number 1, something that big, usually nowadays it becomes like a line-wide thing. Yeah. Where if it's not going to be the entire marvel uh, output it's going to be a good portion of it and you'd figure alpha flight might fall under that kind of umbrella it's a different editor it is a different editor but you might figure it might fall under something similar here or they would want to maybe zhuzh it up a bit so people who are coming into read x-men might be like oh i remember this being connected to x-men i wonder what's going on here and uh we don't get that at all mm-hmm. we don't get that one bit yeah, we don't in this issue. I, I think next issue. Yeah, next issue, and it's and it's a new writer. Next issue. Now, again, I am in no way disparaging Fabian Nicieza. He's he's one of my favorite writers. One of my oh, favorite sure. X writers. Yeah, his X Force run is is my one of my favorite books. And mm-hmm. uh, New Warriors. I mean, yeah, the guy's amazing. He's a legend. Oh yeah. So I'm not in any way disparaging him. But but Scott Lobdell comes on next issue, and that's mm-hmm. when it gets more X like. Because he is, you know, he's one of the main X writers. Yeah, he's he's the main guy after Claremont. And so so I do think it gets more X connected, especially with the the coming of a character next issue. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they took a look and said, hey, look, we've been disconnected from the X books for quite a while, almost like purposely, like we were trying to kind of stamp our own identity. Mm -hmm. But there's this big cash cow over there and we should probably hook our wagon to it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it just it just feels like such a and this happened with a few of the, you know, the tangential X books that we're that we're looking at on this program where this month it's just this weird like I I can almost compare it to like the first Alan Moore issue of Swamp Thing where it's kind of just a let's get some stuff out of the way before we actually start. And uh, and what we get next issue, like. With Wolverine, we're going to start up a big story. And, and with this, we're going to start up a big story here. It's it's very weird that that the way it's kind of falls into place here. One question I forgot to ask you, which I'm asking everybody. 
And it's something that I do want to share uh, on on our socials when we when we do launch this program. I want to know which was your uh, what cover did you get for X Men Volume Two Number One? Uh, <laughs> I like that you used the singular term. For that question. <laughs> uh, my friend, singular. That was pretty presumptuous because I am the proud owner, and that you know one day I'll sell them and put my daughter through college of every cover of X Men Number One. So yeah, I, I bought them all. You bought them all at the at the same time. I did. So I, yeah, I did actually. No, I totally did. Now the first one I bought, the one I read, was the Magneto one. Okay. Um, so that's that's when you ask me if you ask me when I picture X Men number one, that is actually the one I picture. Gotcha. But no, I bought the whole the whole set. All, whole kit and caboodle. Okay. Yep. Now yeah. what about the what 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 card did you get with X Force number one? Uh, so I again, you're using the singular. <laughs> <laughs> um, I bought a numerous copies of X Force okay. number one, and I opened one, and mm. I had uh, Cable. Okay. Uh, I've never opened the others. They are still polybagged in my nice. collection, uh, because that's that's pretty much what all you need to know about me. Like <laughs> I still have polybagged copies of X Force one. I, I mean, as if I couldn't go to any discount bin in the country right now and pick ten of them up. Oh, at least. But no, I. I have the cable card. I don't even actually know who the other cards are. Like, I is there one that's like more special than others? The cable one was the big one back in the day. Oh, it was. That was the biggie. That was the good one. That's the one you wanted. Nowadays, the Deadpool card is probably the one you want. Oh, there you go. Um, there was also a Shatterstar card. Mm-hmm. There was also a team card. Uh, it was on its side. You know, it was an X Force team card. And then there was the card that I got: Sunspot and friggin' Gideon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. better with Gideon. No, no, Gideon's, uh, Gideon yeah. is not good. But uh, <laughs> you have any? Uh, we have gone on about this issue, but do you have any final thoughts before we go into the next feature? No, I just you know I want to encourage people who are listening that this is we're 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 leading into a really nice little run of Alpha Flight. This was just the dying ember of a not very good run. <laughs> Um, and it was, you know, and it was the creative team clearing the decks, you know, for, sure. for the incoming new writer. So, uh, no, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the other segments of the, of the episode and, and, awesome. you know, yeah, it's, it'll be fun. I think it's always fun to get a, a wider picture of a, of a, a period in time, you know, a moment in time. Sure. And, and I, I, in my head, I didn't realize how late in its run Alpha Flight was mm-hmm. compared to how early the the second generation of xbooks were so that's oh, yeah. kind of cool yeah i'm curious to see to line those up in my head oh yeah this was a veteran title at the at, at this point it's uh it it uh, yeah triple digits yeah which books don't get to these days <laughs> oh no no not at all it would have been rebooted 15 times by then oh boy absolutely but uh one more thing we wanted to discuss before uh before we go to the next segment here is uh if you are a fan of marvel comics from the early 90s or maybe just one year in the 90s it feels like these things appeared forever but i'm sure they only appeared for like a year there was something in the bullpen bulletins called the coolometer <laughs> now the coolometer is uh basically the bullpen judging what's cool and what's uncool and i thought it would be fun to go through that and uh get your thoughts on what the marvel bullpen thought was cool and what the marvel bullpen thought was uncool uh now the coolest thing in august was a movie i've never seen and that is, uh, and if, if if people have listened to anything that I've talked about on on the air or read a blog post that I've written, you know I don't see movies, so that won't be a surprise. Terminator 2: Judgment Day. Oh man, you're missing out. That that they they nail. I mean, look, 
obviously the ultimate arbiters of what is cool are middle-aged men making comics in the 90s. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but they got this one right. I That movie was like life-altering. I remember my buddies and I went to the theater to see it. The line, uh, there's a mall out in Arizona called Fashion Square, and it was really new back then. And they, mm-hmm. had, they had the nicest theater in town. And so we went there. And the line was all the way like up a floor and around a second story. Oh, wow. And we got in line and we waited and we were teenagers and, and there was nothing worse than you're a teenager than going to a movie by yourself. Like that seemed like the weirdest, sure. loserest thing ever, even though now <laughs> it is my nirvana. Like it is the greatest <laughs> treat I can give myself. But, you know, there's nothing worse than that. And we actually got in. We were the last of a group of people who could get in and we had to sit in separate seats. And we said yes and did it because we were mm-hmm. so excited to see this movie and we never regretted it because it is an amazing wow. film. Very cool. Very cool. Now, the second coolest thing just being edged out by the Terminator is uh, James Brown. OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, was he in prison at this point? I, 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 so. I, I want to yeah. think he was because I, I always think of uh, that episode of Married with Children where uh, where Al's going to go to jail. And Steve, his next door neighbor, says, if you see James Brown in there, let him know there's 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 one white guy who believes in him or something <laughs> like that. Um, I think that was around this time. I do, too. <laughs> now, the next coolest thing is uh, our Jeeps. Sure. Yeah. I, I, my uncle had a Jeep. It got stolen. So that's that's my that's all I remember. Yeah, I, I have no association other than I had a friend who flipped one. So I've never owned one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, next, The Adventures of Captain America. Is that a film? No, it was a miniseries that um, – The TV the one- thing with the motorcycle? No, wasn't it a uh, – okay, hold on. I was I was really confident about this, and now I'm not. Wasn't it the miniseries where Kevin McGuire was on art um, for like three issues, and they were all excited because they basically stolen McGuire from JLI? Really? Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I'm totally right about this. Okay. Oh, I was right cool. about this. Yeah, so it is. It was a mini series that Marvel did, and they were really excited because it was basically ah, like, yes, yes. Yeah, Nicieza wrote it, and then Kevin McGuire did the first three issues of art, and then was too slow and sure. couldn't uh, couldn't finish it. But it, uh, yeah, they were really excited. I, I think for them it was a really big deal to have poached McGuire from DC, even I, though I think this is the extent of his output for them. At this point, yeah, because I know he did uh, do. He did a Defenders run uh, later on with Giffen. Oh, years uh, later, yeah. Way, way, way later, yeah. And he, he also did the Fantastic Four Gen 13 crossover many years later. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it looked pretty cool. Uh, next on our list are billiards. I, I used to like to play pool when I was a kid. Sure. I'd probably still like it now if I didn't have to deal with people, other people playing pool. Um, <laughs> next up, Kim Basinger. I don't know what she might have been doing then. I think she was just Kim Basinger back then. I, mean, she I was, think that's all she needed yeah, to do. Hot yeah. with a little extra hot added. There you go. Next, Mondo Marvel, the talk show. I, I have no idea what this is. Yeah, I have no idea either. My, my, mighty Mondo Marvel talk show. Um, see here. Uh, what was the Mondo talk show? I guess there there was something. Um yeah, uh, we'll have to look at that later. Uh, maybe we'll link to that in the show notes or something. Yeah. Um, next, uh, bagels, which come a little too low on the list for me. I oh, yeah. Those are much cooler. Um, been a very long time since I've had a good one. Uh, global warming is cool, according <laughs> to the folks at Marvel, which <laughs> maybe they were – maybe it, were, it was chilly in August. I guess uh, this so, This particular yeah. year. Um, 
Next up, Robin Hood. I don't know if this is Prince of Thieves or just maybe the Fox version. I don't know. No, I think this is Prince of Thieves. This, Almost this has is, to be, huh? Yeah, this is that era, which uh, I'm going to alienate some of your audience, is one of the most overrated movies of all time. Like, that was not a good movie. I don't remember it. I know that is one that I actually saw, but I don't mm-hmm. remember it. I remember a lot of bad accents, maybe. Yes, yes. And, and it looked like uh, Kevin Costner was wearing a wig. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Okay, okay. Then we are thinking of the same thing. Uh, next up, a, a show I've never watched, Star Trek oh. Next Generation. Oh, that hurts my soul. I love The Next Generation. In fact, I was angry that it was so low on the list. It is a, it's <laughs> season two on. It's one of the great shows of all time. I've never watched a single episode of uh, any Star Trek ever. And uh, it's nothing to be proud of, but it's just the way it is. Uh, next up, Laser Karaoke, or Laser Karoke is the way they spelled it. But I'm guessing <laughs> they, they're talking about karaoke. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Have you ever done karaoke? I've done karaoke. I have no idea what laser karaoke is. Is it like, do they, they kill you if you're bad? I mean, like, do they fire lasers at you? Like, I mean, that would improve it. You know, I, that I would know. actually be a fun thing to do. If you're wearing like one of those laser tag things uh-huh. on your chest and you suck really bad and people just shoot you and you get shot three <laughs> times and you're done singing. It'd be awesome. Get gonged. That there would actually go. be karaoke yeah. way better. Laser gong for sure. <laughs> Next, another thing that is way low on the list for me, polo shirts. Mm-hmm. I only wear polo shirts. That's all I wear. That's my casual attire, polo shirts. Um, Flossing is next. I'm assuming. Oh. Which is so weird. Like, floss your damn teeth. Like, (laughs) you know, Uh, come on, Marble. I'm guessing that they they have to be talking about the dental thing and not the stupid dance, right? Yeah, the the dance is too recent. That's only the last, like, four or five years. No, they just mean flossing. Yeah. And that's that's at the midpoint of cool. So it's somewhere between cool and uncool in the middle. Uh, we got bungee jumping, which was huge back then. Yeah, in fact, I partook uh, at really? spring, yep, spring break, uh, Lake Havasu. Okay. Uh, I I Off bungee jumped bridge. Jump, bungee jumped into Lake Havasu. Yeah, and and uh, I do not recommend it. <laughs> it was it was not fun. It was like early '90s. It seemed like every TV show would yep. have a bungee jumping episode, and yep. uh, I. I me and the wife will uh, will you know this is being filmed or this is being filmed recorded uh, during a quarantine so we've been watching a lot of television and uh, <laughs> we uh, we've been rewatching Melrose Place oh and yes, uh, classic yes I love that show and uh, Billy wants to live life and decides he wants to bungee jump but then chickens out before he does so yeah yeah I I fell prey to all of it all of the weird societal pressure I went with three <laughs> I went with three really good friends. I was first in line. We were all going to do it. I did it. And then they all chickened out. So yeah, they suck. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as we move closer to the uncool side here, you know, what really sucks. The metric system. Metric system is uncool. (laughs) According to uh, probably Howard Mackey, Ralph Macchio, Lynn Comiskey and Terry Cavanaugh. (laughs) Inches or nothing is what they say. do you I think we're around the same age. Do you remember like the first few years of school them teaching you both? Oh yeah. Okay. And and by the way, that still happens. I mean I Does I, it? Yeah, I I was I I'm not so far, I mean I'm a teacher. I'm not so far removed from mm. my classroom days where, you know, when I was teaching 6th grade, my science teacher counterpart was teaching the metric system. So, yeah, it still happens. Wow, cuz I remember like growing up uh, in New York like first and second grade, we did a metric system and then after that never again. Oh, no, no, they still yeah, still totally do it. Oh, wow. How about that? 
the next uncool thing is Andrew Dice Clay. I'm good with that. Yeah. Oh. I'm not, <laughs> look, look. I will. I'm not gonna lie. If Ford Fairlane is on TV, I'm probably in. But yeah, I'm okay with him being down on the list. You don't like Little Miss Muffet with Jack and Jill? <laughs> I remember that was like the. I remember kids coming in like with like cassette tapes that they oh, take yeah. off of like HBO. Like they'd yep. hold like the machine up to the TV. And they would just get the segment of him doing the nursery rhymes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had the exact same experience. Oh, and they'd, they'd bring that to school, and it would be that and, like, a Jerky Boys tape. And that would mm-hmm. be – we'd be good for, for recess. And that was all <laughs> um, next, TV talk shows. I'm good with that, too. Yeah. Right? This was this height of Maury Povich and Sally Jesse Raphael Sally, and all those trash uh, TV shows. Yeah, Jenny Jones and – uh, Ricky Lake, yeah. I, mm-hmm. The only time I liked talk shows was on Talk Soup early on. That yeah, was the me only too. time I kind of dug it. Um, next up, Yuppies. Yeah, I'm still good with that being low. That's good. Yeah, I, I, I have think, a problem with the next one, but this one, this one, I'm good with stuff. I, I think if I if I were around in a different era, people might call me a yuppie because of my polo shirts. Um, now next is Hudson Hawk, which I'm assuming is a film. Yeah, yeah. This I'm I am legitimately angry about this. <laughs> Like, like I, when you were like, Hey, you want to cover this with me? I was like, yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, what? I mean, I, I was like, Oh, I'm going to write Terry Cavanaugh a letter. <laughs> Hudson Hawk is a Bruce Willis, Danny Aiello film. Uh, it is a bat bleep crazy movie, total Bruce Willis indulgence, him being his, the, you know, his fun, loving harmonica playing fedora wearing, most sort of 90s peak Willis. And, and at the time, people were really turned off by it because it's really tongue-in-cheek. I mean, okay. hardcore tongue-in-cheek. But it is a movie that has aged well, and I would defy people to go back and watch it because it's really good. Yeah, I, I don't know that I – I know there was a video game I played of it, and it was awful. But no, I don't remember that. No, the movie was good. Maybe, maybe they're talking about the video game. I don't know. No, they're talking about the movie. It got, <laughs> no, when it came out – People wanted, you know, Die Hard 4 or whatever. They mm-hmm. wanted Bruce Willis to be something he wasn't in this movie. And gotcha. this was this was moonlighting Bruce Willis. This was Oh, so silly. Yeah, this was I mean, honestly, this was him literally stepping off the set of Moonlighting, you know, uh, you know, he's done a bunch of other films and he's kind of on an action star track and him going, "Hey, I want to show people I'm funny again." And no one wanted to see it, but it's really wow. good. <laughs> uh, next on our list are skateboards. Uh, I mean, I, this, I've never skateboarded. I have, and I think it was still pretty popular at this point. I mean, it was probably waning, but Tony Hawk was still a big deal. Oh, this, yeah, this is. I, I thought that skateboarding was like always cool. I, I mean, then again, I'm I, I'm not, you know, in my fifties and a in a comic book creator, so suppose <laughs> mileage may vary. Uh, next thing that's uncool is uh, political correctness. And, hey, uh, I didn't, yeah, I don't even know what that meant in 1991. I was gonna say they had no idea where we were headed. Yeah, they had no idea. Yeah, because so, I, I mean that that was. Kid gloves back then. Um, <laughs> next up, record albums. Oh, if they only knew that vinyl would one day be the, the comeback. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, in a big way. Yeah, I I don't have I don't have a machine that would play them, and I I think my the extent of my record album collection is like a stack of uh, like Billy Joel stuff that uh, that the wife got me, but that's about it. Uh, they they take up a lot of room. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a I never went back into the whole vinyl craze, but. I think it's cool when people do. Like, all oh, right. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, next up, uh, day glow clothes. Those are back too, <laughs> right? And I thought they were really like a big deal. Like, hype. is day glow? What is day glow anyway? Is that just like fluorescent like, colors or? Yeah, like highlighter yellow or sure. you know, those Hot kind pink. of things. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff, I remember, so <laughs> I remember I, I was teaching juniors one year mm-hmm. and one of my kids, really popular kid, you know, athletic, good looking, kind of, you know, a little bit of a trendsetter kid on campus comes in in like salmon pink jeans. Oh, wow. And I go, no. I go, no. And he goes, what? And I go, those can't be back. And he goes, Mr. Ross, <laughs> these are like the hottest jeans ever. I go, no, no, I get it. I get for you. You look really good. I go, I'm having like, like, this is my Vietnam. Like I can't handle, I can't handle this being back. And he, and then the kids couldn't understand. It was hilarious. <laughs> Man, I, 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 I'm not around people. So <laughs> I don't know anything <laughs> about anything. They keep me away from people. Uh, the next one is a little bit prescient. Um, yeah. The Cosby Show. Yeah, they called that. They sure did. Uh, do you have any fond memories of the Cosby Show? Taking I, things out of it? Yeah, I. So I'll tell you, I. You know, obviously Bill Cosby is a, a piece of human garbage and yeah. doesn't deserve any recognition. So I'm not in any way even just. I'm not like even addressing that. I very, very, very much lament the loss of the loss. a program yeah. that had a very healthy and and like affluent african-american family and presented a side of america we just don't get to see very often and i it sucks that we lost that cultural touchstone sure um but no i mean yeah i don't i by this point in the cosby show i think these are the years where like you know rudy's like 15 and and the show's just off the rails yeah they brought in different kids and then they brought in that other girl yeah it was very very strange um I, I I don't know. They left one mystery for us, though. I never found out what jamming on the one means. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I think it's yeah. just lost. It's lost to the 80s. <laughs> my my wife asked me that. She said, "What does jamming on the one mean?" And I said, "I think we, that's best left to the theologians, because <laughs> it was Theo who said it." Um, nice. Very nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I'm right there with you. Um, one of the weird things about the Cosby Show is that I realized that they never had a Christmas episode. Oh really? Yeah. Oh my they God. never had a Christmas episode. It really uh, freaked me out. It was akin to uh, I don't re- I don't know if you remember uh, Charles in Charge. Oh yeah. I remember the last episode of that. Uh, someone told him that he didn't have a last name and he freaked out. And I'm like, hey, no way. He has to have a last name. And then you realize this whole show, Charles never had a last name. Okay, that yeah, that is weird. Isn't it? And yeah. Then, <laughs> that is so, like, really weird. It's very strange. Yeah, because I guess like the whole thing was like a dream or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so Charles didn't have a last name. The Cosbys didn't have Christmas. So <laughs> um, now at the, we're, we're, we're down to the bottom two here. And uh, you do remember global warming is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Global warming is pretty cool. Nuclear winter is bad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> OK. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not arguing with them. Nuclear winter would be awful. <laughs> You know, you and I are old enough to remember growing up in the Cold War, you know, and and so, yeah, nuclear winter, not good. But I'm I'm again, legitimately angry about the last one. Yes, this is weird. The uncoolest thing, according to uh, who we got here, Um, um, we had a Chris, Chris Eliopoulos. He was doing stuff back in the early. Okay, Um, we're going to say Tom DeFalco is probably responsible for all this Mm -hmm. here. The uncoolest thing in the world to Tom DeFalco and company is McLean Stevenson. Yeah, uh, Henry from Henry Nash. Blake. Yeah. yeah, Henry Blake. I, I don't understand this. I, there must be a there must be some sort of culture thing at this moment. One must be. He hasn't been Henry Blake in over ten years at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, Mash has been off the air for at least eight years at this point, and he wasn't in the last 
seven seasons Half of, of it. that show. Yeah, well, that's most of it, yeah. Yeah, so he he hasn't been in the social consciousness for a while. I mean, he's been on The Love Boat, maybe at Fantasy Island, maybe he's he guest starred. I think he guest starred on, like, The Golden Girls a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, but... And the Glad Bag commercials. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what a weird shot to take. Very. One, screw them. Henry Blake is one of the great characters in TV history, and I love McLean Stevenson. I love, the, sure. I love Henry Blake. In fact... I prefer the Henry Blake episodes to. Oh, the, the show goes downhill after he leaves. Yeah. Yeah, I totally prefer the Henry Blake episodes, but I, I just I don't know I don't know what was there must have been something that popped up into the cultural zeitgeist, but it's a weird shot to take. Like it would be like us <laughs> doing a coolometer right now and taking a shot at like Brian Bosworth or like something or some weird like so I don't know, which you know cold stir stone cold was a decent movie but like it would be a weird you know shot to take i don't know where it yeah. came from but yeah very very strange stuff here and and and, and of course we would we would have to keep a uh, global warming cool right that, oh that's, yeah that's, that's 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 just timeless it's evergreen yeah thankfully we're still living with it thankfully it wasn't lost to time <laughs> What a nuts thing. And, I, and I'm hoping to do these until they run out. I, I don't know how many they're going to have. Uh, I do remember, it feels like every time I picked up a comic growing up, there was one of these coolometers in it. But I don't think they lasted more than like a year. So uh, we'll play it by ear and we will uh, we will let everybody know what is cool and what is uncool. And uh, so you can all change your lives mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, buy a James Brown record in a Jeep. Well, you know, not that's not bad. Yeah, James Brown record in a Jeep. That's cool. And, and I then think so. And trash bagel. some old math a- mash actors and yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and burn your day glow clothes and there you uh, go. and break your skateboard and <laughs> it'll be all <laughs> good. Uh, but that will about do it for the Alpha Flight feature here. And uh, before we go, uh, you want to plug yourself. Sure. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess I did a really bad job in this episode. If you're to plug myself. So, uh, so thanks again for having me on. And, and you know, this oh, is just the first of many. But, um, so yeah, I, I'm Sean. I'm from the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, and you can find us at pulptopixel.com. Uh, we have some great shows. We I host a co-host a Secret Wars and Beyond show where we cover every episode of every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel. We covered the beautiful gem that is Volume One that everybody loves because they read it when they were ten. We covered the not as beautiful gem that is volume two, where Spider-Man teaches the Beyonder how to poop. Yes. Uh, the shows or the episodes are fun, even if the comic is trash. We are now actually, we've just covered the first issue of Secret Wars volume three by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic, which I actually think is the greatest crossover in Marvel history. So we're back <gasps> in. Oh, I know. I knew you didn't agree. I was waiting. Ooh, um, oh, sorry. Oh, something God, I love Secret Wars three. So I encourage people to check out the show. <laughs> and then we also have some other great shows. We have a what if cast where, uh, guests come on and we talk about their favorite issues of what if, and we have a welcome to Astro city where we talk about Kirby six Astro city. So just a, a fun network. And uh, yeah, if you like this episode, please check it out. Absolutely. And we will link to uh, Sean's show. Everybody shows uh, that are on this program. Everybody will be linked in the show notes and all that good stuff. But uh, I do want to thank you so, so much for bearing with me during all the delays for putting this show together. <laughs> um, and it means the world to me that you stuck around because this was a really good time and I look forward to many, many more. No, this is great, man. I appreciate, appreciate you having me on. And yeah, you reached out so long ago, we actually could have done this in person, which is now an impossibility. <laughs> yes, we're not allowed to do that anymore. But uh, maybe one day, maybe there one you go. day. <laughs> we will meet at a central location and uh, and get uh, some alpha flight in. But uh, once again, thank you so, so much. And uh, I will now send us to uh, 
well, whatever next segment I, I, I put in here. So uh, <laughs> that's that. Beautiful. Who? Me? What's your language? Alrighty, for our final comic segment of the episode, we're going to be taking a look at two, or actually two and a half issues of uh, Marvel's bi-weekly little hodgepodge book. Uh, it's an anthology book called Marvel Comics Presents. Uh, usually, it features at least one X-Men-related story. Uh, it's usually Wolverine. You'll, you'll usually see the Marvel Comics Presents with Wolverine's name right underneath it, just so you pick it up off the rack. Uh, this time, we've got uh, a nice little uh, assortment of X-related characters here. Uh, we are going to be talking about Wolverine, we're going to be talking about Beast, and we're also going to be talking about Firestar. Uh, there are a couple of uh, just general Marvel characters in here we will be touching on. I, I believe it's Speedball and uh, Paladin. So we'll be uh, touching on those. But uh, the main crux of why we're here is for these uh, these X-Men side appearances, because they are occurring uh, concurrently with what we're discussing on this program. Now, instead of doing like the the deep dive on every single Wolverine guest appearance, because frankly, this show is long enough as it is, and we don't want to go much further than this. Uh, we figure that the Wolverine catch-all will be uh, Marvel Comics Presents. And of course, if there are any huge appearances or crossovers or something like that, we will mention them and maybe go deep on them. But as a working as a working measure here, we're going to be just really focusing on Marvel Comics Presents. And uh, of course, just like with all the other segments, I am not alone. I have brought with me my good pal Walt Neeland from Comics Reviews by Walt. He will be helping us, or he will actually be leading this tour through this odd anthology. How you doing, Walt? Not bad. Yourself? Oh, you know, hanging in there, hanging in there. Now, uh, I've been asking all of the, uh, all of the co-hosts here uh, to share a little bit about your origin with the X-Men, uh, whether or not you were reading them at this time, if you came back and discovered them uh, at a later date, uh, how long you were with them, if you left, if you came back, why you left, why you came back, all that kind of stuff. So uh, how about you hit us with a little bit of your X-Men secret origin? Okay. Well, I think my earliest memory of the X-Men is the, the Pride of the X-Men cartoon special. Okay. I remember that theme song. Had no hmm. idea at the time who these characters were, but it was, it was a bouncy, catchy theme song. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, my one buddy got me to read a couple comics, and it turned out there was this cartoon coming out. So we watched that, and he loaned me an issue of X-Men, and I remember him wanting to quiz me on who these characters were. So like, okay. one of the characters was Storm, and I think someone else was Bishop, and this one guy had claws called Wolverine. <laughs> and at the time, I had no idea who they were, <laughs> but then with the cartoon, got into them and ended up getting issue 300 of Uncanny, okay. and kind of followed it from there. Very cool, um, very cool. And of course, I've got, I still have them somewhere. I've got those Pizza Hut videos that had oh, the yes. first set. And they came with a little trading card, yeah. and yeah. Yeah, I think they might have had a little poster or something with them, too. I think you're right. Yeah, had a little comic that came with it, the video, mm-hmm. and the video had interviews with several of the current creators at the time. Oh, yeah. And I just remember the much later, when I graduated from grad school, someone gave me one of the Pizza Hut cardboard cutout displays. Oh, so I've got very that cool. <laughs> I've got some time. 
Very cool. Very cool. And uh, now, now, uh, so you came into uh, the X family at 300 as a collector. Uh, so that's about what 19 months after the books we're discussing now, or at least 19, 19 issues. I don't know how how we were doing with a uh, slipshod, double month, double ships, all that kind of stuff here at this point. But uh, so that stands to reason that initially, right off the shelves, you probably didn't purchase X Men number one or X Force number one as they were hitting the shelves, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, when did you go back for those? I don't remember for sure. It was not long after, but I wound up getting in through American Entertainment or Entertainment This Month. Oh, those guys. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, like, with that, I know with X-Men number one, I've always been aware of all the covers, as far as I recall. And I don't remember what the first one was that I had, but I think it might have been the, maybe the Wolverine and Cyclops one. Mm-hmm. Or the Magneto one. Those stand gotcha. out from those. But I definitely got the collector's edition pretty early on. Okay. And that's always been my favorite because of having oh, all four images. Absolutely. Other. Absolutely. Now how about uh, X Force number one? Did you did you run rush back for that one right away? No, I don't actually remember when I got a hold of number one. Just somewhere along the way. Do you happen but to remember which I, card? Not offhand. <laughs> I know I probably wanted the cable card because of course yeah. he was the the cool one with the big guns and all the pouches and all that good stuff. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> now, uh, and, what would uh, what would you say was uh, like your your first uh, your first issue of the adjective list X Men? I'm pretty sure that was the date issue with Gambit and Rogue. I think number 24. Oh, right before Fatal Attraction. Yeah, and it was definitely Fatal Attractions that got me into the X books. Okay. Even though I mainly stuck with Uncanny, but I did get all the crossover ones except for Excalibur because of the holograms. And those were the coolest things ever. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I got some of the trading card holograms that were just sort of colorful, but with these ones being so deep, I love the Havoc one, especially just it looked like you were looking through a portal into some scene. Absolutely. Yeah, they were very, uh, they were very. Yeah, in depth and like sort of three dimensional, and they had a lot of uh, like you said, they have a lot of depth to them. It was uh, really cool here. Now, how how long did you uh, like when you picked up with the X Men? Have you been doing the? Have you been buying X Men ever since, or did you leave? Uh, were there was there a time? Was there a reason why you might have left if you did? It's been a little bit of a mix, like mm-hmm. from three hundred and fatal attractions, stuck mainly with Uncanny, and I think okay. I dipped in Wolverine a little bit, but then. When we got to right before Age of Apocalypse with Legion Quest, okay. I decided to go all in. And, and with American Entertainment, I was able to order their, I guess we call them bundle packs now, to get mm. the whole series. Okay. So had all the issues for that. And then when we came out of it, it was like I just spent four months getting all the issues. I'm going to keep that up. And that lasted a few months. And then I was back <laughs> down only a few of the titles. Okay. And I've kind of stepped away and come back periodically over the years. But I think the mid to late 90s there were probably the the peak time for me okay and are there any like particular uh stories that you can recall that might have really uh you know drawn your attention or maybe caused you to give the x-men a second look if you weren't already looking at them at that point offhand probably the death of colossus kind of i think that okay. got me back in because that was just a good series of issues and, and actually come to think of it, the uh, astonishing x-men with the when the team broke up in 99, right before the... Oh, before the shattering, yeah. 
Yeah, okay. the shattering. And of course the the scrawl was secretly posing as Earth based <laughs> heroes and invading in secret, but that was ninety nine, not two thousand eight. <laughs> Everything old is new again, yes. <laughs> yep. No. Um, what about today? Uh, are you reading the X books today? Not really. Okay. I dove in with the House of X, Powers of X, gotcha. and followed that. And I'm not a great fan of the infographic style with those. I wanted right. to like them, but it kind of put me off. But I have been getting the Dawn of X collections, figuring okay. that'll give me a chance to document the eventually six months of all the titles. Sure. But, of course, with the, the present hiatus from Diamond and everything, who knows when I'll get five and six. Absolutely. Yeah, the things are things are kind of up in the air right now. So it's uh it is a uh, strange and unprecedented times that we're living in. So yeah, this is uh very very strange. Um now uh was uh before the House of X Powers of X. Uh when was the last time you'd read uh the X titles? Uh, was this was that a return to the X-Men for you or or was that just the next thing in the X line that you were continuing to read? It was a hopeful return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd fallen off over the years when they did X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, and whatnot. Yes. I think I tried the first issues and then decided that I wasn't paying that much for those issues. And I had some other issue at the time, but ended up just let them go. And I think I was tired of the the young X-Men. The time-displaced ones, yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that actually is when I finally uh, walked away myself. Um, I, I have since gone back and filled things in but uh it was during the uh, the blue and gold era that uh that these characters became even though they all kind of looked the way they always had i just i couldn't recognize them uh they were just totally different characters to me um i I wasn't a big fan of the creative teams on them either uh just from past things of theirs that i've read so it was a it was a difficult decision to finally commit to walking away but uh and, and of course it wasn't a permanent one but uh I felt good mm. while it was there. I felt good while I was able to. <laughs> After all the nights yeah. of uh, missed sleep over it, I, I felt good to actually be able to pull the trigger. And here I am, you know, you know three years later, back right into it. Um, now, the books we're going to be covering, the main books we're going to be covering today is uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 86 and 87. Both of those have the October cover date, the October 1991 cover date that we are covering this entire episode. However, uh, the Wolverine story that we're going to be reading here is a part two, and we figure why not just go back and cover the Wolverine from Marvel Comics Presents number 85, since that is a part one. Um, now, I I didn't realize that that I didn't own Marvel Comics Presents number 85, so I'm going to be relying on you to fill everybody in on exactly what went down there and how we got into this cyber story. So uh, if you want to kick off uh, the Wolverine story or, or just introduce us to uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 85. Okay. Well, 85 was the first issue off of the Weapon X story. Mm-hmm. So that's where I dove in. And this doesn't really touch on that so much, but it just picks up with where you just close in on Wolverine. He's out hunting seeing how close he can get to a wolf without being noticed and he's not trying to kill it just how close can i get to this wolf and then he ends up hacking off some meat from a kill that they both find together so he can feed it because it's an old wolf mm-hmm. and then he goes and looks over madripoor and spends a little bit of time with tiger tiger <laughs> tiger tiger yep 
Mm-hmm. And apparently they they hook up, and sure. I forgot about him being such a ladies' man back in the day. Absolutely. I don't know why. That was kind of a big thing with him at the time, was that the ladies loved him. Mm-hmm. And then while he's with her, we get introduced to this character, Cyber, mm-hmm. and just huge hulking guy, huge grin, mm-hmm. and looking to make a deal with General Coy, and I know more about the character from after this than at the time, because we didn't know much about him from this sure. story, but this was actually his first appearance, mm-hmm. and from what I, I do remember back in the 90s, he was supposedly the only guy that Wolverine was truly afraid of, and yeah. given the drag-out fights he's had with Sabretooth, that's saying something. Absolutely. But some of these characters introduced him. It's like, well, let's make them even scarier than this guy. And so you get Cyber, adamantium mm-hmm. skin, and big guy. He left Wolverine for dead. Absolutely. And neither do the others alive. Yeah, and Cyber was uh, one of those characters that I, I thought was just going to be a very big-time presence uh, going forward. Uh, I think it might have been – I mean, and I'll probably mention this a few times uh, this episode – that uh, – so much of my early uh, Marvel fandom is informed by the trading cards, and uh, Cyber had a trading card, and okay. uh, and so he automatically became important to me. Um, didn't quite work out that way uh, for Cyber. I, I, yeah. I think, and I might be speaking out of turn here, but I think his last few appearances were basically like they treated him kind of like a parody, I, I want to mm-hmm. say, um, where he was just kind of a gag you know, LOL 90s character. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think there was uh, definitely potential here. I mean, you said adamantium skin, uh, you know, do adamantium, do adamantium claws cut adamantium skin? It's it's a really tough, um, it's a tough foe for Wolverine. Who, when, uh, you know, when Wolverine's battles can become, I mean, almost boring because he's just so strong. He's so impenetrable. He's so uh, unbeatable. And uh, here we have Cyber. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think about Cyber, I think about the Shivas, what we'll be talking about them next month, and also like Shinobi Shaw. All these characters I thought were just going to be like the characters, and uh, no, no, it didn't, didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you get back trading, into it. Well, like you said with the trading cards, where you get a trading card, so this character must be important because they got Absolutely. a trading card. And mm-hmm. at the time, we didn't have the internet and everything, so... The training cards were a big thing to go off of. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and we also playing. have uh, we also have the uh, Firestar story in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one picked up on her apparently dealing with Freedom Force with Mystique and Blob and Pyro, and I just lost my place in my notes on <laughs> the story. But basically, she's caught up in stuff where there's this organ harvesting organization and her dad's been sick, and she doesn't realize what's actually going on, and she's gotten in kind of deep and has to help them capture Mystique, and she doesn't realize that they plan to do some really bad stuff to Mystique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As is the case with the series, such short segments, so I mean, yeah. that pretty much sums up the entire segment for, the, for Firestar. It's true. It's true, yeah. These are uh, these are what about eight pages a piece, probably, um, uh, maybe even less. No, I think I think they're eight pages. But yeah, you don't um, you don't get a whole lot of room to play when it's a, when it's an eight pager, especially 
you know, back before we were writing, you know, the uh, decompressed style where we could just, you know, sum things up mm. with a text page. Because we do get a text page at the beginning of these these issues here. It's the inside front cover where it does give mm. you a little bit of the exposition of what came before. But yeah. in most of these stories, they still do that first page repeat thing, you know, where they do catch you up in the first page of the story as well. So now you're left with seven pages of story. And yeah. it's uh, and another thing with Marvel Comics Presents is that it was usually uh, and you know, this is me speaking generally. It was usually sort of like a tryout book for newer talent. There's there's going to be some established names we're going to see in here. But uh, yeah. a lot of this is names that you you wouldn't see very often. These are new ca- new creators who would go on to do things or maybe wouldn't. And so uh, it's kind of weird that. They're putting new creators on these, you know, sometimes second and third tier characters, but also training them in a way to write eight page stories when their ultimate goal is writing, you know, the 20 to 22 page Marvel story. So it seems almost counterproductive, but I guess you got to put them somewhere to see if they're, you know, worth pursuing. And so that's that's what we got. Yeah. And we get these characters that maybe don't have room to have a full subplot in one of the main titles or some of them maybe just aren't being used. So maybe a creator wants to try out one of these characters and Mm -hmm. I don't know how they actually did it, but yeah. So maybe a creator trying something out or Marvel was like, Oh, here, if you can tell us a full story with this many pages, then we'll give you a shot at something bigger and better. Yeah. You're in line here. Yeah. Now, I think this Firestar story, from the ending that we'll get to in a little bit, I think this comes, I think this is supposed to be a little bit in the past, like before she joins the New Warriors, maybe. Um, okay. Because uh, I think at the end, it like makes a little comment about like, whoever you wind up with, Warriors or whatever. And I think that was kind of placing it back. So it is, I'm always a fan of like building onto the lore of a character, even if it's a character I really couldn't care less about. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it is interesting that they would put something like that here. Um, like you said, though, there isn't a whole lot of room to groove. So it's uh, they basically set the table and then say, see you in two weeks. <laughs> and that's what we got here. Um, we yeah. also have a beast story here with uh, with an artist you have heard of, with an artist that yep. we actually talked about a great deal a few segments back. Who is that man? Yep. Rob Liefeld. Mm-hmm. Rob yeah. Liefeld doing uh, doing a beast story here in Marvel Comics Presents, which is a. Uh, kind of weird kind of weird for me i i I figure he's uh probably a little bit higher up on the uh on the totem pole at this point but uh i don't know maybe he just really wanted to draw a beast or maybe he was doing someone a favor i i don't know i all i know is that had i bought this back in like back in 1991 this you know issue of marvel comics presents would have been like five or six bucks uh thankfully it's not anymore but uh you want to you want to get us into the uh the beast story here yeah, it looks like I actually didn't take notes on the story itself since we weren't going to fully cover this issue. Yeah, this but is just a little bit, yeah. Basically, Hank just finds out that Xavier had wiped the mind of one of his old high school friends, mm-hmm. and she had been very important to him, but in order to protect the secret of the X-Men, she couldn't be allowed to remember who Hank was, that he was a mutant and all that. And so he kind of gets kind of melancholy thinking about what's been lost with that, like, here he remembers her and has these great memories, but she's got no idea of who he is. Mm-hmm. And of course, for me, with this was I remember Xavier being quite so liberal with wiping minds <laughs> and doing all that kind of stuff. I've known it more so with him doing that like last 
10 or 20 years worth of stories, but yeah, <laughs> I never really noticed it much back in the 90s. Yeah, the 90s are the pre, pre-onslaught, of course, we're talking. Um, yeah. Professor X was always... He wasn't really depicted as being sinister uh, in such a way. Uh, I know during the like the original 66, before the hiatus, um, Professor X would not think twice about wiping the minds of an entire street full of people just so they could forget they saw the X-Men. That was just, you know, that, but that was Silver Age. It was different. Here, where we're actually telling like a more personal and cerebral type of story, to have him to have it revealed that he did that to someone that was close to one of his students, that does seem weird. That, that does seem like a, a very sadly ahead of its time uh, in, in the way Xavier, Xavier is usually viewed now, where I don't think you look at Professor X and instantly trust him. You know, I think nowadays it's always a uh, you're always second guessing his motives and, uh, you know, just what he's trying to get out of what he's doing. Back in the early 90s, it didn't really seem that way, at least not to me. But I was, you know, I was just a dumb kid at the time. So, uh what do I know? Uh, no. It's uh, more here, and, and yet here's he's trying to control Hank or just mm-hmm. doing stuff without Hank saying, yes, do this for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very, uh, is very weird. Um, now, our, our, you know, odd, you know, non-X character in this issue is a Speedball. Uh, how, do you, how do you like Speedball? Uh, I'm pretty sure this is the first speedball exposure I've really had, or at least the first story with him. Sure, sure. But, yeah, I've got a note here that it reminds me a lot of a cereal box comic, and it's <laughs> about the same length as one of the comics you get from cereal box. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, unfortunately for this issue, he's my least favorite of the stories, because the characters I actually knew, and I've read other stuff with them, so sure. he's kind of a throwaway, but but still, it's a chance to get exposed to the character and be like, okay, I've read something that had Speedball in it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that that sets the table for you know our our double main event here. Um, now going into uh, into Marvel Comics presents number 86. It's another four stories. Now the first one, of course, features Wolverine. The story is called Blood Hungry Part Two of Eight. And it's a uh, the title is two cents and it's not like pennies but like the smell you know uh, it's written by Peter David with art by Sam Keith lettered by Clem Robbins with colors by Glennis Oliver and uh, how about you take us on in okay well my look at the right issue yeah so we've got Wolverine climbing a wall literally apparently he was bored but using the claws and just punching the wall to climb and he's checking in on what's going on with General Coy and Cyber and and playing the tough guys. Mm-hmm. And then Wolverine flashes back to some time with Tiger Tiger, where she convinced him to take on this task. And he gets startled by a cat once he's inside. And <laughs> Wolverine shushing a cat is not something I expected to see. No. <laughs> but, and then Cyber kind of catches on pretty quick that there's someone else in here with us. And rather than step through the door, he just out at Wolverine and Ashley. And Wolverine ends up being in a hasty retreat, which, how often do we see that? Not often and at all. as Wolverine's heading out, someone comes up behind Cyber and asks him, why is there blood on the floor? And he's just doing that sort of badass character, someone bled. Yep. 
Yeah, very very tough guy uh, stuff from uh from our man Cyber here. It's uh it's it's interesting and and it's Sam Keith art, which I, I didn't realize how much I liked. I, I like this a lot. Um, and, and it's funny when I'm looking at Wolverine, the first thing I can notice is just how much body hair he has in a Sam Keith comic. It's uh. <laughs> It's like you'd be afraid to walk next to him because, uh, you know, you, you'd think you'd get like a, a static shock from him or something. But, uh, yeah, Wolverine throws himself out the window and uh, and Cyber gives the uh, the story closing line of someone bled. And uh, from here, we pick up with uh, with our gal Firestar. And uh, this story is called Life During Wartime, Part 5 of 8, True Colors. It's written by Marie Javins and Marcus McLaren. Pencils, Dwayne Turner. Inked by Chris Ivey, letters by Dave Shop, and colored by Marcus McLaren. So uh, our writer is also a colorist. And so we pick up with uh, with Mystique, you know, strapped to the table here. She's uh, they're gonna do some bad things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we get to see the rest of Freedom Force recovering. And turns out Mystique had a, a tracker in her belt or something, and so they're able to track her down. And while Firestar is dealing with what was the beat called? The uh, Arms of Salvation? Yeah. So she's trying to survive their attack because she's decided not to join them. And it's the old Star Wars thing. Join us or die. Mm-hmm. And so, so they're attacking her. And she's almost done in when Freedom Force busts in. And they end up saving her life, even though they didn't mean to. Yeah. And in all the chaos, she finds her way into the lab and finds out the they're harvesting organs it's just someone orders an organ and we'll go kidnap someone kill them take the organ and we've saved your family member but it's cost you however much but we don't tell you how we got it exactly and probably probably people don't ask questions much but firestar is horrified and pretty much in there the what is i just forgot his name again but the guy from the group busts in and mm-hmm. he's like destroyed a year-long operation and i'm not going down without a fight yep and be in there absolutely absolutely now uh what do you think about the art in this story here we uh, you know we talk about uh, sam keith up in the wolverine story here uh this one uh, Dwayne turner a name that we would know uh much later on or, or not much later on but later on uh throughout the 90s uh Dwayne turner did make a name for himself what do you think of his art here in this uh in this 1991 anthology. It's not bad. It's kind of jerkish, but it gets things across, and it didn't really stand out to me all that much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of just there. It's kind of just there. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll probably be repetitive on that as we go along with the series. That it's true. I suspect a lot of art is going to be kind of generic in a sense where it's not by a favorite artist, so it doesn't stand out that way, but it mm-hmm. doesn't make it bad. Just It's like, well, Either I've not heard of the person or I don't recognize it, but sometimes that can be some of the best art is true. It gets the job done and it doesn't attract you either way. And so you just read the story and you don't think about the fact that you've been taking in the art as you read it. That's true. That's true. Now, our third story, we're back to Beast. This uh, this story is called Just Friends, part two of eight. Um, so, I mean, so far they're all like eight parters. So that's four months you're going to be following these stories here in in, uh, in real time with these uh, this biweekly book here, or twice monthly book. Um, now, this one was written by a, a fellow who we're going to become very, very familiar with as we go forward, Scott Lobdell. Uh, pencils by Rob Liefeld and Jay Lee. 
inked by Tim Dazon, Dazon, one of those, lettered by yeah, Todd Klein. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, and colored by Mike Thomas. Now we're uh, we're picking up on Beast. Uh, I think he's uh, he's at his uh, prom or something here. Yeah, it's kind of a flashback with him at that time, and he looks like he's out on overlooking the city or something or the countryside, and pretty girl from his high school walks up to him and essentially asks him to do the junior prom, and he thinks she's joking because, of course, let's have the pretty girl ask the big beast guy yep. to prom, <laughs> and he's been tutoring her, and she says that she had a chance to see the real him, and... So she's not joking. She actually does want to go with him. Yep. And, of course, they go to the prom, and the ex isn't happy, and it's kind of like the typical teen movie drama. True. Very true. And then we come to find out that this flashback, Hank's actually on a plane talking to the guy sitting next to him, who, it turns out, doesn't even speak English. Nope. <laughs> so he's pouring his heart out, and the guy's just like, okay. Yep. <laughs> and then we get a little bit more of a flashback and see throughout the rest of junior and senior years, he winds up on the football team and Jennifer, the girl gets him onto the team, gets him into the quarterback position, even though the ex doesn't really like that and gave him a chance and wound up with Hank being the star. But then they go off to college and some miscommunication leads to them just kind of losing contact mm-hmm. and then back in the present on this flight they get to their destination and get off the plane, and there's some supervillain constrictor waiting for them. Yep. And he's got really bad timing, because this is not a good time to be messing with Beast. No, certainly not. But then it's to be continued. Absolutely. Now, uh, you know, the uh, the elephant in the room here is uh, Rob Liefeld Art. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we you know, we, we have fun with Rob uh, every now and again. I think a lot of us do. I think uh, this is... This is like some really good Liefeld art. Um, mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's like it's like maybe he didn't have maybe he didn't have so many cups of coffee that morning. You know where the art isn't wildly frenetic. This is. Uh, you know you wouldn't even realize it was him unless you looked at the credits and maybe yeah I mean there are some Liefeldian conceits here of course there is a uh, you know gritted teeth and uh, you know but uh, the the things you do notice but. I got to say, this is uh, inoffensive. Um, it's weird when you go from Liefeld to, to Jay Lee, and the Jay Lee panels are the one you're like, ugh, this isn't that great. Um, I, I really uh, really dug this until until it became a comic book story again, and we had to meet the constrictor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm much more interested in just Beast and mm-hmm. more personal side. His experience in high school, because the 90s cartoon had him make a comment at one point, Everyone's talking about their past, and he commented, "Well, I had dandruff, but I don't think that would that wouldn't really apply to the comics since he no. didn't blue and furry until much later." Sure, sure. <laughs> now, our final story here is uh, our you know Marvel du jour character. This is Paladin, and uh, mm-hmm. the story is called I think what is it? Uh, Take me out to the bomb game, which should tell you exactly what we're in for. This one's written by Eric mm-hmm. Fine. Penciled by J. Adam Walters, inks by Sam De La Rosa, uh, lead is Diana Albers, and uh, colors by Fernando Mendez. So a lot of names I uh, I'm not familiar with. So 
the uh, maybe the very definition of the tryout book uh, sort of formula for Marvel Comics presents here. Uh, what do you, what do you think about uh, about good old Paladin? Uh, I basically just know him as an action figure I saw uh, last <laughs> year, year before, and he was billed as Marvel's Paladin or yeah. Paladin, however it's pronounced. <laughs> and so it's kind of interesting to actually see a story with him, and had no idea about him, but apparently sure. he's essentially a hero for hire yeah. type figure where he makes his living doing stuff he's got some kind of armor and i mean he seems human i don't think he's got any powers i don't know and I, it's my my paladin uh my paladin experience is also uh very limited i think the first time i ever met him i think he was a guest star in an issue of generation x and uh okay. That might have been, of course, late 90s-ish. Um, and he didn't really leave an impression on me. And uh, got to say, after this story, I, I, I'm still about the uh, <laughs> going the same speed with uh, with Mr. Paladin. <laughs> How about you uh, walk us through this one here? This is a fairly generic story here. Um, it's, yeah, just, just, the, just the, the main beats, I guess, on this one. Yeah, basically he's working security at a baseball stadium. There's been a bomb threat, and rather than pay money to further beef up security or do anything like, say, shut the stadium down and put it on hold, and the threat has passed, the owner's like, no, oh, stuff has to go on. So they brought him in to augment the security crew, and he winds up, they notice a suspicious figure, and of course the suspicious figure is indeed one of the culprits, and so he takes them on and then winds up to find a peanut vendor that's the main guy behind it takes him out and ultimately we find out that the the head of security as a revenge move orchestrated the whole thing because mm-hmm. he was going to be laid off at the end of the season and so they disarm the bomb and take care of stuff and that's pretty much that that's bad it. guy caught and nothing like it's not really continued from anything it doesn't continue into anything nope. it's just this short little one off that it could almost be an episode of Law and Order or some other <laughs> random crime show. Maybe not it's Law and true. Order, but <laughs> maybe you never know. But yeah, this is uh, yeah. one thing about Marvel Comics Presents that uh, that we haven't uh, mentioned yet is uh, these don't have any ends. Uh, they're uh, you know they're just story. All four you know four stories here. Uh, there's not even an ad on the back cover. They the back cover just shows some of the characters that are going to be featured. It's uh, it's pretty interesting here. It is a dollar twenty-five book rather than the standard, you know, what we've been reviewing today, uh, one dollar. So this is a quarter more expensive. So maybe, you know, maybe the loss of ads mitigated the uh, or necessitated the need for an extra quarter on the cover price twice a month. Um, uh, inside covers, the stuff like to catch the you up. Table of contents, yeah, yeah. But uh, that is uh, Marvel Comics presents number eighty-six. Uh, but that wasn't the only one that came out this month. We have 87 as well. Our first story, of course, Wolverine. Now, this is Blood Hungry, part three of eight, three cents. Uh, again, not like pennies, but like the smell. Um, written by Peter David, art Sam Keith, da- uh, letter David Sharp, colors Glynis Oliver. And when we left, Wolverine ran away. So uh, what do we got here? Uh, we've got him still running away. And <laughs> not, not really just a... Let me get back and get some space. I mean, Wolverine booked it the heck away from there and mm-hmm. climbed a cliff and kept on going and basically just find a place to 
be able to curl up and die without having Cyber sneak up and stomp on him again. Mm-hmm. And we get from there, we get what could be a flashback, but pretty quickly realized <laughs> not a flashback because Wolverine in a high school setting, basically your your stereotypical greaser, I guess. He's fun. Uh, uh, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah. <laughs> and, it's about the same height, too. Good point. And like where we mentioned earlier about him being a ladies' man, mm-hmm. he kind of shows that off here. He snaps his fingers, and three girls rush over to him, and they're basically all over him, mm-hmm. even completing each other's sentence. Kind of like Huey, Dewey, and Louie, except <laughs> that would be a whole different situation. This is true. This is true. And we get a little bit of play on the idea of Cyber being sort of bigger and badder where he's Wolverine's supposed to be the cool guy and now someone else is kind of encroaching on that mm-hmm. and as we shift away from that we see Tiger Tiger and Cyber's gotten into her place and he's made a deal with General Coy for drugs and whatnot but since she's in town she can have a chance at counter offer and she's just kind of looking at him don't know what she's going to do but he just calmly remarks nice tea because she's giving him tea and mm-hmm. not much of a cliffhanger no no we're getting like this uh this real you know strong silent type from uh from cyber here uh it's funny um which which was the uh, keith image book was that pit or the max the max right because there's a girl yeah. here who's uh when wolverine's playing fonzie here there's a girl who looks just like uh the character in the max i don't remember her name but uh looks almost just like her down to the, like the leopard, you know, top and everything. It's a, uh, it's kind of interesting to see that here. Um, this, yeah, uh, yeah, th- this story is, uh, you know, I think this story might've been a lot better as a single issue of Wolverine or maybe like a two parter. If like they just put four chapters together, because I think piecing it out like this really isn't doing it very many favors. Um, cause it's, it's that whole law of anthologies here. You start to get into it and it's over. And, uh, and these aren't ending, as you mentioned, they're not ending necessarily on cliffhangers. They're ending on just a line, uh, which, yeah, I don't know. The end of a page. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is page eight. So stop now instead of like, you know, someone's hanging, you know, dangling from a building or, or something like that, or someone's about to be unmasked. It's just, okay, well it's page eight. So we stopped for now. And, uh, I think that might have hurt the uh, the flow and the uh, like the sense of urgency here because it really doesn't feel like there's a whole heck of a lot. Um, hey, you have any final thoughts on uh, on the Cyber Wolverine uh, part two or part three? I guess not really at the moment, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just there. <laughs> yeah, and he's there. We don't really get a fight or anything. We get we had Wolverine show off his coolness. His, yes, his in, yeah, insane turned out that was just Yeah, just a hallucination, and it could have been crazier, and I'd almost read a whole issue of Wolverine's hallucination with that. I mean, For sure. Wolverine, <laughs> but not the uh, more modern, let's put all our characters into high school de-aged. I mean, this yeah. is Wolverine de-aged, but in a high school type scene. For sure, for sure. Got a kick out of that. 
<laughs> now, our, our next story, uh, we're back to Firestar here, and this is actually going to conclude her arc. This is Life During Wartime, part six of six. It's called Sacrifice. Written by Marcus McLaren and Marie Javins, just like last time. Pencils, Dwayne Turner, just like last time. Inks, Chris Ivey. Letters, Diana Albers and David Sharp. And colored, again, by Marcus McLaren. So uh, how did this one wrap up here? Well, we have kind of a dual story going on. We're at the very top of the page. We get a, what do you call it, the EKG monitor yes. with some dialogue. As her father's come out of surgery, survived the surgery, but he's not out of the woods. And so he ends up, I think he codes, and so they have to resuscitate him. Mm-hmm. So that's going on while we see Firestar fighting this guy that is actually prepared for her powers. He's got coolant in his suit, and he can counter her heat powers. And he takes out Spiral, and Spiral's been gunning for Firestar. They have no love lost. No. And while she would have left Firestar to die, Firestar wouldn't do the same, and she doubled back to make sure that Spiral didn't get killed and winds up having to take this guy head on and... Since she can't use her heat powers to take them on, or she can use them, but they won't do any good, she opens a canister of coolant and sprays him down with it and does him in. Looks like he's frozen solid. Mm-hmm. And she winds up, as that wraps up, she works out how to deal with Mystique, and Freedom Force goes their way, and she Firestar's reported as dead, and this allows her to kind of go off the grid and be with her father, who thankfully did survive. And so everyone thinks that Firestar is dead, but she's alive and <laughs> her father's alive, and that's kind of where they leave it. Yeah. And Mystique wasn't real happy with Destiny for not giving details, but she realizes that no, Firestar wasn't fated to join Freedom Force. Mm-hmm. She's going to be part of some other group. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the, the final caption here is Whatever group is in your future, Firestar, I hope they're good warriors. You're going to need them. So, uh, yeah, this uh, this comes before uh, the New Warrior stint. I don't I don't know a heck of a lot about Firestar, you know, to be completely honest. And uh, so I don't know if this has ever been referenced ever again. Like the fact that she was presumed dead, um, I, I couldn't tell you if this was just a blip or uh, or if this is actually like a huge part of her backstory. Um, I suppose I could have done the research, but uh, <laughs> I didn't. So. Um, until we were talking earlier, I didn't even make the connection with the New Warriors. I think I was yep. vaguely aware that she had been part of them, but I hadn't even thought about that. So it might be something to, for me to check out sometime when I yeah, can. Yeah, Read all the issues of that and see if they even mention this. Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird because uh, I think both of us, uh, like our, our main um, experience with Firestar is part of uh, Avengers Volume 3, the uh, Busek Perez run. Uh, where she and uh, mm-hmm. Justice, uh, also from the New Warriors, kind of like graduated into uh, into the Avengers team. Um, that's really the only extended run that I read as it was coming out with Firestar in it. Uh, in the, you know, 20... Oh, God, how long was it ago? That was like 25 years ago almost. Really? Um, in the interim, I've, uh, I've read a lot of the New Warriors. Um, none of it really stuck with me, so... Uh, I couldn't tell you if this was a uh, if this was you know a big huge part of her backstory. So, but uh, that does wrap up Firestar. Um, but we can get into Beast now. Now this one is called uh, Just Friends Part Three of Eight. Story is called If This Is Tuesday, It Must Be Belgium. 
that sounds like a Scott Lobdell title, and uh, hey, guess what it is? Uh, Scott Lobdell wrote this one. Uh, pencils, no Rob Liefeld this time. This is just Jay Lee. Inks by Tom Dizon. Letters, Todd Klein. Colors, Mike Thomas. So uh, Hank just met the constrictor. How, how does this go? Uh, it doesn't go over very well, but we do get <laughs> a few pages of them kind of doing the, oh, what was the term, like run, run, fight, fight kind of thing. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> they're, just, they're just all over this hotel fighting and trading quips and smart alex at each other while they fight. And I think Constrictor even notes the he's like, hey, it's actually kind of fun fighting you because you have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And Beast isn't terribly thrilled about that. <laughs> but while they're fighting, he sees someone that he thinks could be the Red Ghost, but he's not really sure how it could be. But then he's distracted again by a Constrictor and ultimately winds up with tricking Constrictor into smashing an aquarium, which shorts out his adamantium coils. Mm-hmm. is using to constrict and that takes him out which leaves Beast free to finally go to the symposium that he's in Belgium for and he reunites with Jennifer and she's happy to see him as a scientist but no memory of him and before they can really talk the I'm not sure if they're called are they the red apes or red ghosts oh, the, the communist mo- the comp- with the communist monkeys or the communist apes or something the ones that hung out with the red ghosts yeah yeah I, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time yeah. since i read those old fantastic fours so i don't know exactly what they're called but uh yeah they're yeah. goofy characters yeah and they burst in and it looks like they zap hank with something and they make off with jennifer and he's left laying there realizing she's being kidnapped and he's got to help her and so it actually is a decent cliffhanger mm-hmm. on this one. The, it's like, well, the girl's been grabbed, and what's going to happen to her? Absolutely. This was a uh, this was actually uh, one that makes you uh, at least a little bit interested in, in picking up where we uh, where we leave off. You know, uh, this is uh, something that uh, will there's this purpose for the next issue is what I'm trying to say here. But uh, now our last story is uh, another weird Marvel. Uh, you know, not X character, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Shroud. Now, the story is called To Touch the Darkness, and uh, this is written by Eric Fine, just like the last story was last time. Uh, pencils, Ron Wilson. Inks, Harry Candelario. Letters, Diana Albers. And colors by Kevin Tinsley. Uh, what, what's your favorite Shroud story? This. Probably this one, huh? Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> now you can ask me how many stories have I read the Shroud. <laughs> That's true. That's true here. So that would also be this one this one absolutely absolutely um now uh in our notes here uh <laughs> you uh you asked if this was the same character that like bendis used uh back during uh, like the dark rain era or i'm assuming or right by before yeah. the dark rain era yeah that was the hood but i totally see how that would be confused with this one uh now the hood first appeared in a max miniseries the you know the mature readers line from marvel uh, written by brian k vaughn but uh, Bendis, as he is wont to do, uh, co-opted the character and uh, tried to make him like the main bad guy in Marvel's Underworld. Uh, really made the Avengers feel like they were fighting, you know, great great value villains at that point. You know, they weren't fighting Kang or Doom; they were fighting the Hood, which I guess is kind of what Bendis wanted from his run. But uh, I don't know; didn't feel right for me. But uh, uh, how, how about uh, you uh, walk us through uh, this meeting with uh, with our man, the Shroud? Well, we start out with 
the shroud is standing in a hospital room over an old woman who's hooked up to different machines and obviously dying. And he's thinking to himself, the this shouldn't have happened. And then I guess we get some flashback to a crime spree that's been targeting senior citizens. And the shroud, as I pick up from context, he's supposed to be some crime lord, but he's actually a good guy posing mm-hmm. as a crime lord so that he can try to affect change from within. But these criminals have stepped over the line with hurting senior citizens. And so he ends up having to fight them and ultimately takes them out and kind of back and forth between that and him talking to the woman and just kind of being there for her because mm-hmm. she's got no one else. And he saw some of himself in that because he can't have any real connections sure. in order to in his role. And so he takes out the bad guys and returns to the hospital room where the sun's coming up and it hurts the woman's eyes. And so he uses his shroud power of, I guess, shadow. Shroudiness, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, walks out the sun so that it's not hurting her eyes and she's afforded a, a moment of peaceful dig- dignity before she passes. It's just uh, too bad that the shroud wasn't married because you know when 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 a person is about to an old person's about to die all you have to do is give your marriage to Mephisto and uh, they'll be fine. So uh, if he was married, you know we we see here he has his role to to serve here. He can't have personal connections. If only he were married, could have given Mephisto his marriage, saved this poor old woman, and everything would have been hunky dory after that. Instead, we get more fights. yeah, what do you what do you think about uh, about as much fun as we're having with the shroud here? I kind of think that this book is like the repository for this kind of thing here, um, where it is just kind of off the beaten path. You know, I, I I've talked about Action Comics Weekly more than probably anybody else on the planet at this point, and uh, it's always enjoyable when you know you have like a four parter with the hero hotline, you know, because those aren't characters you're gonna see very often. Or Speedy gets a little spot, or they bring in the human target for an for an issue. I like that kind of thing, and uh, and as you know, as kind of lackluster and uh, sort of just you know uh, you know white bread as this story is here, very boilerplate superheroics. Um, it's weird that we do have this character who is a crime lord posing as a hero, and they didn't try to make more of this in the 90s. It feels kind of like tailor-made for a, you know, sort of like hard-edged anti-hero sort of character around this time. You know, they were bringing back like the fool killer and, and uh, you know, uh, Nomad became a thing and he was this, you know, grungy looking anti-hero It's weird that the Shroud never actually got a real shot in that kind of a spot because uh, I'm not saying whether or not it would have had legs, but you never know. I mean, it could have been something that could have supported a four-issue mini, and for all I know, he had one. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's sure either. Yeah, it it, it was what it was, and uh, what it was was a uh, story that was put on paper, and uh, we looked at it, and we read it, and we talked about it. So that's about about that. And uh, this was the uh, the two uh, Marvel Comics Presents offerings for cover date October 1991. Do you have any final thoughts on uh, on these, uh, boy, a lot of stories and a uh, and, uh, couple issues? I think just the it's interesting to be diving in and getting these little snippets of story, and especially like with Paladin, and mm-hmm. I'm always mispronouncing that, Paladin, <laughs> and Shroud. It's like just these one-offs, but now I've read them, and... Yep. Even that speedball story in the issue 85. Mm-hmm. So three one-offs, the 
I've now been exposed to them, so if I read something else with them, now there I know. And Absolutely. No half the it is. It is half the battle, indeed. Um, any thoughts on the anthology format and the fact that, I mean, we're going into the 90s here, and Marvel Comics Presents is a tenured title. I mean, it's at the 87th issue at this point. It's going to go, I mean, we're barely at the halfway point, or maybe a little bit past the halfway point of Marvel Comics Presents' run. So this is going to last think, for quite a while. Yeah, well, I think I saw 175 issues. Oh, boy, so, yeah. yeah. So we're we're not even, yeah. you know, we're not even scratching the surface of this series yet. And, uh, and the idea that Marvel was still selling an anthology book during the Speculator era, I think it's going to be yeah. interesting as we go through this here to just just see who is featured on these books here, who is the hot character, because you got to figure that this book, when they, you know, when Wolverine isn't front and center, and, and that's not saying that he won't be for a long time because he's going to be here for a very long time. It'll be interesting to see who the who Marvel sees as the next big character who either can't carry in their own series or already has a series but maybe can't carry two but they still want to tell stories and sell books so i think this is going to be an interesting sort of like mid-level barometer for exactly what the marvel market is um i mean the hottest character sure sure so i think like toward the end like like u.s agent is like the top character which really strikes me as strange because i don't think anybody's ever cared about u.s agent um, I can't think of a single time I did, uh, except when I was looking for his uh, his trading card. It's about the only time. But uh, <laughs> Marvel Comics Presents is a very, very interesting um, little piece of, uh, of Marvel Comics lore. As we've been saying, we don't know how much of this is in continuity, was ever in continuity, will ever be referred to again, will ever get like a little editorial note, because outside of the Weapon X story, I'm not sure anything did. Um but yeah, that's uh, those are my final thoughts on Marvel Comics Presents as a thing. Um, but before I let you go, uh, how about you uh, give some plugs? Where can the uh, the good folks find you? Uh, mainly just on comic reviews by Walt.wordpress.com, mm-hmm. where I I started out doing reviews of new comics like back in 2008, but mm-hmm. kind of bounced around and I've settled more so into revisiting the 90s and. Sometimes the 80s and 70s and mm-hmm. occasionally early 2000s, but just kind of writing up single issues and my thoughts on the issues. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, his uh, his links will be in the show notes and also on the website. Uh, definitely check this uh, blog out here, Comics Reviews by Walt. Um, one of the inspirations for Chris is on Infinite Earths. Uh, no joke. Uh, I, I was following Walt's stuff way before he knew that I even existed on this planet. So uh, And he was a part of getting me going into actually putting words on digital paper. So uh, he's to thank or, or to blame, uh, whatever whatever the case may be. But uh, I thank him, and I thank him for joining me here on uh, Claremont to Claremont, and uh, look forward to many more visits as we work our way through. Thank you so much, Walt. Yep, ditto. Thank you as well. The nose knows, tough guy. Alrighty, now for the last segment of the show, uh, a lot of you folks listening know that, uh, well, I am a sucker, and uh, one of the things I'm a sucker for is research. I do love my research. I love my comics, news. I love physical media, and uh, so I figure what better triptych to take with us through this trek through these 1991 X-Men issues than uh, a certain guide to comics. Uh, 
that that book called Wizard. And, uh, you know, rather than do this alone, I figured who better than maybe pulling someone from uh, Wizards, the podcast guide to comics over at uh, the uh, the Retro Network. My buddy Adam here, he's going to be talking to us about all that's X in Wizard. How you doing, Adam? Hey, Chris. Excited to be here. Oh, Definitely appreciate you coming on. I think this is going to be a lot of fun here. Um, now, these wizard magazines are just, you know, I, I think I think there's a lot of weird hindsight with the wizard magazines here because they did they did turn into something. They did turn into like where it was more crass than comic, and then right. it became like more like more about like movie gossip than comic yeah towards the end it was the maxim of comic books that's, that's exactly sure. it that's exactly it but but i mean there, these these early issues that are like a treasure trove of information um and it's it, it, the thing about this is it's not the stuff you see often uh this isn't these aren't you know interviews and articles and columns that you're going to see shared on social media week after week after week. This is stuff that you have to actually have the physical copies to fully appreciate, which tickles me in a way that maybe it shouldn't, but it does. Um, I just love this stuff. And uh, I, I could go to town reading these things over and over, uh, just finding new information that I could use in a column somewhere, that I could use in an episode somewhere. Just think that they're 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 priceless. These uh these early issues, even going into into the late 90s and into the turn of the century, it's it's really good stuff here. And uh you know you do have a show where you're where you're taking a look at every single issue of this thing. So uh you're in for some salad days, and uh, of course later on it it might be a little bit more difficult. But uh, you know uh, I do want to ask you uh. Wizard, what what was your allure to Wizard uh, to start up a show to to make it a focus of uh, of your of your hobby and your creative output? Well, I I would have to say I'll, I'll be very honest. Your your blog, your podcast endeavors were an influence in a major way in that really? the research side of it that is so apparent. The hours <laughs> that must have been put into that, but the love of the research I shared the same. I awesome. love the minutia, the little thing that was mentioned here that didn't actually come to pass or it changed, yep. you know, over a few months from the time that interview was given or, you know, the the piece was was written about it. And so to me, as I would listen to your shows and, and see like scans from, you know, different comics publications over the years in your blog, like that just got me excited. And I would think back and say, I love 90s comics, but I find so few people that I can talk about it with like uh on a deep level and then sure. it's almost like you have to have the magazine like you said in front of you and then say it said this right here what do you think <laughs> about that you know and so my co-host michael was a guy that i had been had on my other uh, podcast sequel quest several times and we would always get to talking about comics i was like i think it's time and i think what it needs to be is something that's a serious look back at the 90s comic book boom Maybe justify it, maybe vindicate it a little bit, but at the very least, get people back into the excitement of what it was, because True. we look back at it now a little cynical, but at the time, yeah. everybody was on board, comic book fans and non-comic book fans alike, and we were all united in the hype, and I just wanted to bring that back, and from what we've heard and the response we're getting on social media, people are saying, oh, you've got me back into comics, I'm going to buy some mm -hmm. right now, or I just pulled out you know, my logbox from my mom's attic you know and all that kind 
and that that's a great thing about your program is that uh is that it isn't like the piss take on on 90s comics like we see so often where it's just like the you know we make fun of uh, the tiny feet and we make fun of the uh, the no pupils and the pouches and the shoulder pads yeah that was all there you know that was all there but i mean this was a uh, it was it was the thing that was happening at the time, and we ate it with a spoon, you know. Um, I I love that about your show that it is a a fair look and it's a optimistic look at a time that is that is usually just uh, looked at with such like scorn and and re- yeah. Well, and at the and, time, Wizard Magazine was the thing that, in addition to getting us excited, it made us laugh. It made us have fun. Sure. With mm-hmm. the comic book medium in the history of comics and what was happening at the time and everything, they could have a little fun, you know, whether it was in the, the letters section or just a little side comment here or a little blurb at the end of an article. <laughs> just add in sure. a, a snippy remark and you would just be like, man, this is like being part of a comic book fraternity. And it was Absolutely. just so much to enjoy on a monthly basis. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. And of course, there is the. Uh, you know, all all us, uh, you know, young teenage blue chip stock uh, investors. We uh, <laughs> we also had our price guide, and, and we're gonna we're gonna hit on some of the price guide stuff from uh, this issue we're gonna discuss here in a little bit. But uh, I mean, that informed so much of uh, of just the comics culture, and uh, I don't know how much of it was intentional at the start. <laughs> I think it was just like a hey, this is a fun thing to do. We'll we'll price we'll have a price guide in here, but it it became. I mean, they call it the guide to comics. It became the guide to comics. It uh, it truly did. Uh, where, you know, it's it's like a it became even a collectible unto itself. You know, I, they could have run Wizard in their own price guide because it was so in demand. And uh, I mean, they they these things were actually flying off the shelves just like the comics were back in the day. We we needed to know. What our what our next investment was going to be, or we wanted to see how our current investment was panning out. It was a uh, it was a strange time. It was a strange time, and it's uh it it had a lot of charm to it, and it's a uh, it's something that uh, I feel like the industry and the comics culture is lacking really badly now. <laughs> no, no, well, this this is my problem though. Is like the other reason I wanted to go back to the '90s is that I I checked out of the current comic book industry so long ago like i keep trying to get back in and there's not an entry point that satisfies and in fact that's what i rely on my co-host michael for on the show is he's still going to the comic shop every week to buy new books and he's filling long boxes with new books that he may or may not read that was my next question is he reading them (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so for me, like I'm going to a comic shop when I can get there and I'm literally going to the quarter bins and I'm looking, you know, at back issues and I want the stuff that nobody wants now because they Mm -hmm. still think it's worth nothing. And you could dig into that and say, no, look at what this was, like whether it's for camp value or for just like, you know what, we may have missed something here. We overlooked this in, you know, in the years that followed uh, its release. And so, yeah, like that's that was the other thing is I kind of almost want to catch up to the industry by going back <laughs> and then be like okay what can i find now <laughs> if we if we go back to uh, 1991 uh, were you uh, you were buying comics in 1991 absolutely yeah i mean i actually well, 
I I was d- deep into my collecting. That was like right at the the start of collecting, as opposed to just picking up a few just issues buying. here and there. Yeah, reading. yeah. And cool. so that was where I had uh, I had been given some help by my uh, my friend from school. His dad was going through his midlife crisis and collecting all his <laughs> childhood comics and getting into the speculators market. And so he took us along with him, and the fun began. It's oh, wonderful. Now, now, were you an X Men fan uh, back then? Uh, I was not heavy into X-Men, although my first two comics I I ever bought were X-related because I bought Excalibur 14. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, you know, Kitty Pryde and Nightcrawler in there. And speaking of Nightcrawler, I also picked up on that same 7-Eleven spinner rack, Marvel Tales 242, which was the Mm -hmm. Spider-Man and Nightcrawler team up. Okay. And so... For me, like that was I, I was being introduced to them, and outside of that, I had seen the Pride of the X Men cartoon in syndication, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the Marvel Action Universe or whatever sure. it was that would play. And so I knew the characters from there, and then obviously went to an arcade and saw the X Men arcade yeah. game. So oh, I was boy, very yeah. familiar with the characters, but I never got to the point of yes, I want to pick this up as a monthly mm-hmm. book. Okay, now um. Do you do you uh, perhaps own a copy of X Men number one? I'm actually staring at four copies of X Men <laughs> in front of me right here. I was, <laughs> the prestige a- format, gatefold cover, and everything else. <laughs> I've been asking all the co-hosts, and this is something we're gonna actually, uh, you know, pitch out to the uh, listeners as well. I want to know. I want to. I had two questions about this month in comics. <laughs> like, which which X Men cover did you get? And which X-Force trading card did you get? Mm. So this is interesting enough. So I actually, I have the two copies that I bought as a kid, which like I said, was like, you know, the super nice, a glossy paper version. And then just the standard, uh, you know, newsprint edition. And then recently my friend gave me his older brother's comic book collection and passed wow. it along to me. Yeah, his brother was like, yeah, you can have these. And he's like, Adam wants these. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> then I got another copy of the new Stan edition. And then I got a copy of the the Gambit, uh, you know, Psylocke Colossus Rogue cover. Okay. So, so that I have those. And then, yeah, as far as X-Force number one, <laughs> I actually <laughs> have the cable card right in front of me here. Hey, how about that? Yeah, that, that, yeah. that was the biggie back in the day. That, that was, was it. The- that was the one you wanted. It is it isn't the one you want now, but it's the one you wanted back in 1991. That was exactly. the and hot. The card. thing that I discovered in the course of the show, not knowing, was that those X Force cards were considered a subset of Marvel Universe Series Two trading cards. It's so all these ain't years I thought I had a complete the set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I finally picked them up. I've got them all. So it's all yeah. good. <laughs> when I saw that, I, then, then the Executioner song came out, and that's something we'll be talking yeah. about in, in a few months down the line. Those came with cards, and I, I was afraid those were a subset of uh, of Marvel of Marvel Series Three. So, uh, God, I, I mean, I was getting those anyway, but it was just like I had a friend who wasn't, and he felt like really annoyed that he was missing out, and I had a good laugh at him. So uh, it was a. <laughs> It was what it was. Um, now, did you have any kind of extended stay with the X-Men at any time throughout their history and your history? Um, I would say, I mean, if I was going to dig deep into the X-Men, I was probably Age of Apocalypse. 
I mean, I definitely was collecting those books at least okay. like to issue two of each book. So I was buying them all and then <laughs> I bought them all again the next month. And then I was like, sure. okay, I'm, I'm hanging in here. You know, I got X-Men, you know, uh, Age of Apocalypse Alpha and all that stuff, you know. Uh, but again, like, like really like even just like digging was it x force was it x factor was all those i never could stick in for very long although i would go back and buy like the x-men classics books so that i could try to catch up on some of the continuity and get familiar that way so i probably had more x-men classics than i had new releases at the time which is always my way apparently i'm always trying to catch up Now, we're going to be discussing uh, we're going to be discussing Wizard Magazine issue number two here. And this has a October, I think it's an October 1991 cover date, just like everything we're discussing today. And uh, now, was this before they started having multiple covers or is it just the one? Yes. Yeah, that didn't start actually until issue seven, where okay. we just covered with Exo Manowar and The Flash. Those were okay. the two covers. And prior That's to right. that, they did do a variant Gray Hulk and Green Hulk Sam Keith cover. But otherwise, yeah, not not until that point. Okay, so this one is Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider alone. Yes. <laughs> this is, uh, and, and you know it's funny. Um, I, I too am a you know back issue bin diver and cheapo bin diver and quarter bin diver. And over the years, I've come across like ridiculous things. I I found the both both parts of Days of Future Past in a dollar bin. I mean, I wow. found. I found Watchmen number one in a dollar bin. I found the first Hellboy in a dollar bin. I found the first Doomsday. I find a bunch of stuff there. One thing I've never, ever seen, even in a regular back issue bin, was Ghost Rider number one, the the Danny Ketch version. Mm. I've never seen it. I don't know how. I've never actually laid eyes on that comic book. And uh, I see this cover here and it taunts me. Not that I'm... (laughs) You know, not that I'm like hell bent on reading it. It's just, uh, it's just one of those things that's weird that it just never, never actually came to the surface in, in you know, 30 years of, uh, of digging. But, uh, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> now, there are a few X-related things in this magazine that we're gonna be discussing. The first of which is an interview with Chris Claremont, and uh, this show is called From Claremont to Claremont. So, uh. This is all about the not Claremont stuff, and uh, we got a Claremont interview here, and this is funny because this interview goes uh, – it goes along with the idea that he's not going anywhere. You know, it's uh, it seems like he is in this for the long haul here. He's actually laying out some plans for both of the X-Men titles here. You know, we uh, as as we talked about earlier in the show here, we have the uh, blue team in X-Men. We have the gold team in Uncanny, and uh, – Claremont here, he's on board. He looks like he's talking all about it here. He says that the X X titles are going to go their own way, you know, so they're going to split and uh, there'll be some intermingling here and again. And uh, I love this, though. He claims that Tom DeFalco, the editor in chief, his original vision for this is and this just tells you a lot about the state of the industry in the 1990s or the early 90s. His vision was they were going to have the same five characters in each book, right? And uh, the stories were just going to bounce from Uncanny to X-Men back to Uncanny to X-Men, basically making this book a biweekly title where each individual book was not going to spotlight characters. They were going to spotlight the, the artist with uh, Lee on X-Men and, uh, and Wills Protasio on Uncanny. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. It's it's a strange concept. Yeah, we'll just we'll flip flop back and forth and not, you know, sort of, you know, you could get your continuity every other issue. Yeah, exactly. And and it's like rather than like, okay, well, we'll have Wolverine in one book, we'll have Storm in another. It's like, no, who cares about them? We've got Jim Lee on one book, Will Spatasio on another. It just blows my mind that that that's just how much the worm has turned. Even in like the previews parts of Wizard. They always list the artist first uh, in these early issues. So it's like it's like X-Men is by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. And it's, Although I've, I've always wondered that, like really going back, because, you know, if we, if we were in the 70s and the 80s, how much was it? OK, this is a Neil Adams book or is yes, this or a John Byrne book yep. or, you know, sure. like. Like, are you looking at the writer or are you looking at the artist? You know, was it always that way or did we, you know, because we seem to spotlight the 90s as that time where it exploded, which sure. I don't think is unfounded. But at the same time, you know, the visual aspect of comics is usually what grabs everybody to begin with. It does. It is the it is what leads you in for sure. That yeah. is a very good possibility. And uh, I, I do have some fan scenes from the 70s and uh, you you might be 100 percent right. <laughs> I think it is. It is the. Uh, I, I don't think it's the uh, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams uh, hard traveling heroes. I think it, back then it was the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you're on it there. Um, now, funny enough here, we have, uh, you know, we have Tom DeFalco coming in with this this weird idea. And, uh, and, and it would eventually come to that where the X books were basically a biweekly. But that's not like in, that's not until like Alan Davis comes in like 1998 ish. Um, but uh, Chris Claremont and Bob Harris, his arch rival here, have a rare moment of agreement. <laughs> they, they had a common enemy in Tom DeFalco, which is uh, is kind of cute there. Um, now, Claremont states that the group assortments, which are the blue and gold, uh, they were implemented in order to, quote, create new synergies among the characters. And this actually answers a question that I had um, earlier where it's, it struck me as odd that they would have Cyclops and Jean Grey on two different teams. You know, mm-hmm. and that just seems strange, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like, well, you know, we just, you know, you see where they go from there. Because even, you know, the X-Books to come, you see that Scott has a little bit of a wandering eye anyway. So yes. <laughs> they yes, play with that true. drama either way, if they're in the, on the same team or not. It's true. Yeah, and it, and oddly, they like you figure if they were going to split Scott and Gene up, maybe they'd put Wolverine with Gene, and and they didn't mm. do that either. Wolverine and Cyclops are hanging out together. It's a very weird time. Well, and huh. speaking of which, that's the other thing that Claremont cites at a certain yep. point is he says that oh, you know, the other characters have matured, and you know, Wolverine is not going to have the same issues, you know, yep. that he had before. <laughs> the old Cyclops and Wolverine will not reemerge, you know. And it's like, well, no, it pretty much did. I mean, nothing, yeah. nothing changed there. They they get prickly around each other. Exactly, exactly, and it's funny because uh. Like uh, we're not gonna like go too deep into like the Claremont plans, the, you know, the the X Men Forever sort of stuff, where he was going to uh, what he was gonna do to Wolverine if he would have stayed and all that good stuff, because we we might be talking about that on this show in a few months, so <laughs> we we're gonna do some mirror uh, mirror matches here uh, later on, but uh, it it is interesting here that it's it's just wild that he seems just very gung ho. He seems like he's very excited for this new chapter, and uh, and I'm sure he sees dollar signs with uh with Jim Lee, and and I mean, 
uh, the the X-Men number one is is legendary. It still holds a Guinness World Record for the most books sold. I mean, Chris Claremont bought a plane. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, this was, you know, you know, milk and honey here. They were doing great. Um, so we have this like weird interview because, I mean, we have hindsight. We know how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's all pleased. He's pleased. He's like, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be great working with Jim and Wills. It's going to be wonderful. But the interview wraps up with an epilogue, and uh, the epilogue is by Patrick Daniel O'Neill, who conducted the interview, and he says, this may well be the last interview Chris Claremont gives concerning the X-Men for quite a while. Shortly after this conversation, Chris announced that he was resigning from the writing chores on X-Men and Uncanny X-Men following a series of editorial differences with Bob Harris. I invited Chris to do an addendum to the interview, an invitation he politely declined. For the next several months, Chris will be touring the country, promoting his comics work and his new novel, Grounded, as well as working on a third novel. So uh, that's different from, uh, you know, fans these days are used to this stuff kind of hitting social media just as quick as it happens. Uh, Usually by the end of the day, there's a backlash and sometimes decisions are reversed and unreversed and reversed again in the course of hours. Here we have an interview given and before it went to print. Something changed. And uh, I, I got to wonder how many how many X fans, how many Marvel fans, how many comic fans learned from this interview that Chris Claremont's 18 year association with the Uncanny X-Men was was coming to an end. Yeah, it's kind of like how else really would you know until issue two came out and somebody else's name is in the writing credit and somebody you know very well, but it's not Chris Claremont. And you're saying to yourself, oh, but yeah, it, it's it's such a, a, switch, a switcheroo at the end. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, OK, he's gone. I see. Well, uh, many happy returns, Chris. And then, yeah, you look at yourself and you say. How much did it matter? That's what I think is the interesting thing to look at a mm-hmm. comic fan at that moment. Because you're like, yes, sure. he had been writing it for, what, 17 years at that point. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, yes, he kept the characters consistent all those things. But look at the art. It's amazing. Look exactly. at what Jim Lee's doing. Is Jim Lee staying on the book? Then I will buy it next month and the month mm-hmm. after that. And so <laughs> literally, you know, the artist had won. And I know that in uh, the Claremont's X-Men a documentary there's quite a bit of you know discussion about all of that where mm-hmm. i think he at that point had settled in and felt he had done so much for marvel for so long with the x books you know being their top selling publications and then what was happening here you know first like they had x factor they did that without him because he didn't want to do it because yep. <laughs> he was already a little bitter and then now you got this hot artist that comes in who wants a lot more control over plot and is not going to follow you know the plot outlines that you guys have agreed on with the marvel method so mm-hmm. then claremont only has you know a few uh, days or hours to get the dialogue in there to something that is not what they agreed upon and yep. there was frustration and so he's just like fine i'm out of here like that <laughs> nobody's on my side you literally just care about selling the books so you don't care about the integrity of the yes. characters <laughs> so he just takes off it's just like wow and it's funny because uh, his uh, his old uh, running buddy, John Byrne, is going to run into the same exact issue with Jim Lee and Will Spertasio in the coming months. And it's uh, I remember uh, I was reading an interview where Byrne said that he bought his first fax machine because he had to they had to, you know, they were running so late that they had to fax him things instead of sending him things. 
and they, it was just constant back and forth at like the like the 11th hour before things went to print and uh they would uh they would send him updates to pages that he'd already scripted because they decided that they wanted this action scene instead of the other action scene it was, Sounded like uh, you know the inmates running the asylum, but I guess when the inmates are bringing in millions of dollars, you you let them let them do what they want. Um, it's just very 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 different times, very different times. Where like looking at Marvel comics today, I almost feel like the artists are uh, are undervalued, like they're almost an afterthought to whatever you know big name architect writer they have on the books. And it's uh, I think it's a shame. I, I think that the artists don't really get the chance to shine. Um, I feel like we might have overcorrected, you know, where it's not like a uh, it's not as even as maybe it should be. It's just all about the writer. It's all about the vision of the writer. And uh, we'll just get whatever artist can can do it. It, it yeah, seems it's almost like sad. You, you only get excited when an artist who was big in the 90s comes back <laughs> and then you're true. like oh now he's drawing this book you know but then otherwise mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely the writers have the marquee name which you know yeah. i'm sure is kind of a <laughs> you know sour grapes to some who are just like what happened during my era where i was trying to give mm-hmm. them something good all they cared about <laughs> was a splash page you know <laughs> absolutely now another thing and, th- and this is funny um people who've listened to anything that i've said or read anything that i've written they know that i'm very cheap when it comes to comics i buy a lot of comics but i buy them cheap same goes with magazines i'll go to i'll dig in old magazine bins i'll find you know amazing heroes comics feature comics journal whatever i could find uh, usually a buck or below now this issue of wizard was one that i was missing i'm missing the first two issues of wizard and uh i found it in a bin for eight dollars and i bought it for eight dollars because it had this one page in it this top 100 that i knew would uh would work on this show even though i'm sure i could have googled it i needed to own the physical copy so i could take a picture with my phone of a physical copy of wizard number two and so i did and uh we will read from you the top 100 books here the the book only the books were covered we're not going to go through the entire 100 but the top eight, which is pretty interesting here, the top eight books on sale this month are books we discussed this episode. And uh, the first five are the five X-Men number one variants, including the wraparound, which is number one. Uh, you know, the, the book had a cover price of one dollar. The wraparound one had like a three ninety five, I think. And that was the top selling book of the month. The four dollar book back in 1991. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're like, wow, you know, we, we we really forget, especially in the modern age, when you are always paying four or five dollars yeah. for a book, that that was a special price for a special issue, not, mm-hmm. you know, the standard deal. You know, so it limits your choices at the store when you go in. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's huge that people are willing to fork over that much and mm-hmm. so many times over, most likely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there are people who bought all five. It's. If I had uh, the money and the interest, I'm sure I would have. I, I didn't have either at the time, so I didn't. Yeah, but, uh, I, I had a friend who even traveled outside the country, and while he was traveling outside the country, he found copies of X-Men number one. <laughs> so he has wow. four ed- editions as well. Oh, that that that's pretty awesome, though. That is pretty cool. Huh? Now, the sixth highest selling book, and we don't actually have sales figures. It's just a list. Um, Uncanny X-Men 281, the you know the first gold team issue where, uh, where poor dear beef – passes away 
a guy named Beef is killed. Um, <laughs> the seventh book is X-Force number three. Eighth book is X-Factor 71. So X-Factor broke into the top ten, which, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it was doing before this. Uh, Wills Protasio was the artist on the book, so it might have been a pretty hot book at the time. I just don't have any numbers. Um, then the rest of the books that we covered here, Wolverine uh, number 47 comes in at issue at number 12. And uh, for such a rotten issue, that's a really good number. Um, Excalibur number 42 is the 19th best-selling book. Marvel Comics presents 86 and 87, or 25th and 26th, respectively. And uh, the final one here, uh, way down the list at number 76, is Alpha Flight, number 101. And Alpha Flight being that low, it feels like it's too high even there, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, that's very strange uh, that Alpha <laughs> Flight would show up at all. And I think even funnier <laughs> is one that I noticed that just jumped out at me is at number 49 is a reprint of Giant Size X Giant at size. number one. Yep. So mm-hmm. that that is that is higher, you know, maybe uh, justifiably so than Alpha Flight, any Alpha Flight book. But <laughs> I found that quite <laughs> interesting. It's a reprint. Oh, yeah. And it's basically right in the center of the list of the top 100. That's crazy. It's crazy. Now we have some coming attractions here. Two of the big coming attractions are X-Books. Go figure. Now next month, we're going to be discussing both these books here. It's a, it's a Spider-Man X-Force crossover, which combines the forces of Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld. And I, I don't think you can get any more 19, early 90s than that. Actually, maybe we can, because these books were all drawn sideways. <laughs> you put them on their side to read them and uh yeah have you ever tried reading these oh yeah i've got them right here yeah, yeah they, <laughs> i have those issues it's wild they they are not the funnest thing to read um i'm always reminded of that story where uh rob did an entire issue of hawk and dove sideways and uh i think it was carl kiesel had to like chop the art up and fix it <laughs> he had to make all the sideways panels the right way and uh he found that rob finally got a chance to do it here with uh with the spider-man and x-force team up here that uh we'll be going deep on next month uh another one here uncanny x-men number 282 it's solicited as an all battle issue which uh might not get you very excited um, now, what also might not get you excited is they don't even mention that it's the first appearance of Bishop. I wonder if they didn't even know. Well, yeah, it's strange that Bishop doesn't get mentioned. I think that is very possible that they they saw solicited <laughs> and all they saw here was that the Hellfire Club teeters on the brink of total destruction at the hands of the Upstarts, the, the evil <laughs> new mutant team. So it's like they thought that was going to be the big news. The Upstarts. Yep. Yes, we talk about them all the time these days. <laughs> oh, man, the Upstarts. They, uh, and it's funny, we talked about this during the, uh, the Uncanny uh, segment. I thought they had such potential. I thought that was such a cool... I mean, these are guys who, they kill, you know, VIP mutants for points. It's a group of, like, gambling guys who are trying to get points to be better than the others, and they only get points by killing mutants. That could have been so huge if they only let it be, you know? Like, I don't think that they actually ever killed anybody. I The two people that look like they killed in Uncanny 281 didn't die so it's like and they were responsible for killing beef (laughs) 
Well, actually, yes, 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 Beef did. Yes, Beef did fall at the hands of Trevor Fitzroy, who was an upstart. Yes. Ah. So I get, Trevor Fitzroy is One now point. the king. <laughs> <laughs> he is the king of the upstarts for killing poor, poor Beef. Ugh. Now <laughs> we have some capsule coming attractions here. Uh, Excalibur number 43. Uh, we hinted at this during the Excalibur segment. Captain Britain versus Nightcrawler for the heart of Megan. At the end of Excalibur 43, uh, Megan, uh, she uh, pecks Nightcrawler on the cheek, and Captain Britain does not look happy at all. He uh, he looked at him like he had lust in his heart, and uh, <laughs> it just uh, wasn't going to go well. Um, Wolverine number 48, uh, he is done with Tracy Kins, the, the drunk driver, and uh, he is going to start the Shiva scenario, which... Feels like it probably should have happened this month, considering all the sweeping changes in the X-Men universe right now. I think the big Wolverine story probably should have started this month. It didn't. Um, X-Factor number 72. As promises more on the assassination attempt of John Jamie Madrox. Uh, X-Men volume 2 number 2, the mutants head to asteroid M. And uh, Deathlock number 5 features a guest appearance by the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. How about As that? The they Doom popping up Busters. everywhere. Oh. I love that name, the Doom Busters. It's <laughs> loud and proud on the cover. And I, I actually makes me want to find that issue now because that is just hilarious. That is wild stuff here. It's it's funny when I started putting together the uh you know the the germ of an idea of doing this uh this show, I thought about doing all of the cameos, like actual like deep analysis on all the yeah. cameos. But I mean, this show is already like 73 hours long, so it's uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine it's like yes, and in, in this episode, this issue of Guardians of the Galaxy, they fight Wolverine's skeleton for two panels. It's like, no, 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 can't do that. Um, <laughs> another thing here, we can do some uh, Q and A here. Do you want to be the Q or the A? Uh, I will happily be the Q. How about that? Okay, now this is a segment in the magazine called Ask the Wizard, where where, you know, regular old folks, regular old comic book enthusiasts, they send their letters to Wizard Magazine uh, in hope that they learn something about a comic book they have a question about. So why don't you hit me with the first one? I'll see how I can answer it. All right. Adam Kama of Ramsey, New Jersey. Why does Polaris of X Factor experience growth spurts? And what happened to her magnetic powers? Well, you see... In Uncanny X-Men number 250, Zaladane stole Pet Polaris's magnetic powers. This kid is probably like, who is Zaladane? Yeah. Uh, giving, or who, who is that? Uh, now giving her super strength, size, and invulnerability in its place. Since then, these newfound powers have faded in and out randomly, but we may have seen the last of them in Uncanny X-Men number 280. On a side note, Zaladane met her fate at the hands of Magneto in issue 275. Next question oh. is a biggie for, for this time. Yes. So, Michael Hilson of New City, New York. Who is Cable, really? Hmm. Marvel isn't telling Cable's origin right now, but everyone's noticed it, and everyone noticed it when he used his mutant powers in X-Force number one to make tools fly around. Was Cable manipulating magnetism? Has anyone noticed how much he looks like Magneto? No, not really. Only future issues of X-Force will tell the... T- I mean, he has white hair. That's it. Yeah, white hair, you're Magneto. That's how it goes. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Magneto, he's notable for having that big scar around his eye, right? Magneto, <laughs> yeah. it must run in the family. That's 
Well, I, I'll I, say when Jim Lee's drawn him, they do have a, a striking <laughs> similarity. Actually, they all have that very strong chin. They all. Yes. <laughs> it's. I just. I. But I. I love this question though because this takes you back to a time where we where like we didn't know things and we were like actually like foaming at the mouth to know and speculation was huge. I, I've told the story before about. You know, being in the comic shop during Executioner Song and hearing hearing like seasoned comic fans, because I was just a dumb kid saying like, oh, I wonder if Cable's Cyclops' son. And I'm just like, Cyclops has a son? Oh, tell me more. And you know, you, you sit at the learning tree here and you, and you get all this information. And uh, we just don't have that anymore. We don't have any of that kind of wonderment anymore. And when they try to do something like that, it, it it just doesn't it never they never really stick the landing and I find that uh, so many of the big reveals over the past I don't know decade or so they're they're spoiled before they come true because either Marvel or DC will like get all giddy that someone from USA Today is like calling them on the phone to ask them questions about something so they'll be like oh we got a spoiler for you you can you can post it the day before the book comes out or one of the professional reviewers will, will spoil it for you on Twitter the week before it comes out. That's uh, that's how I had uh, you know the Mixel uh, Pitalik reveal uh, spoiled in in the recent Superman Rebirth books. Some some joker on uh, on Twitter who had a comp copy spoiled it, and uh, that happens a lot. And it really just takes the fun out of even bothering to speculate because so often you're not even going to get the opportunity to experience it this way, the way you're supposed to experience it. Uh, how do you feel about uh, about spoiling, uh, you know, big reveals? Um, well, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, information does travel so much faster now. It literally traveled in print to a store back in the day. So yes. all you had was somebody's theory in a letter section or mm-hmm. some editorial in a comics publication that somebody would say, it looks like it's going this direction. Yep. You know, you didn't have like 30 fan theories a day on YouTube oh, channels and then you kind of put the pieces together like yeah it can only be one of so many theories it's probably that one rats you know (laughs) yeah that just spoils it so yeah it's it's kind of you know you and you can make the justification well it's it's how it's told it's how it's presented you know you might you might not worry about having the ending spoiled but yeah unfortunately it makes it a little less fun these days oh it does and and because i mean back then so many things were unknown i mean we didn't know Cable's origin. We didn't know Wolverine's origin. Shatterstar shows up, and like people are like, "Is he related to Longshot somehow?" Is you know, it's all the all these like weird things. Dazzler's pregnant, and they're like, "Is that Shatterstar in there?" It's it's awesome stuff back in the day where where you actually had that wonderment and stuff. Uh, one thing that I remember, um, I don't know if you read Grant Morrison's run on X Men around the turn of the century. I remember seeing it. It was very okay. stylish, but I didn't read it, it heavily, though. Now, the whole time, they're building up to a reveal. Actually, we didn't even know it was a reveal. There was a character called Zorn, who uh, who they found in a Chinese prison. He was supposedly had a like a tiny sun in his head, like, you know, a microscopic or maybe maybe a bigger than microscopic, but something with the power of a sun in his head. So he wore this metal mask and... Uh, he was just a member of the team. He started uh, as a teacher at the school. He was teaching like the special team, you know, the like the remedial class. 
and uh, he's helping everybody out. He helps Professor X walk again. It's all this awesome stuff he's doing. And they reveal in one one issue toward the end that it's been Magneto the whole time. Magneto has been in this mask. He, you know, he had nanobots and he was controlling nanobots and Xavier's spine to let him walk the whole time. It was just an awesome reveal. But I got to the comic shop the day that book came out and the guy behind the counter goes, do you believe Zorn was a Magneto? And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm here to buy it now. (laughs) I didn't know. I've been reading this for like four years and he's like, oh, man, I can't believe Zorn's Magneto. It's like, you're holding my copy in your hand, dude. And you should and, uh, not charge me for it now. He didn't. You just, you just he didn't. that over. Yeah. Oh, good he, dude. Good I, dude. I told him I wasn't going to pay for it. I said, I'm <laughs> taking the book, but I'm not paying for it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's all right, man. Uh, but even in this case, with the cable mystery, I don't know why they spoiled that so soon, because on the cable card, the trading card, it says his doppelganger is Strife. Like, that was very <laughs> early on. Like, they have a guy in a mask, and they literally take it off, I think, by issue three or something it, like that. It was a. Uh, that's how X for, that's how New Mutants number 100 ended with uh, oh, Strife okay. taking off his helmet. Yeah. 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 So that was the big like. <gasps> what was our? What is the last question we have here? All right. Well, all the way from Nome, Alaska. It's oh, your pal boy. and mine, Phil McCrack. Phil McCrack. <laughs> <laughs> with a photo that looks like it's his last known. <laughs> photo i mean it is i don't know who this guy is but uh i don't know that i'm also buying that he is phil the crack <laughs> i'd like to think he is oh but phil asks i noticed that john byrne is writing the x books now is there a possibility he'll draw one too doesn't look that way everyone is more than happy with the artwork that jim lee and wills potasio provide in the x-men and uncanny x-men even though many collectors consider Uncanny X-Men issues 108 through 143, when John Byrne and Terry Austin supplied the art, to be the best X-Books ever, Byrne had repeatedly said he'd never return to join the X-Men after he left. Now that he's writing both X-Men titles, maybe someone, somewhere, could talk him into doing some art. But only time will tell. And uh, John Byrne will come back to uh, draw X-Men. It won't be one of the main titles. It'll be X-Men Hidden Years where uh, he attempts to fill in the uh, the gap between uh, the last you know, the uh, issue 66 of the original run and giant size um, which I feel like is personally where John Byrne belongs he doesn't yeah. want an ongoing title he's like I'm gonna fix this here I'm gonna yeah. explain this here <laughs> and that's what I exist in the comic book space for don't try to rein me in yeah yeah Exactly, exactly. So uh, it, it would be many years before he comes back, but he uh, he would, in fact, come back. But uh, I, I just love the fact that this that this column exists. <laughs> it's it's great. Um, and it's it feels almost like if you're if, if, if you know, anybody listening is a, a wrestling fan here, you know, you have a. Uh, you have wrestlers give interviews on the show, but then they can also do like the shoot interviews, like where they're talking to a, a third party, someone not part of a company, and they're just telling stories. That's kind of the feeling you get from Wizard because they, they, you know, these aren't, you know, being approved by Marvel, these answers, I'm sure. I mean, I don't think Marvel wanted them being like, yeah, it looks like Magneto. It's like, why don't you stop it, you know? I, I just love that it's like the unofficial official answers that we're getting here, and it's uh, and it was all we had, and we loved it <laughs> back in the day. Um, now the the final thing that we're going to look at for the issue uh, is uh, going to be 
Well, actually, one of the final things we're going to talk about in the issue is uh, some notables from the price guide. This is something I, I'd like to continue doing here just to watch the ebb and flow of the early and mid speculator market here. Um, just picking, you know, random X books here that were notable and some, you know, number ones. Uh, we start with Excalibur number one that has a nine dollar value. I and it's worth d- mentioning that Cla- when Claremont leaves, he's also leaving this book as well. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think he he only did like the first bit of it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember who was writing it right before Alan Davis came. And it might have been Claremont. He might have done a stint on it, but he did uh, he did launch it uh, back in the day. But uh, and and Excalibur number one is a is a Claremont book, but uh, nine dollars for Excalibur number one is uh, about eight dollars too high. <laughs> um, I'm sure I see I see this thing in the in the bins a lot. Uh, now, did, uh, did you? Uh, what, what is your history as a as a bin shopper back in the you know ye old 1991? Did you mm-hmm. pay the big the exorbitant prices? Did you uh, did you save nope. up? A I, I was weeks? always <laughs> in the back issue bins. Yeah, like like I literally was not heavy into speculation. I would walk the rack okay. and say this will looks good this looks good i'm already reading this so on and so forth then i'd spend the other half of my time at the shop in the back issue bins just pulling out really interesting stuff and mm. then ultimately uh i did go to mile high comics opened up a superstore in anaheim california you know the, okay. the hometown of rob liefeld and i lived just about <laughs> 20 minutes away from there and so mm-hmm. I would go to that store and they would do these auctions. And so like the only time I ever really bought an expensive book was, uh, you know, I, my dad was there, you know, <laughs> doing <laughs> his bidding for me on my behalf. And I got Spectacular Spider-Man number one, I think for like $35 at the time. Oh, wow. And then Secret Wars number eight. Oh, like $25. So like those are my big purchases and I still have those to these day, but you know, to this day, but that's about it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, now another X book here. Uh, it's, it's over at this point, but it, uh, still looms large, uh, new mutants. Now issue number 85 was the first Rob Liefeld has a value of $5 and 50 cents, which to be honest in 1991 seems a little low. Um, jumping ahead a couple of issues, issue 87, the first cable, $40, which, you know, it, it, growing up, that first cable was like a, it was an $80 book always. <laughs> it was never anything less than that. Um, uh, and New Mutants number 98, first Deadpool, $6.50. Wow, if only, right? <laughs> oh, boy, that is the that is the only issue of New Mutants that I don't have, and uh, I passed it up about 10 years ago for $20. I passed it up. I'm like, ah, I'll find it cheaper than that. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I feel like people got a smirk out of Deadpool at the beginning, and it wasn't until years later when he got wackier that he became this iconic character. And that's what's strange is like, yeah, you kind of like, oh, yeah, he's just kind of he's a wacky killer. All right, that's cool. Now he's like, oh, he's off the deep end. This guy is, a, you know, this guy is a, represents my mindset. Yeah, I get Deadpool gets <laughs> me, you know. No, he was a, 
he was really good during the uh, the Joe Kelly run. Uh, Joe Kelly did the first ongoing of Deadpool during the Heroes Re- Re- uh, Heroes Reborn uh, Marvel Universe era. Um, Joe Kelly did a, an extended run, which was really, really very good. Uh, really fleshed out the character, made him three-dimensional. Uh, Christopher Priest would come on uh, to take over for Kelly. And uh, he was good as well. He was pretty good as well. Then they then that's after that is when it got like to where it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon, you know, like uh, the slapsticky stuff. Uh, they did like a four issue riff on the death of Superman and funeral for a friend. Um, he met he fought like a, a very thinly veiled Lobo. It uh, got it got to the point where it was just very, very cute. Um, and that's kind of. That's when they ended that volume, and that's kind of when I ended my association with the character. I've tried getting back into him again and again, but, uh, you know, I I have a like an aversion to S.H.I.E.L.D. in, in Marvel Comics, because I think that S.H.I.E.L.D. is everywhere, and they need to not be. And it seemed like, they, like the last two Marvel Nows that they launched, everything was predicated by S.H.I.E.L.D. involvement. And uh, Deadpool was, like, sharing his brain with a dead S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I was like, okay, can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. I'm tapping out. Um, number 100 of uh, New Mutants features the first X-Force. And this is funny because it has a $4.50 value, but the second print has $5.50 value, which uh, seems, like, premature because I know these days – since the second prints were, are generally printed in shorter supply than the first prints, and the first prints are just so plentiful from people dumping their collections, the second prints are the ones that are usually the ones that are a little bit more pricey uh, these days. Now, uh, how, how do you feel about a second prints here? Do you consider second like a like if you had the first appearance of Cable, but it was like the gold cover second print? Would you still consider that you own the first appearance of Cable? Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm definitely a first print type of guy yeah. for sure. Yeah. It was just at that time, it was just when they did the variant on that second print, it meant so much to everybody. I mean, Spider-Man yeah. number one kicked it off. So oh, yeah. the, now you could say with any book, we're doing a second print and people are like, oh, okay, that's a collectible. That's going to yep. be even more, you know, and then they only for about a year or less, yeah. <laughs> if you turned around <laughs> and sold it right after you picked it up off the shelf, that's about the exactly. only time add value. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of our books here, uh, Uncanny X-Men here. Uh, look at some first appearances. Uh, number 244, the first appearance of Jubilee, only $2.75. That's weird. Even weirder, issue 266, the first appearance of Gambit, has a $4 value. I mean, I, I, I'm i on record as having bought the first appearance of Gambit for $0.08. Cents. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I found it in a dime bin, a, a 10 cent bin at a half price books uh, that uh, had a 20 percent off sale that day. So I got the first appearance of Gambit for eight cents. Um, uh, deals upon deals. Yeah, I would have paid I would have gladly paid four dollars for it. <laughs> but uh, it, it is worth noting that uh, this issue the first appearance of Gambit is listed in the Wizard Comic Watch for hot books. And it's right next to another book that I don't own. I don't own either first appearance of the Wilsons in comics. I don't know. I don't own Slade Wilson or Wade Wilson's first appearances. <laughs> and uh, that is New Teen Titans number two. Uh, but for Gambit, it says uh, I don't know French, uh, but it says Il fait très chaud, maybe. Whatever it is, it's French for it's hot. 
Not only is this book hot, it's scalding. X-Men 266 introduces one of the hottest new characters this side of the Mississippi, the Creole mutant Gambit. And uh, when I typed Mississippi into the notes, I did spell it out in my head. I, I, <laughs> can't I, I help just never it, right? can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got like these like low prices for these first appearance of uh, of characters here. But the first Jim Lee book, issue 248, has a $10 uh, ticket on it. So that's uh, just another uh, just another indication of where the industry was at. Um, yeah, well, and in contrast to the first Liefeld book, you know, you say, wow, it's almost double for Jim yeah. Lee. And it just seems like I, what people realized is I think a lot of people also really enjoyed the character designs that Rob Liefeld, you know, created. But mm-hmm. Jim Lee, you just respected his art so much. Yeah. Just like yeah. anything he touched was gold, whereas Absolutely. it was specific issues of a Liefeld book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there was a uh, very iconic, uh, speaking of Jim Lee, uh, you know, just being able to just do magic on the artboard here. There's uh, one issue of Uncanny X-Men that has a very popular cover, an iconic cover. It's issue 268. It features Wolverine teaming up with Captain America and Black Widow, which was actually the first second print that I bought back in the day. Uh, It was just laying there on the counter at a comic shop. And it had the cover price of a dollar, I believe. And it was for a dollar. I'm like, I'm like, you're kidding me. This is a dollar. I see this thing on the wall for like, you know, 20 bucks. He's like, oh, it's a second print. I'm like, oh, okay. So I bought it. I've since gotten the first print because I'm an idiot. But that was my, that one stands out to me all the time because it was my first knowingly buying a second print book. And uh, here in 1991, it has a value of $5.75, according to Wizard. Um Wolverine, uh, the couple of notables, uh, issues 41 and 42, both feature Sabretooth and Cable. They're worth $5 and $4, respectively. Now, this one really kind of blew my mind here. X-Factor number 63, the first Will Spertacio art. Now, Rob Liefeld was, what, 6 bucks? Oh, 5 50 for Liefeld. 10 bucks for Jim Lee. $11 for Will Spertacio. I think everybody was just looking for the next big guy, right? And he was the last in that chain, I feel Mm -hmm. like, of that initial run where it's just like, I mean, whenever you think of also all the the image creators and everything, the founders that went on to form that company, he's always the last on the list because he's he's the other guy. But for this moment, for this year coming out here, like he is the big guy that everybody's watching and hoping he's going to be iconic. That's great. And, and he, uh, you know, he, he had some uh, struggles uh, when Image started up. He had some family issues. So right. his yeah. his uh, wet works uh, was delayed many, many years and mm-hmm. uh, almost to the point of parody. I remember reading actually in a Wizard magazine. It was a it was a 1993 year ender. And as a gag, they did a uh, they said, what is what you know, what is the comics industry going to look like in 10 years? And they do. OK, let's look at 2003. What's to come? And it, it has like wet works upcoming. You know, like it was still hadn't come out yet. <laughs> now for X-Force, which is brand new at this point, uh, it number one has 11 variants based oh. on not, not only the trading card, but the color of the UPC box. What? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, at that point, they're just like, like, what can we change? What can we change <laughs> on this cover and give you a variant? And I think people were just, you know, studying every inch. I mean, nobody had ever paid attention to a UPC before. And no. suddenly Spider-Man number one comes out, X-Force yep. number one, and you're just like, okay, I guess I got to pay attention. <laughs> it's it's the thing now. It's like a... It's like when people were going nuts buying Beanie Babies, and then people were like, "Wait, wait, don't pull the tag off! Oh, oh, oh put, put, put this, put this plastic clip on the tag to protect it." <laughs> what an what? industry, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, the most valuable version of X Force Number One comes with a cable card, naturally, and it has a white UPC label, and that is four dollars and fifty cents. I think the book had a dollar fifty cover price on it because of the card. Now, my card, as I've mentioned many times this episode, was Sunspot and Friggin' Gideon. And uh, that was the least valuable. Has a value of $2.25. Still 75 cents over. So, I, I, you know, that's that's a big deal. But, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's the uh, the lay of the land for X-Force, number one. X-Men, number, X-Men Volume 2, number one, which just came out. All versions are still cover priced here. $3.95 for the wraparound, a buck for the others. Uh, just some for good measure, so we can uh, all kind of kick ourselves for not uh, for not having discretionary income back in 1991. Um, Giant size X-Men number one, 155 bucks. Whoa. Yeah, it's like it's like you can sneeze that, you know, right yeah. now. Uh, uh, X-Men number one from 1970, 1963, $1,800. A little bit more pricey. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 181 featured a first appearance of some guy. $265, which is nothing. Uh, Avengers Annual number 10, the first appearance of Rogue, six bucks. That's 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 another one I got for eight, eight cents. But uh, six bucks, that's uh, a pretty low for that, I thought. I thought that was uh, that'd be a pretty good steal uh, back in 1991, finding the first appearance of Rogue for, you know, just a little over five bucks. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it feels here. like Rogue was always there, and yet it, she didn't really care until her redesign by Jim Lee, right? Yes. It was like, oh, yeah. same with Gambit. Like, he had existed mm-hmm. for a few years in that continuity, or maybe just a year at that point, but he was just like, yeah, he was there. And then he, mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's in this book. It's like, okay, he means something now. I get yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, uh, there's a feature called Toying Around that I, I want you to uh, I want you to talk about here. Uh, Mr. Brian Cunningham wrote it, and uh, it features something near and dear to a lot of us. Yes. So uh, this is a, a discussion about the action figures of the day, right? And, of course, the biggest thing that was on the horizon that was coming out here was the Toy Biz Uncanny X-Men action figure line. And it had just launched. In fact, it is, I believe, on the, the back, back of cover. X-Men number one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's there telling you can get Cyclops, Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, Archangel, Juggernaut, Apocalypse, and Magneto. And it was a pretty strong lineup there. And I, I think it's really interesting is like Brian Cunningham in this article, he's mentioning, you know, he's like, I like this one, but I also like this one. I like this one too. Like he it, basically he's just saying they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it, the bottom line was it had been so long in coming to get X-Men oh, action yeah. figures. Cause at this point, all you had had was what I believe just the Wolverine and the Magneto from the Marvel superheroes, secret wars. Secret wars. Yep. Yeah. And that was it. And, and you had to deal with that and say, okay, these are my guys. <laughs> all right. And so now, you know, this begins. And as we know, I mean, the, the, I was literally at the toy store at my local target or Toys R Us weekly 
buying a new X-Men figure, like all oh, yeah. through the 90s, like just nonstop mm-hmm. X-Men figures. And they kept pumping them out and many times just repaints and reissues. Exactly. But um, the thing I find so interesting about this, too, is that the uh, we we're just talking about Deadpool. Right. And so at the time, again, Deadpool eventually comes out here in just a, a few months and his action figure at the time, I remember being kind of a peg warmer in my oh, neck yeah. of the woods. Like people didn't really know who Deadpool was; they didn't care. I mean, if and so if you you know four ninety nine is usually what they went for back then. Nowadays, yeah. going for like forty nine ninety nine on the secondary oh, yeah. market. So it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but Chris, did you have a favorite of this run? I'm very curious. When you started buying these figures, did you buy them all? Did you buy just a couple? I bought them all, um, and and there's there's a story that Cunningham tells in this uh, in, in this uh, this uh, article here about shopping at Genovese, a uh, a East Coast uh, pharmacy. I don't know if it's even still around, but uh, he found a Martian Manhunter action figure that he really wanted to buy, but he was a teenager. And the girls at the register were people were girls from his school, so he was too embarrassed to do it, and uh, that 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 really got me, because <laughs> that is exactly how I felt as a you know as a teenager trying to buy these figures, and just like you, I was at the Kmart's and Doggett's every week buying these things. It, when they didn't have them in the in the actual you know department store, I'd have to buy them at the comic shop for like twice the price because they right. were specialty and. Oh man, it, but it, that was the only place I wasn't embarrassed to buy them. Is the thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember I had to seek out because I, I would have to if I wanted Rogue or Beast or Morph, I had to go to a comic shop. That was the only place you were gonna find those guys. I actually I had to find those. There's a, there was an I don't even know if this store's still around. It was called Service Merchandise. Do you remember Ooh, that place? I've I've heard of it. Yeah. I, okay. that, again, I think that was more of an East Coast thing, but I've definitely I think so. heard of it. Yeah. I think so. And the thing of it is, it's like it's this weird catalog store that like you it it's a catalog, but you go to a store. So like you go to a store, you look at a catalog, you tell them what you want, and they bring it to a window. <laughs> and and it was so weird because that that's that's where I found uh, like that entire field there, that the rogue morph uh, beast. Maybe Professor X, too, if he was part of that run. But I couldn't find those anywhere, uh, not even at the comic shop. So I had to I went to service merchandise and had to order them in, from a catalog so they could be brought to me at a window, which was very, very bizarre. But I, I, I ate these figures up. I still have them out in the garage. I bought the vehicles, the crappy vehicles. The awful play sets, the Danger Room play set, yeah, which was danger. garbage. I had the Wolverine oh. dress-up set. Oh, the claw and the mask. I had it all. Like, yes. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I actually created, much in the Liefeld style, I created my own superhero called Nightblade. And he basically Ooh. just looked like Wolverine, but his mask was all black and he wore a leather jacket. And so I put black electrician's tape over my Wolverine mask. I'm like, now I'm Nightblade. <laughs> I, I think he was in Youngblood. Very possible. <laughs> But my my favorite one here uh, from this first run was uh, was probably Cyclops. I, I've always loved Cyclops uh, and his, his eye beams actually. Well, he he lit up. It, it didn't really shoot beams, but 
he did light up. Yeah, what um, always has struck me in retrospect, you know, with these figures is they mm. boasted the uncanny X-Men. But if mm. you look at them, half of this line are X-Factor characters in oh, sure. X-Factor outfits. You know, and it's yes, so strange that you get true. Apocalypse and you have Cyclops wearing his X-Factor costume and Archangel, mm-hmm. who, you know, had all his machinations going on there. So, yeah, it's it's really strange. Yeah, and, and Nightcrawler was on Excalibur. And, yeah, so the only X-Men here were Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm. And I, Magneto, poor Magneto. Uh, he, he just looks like the kindliest old man when you take his helmet <laughs> off in this one. Like, he just looks like he'd be there to, like, take you for an ice cream cone or something. He doesn't look evil. He doesn't look maniacal. He's just like, oh, let's have, let's have, a, you know, let's have some Werther's Originals and then some, you know, Pepperidge Farm stuff. And, he Grandpa, can so, you take that weird piece of metal off your chest? Because why was that an action figure? Why, why was his chest magnetic and you just stick a thing on him? I don't yep. understand. <laughs> he had, like, he had those little round, he had the round peg on his on his palm and he had the metal, he had the uh, magnet on his chest. Nightcrawler had suction cups on him, and uh, like he had a suction cup on his knee and on his hand, so like you couldn't really do anything with him unless you were sticking him on something. Oh man, I love that Brian Cunningham is just so psyched for these because they're they're not great. Yeah, it <laughs> I love them, but they're not great. The second wave was like leaps and bounds ahead oh, of what they totally. were doing, but that's how Toy Biz always was. Yeah. They would release something quickly to get in on a trend, and it was terrible. Batman mm-hmm. 89 figures, yep. even like yep. the DC superheroes figures, like all those were just terrible. But eventually they would figure it out and get good sculpts, at least with this line, with all the Marvel stuff. And unfortunately, all the good sculpts would be off scale. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like like strong guy is shorter than Havoc. <laughs> it's very bizarre. So yeah. bad. So bad here. Now <laughs> there is some random news bits here. You wanna you wanna cover those here for uh, for the Yes. Uh, I, I just found this interesting too, because again, you're talking about the buzz of the era. What was the excitement around the X books? And so there is actually an ad for a comic convention that is in Washington State for the Seattle Tacoma Comic Con. And they're stating that Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane are going to be appearing and you can actually win X-Force art as part of an hourly door prize giveaway. Plus, autographs are free. Try to get that nowadays. Yeah, free autographs. Uh, how many hours did you have to wait in line? Probably not that many back then. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were actually giving away issues of X-Force number one to the first 500 entrants to the con, along with issues of Spider-Man one and two. So wow. I don't know which was more desirable there, but I'm willing to lean towards the Spider-Man number Probably one at the time. Spider-Man. But yeah, <laughs> still very exciting if you were going to that con uh, to have those yeah. artists there. And soon you will see them all over the place. I mean, that's when the, you know, the rock star element of their personas uh, took took shape, you know, at these cons. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, because like going into the mid 90s here, the image guys go on tour. Like there's like a Youngblood tour and and there's like a, a Brigade tour. Like they actually toured malls and stuff to to show yeah, off and the just comments. the production values of those mm-hmm. appearances were amazing. Like the Bad Rock costumes, the oh, guy in yeah. the chapel costume, you know. And like at a, at one point, Rob Liefeld even created an entire basically what was the Youngblood version of a Quinjet, and you could walk wow. through it. 
and it had like oh, wow. you know here's Shaft's bow and here's you know all those types of things. It was crazy. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's that's more of those niceties we just don't have these days. It's, nope. uh, it's definitely something that's uh, that's sorely missed. Uh, just the excitement, the passion, uh, and, and I, I hate getting on you know current year comics, but it's like these are people who who loved comics and uh, almost everything that we're covering here. Well, actually, everything we're covering here, these are comics by people who love comics. And that's something that is also missing these days, because I think a lot of folks see comics as a stepping stone to other things, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and uh, would jump just as soon as they had the opportunity. And uh, these are also people who put skin in the game. Rob Liefeld created characters. Todd McFarlane created characters. All of these guys created characters. Um, we don't get that anymore. We might get like the 15th Spider-Man to show up and the 37th Ms. Marvel, but we don't get new characters. And uh, it's a a damn shame. And uh, by living vicariously in the past, (laughs) as we do and as we have for the past several hours of this program, uh, we hope that we uh, brought a little bit of the the whimsy and uh, and magic of of the early 90s and yesteryear of comics because – yeah, it's just not there these days. Uh, you have any uh, particular thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, unfortunately, just the way, you know, you just look at Comic-Con to where it became a pop culture event. Yeah. I think I didn't I hear a rumor that they're even taking out the comic from Comic-Con at some point. Um, I, I feel like a that's lot something of them are. in the works. Yeah, because yeah, I guess Comic-Con, I guess San Diego, like. I don't know if it's like trademarked it or they made it so other states can't use it. So other states had to like scramble to rename it. And most of them took comic out of the title. I think the one we have here is the fan fusion. It used to be Phoenix comic con. Now it's fan fusion. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, as you, you look at how popular comic book movies are and all of that, it really is just kind of the, the play place of any creative talent. And they're like, well, you know, I, I could make a splash here and I could yep. reinvent this character mm-hmm. or whatever I'm going to do. And then suddenly I can, you know, move on and, and out. And so, yeah, yep. it's definitely, if nothing else, you know, like we say, there's the, the cynicism and the people who point fingers at, at the hype around Liefeld and all those guys at the time, but they were so passionate. Like, yes, yep. they created derivative characters, but it was just because it was the same thing you were drawing in your school notebook. Exactly. You loved it's, comics. It's, and you One yeah. tick off. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's Trapper Keeper art. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's all the stuff that we loved and uh, the stuff that we copied. And, and these these guys were fans of the people who came before them and they respected the people who came before them enough to want to be just like them. And uh, it, it's it was just such a wonderful time. And uh, hopefully <laughs> cynicism or not, we're able to share some of that with you here. Um, but I think that's probably all we've got. Uh, X-related from uh, this issue of Wizard, the Guide to Comics, uh, issue number two, October 1991. But before I let you go, uh, how about you, uh, you do some plugs? Yeah, well, if you enjoyed what you got here, how would you like it expanded even further on a bi-weekly basis? Yep, Wizards, <laughs> the podcast guide to comics, where uh, my co-host and I, uh, Michael Kennedy, joins me so that we can really dig deep. We have lots of fun segments where we kind of play some games. We really uh, look into whether it's the price guides, whether it's, you know, just the the hype around 
Rob and Todd were keeping a running tally about how many times <laughs> they're mentioned in the magazine throughout the publication history. We even uh, we find ourselves uh, digging deep into the world of the gimmicks, which the 90s comics are so popular forward so you can actually mm-hmm. kind of track okay dc was trying this and marvel was trying this and now image is boasting this and so <laughs> uh, lots of fun to be had so you can definitely find us over on the retro network podcast channel whether you know it's uh, any of your favorite podcast uh, apps you can find us there uh, or we're on youtube as well you can find us uh, online at wizards comics on Twitter or at wizards underscore comics on Instagram. And we have just long conversations with everybody back and forth in between episodes. So we'd love to have you there. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. And all of the, all of those uh, links will be in the show notes as well. So uh, you don't have to worry about having a pencil at the ready at the moment. So they will be there for you and they'll be clickable and findable. And uh, I definitely highly recommend you do so. Um, but yeah, that's uh, about all we got. I want to thank, uh, I want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with me tonight, Adam. This was uh, a lot of fun, a long time coming. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you, you showing us, uh, some of the stuff out of the uh, wizard's hat as it uh, pertains to, uh, to the X-Men. Yes. Very exciting. And, uh, I definitely enjoyed our first team up and look forward to more to come. Absolutely, absolutely. And I will hold you to that. So <laughs> so we will talk to you again next time. And uh, I will send this episode rollicking to its final conclusion right after this. Who do I have to pay to get off this ride? You know, in editing this show, I realized that I started just about every segment with the word alrighty. So I won't do that for the closer here. But uh, this is indeed the end. And if you're still with us... Well, God love you. Uh, that means a whole heck of a lot to us uh, that uh, you'd sit through all of this <laughs> and re-experience or experience for the first time some very, very special books to uh, to our fandom here. Uh, means the world to me if you're still around. Uh, I do want to thank all of my co-hosts here. I can say with 1,000% certainty that I could not have done any of this without their support. Uh, thank you to my good friend Jody. We've got Billy uh, of MagazinesAndMonsters.com and the Into the Weird podcast. Jeremiah from ComicsComicsComics.blog. Chris Bailey from the Superhero Satellite. Superblog Team Up. A little show called Muratory Mondays and the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. Jesse from the Source Material podcast, the Unspoken Issues podcast, and the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. Joe from the DC Everything Else podcast over at DC Noise Podcasts. Sean from the Pulp to Pixel Podcasting Network, Walt from Comics Reviews by Walt, and Adam from Wizards, the podcast guide to comics over at the Retro Network. All of those links, all of their uh, social medias will be included in the show notes and in the uh, notes at the uh, the site. Uh, I'm going to post this at uh, chrisandreggie.com, of course, but there's also a new site. It's a 90sxmen.com, the number 9, the number 0, S x-men 90s x-men.com and uh that's a lot of the uh, social media that i've grabbed too i don't know if i'm ever going to use it but uh i wanted to make sure i had it in case i ever did so on twitter there is 90s x-men on instagram if i ever figure out how to use that there is a 90s x-men uh, there's a facebook group called 90s x-men and in fact i was trying to get a voicemail box for this for this show but I couldn't find one that was, you know, 90SXMEN as a phone number. So uh, I'm going to keep looking for that because I do want to uh, 
encourage uh, the listeners to uh, definitely give feedback, uh, share your thoughts. Um, is this an era of comics that speaks to you? Is it an era of comics that you hated? Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to know uh, everything you think about this moment in time, uh, you know, cover date, October 1991 forward, and, uh, you know, just what you think, uh, how we're doing here. Uh, there will be more segments added as we go along. The first segment we're going to be adding will be in episode four. It's going to be a look at X-Men Forever. I mentioned at the start that uh, Chris Claremont will loom large, and in fact he will. Uh, so we will be looking at X-Men Forever number one in the fourth episode, and uh, that'll coincide with X-Men number four. So we're going to have sort of a mirror match, you know? How is the book without Claremont, and how is the book if Claremont did decide to stay? I think that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I do look forward to the uh, to the dis- any discussion that that might bring up. Now, you can find me at a... Uh, a few places. Uh, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com, ChrisAndReggie.com, 90sXmen.com, uh, on Twitter at AceComics, and uh, you can hit me at 90sXmen at gmail.com or uh, WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. I do check both of them, so anywhere you need to find me. I'm not a hard man to find, it's just that nobody really wants to find me. So uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a, a weird little thing there. But uh, one more time, I want to thank everyone. I mean, this was like a 10-hour show, so if you made it this far, uh, thank you so, so much. It means the world to us, and uh, we look forward to bringing you the uh, November 1991 cover-dated books, uh, hopefully within the next month, maybe uh, maybe six weeks, depending on just how, uh, how it all rolls out. So, uh, again, last time, thank you so, so much, and we will talk to you again real soon. See ya! Now we go. X-Men, X-Men.